get my way. But living when I kneel, I don't know what to say. You got the cutest little eyes, I love the way you pout. I guess there's nothing left to do. I try to make it easy by saying I want you. It's on your lips, it's in your mind. Girl, we're gonna take it all away this time. Please, baby, love me. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff with Talos. This is being broadcast live and recorded live on June 13th, 2020. The time right now, 9.21 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. I bet you didn't know that song I opened with. I bet you've never heard it before in your life. I'd be shocked if a single listener to the show had ever heard that song before. It's called Please Baby Love Me by The Automatic. Have you ever heard of The Automatic? I doubt you have. It was from 1983, and believe it or not, this song was prominently featured in a movie in 1984, a movie you also probably have not heard of called Hot Moves. Now, the plot of Hot Moves was four high school seniors in the summer between their uh, junior and senior year made a pact to get laid. Four guys who were virgins at the end of their junior year made a pact to get laid over that summer. Do you remember that plot? I bet you do. American Pie. American Pie appears to have ripped off Hot Moves. And if you watch Hot Moves, which was uh, about 15 years before American Pie, you will see that uh, a lot of material, including the basic premise, was copied 
for the much more successful movie American Pie. Hot Moves barely saw any time in theaters. Uh, it appeared in a few theaters, ended up uh, mostly in video stores, and actually became best known, though it was never very well known, when it was played on uh, Gilbert Gottfried's USA Up All Night show on USA about uh, four or five years later. That's actually where I caught it, but it was a very censored version. And it was actually a funny movie. It was low budget. The acting was pretty bad, but uh, it was actually pretty funny. In fact, I actually thought it was funnier than American Pie. They just uh, it, it could have been a more successful movie if uh, the acting was better, if it was cleaned up a bit. But uh, it's on YouTube in case you want to see it. If you go to YouTube and look up Hot Moves, you can see both the entire uncensored movie, which has a lot of frontal nudity in it. No frontal nudity of guys, just just girls. A lot of frontal nudity. And uh, you can even see a version of it where two guys watch it and make comments on it. So that's, uh, if you want to see the movie, you can do it. And this song was prominently featured in one scene. Um, the Automatic was never a very successful group. I think this was probably the best they ever did. And I have to imagine they were excited when they were told that not only is their song going to be in a prominent scene of the movie, but also they're going to be in the movie playing it on Venice Beach with everyone dancing. And uh, I'm sure they thought this was finally their ticket to stardom, but they didn't realize the movie was a B movie and that nobody really paid attention to it, nor to them. Somehow, despite all that, I don't know who put this up there, but uh, somehow this song was on YouTube and, put up uh, about six years ago. So there you go. Okay, we have a free roll going. The free roll is $50. It came from Eric Benzamokin. Eric Benzamokin, I'm going to be honest here, he actually has no idea that he donated $50 tonight. I have forcefully committed attorney Eric Benzamokin to donate $50. Now, how dare I do that? After all he's done for the show... Well, he actually donated $100 a while back and said, if you need it, here's $100. And I said, no, 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 I'll get by. Uh, just because I, I don't want to, like, I, I don't want to put too much of a burden on him, even if he puts the burden on himself. I just, I, I try to get the donations from uh, as many other sources as possible. So uh, if Eric does offer to donate money, it's it's more of necessity where we have it from nowhere else rather than uh, him doing it too much. I, don't, I just kind of feel bad. I just I, he offers it and and I appreciate it incredibly much, but uh, I, I also feel bad if I take too much. So uh, I I try to avoid it unless we really need it. Every every once in a while he wants to put on like a big free roll and that's cool. But uh, yeah, I, like I don't want too much every week being given just uh, because it's not his it's not his burden to have. You know, it's it's my show. He's a big fan of it and uh, he does a lot for us and I appreciate that. But it's it's ultimately my show and my burden to do this and uh you guys know i'm too cheap to do it so it puts me in this funny situation where there's someone who wants to give money to the free roll and uh i'm too cheap to donate it myself but too guilty to take too much from the person who isn't too cheap it's it's a weird situation but anyway uh this week we had uh a little trouble with getting donations while we've gotten donations in a number of the previous weeks this week on Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the total of donations we received was zero point zero. So this was a good week to make use of that money. So remembering that 
there were seventy dollars left over from this hundred dollars that he pledged. I took thirty of it uh, somewhat recently, but uh, there were seventy dollars left. And I said, "Well, okay." I haven't told him about this, but he did pledge a hundred dollars, and I'll use thirty of it, so I'll just take the other fifty. So, thank you, Eric. Thank you very much for your donation tonight that you didn't know that you made. In fact, I'm debating whether I should tell you or not, or just let you find this out when you listen to the show. I'm strongly considering like saying nothing to him. I, mean, I could text him right now and tell him, but part of me wants to wait until he catches this in the archives in the next day or two and then <laughs> finds out that he donated. It's like, what? I didn't make any donation. What is he talking about? So, okay, 25 for first, 15 for second, 10 for third, 25, 15, and 10 on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, pokerfraudalert.com slash freeroll, all lowercase, pokerfraudalert.com slash freeroll is what you must consult so you can understand whether or not you qualify for the free money. And also, make sure you understand that the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which you can find near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com, make sure you understand that that's a separate login. You have to make a second account there. You cannot use your Poker Fraud Alert forum account to get in there. It will fail. So make a separate account. Make sure you do that. And if you forgot your password, then you can always let Belly Buster know or let me know. You do have to be validated, so if you're... Just signing up right now, you're not going to be able to play in the free roll. The free roll started either at 9.10 or 9.15, I forget. But whatever it is, you have 25 minutes after that to get into the free roll. 25 minutes from the posted time of the tournament to get into the free roll with a full stack under the late registration uh, feature. So you still have time to get in. $50 being given away this week, and we give away at least 50 every week. If it falls short of 50 as much as it pains me to do, if... Eric hasn't donated, then I donate. Not very often, though. I never ask Eric either. Like, I've never once said, hey, can you donate? Because that's the last thing I do. He's given so much. There's no way I'd ever ask him, hey, can you give this? See, I'm not, I'm not an ingrate. I am really am the opposite of an ingrate. I Everything he's ever done for me, I appreciate it. And I'm not just saying this to sound good. I'm not trying to make myself sound like a better guy on the radio than I really am. I have faults, too, just like everybody else does, but... As far as like appreciating things that are done for me or for this site, that's not a fault I have because I, I definitely do. And even like when I'm in Vegas and people have got me free hotel rooms or, or take me out to a meal and pay for it or, or uh, take me out to a meal that they get comped and, and uh, that pays for it. Like I, I appreciate this, I think, more than they even realize. So I'm, and I know I'm not trying to angle to get free stuff in Vegas because I don't even know when I'm going there next. It could be a long time. So this is the wrong time for me to angle for that. I guess it would be better for me to say that like right before I go to the World Series. And then everyone will be like, oh, wow, Druff appreciates it so much. I, let, let's be really generous with him. That would be a good plan. Not when it's going to be a long time until I'm there. And we're going to talk about Vegas tonight. We're going to actually make a phone call tonight to someone who listens to the show and posts in the forum named uh, Jay Jammy. He's actually uh, been a co-host on the show one time. And uh, we're going to call him up. He went to Vegas, and he's going to give us his impression about what he saw. And we're going to also call up somebody very shortly in our first topic, someone who's never been on the show before. 775-FRAUD55 is the phone number. 775-372-8355 is the number to call the show. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. The Mount Charleston line is a phone number which is attached to an old 70s rotary telephone that sits in a cabin on top of Mount Charleston, which is about 45 minutes away by car from Las Vegas. It's about 30 degrees cooler up there at all times in Vegas. Not always exactly 30, but 
approximately 30. So during the summer, it's very nice there. Unlike Vegas, which is blazing hot in the summer, which is just about here, the Mount Charleston is a very nice place to go if you're in Vegas in the summer, especially if you want to get away from the 110-degree heat. We have an old 70s rotary phone forwards to me wherever I go. 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston number. You can also use the call to listen line not to call the show, but to listen to the show. It's just a phone number you call and listen. doesn't require a smartphone, does not require a data plan, does not require a computer or the internet. And in fact, it only requires the very, very minimal amount of cell phone service to complete a call. So if you have zero bars or one bar, it should work. 605-313-0736. 605-313-0736 is the number. You can try the alternate one if that doesn't work. 641-741-1095. If you have T-Mobile, I hate to tell you it's going to cost you one cent a minute. Not my choice. T-Mobile has forced that upon me because the call to listen line is too successful. We're a victim of our own success. And T-Mobile has noticed a lot of calls to these numbers, and they have put a one cent a minute uh, uh, toll to call there. Only if you have a T-Mobile phone. If you have any other provider, it is free. It just is like any other regular phone call. We will uh, do the agenda, and uh, then we will get going. Remember, we have a chat room if you're listening live. No Flash-enabled device can get in, but if you don't, if you have Flash on your computer, I said that backwards. No non-Flash-enabled devices can get in. You need Flash to get in. Kalwa would actually really appreciate if it was no Flash-enabled devices. He He hates Flash. But you need Flash, meaning you can't use an iPhone or iPad to get in there. But it's only during the live show that people to chat with. I don't read it there very much, but I, I consult it occasionally. Okay, here's the agenda. Then we'll put on Trader Ruski, and then we'll get going. I can't find Vintage One tonight. But if he pops up, we'll put him on. Christopher Mitchell, I said I won't talk about him that much. And I'm not going to. It's not going to be a long segment. But there was a very interesting video he put out that, in fact, I'm surprised he put out. Where at the end of the video, there's a 33-minute video, and no, I'm not going to play it on here. I'll tell you how to find it. I'm not going to play it. But at the end of the video, he actually has a black eye that he didn't have during the the beginning of the video that was recorded hours earlier. And there is speculation that one of the customers featured in the video gave him that black eye. I'm going to play you like about a minute of it. And we can discuss what happened there. Really, really weird. Even if you're not that interested in this story, you'll probably want to hear this and probably want to go check out at least like that transition in the video, which will take like a minute to watch. It'll be the, the same thing I play here, but it's not very time consuming. But I do want to talk about it because it's weird. We're also going to call up someone regarding the Christopher Mitchell situation. But again, if you're bored with that story or not interested in it, don't fear. It's only going to be a shorter segment. It's not like the two-hour segments we had uh on other shows. The 2020 WSOP is happening. It's happening this summer, in fact, except one little asterisk to put on that one. It's happening online only. So we will discuss that. It begins in July. I'll tell you if I'm going to play it, and I will tell you how I feel about it. Duplicate IP addresses are not allowed for registration on WSOP.com tournaments. What does that mean? That means if you you are connected to the internet through the same IP address as somebody else in the tournament who's already registered, it will not let you register. Someone 
posted that to Twitter with a screenshot of that occurring. In fact, this has happened to me before. So this could spell potential disaster for the upcoming online bracelet series. We will talk about that as well. We're going to make a call to Jay Jammy, as I mentioned earlier, about his trip to Vegas and what he saw there during the reopening. Another PFA member, we're not going to call him, but I'm going to read what he posted about a site called Virtue Poker. Crypto Ninja was a beta tester for Virtue Poker, and he claims that they stiffed him and that they have not paid their beta testers. So I'm going to read that, and I'm going to tell you about someone involved with Virtue Poker. Who It's a name you may recognize who is a very uh, – not very, but a fairly well-known name associated with another poker site. Speaking of well-known people having to do with poker sites, you may have heard of Gags30, whose real name is Michael Gagliano. He's a well-known online player, a very good one. You may not have heard of another online player named Brian Sherrier. I hadn't heard of him prior to this story I'm going to tell you, but there's a question as to whether or not they pulled shenanigans on the New Jersey version of PokerStars to bank an $8,500 overlay on a 10K guaranteed tournament. And you may say, well, good for them. What's wrong with that? Well, by itself, nothing. But the way they did it is a bit questionable. I will explain that and discuss not only what the accusations are, but what Gag's response was. And by the way, nobody else in poker media is covering this. There was a tweet about this, and nobody paid that much attention to it. Gag's paid attention. He responded. But hardly anyone is paying attention, but I think it's worth discussing. Telemarketing scammer. Convicted telemarketing scammer, in fact, and full tilt payment processor, I guess former full tilt payment processor, there's no full tilt anymore, Jeremy Johnson, remember we talked about him? He is out of prison. And I will tell you about a surprising supporter he has who is happy to see he was out of prison. You'll be surprised when you hear the name. It's not someone you would ever expect to be friends with a major telemarketing scammer like Jeremy Johnson. But this person is apparently friends with him and was happy to see he was out of prison. New York, New York, not the city, but the casino in Las Vegas was robbed just a week after reopening. I'll tell you about what happened there. Casino Morongo, which is an Indian casino located near Palm Springs. They have a little issue going on there. One of the managers at Casino Morongo was diagnosed with coronavirus. An appeals court is going to hear on June 18th an argument regarding the 1961 Wire Act. Why do you care? Because that is the act that was used to pass the uh, UIGEA and also to bust people in 2011 during Black Friday. That has been the thorn in online poker's side. And This appeal has to do with uh, not directly online poker, but could end up affecting online poker big time. So I'll tell you about that appeal that's going to be heard on June 18th, and I should know the results of it by next show, which is going to be a week from today. Then we're going to have a coronavirus discussion, only three coronavirus topics this time, but one pretty big one at the beginning, so I want to definitely talk about that. And finally, I have an editorial, an editorial on how to solve the police brutality situation. There is a solution. Not a complete solution, but is a, there's a solution that could really, really bring down the number of police brutality incidents and could really improve a lot of the issues we are seeing currently where people have a problem with the police. And when I say people, I really mean people, not just black people. I mean all people. 
including black people. Yes, there there are black people who have been abused by the police. Yes, there are racist cops. Yes, uh, there are situations where cops treat black people differently than white people. But this is not just about the racial issue to it. This is about a solution that can be utilized to solve all of it. As I said, not completely solve it, but greatly improve it. It's pretty simple, but why won't they take this solution? Because it is attacking something that neither party really wants to go after, and that is the police unions. So we're going to discuss the solution to police brutality, how it lies mostly in weakening police unions, and how I feel it is time to weaken or destroy all public labor unions. Not all labor unions, but all public labor unions. And I think those unions are really hurting America. And this is just one example. So that is our editorial tonight that we'll do after the coronavirus segment. And that is everything for this week. So let's get started. Free roll, I believe it's uh, just about to be shut out. I'm not sure if I started at 910 or 915, but one of the two. Even if it's 915, it's about to be shut out. So I hope you're in there. In the meantime, we're going to call up uh, young Trader Ruski, get him on the show. He's here every week. Every week he's here. And uh, I think Vintage One may be around too. Try to get him too. By the way, you may wonder, how did people like Dutch Boyd's uh, appearance last week? The answer, they liked it. It was very well liked. Uh, Both of the interviews we've had so far on this show in the last uh, month or so, the Houston Curtis and the Dutch Boyd interviews were both very well liked, so that is encouraging me to do more interviews. I I don't want to over-interview on this show, but uh, those two, very good reaction about both. And I'll tell you, if if I got a bad reaction, I probably just wouldn't say it. Like, I I wouldn't want to bash the people I'm interviewing and say, oh, this interview sucked. But if I come out and say there's a good reaction to the interview, I'm telling the truth. And there really was a very good reaction to both. Trey hello. What's happening, Jeff? Glad to have you on here. Now, you were saying that a vintage one is available now, too? Oh, I didn't talk to him, but I can definitely text Oh, okay, I, I thought I saw, I, I, I saw a message. New, uh, earphones. Okay, I, I saw I saw a message from you about that. It must have been old. Uh, so the the earphone. I mean, you sound uh, you sound. I'll tell you this: you don't sound super clear. It doesn't sound bad, and at least we don't have the problem where like you'd cut out where we had that in recent weeks. I got those Air uh, AirPod Pros, so hopefully, you know, we spared no expense for the show. No, that's good. I'm glad that uh, Trader Ruski's putting the big bucks into sounding good on Poker Fraud on the radio. It's, it saves me time because at the end of the show, I will go through and correct issues like that. Like if you're really garbled and can't hear you, then I'll just cut out your response or cut out the part people couldn't hear and uh, copy and paste things. And, and all of a sudden, Trader Ruski sounds clear again. But it's a lot of work. So I'm glad that you, you have uh, solved the problem with your wallet. Okay. We're going to get going here. I want to talk about this Christopher Mitchell uh, latest video. Now, I don't know if it's the latest one, but it was one from a few days ago, June 11th. So I guess it was two days ago. And he went around with two customers. One was a little old lady from, I think, Eastern Europe. She had a thick accent, and uh, I felt bad for her because that's who I feel the worst for is people who are duped by scammers who are elderly. Because the elderly have the least ability to make the money back if they lose their life savings to scammers. 
it's terrible when anybody gets scammed. But when it's an elderly person, I feel really, really bad to see it. And I think you have to be a real piece of crap to scam elderly people in any way, even for small money. You just uh, to pick on the elderly because you know their minds aren't quite where they once were. Uh, that is just uh, that really makes you a terrible person. And if bad things happen to you, if you're a scammer who targets the elderly and bad things happen to you, no matter what they are, I, I wouldn't feel bad for you. So uh, Christopher Mitchell has even said in his videos that a lot of the people who contact him are over 65 and that he loves the elderly and he loves retirees. Yeah, I bet he does. You know why he does. So uh, sure enough, in his video, he had on a woman named Lucy. She was like a four foot ten little Eastern European grandma, she looked like. And then a tall, middle-aged black guy named uh, Gary. And uh, of course, I felt bad for Gary, too. The only reason I felt a little less bad for Gary is because Gary, at least, is not old. But I, I felt bad for both of them. And I, I kind of cringe watching this video. It's one thing to see Christopher walking around acting like a fool than laughing at him. But it's a, it's a little harder to laugh when there's real people being scammed there. So it's a 33-minute video, and uh, I, I watched it as I was doing something else in the background. But the most interesting part came in the last four minutes of the video. And if it wasn't for these last four minutes, I wouldn't be talking about it right now. Because every week, Christopher Mitchell's doing something stupid on his YouTube channel. That's, I'm not, I'm not going to make a weekly segment on the show about it. But this particular week, something really weird happened that I can't even fully explain. And I encourage you to watch the video I'm going to talk about, and then you can try to figure out what happened here. And remember, these videos are not live. He does do an occasional live video from his house, but I'm talking about the ones with other people he never does live, which means he has full control over what appears on his channel. Like people have asked, how come every time he has other people in the video with him, these other people either say they won along with him or they watched him win? How come all these people claim they're winning and Christopher's winning? Are they all lying? The answer is, well, they might be, but... Maybe not, because he's only showing the ones where he wins. If he loses, we never see it. And I'm not just guessing at this. We heard it from Rick Lee, one of the former customers who's now disgruntled. We heard it from Rick Lee, who explained that uh, when he lost in Vegas with his final session with Chris Mitchell, Christopher Mitchell, and both he and Christopher lost five figures, we never saw a video about that. The only losing videos we've ever seen from Christopher Mitchell, to my knowledge, are two when there were a lot of witnesses to them losing. One of them was when he went to Biloxi with with Rick Lee and like two other customers and just got clobbered. They all got clobbered there and there were their girlfriends were watching. Too many people were watching to where he couldn't deny it happened. So he made a video talking about how he lost. And then there was one more recently at Sequan Casino in the San Diego area where Christopher discovered while playing that Kevin Davis, who runs the YouTube Scam Exposers channel, which puts out new videos every day that uh, expose Christopher Mitchell and other uh, gambling-related scammers on YouTube. It's called YouTube Scam Exposers. It's an interesting channel. We've had Kevin on the show twice. And uh, Christopher discovered that there was a guy standing there recording him and figured out it was probably one of Kevin's guys, which was pretty impressive that Kevin somehow found where Christopher was all the way in somewhere, a place like Siquan, 
which isn't a major casino. I mean, it's kind of major for the San Diego area, but it's not like a, it's not like the Bellagio. I mean, he he goes all the way to Sequan, and then he, one of Kevin's people is there recording and playing. So the person was recording him getting his ass beat at the baccarat table. So knowing that happened. Uh, Christopher also put out a video saying that he lost that night. That's the only two times, to my knowledge, he ever said that he lost. Every other time, it's about how much he won. So either uh, he just says he won when he either didn't play or he lost, or maybe he won. He won, won whatever it is, if there's no one there to watch it, he can say anything. But if he's with people, he will only make the videos and put out the videos if he won with them. Well, this time was weird. Because let's go back to who he was walking around with. He was walking around with Lucy, the little old Eastern European grandma, and Gary, the the, the tall middle-aged black guy. And they're going from casino to casino. And he's saying, oh, look at the scorecards here. He loves to do these handwritten scorecards as if they prove anything. Like anyone can write anything on a handwritten scorecard. It's it's him writing on the scorecard. It's not even like this is something Bellagio wrote for him. Like he's writing up the scorecards himself. So why he broadcast that, I don't know. But... Uh, he put out these scorecards, and he's standing there with Lucy and Gary and saying, okay, well, we won this much in this place, this much in that place, and he's going around place to place in these videos, or in this one video. And they're saying they won things like $1,100, $650, $1,200, so they look like they're doing pretty well. They're, they're winning kind of uh, low to mid uh, four figures overall from what we can see in the video. My guess is that that was probably true, especially like – Maybe she's a good actress, but I don't know. That that Lucy, the Eastern European grandma who couldn't even speak English that well, I kind of had a hard time believing that she was willing to lie for Christopher. He said that he's coached her before, so I think the last thing he wants is to ask her to lie to people on the videos. He wants her to think this is authentic. She's a repeat customer. So my guess is that this nice little old uh, grandma, that uh, she probably was telling the truth. And when she said they're winning and Christopher saying they're winning and showing it on the videos, that was probably true. Because remember, gamblers don't lose every time, especially with the Martingale system, which is a system where you bet and when you lose, you double your bet. And when you lose that, you double your bet again. You keep doubling, doubling, doubling. And then eventually if you win one, then you've gotten your entire loss back plus your original bet. So that will actually win in the short term most of the time. The problem is... You never know when the horrendous streak is going to come where you lose, 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 lose and can no longer afford to keep doubling your bet or eventually get scared to keep doubling your bet because it gets so large. So eventually a huge loss comes to you, which wipes out everything you won before. And it's not just a matter of if that will happen. It's a matter of when. And it's not just a matter of like, will this happen to me in two years? If you do the Martingale system regularly, it will happen to you pretty quickly, especially if your base bet is fairly high, as Christopher's is, and as the bets were for these two customers. He was claiming that at one point they were making a base bet of 200, means they're betting uh, 200, 400, 800, 1600, 3200, 6400. Like that's, that's how they are betting. And that adds up super fast, as you see. If you just lost uh, uh, five in a row, look, look how fast your bet gets up there. If you lose one, you're at 400, two, you're at 800, three, you're at 1600, four, you're at 3200, five, you're betting 6400. So you can see how fast you can lose here. And these are essentially 50-50 bets. If you if you play 50 hands of Baccarat, you are likely at some point to lose six in a row in those 50. Not for sure, of course, but that that's the most likely losing streak you will have in uh, a 50, a succession of 50 Baccarat hands is six times. So look at that right there. Look how much you'd shoot off. It'd be over 10K. I think it's over 12K. 
So it wasn't hard to predict that this could easily end in disaster. And I felt so bad watching this because even though they're winning and I'm believing they're winning at the beginning, as the Martin Gale often will in this very short term, I was just waiting for this to come, for the hammer to fall down and devastate the two of them. And they both seem like decent people. The the nice little old European grandma, the um, – I, I don't know much about Gary. He didn't say much about himself, but just kind of seemed like a, a nice uh, middle-aged black guy. You know, like uh, I, I like both of the people. I didn't want to see them lose. Didn't want to see them get scammed. Didn't want to see them uh, following a scammer and his fake system to go bet large sums of money believing it's uh, a path to riches, which is what they were doing. So the video chronicled this, and it's 33 minutes. Remember, Christopher posted this voluntarily. So sure enough, for the first 27 minutes, everything looks wonderful. They're winning. They're showing their winnings. They're going out to nice meals, uh, showing very uh, appetizing food. Uh, Christopher's showing off these huge bills he's getting at these restaurants. One of them was $1,000 they spent. He was claiming it was all comped by his hosts, which may or may not be true. Uh, maybe it's true because Christopher is a degenerate who actually does gamble negative EV games and loses. That's the that's the most interesting part of this, is that even though this is a scam and Christopher knows it, he also drinks his own Kool-Aid and actually does bet his own system. So this isn't just a trick where he gets other people to bet believing it's a winning system and then he doesn't do it because he knows it's going to lose. He bets big using these systems and keeps losing <laughs> and, and yet still promotes them as winning. So it's kind of like he's a scammer to keep his own degeneracy going. He may even believe their winning systems. He just run bad, he may think. I don't know. I don't know what he thinks. But he does bet them. He does bet on his own system. Anyway, let me get to the interesting thing that happened. So I'm going to play this to you, actually. I'm going to play you a transition that occurs in this video. It's, it's at the... Uh, so I'm going to play you a little clip here starting from like the... Uh, 26 minute 45 mark. The entire video is 33 minutes. 26 minute 45. This is, uh, you're going to hear Lucy talking. You are what? In fact, let me uh, put Trader Ruski, uh, put your sound on so you can hear it too. Don't want to leave you out. Here we go. It's amazing. Very fast, very easy. I like it very much. And I hope it will happen every single day. And a lot of, this is my also. Yep. And this is uh, five that I put it down. This is her counting her money and talking about how much she's won. This is in, uh, I think, Bellagio. And this is my profit. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so then Christopher switches the camera over to himself. So, and Gary, Gary's, Gary's walking around here. Oh, he went to the restroom. So uh, we're having a fantastic night, and uh, now... I'm not sure where we're going to go now. Maybe Orleans. Yes. We might stop at Orleans Casino, and then we're going to make our way back to the Strip. So keep watching, everybody. Keep watching, everybody. So what happened at Orleans? What happened to Lucy? What happened to Gary? What happened to Orleans? Do we get to say goodbye to them? Do we get to hear their total, how much they won? What a great night it was. Remember, he's leaving at office. Okay, we're going to go uh Orleans next, okay? Yeah, okay, sure. We'll be right back, guys. We're going to Orleans. Here's what the video jumps to. Right away after this, a second later. All right, YouTube family, I am finally back in my home, and uh, it is actually um, 3 o'clock in the morning here in Las Vegas. On oh, Let me stop this for a second. <laughs> so you can already hear the difference in voice. 
So we're going to go to Orleans and we're going to see what happens. Hi, guys. I'm back at home. It's three in the morning. Okay, so you may say, well, maybe he's just tired. Well, one notable difference in Christopher between those two seconds in the video with transitions. He has a black eye. He has a black eye that developed in between those two seconds of the video. So somehow, between when he said they're going to the Orleans and when he was back at home at 3 a.m., something like a few hours' time, somehow in that period he has a black eye, a very clear black eye. In fact, the black eye is bad enough to where one eye is kind of like forced open. So his eyes look different. One looks like big and swollen, and one of them kind of looks small. The small one is the normal one. The other one is the big swollen one. So it looks like he has this uh, deformity, which he doesn't really have. If you look at him right before this, his eyes look normal. So it looks like he has this deformity where he has this one big right eye, which is wide open, and one left eye, which uh, which is smaller and, and kind of closing. And if you look, the damage is on the right eye. You can see a black eye there, and you can hear his demeanor has totally changed. So let's let's go on and listen to the rest of this. And remember, Gary disappeared. Lucy disappeared. We never got to hear what happened to the Orleans. It just bang, stories over. Back at home with a black eye, which he does not explain. But let's hear what he does explain. On Friday morning, and I am absolutely exhausted. So there has been so much that you haven't got to see. Okay, that's the only hint we get that something went down. So much we haven't got to see. But he doesn't explain what he means. Um... I'm, I'm exhausted. I've been with uh, Gary and Lucy for the last three days. We've been going out to five-star dinners. We've been casino hopping, and uh, we've been making money. We've been testing out different strategies. We've had a great time. We've got to know each other, and now it's Friday morning. Okay, let's stop. And he's talking about this past Friday morning here. We're talking about now uh, less than 48 hours ago when, when he did this. He doesn't explain the black eye, doesn't say what he's talking about, that a lot has happened that you haven't seen. For some reason, we don't see him saying goodbye to Lucy, to goodbye to Gary, and he never gives a total for how much they won. He was very meticulously keeping the total from every different casino they were going to. And now, all of a sudden, we hear nothing about how much they won in total, and just very vague descriptions of what happened. Said that uh, some stuff happened we didn't get to see. And he has a black eye that he won't explain. And his demeanor is like turned way, way, way down as if someone flipped the switch off. And I've got another personal one-on-one coaching session coming up with a gentleman later today. So I'm not going to get much sleep yet again. And um, yeah, man, I'm so tired. I can barely even think right now. I've been getting emails from people literally all over the world saying, Christopher, I want to come to Vegas. I want to hire you for your personal one-on-one coaching. So, folks, there is only one way, one rate that I am now accepting for my personal one-on-one coaching. I have a wife and a son that I love more than anything in the world, and I have not got to see them much over the last five days because I've been booked nonstop helping people, coaching personal one-on-one clients in the casinos here in Vegas and I love helping people but my time is extremely valuable and it's very very limited because I'm extremely busy so for any of you who have contacted me and want my personal one-on-one coaching in the casinos here in Las Vegas you want me 
to teach you all of my brand new Baccarat winning strategies. You want to gamble alongside of me. You want to match me bet for bet. I charge $1,000 up front that must be paid before I put you in my calendar. That is the only price, the only rate, and the only service that I now offer to people around the world. So if you want to meet me in Las Vegas, if you want me to coach you, if you want me to teach you how I make thousands of dollars using my Baccarat Winning Strategies, you can send me an email. My email address... Okay. You hear what point he's trying to make, and he repeats it. I'm not going to play him repeating it. And this is all I'm going to play from the video, by the way. If you want to see the video, it's called Christopher Mitchell Baccarat Winning Strategy Day 8. And his channel is called Change Your Life Vlog. Change Your Life Vlog is Christopher Mitchell's channel. It's the one called Christopher Mitchell Baccarat Winning Strategy Day 8. And uh, you can skip all the way to like the 26-minute mark. That's when it really starts to get interesting. Or you can watch the whole thing. It's fairly interesting anyway. But the good stuff's happened starting at uh, around 26-something, like what I played you. Notice what he is going to. He's so tired. He just spent all these days. He has this weird black eye he won't explain. He has the stuff that he says happened that he didn't show on camera. He doesn't give a goodbye to Gary and Lucy and doesn't give their totals. And what's on his mind? What's on his mind is letting you know a new policy that you have to pay the $1,000 up front rather than when you meet him, that you can't even book him without sending $1,000. Now, why would that be the thing on his mind at 3 in the morning when he's so tired after uh, such a, a crazy schedule there with uh, coaching Lucy and, and coaching Gary? Why, why would this be the thing on his mind at 3 in the morning? Well, it doesn't take a genius. It doesn't take Sherlock Holmes to put this together. Remember, he's got a black eye. We don't see Lucy and Gary again. We don't see how they did at the Orleans. And all of a sudden, he's very concerned about coaching people and somehow not getting paid. So now he's saying you not only have to pay him at the beginning, you have to pay him up front. Up front meaning beforehand. That you have to send him a thousand first and then he'll put you on the schedule. Now is this because he wants to take your thousand and run and not coach you? No, probably not. He probably does plan to coach you. Not that I trust him, but I'm just saying that I don't think this is a way to just take the money and run. I think something happened that night. I think they probably got destroyed at the Orleans. As you'd guess, they said earlier in the video that they were betting a base of $200, like I just explained. So they may have lost their entire roles at the Orleans or wherever they went. And Gary and Lucy, probably their moods changed very quickly that uh, they, they may have realized they were duped, they were scammed, or that this system was bunk. So then when the whole thing was over, Christopher may have said, well, okay, uh, can you give me the $1,000 now? Sorry, it didn't work out, but this is a winning strategy. So uh, can you guys pay me? And they may have refused, or one of them may have refused. Maybe it was Gary. Maybe it was Lucy. Uh, he got the black eye somehow. And while it's possible he slipped and fell, uh, think of like the battered wife who gets black eyes and claims that uh, she slipped. Or she accidentally hit herself in the face with something. And you go, no, 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 no. I know what's happening here. Your husband's beating you. I have a feeling here that Christopher Mitchell did get punched. And that's why he has a black eye. And if I had to guess who punched him, I would guess it was Gary. There's even a possibility it was Lucy. Just because Lucy's a little old uh, European woman uh, doesn't mean that she can't uh, still hit him if she's mad at him for uh, losing all her money. Or, uh, or hit him with her purse. I mean, he's not going to go beat on an old little woman. So... 
it could have been Lucy too. I, 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 it's easier to think it was it was the big guy, but it may not have been. But I have to. I have a feeling one of the two hit him, and there's probably some altercation about how he wanted to get paid, and they said, "No, your system sucks. We lost all our money. F you." And then he was really frustrated because he just lost his money too. He was he was betting along with them. So he probably shot off all his money too, said, okay, well, can you guys at least pay me now? And they're like, uh, no, you just lost everything for us. Uh, kiss my ass. So I have a feeling it all went bad very fast. You might wonder why did he even bother posting the video at all then? Why not just forget the whole thing? Well, I wonder that too, but I think maybe he was so impressed with his own footage of what a great time they were having and how much they were winning and how much they were praising his system that he figured that uh, – he could just go home and make a, a final little uh, postscript to it and and just post the video without really saying what happened and hope people don't notice. Because either he has to throw all the footage away or he has to try to come on and explain it in some way. Now, if he wants to do that, the smartest thing to have done would have been to uh, wait a few days. Like, there's no reason he had to post it the day he did it. He could have waited a few days for the black eye to heal. And then recorded it with some BS and like, okay, we're back home. Uh, uh, turned out that uh, Gary and Lucy retired and uh, they don't want to be on video anymore. But that's cool. I understand. But uh, they did great. And if you want my coaching, blah, like that would have been the smart move. But he does a lot of dumb things. So who knows? Like <laughs> he, he thinks that Lee, a Hoosier, a is Kevin Davis. We went over that on a previous show. And like he, he does and says a lot of stupid things. So uh, this appears to be one of them. But something happened there. To me, that's really interesting. Like someone gave him a black eye, and there's some reason we do not see the rest of what happened with Gary and Lucy. I have to think they're connected, and I have to think the reason he's demanding the 1000 up front now is because he just got stiffed for his coaching fee. Rightfully so, by the way, but I think he got stiffed. And I think he changed his policy on the fly and couldn't help himself bringing that up. This reminds me a little bit of a restaurant that I used to go to when we got to know the owner a little bit in Mammoth in the 1980s. This is a defunct restaurant. It's not there anymore. But it was an Italian restaurant. It was actually pretty good. But the owner had a weird obsession with separate checks. You know, when you get separate uh, bills for people at the same table. Some restaurants don't like doing that. They find it to be a pain in the ass and they'll say no separate checks. And some restaurants have that policy. And that's fine. They can do what they want. But this guy had an obsession with no separate checks like I've never seen before. So first of all, they have some sign up front before you go to your table and sit down in the the lobby of the restaurant. There's a sign about no separate checks. And then it actually says, no separate checks. Please don't even ask, which already seems kind of rude. Then you open the menu and at the bottom of the menu, it said, no separate checks. Don't ask. It actually says that. No separate checks, don't ask, with like three exclamation points. And then the funniest thing was that uh, eventually he took ads in the Mammoth newspaper. Mammoth is a ski resort town in uh, central California. But they (laughs) – he took an ad in like the Mammoth Times for his restaurant and put in big print in his own ad, no separate checks, don't ask. (laughs) Can you imagine? Even the advertisement is shoving that in your face. Well, it turned out that the reason this all occurred is that there was a big party there, and he had some big argument about doing separate checks for them, and the people who were there uh, refused to pay 
until they uh, got the separate checks they wanted. And there was a big fight, and they said, nope, we're just not paying. You better give us the second separate checks we want, or we're just absolutely not paying for the food. And there's a big fight about it. I don't think a physical fight, but there was some big uh, verbal altercation about it. And uh, when this was all done, and he reluctantly did the separate checks, he made sure that everybody understood going forward no separate checks and developed an obsession letting everyone know that he doesn't want anyone to have separate checks or even expect it. So that next time someone tr- claims they didn't know this, he can point to all these different things all over the restaurant about no separate checks. So he, he overcorrected the problem. While it's fine that he wanted it made clear to people, uh, to put it obnoxiously like, please don't even ask, don't ask, and even put it in the advertisements for the place. I've never seen a place do that before, never seen a place do it since. This is like in the late 80s. So this sprung from a bad experience he had with separate checks. Similarly, the reason Christopher Mitchell just made this policy and stated it at a portion of the video you wouldn't expect this to be stated is because that must have happened. I'd be shocked if there wasn't an issue that night about getting paid and a fight that happened as a result. Some kind of, at least, something physical happened. I can't say it's a full fight, but there, at some point there was, he got hit. It even could have been like uh, the person refused to give him and he tried to grab one of their chips that they were sitting out, like a $1,000 chip that they had, and they hit him in the face to get him away. Who knows? I would have loved to have seen this. I would have loved to have seen this on camera. I would have loved to see Lucy just bop him in the eye. Right. That would be much. That would be so much funnier if it was the little old lady who did it rather than the big guy. That would be really funny if it was the little Eastern European grandma who says, What? You, you make me lose my money? You make me lose my money, you bad man? <laughs> you want my, you want thousand dollars now? Here's thousand dollars! A thousand dollar purse in your face! <laughs> that could have been the cane right to the eye. Yeah, like that would have, I, I, that, that I'd pay money to see. I would pay money to see the video footage of little four foot ten Lucy, the old Eastern European grandma, just bopping him in the eye because he asked for a thousand dollars after she loses all her money playing his BS strategy. So that is a very weird thing that occurred. Okay, we're going to call up uh, somebody who texted me. I have no idea who this guy is, but he texted me before the show, and he said that he found my site uh, through the Christopher Mitchell stuff that was going on, and that he wants to appear on the show tonight. And uh, he says, uh, love the show, by the way. I've been going through the archives ever since I found it. Great content, and thank you for calling out these scammers. So we're going to call this guy here. Again, this is someone who found the show fairly recently. Can you imagine the balls this guy has to ask for money after they all crushed? Right. I think, I think that's probably what caused the fight. <laughs> They're all losing money. He's thinking to himself, oh, shit. Nah, I lost all my money, and now they owe me this money for the, for the coaching. Should I ask? Should I ask? Well, they agreed to pay it. Folks, I know you're not in the best mood right now, but you you did agree to pay me a thousand dollars for my winning Baccarat system, and they're like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" <laughs> so, oh, I I would just love to have been a fly on that wall. There's sometimes when that some things happen. Hey, but it's it's great. He got punched in the face, though. These fucking Mike Possels need to get punched in the face. They do, like it's it was, right. I, that guy. That, that's what I'm saying. I I really. I'm hoping that that's what happened. I, I'm really hoping he didn't just like slip on the way out of the Orleans or, or got drunk and fell down. I, I really hope he got punched. I think he got punched, though. That's my guess. <laughs> All right. Uh, caller, you're on the air. Hey, what's going on, guys? So w- what is your name? 
Uh, well, I, I play uh, poker online and in the Jimmy runs deep. Jimmy runs deep. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so uh, I know. So you said you found first kind of litigious. So I'll just, uh, <laughs> just I'd rather just keep it at that. No, no, you don't have to give your real name. No, no, I'm, you, you don't have to give your name and address to, to serve you with a restraining order or anything like that. So, okay. So, so you, you said you found my show through the Christopher Mitchell stuff. Uh, yes, I um, started watching Christopher, and I believe. October or November of last year. Um, I am have been a, I've been playing poker for over twenty years. Uh, I play table games. Don't have much luck at them, so I really don't play them much. But um, found his videos, and I got to admit, at first, I, you know, I think of myself as a pretty level-headed guy. I'm a poker player, so I can tell when people are full of it usually. But he. I, I kind of bought in and I kind of listened to what he was saying and in his earlier videos that I, I'm not sure if they're up now still or not. I haven't looked. He pretty much told you the steps that he charged people for before he charged them. He pretty much told you what they were. Um, I thought they were ridiculous. I mean, and then I remember I drove to the casino today. I was like, you know what? I'll try it. He seems like he's winning. And then I got there and I was like, all he does is Martingale. You're right. Like, this is stupid. <laughs> There's no, like switching casinos and switching tables, you and I both know none of it amounts to anything. It's no, just, it's basically a martingale system. I, I was just explaining this to my my girlfriend. She's like she's aware of uh, of Christopher Mitchell, so she sees me watching the videos and she's heard me doing these segments on the show. So she's aware of the story, and uh, she'd never seen him before. She watched, she saw she actually saw him for the first time today because I wanted her to see that transition in the video I was talking about. But uh, she was I was explaining to her one of the weirdest things is how he jumps casinos like. He doesn't even explain why jumping casinos is supposed to help you. If, the, if it's a winning system and you're not trying to avoid being kicked out, which he admits he's never been kicked out and that this is not uh, – it's not that he's worried about them throwing him out for winning. You just you just switch casinos. He doesn't explain why switching casinos is going to improve your odds. But but you just switch casinos. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it all goes into his five-minute in and out in five, ten minutes uh, BS. But – Back in his original videos, he stated, and like I said, I have not checked to see if these videos are still up or not, but like I said, I've been listening since pretty much the very beginning. Um, he stated that he had never gambled before February of 2019. He stated that was the first time he ever gambled. Now, people can double check, or I may be slightly off with my dates because I'm going off of memory. And then he also stated that for four months, he lost so much money that him and his wife were in $50,000 of credit card debt. Yeah, I remember that. I saw that video. Okay. Okay. So then so, – so if just by his logic, if you take February, you add three to four months, so now we're at June of last year. Now this is the first time he's ever started winning in a casino according to his logic. So then he states in October, November that he's already a millionaire. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, how how does a guy who's fifty thousand dollars in credit card debt in June of 2019, a millionaire, in October, let's say October 15th of 2019, and he's showing you his videos in between of his wins and losses, and it adds up to, I mean, now let's let's assume he's not obviously making a video every time he plays because he was stating that he was playing every day, um, but let's say he goes on a crazy run. At max, you would think the man maybe was out of debt, 
and maybe up a hundred thousand dollars, one hundred fifty thousand dollars. So then right away, I was just like, okay, you know, he, he seems like a used car salesman. This doesn't really add up. Then come to find out, he really is a used car salesman. Has his dealer's license and all of it. Kind of made sense, but and no, no offense there. I just mean like that was just kind of the impression I got from him. And and then so now he's moved on to you know he's a millionaire and that's his he keep on the high roller. The part that that I can't understand. And like I said, I've been here through the whole thing is where the money comes from now. Because I, I, I listened to Kevin Davis and that's how I found you. I love Kevin. I think he's great, but I, I don't think Kevin gives him enough credit in certain areas. I don't think I'm like you. I'm not sure that money's fake. Well, also I've, I've come. I, that's been a big mystery about the money being fake. I know Kevin is sure it is. At the beginning, I said no. I think it's real. Then I started to come around and said, "Well, I actually, Kevin, I I think you're right because uh, he he went through this exercise trying to show he has real money." And instead of just walking to the bank and saying, "Hey, uh, I'm going to deposit fifty thousand and I'm going to withdraw the fifty thousand back," and once you, if you video yourself in the bank doing it, then then it's obvious that you that the money's real. Uh, he, he, I, I don't think he sure. would go in with counterfeit money and risk being arrested for that. I mean, that could be very serious business if you try to put fifty thousand dollars into an account that's counterfeit. So. I don't think he would do it, but he didn't. Instead, he, he drove to an ATM and tried to withdraw like a thousand dollars. It was pathetic. So clearly, uh, this fifty thousand that he claims to have, he had very simple ways to prove that it was real and didn't. But on the flip side, Rick Lee said that Christopher lost thirty six thousand in Biloxi and watched it happen. And I believe Rick. I don't think Rick's making that up. And and also sure. Christopher does have money to go in with these people. He does play alongside these people. And uh, uh, when he does his Martin Galing with the hundred, two hundred dollar base bet, so and 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 he's shown chips in places. He's gone around in these California casinos. He doesn't have fifty thousand on it, but you see, he has six thousand, seven thousand. So he has something, but that is a very good question of where it's coming from because I, I have to believe that he's busting his bankroll on on these bad Martin Gale runs. And so I think, 100%. I think my guess is that money that he flashes is prop money or mostly prop money that he bought uh, somewhere you know, from some Chinese company that sells this stuff. So something that's not uh, convincing enough to pass in real life, but on a video uh, comes out well, kind of like the same money they'll use on uh, on TV shows and movies that will look good enough on the screen. So, sure. so, so my guess, and if this is just a guess, I could be wrong. Is that fifty thousand he flashes on there is not real? He doesn't have fifty k behind that he's just always saving for the videos. But that he does, he does seem to have some kind of like five figure bankroll, maybe low five figures, but he's some kind of five figure bankroll that he's able to bring to these casinos. And of course, he does win in the short term with the martingaling until one of these uh, beatdowns happens. Now, I, I got a little bit more information as I was doing this segment. Uh, Kevin Davis is listening, so he texted me that uh, he has witnesses that talked to Lucy today and that he said it was bad. <laughs> he said he's going to do a video tomorrow telling Lucy's story. So I'm, I'm very interested in that one. So it'll probably be tomorrow night. Uh, you can see this on Kevin's YouTube Scam Exposures channel. I don't think Lucy's going to be on herself, but that uh, someone was there and, and spoke to her, which, which is funny. Like Kevin really seems to be everywhere. He seems to have people everywhere watching everyone. So that's uh, if if Kevin Davis is out of your case, you're probably going to uh, have a hard time having much privacy. But anyway, sure. Uh, it, 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 this is this is great if someone was able to talk to Lucy and get some information here. 
But uh, obviously there wasn't a happy ending to it, whatever occurred, even even without this information Kevin just sent me. And uh, I, I do wonder, though, like, where does – once he goes bust, like, how does how do they keep eating? Uh, how do they keep paying the rent? I, yeah. how, how, do, how do they keep coming up with and, a bankroll? And there, there's facts, too, that we can look at that he can't hide. They, I, I'm like you. I believed the first three stops of that video. I, I don't think Lucy – uh, Gary seemed like, honestly, to me, Gary seemed like the one that if he said it, I don't think he could have got Gary on that video and got him to say anything other than the truth. Uh, Lucy, I think probably, you know, he may, you know, I don't know. I don't want to judge like that, but I was kind of shocked. They won those three times. Then you look, he actually does. They have the Las Vegas condo. That's a real thing. They've got it in order for him to have been able to get that. He had to have had some sort of money. And I, I guess for me, that's the confusing part because I've martingale, I, I, you know, I've tried it and, and it doesn't take it, it. You know, you said that bad run, it's coming real fast. Let me tell you, anybody listening, it comes super fast. Well, and, right. And it also has to, it has to do with it could be one trip. And, and I, it has to do with the starting bet. And so here's the big problem with martingale. Sure. If the sm- starting bet is really small, let's say let's say you could do a starting bet of a penny. You can't, but let's say they had penny tables. And let's say they had penny tables with, with a very high limit, where it was like one penny up to a uh, billion dollars you could you could bet at the tables, okay? So if you were to Martin Gale starting with a penny, then you could go a very long time with a reasonable bankroll. You could go a very long time without the devastating beatdown because it takes so long, even doubling it from a penny to get really high. It would eventually happen, sure. but but you you could go a very long time before you'd have any kind of real beatdown. But what's the downside of that? The downside is each time you're going to win a penny, and no one's going to waste the time with that. So if you want to make any yeah, kind of yeah okay, okay money, ahead, if you want to make any kind of okay money with a Martin Kale, then you have to make the base bet higher. And the higher the base bet is, then the lower number of losses have to occur in a row to devastate you and. As you said, it comes a lot sooner than you think. And if you're tr- if you're thinking you're going to go without losing six or seven in a row, uh, that's very hard to do. As I said, in fifty hands, it's likely you'll lose six in a row at some point. So that's that's why this sure. this never works. And he he starts with a high base bet. That's the crazy thing. He's not even saying, uh, "Hey, hey, just aim low. Start start with a, a ten dollar base bet, and you'll walk out with a small profit every time." Unless you get really really unlucky. That's not what he's doing. He's like, folks. We're starting with a $100 base bet. We're starting with a $200 base bet, folks. Folks, you can't be scared. This is how you make the real money. Well, that's how you lose the real money. That's how you lose huge if you start with a 100 or 200 base bet, as I explained. And that's what he does, and that's what sure. he has his students do. And, and so, yeah, that's, that is really a ticket to being broke. And it doesn't even take the long term to make that happen. This can happen in the short or the short-medium term very, very easily. So it's, it's amazing that people go along with this but people kind of just want to believe that there's someone with the magic formula to beat the casinos and as i've said before on other shows if you want to beat the casinos it's a lot of work it's a lot of work there's also variance to it you have to have the right bankroll you have to have discipline where you don't tilt off and go away from the winning strategy uh yeah i'm talking about real winning strategies not chris's strategies but it's it's not easy or fun to be an advantage player and those who have been real casino advantage players Know what I'm talking about. It's not something easy, fun, fast. These are things that are time-consuming. They can be tedious. They require a lot of learning. They require an incredible amount of discipline. They require a proper bankroll even when you're doing everything right. 
there's really, aside from a few golden opportunities, which again, you have to put a lot of effort to find or network with the right people uh, who give them to you. And by the way, if you network with the right people who give them to you, uh, you also have to provide some value to them. People aren't going to just hand you things because uh, when they hand you things, then it ruins the play for them because the casino catches on very quickly when something is beating them. So, th- so they'll change it or they'll stop whatever is the vulnerability. So if you, if you give something out to too many people, then it gets ruined very fast. So advantage players like to basically keep quiet. They have a, a network of, uh, of people that, that they trust each other and they'll, they'll trade plays with each other. But uh, if, if you think you're just going to join the advantage play community, they're going to hand you uh, easy plays that win for you. That's not going to work either. Uh, everybody, is, sure. it, they, they, everybody has to think of themselves too, and that's fine. So it, it's very tempting to have somebody who just says, oh, here's a simple and easy system I can teach you to beat Vegas. No one's thought about it till now. Somehow I'm the first one in, in all, the, all the years of Vegas. I'm the first one to have thought of this, and it's easy, and you never get kicked out for it, and they give you wonderful cops, comps. It's like every, every aspect of gambling uh, that's positive comes together here. You don't lose. You get great comps. The casino doesn't kick you out. The casino never changes anything to thwart it. It's just, it's just always there for you. To make as much money as you want, and they give you lavish meals and comps and great sweets for doing it. I mean, uh, this sounds like uh, what heaven would be for a gambler. One hundred percent. One and and you know, <clears throat> kind of to finish up with my point was, uh, there's a couple. Another thing too is is I wonder how culpable his wife is in the whole scenario because. Uh, you know, I kind of genuinely feel like she kind of seems like uh, just in a little bit I've seen her that maybe she's a decent human being. Um, you know, I just kind of wonder how th- is he fooling her? Does she not know too, or is she completely in on it also? And two two videos ago, he said when he coached someone one on one, he was going to take fifty percent of the winnings. And, and I just remember thinking, wow, you know, he's really going for it here because it's a no-lose for him. If he right. takes 50% and they blow up, he gets rich, and, and, and but if they lose, they don't. So something changed, and I think you're right. I think the money has almost ran out because now I know, you know, like you said in that last video, he's going hard for send me $1,000 right now if you want a spot yeah. because, uh, you know, I wonder if he's, if he's gone broke. Yeah, well, there's a good chance he has. And as far, as far as the wife, I've wondered that too. But uh, from watching Kevin's videos, uh, I, I don't think very much of her uh, because I'll tell you, there's one factor that is really convincing me that she's not innocent either. And that is that she has a 13-year-old daughter in Ohio that she has just left and doesn't see. And you have to be uh, a, a pretty cold woman to be able to walk away from your child. And I, I don't mean like your adult child, you let them live their own life. I mean, to walk away from a 13-year-old child as a mother is a pretty cold thing to do, and very few women can do it. I've, I've known a few people in my life who grew up without a mother or where the mother left during their childhood. Not died, just left. And they, they, these people never have any relationship with their mother as adults. They think badly of their mother as adults because they think, wow, what kind of mom – would walk away from her kids. And most mothers would, would like die for their kids. Most mothers will, will do anything for their kids. So to actually walk away and move across the country from your kid when your daughter's 12 or 13 years old, I think she was 12 when she moved, that's crazy. Now, I know her ex-husband won full custody, but that doesn't mean you can't see the kid. And by the way, that also says sure. something. How often do they award the father full custody? 
That's very unusual. <laughs> very unusual. Uh, yeah. I, I know this actually happened with Gavin Smith, poker player Gavin Smith, who who passed away last year. Uh, he had full custody, and and he had his own demons. He had a, a big a big drinking issue. He he had uh, degenerate gambling issues. I mean, Gavin Smith was was by no means a perfect guy, and he and I never got along. But but I'll say this: he had full custody of his kids, and from what I hear, he was a, a good dad, and 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 uh, they. He was the responsible parent, believe it or not, and the, and the mother, who was in Alaska, he was in Texas. Uh, the mother was actually stayed behind in Alaska, and he moved to Texas and was somehow somehow able to do it. And I always wondered, like, what the hell was the situation with that mother? If Gavin Smith, sure. with all his problems that could easily have been proven in court, he got full custody. So so I don't know much about the the his about Christopher Mitchell's wife's ex husband. Her name is Stacy. I don't know much about her ex husband. His name is Brian. I don't know. Much about Brian's story, other than they had a very, very bad divorce. But he got full custody, and then she left. She just got up and left. <laughs> she doesn't. Uh, I can't imagine how she's seeing her daughter anymore. I can't say for sure because I haven't seen it. But I know she's in Las Vegas, and her daughter is in Ohio. So clearly, she can't see her daughter very often, if at all. And uh, Kevin says he doesn't see her. She doesn't see the kid at all anymore, which which is very possible. And when I see that, I have to wonder: okay, what kind of woman could do that? And usually when a parent walks out on a kid, it's the father, which I think is very bad, too. But I think there's uh, something innate in a mother to just really, really want to protect their kids and want the best for their kids and want to fight for their kids. And with men, it seems like some have it, some don't. Most have it. But, but there's, sure. there's, there's some men who are perfectly willing to not be in their child's life and walk away and start a new family. And I, I don't think much of these guys, but but there are men who are willing to do this. And I would never do that. I could never do that to my own son. But uh, for a mother to do it really requires a certain degree of coldness. And uh, I feel bad for that girl whose mom just walked out. And I don't care what sure. the court says. I don't, I don't care if the court says you can't see the kid at all. You still stay there in the state and keep fighting for it. But she just just flew the coop to Las Vegas with with Christopher. It's crazy. Uh, I'm surprised she was able to have this this baby she did last year with Christopher because she's uh she's now 44 she'll be 45 soon. So she she had this baby at like 43 or 44, which is pretty late. So she was lucky she could even have yep. this uh, the second child. But I, I know some women can do it, but uh, most can't. Anyway, uh, th- thank you for your uh, your insight in this. I know you mentioned you wanted to talk about it, so I appreciate that. And thank you for. Uh, finding the show and enjoying it and uh, going back to the archives and all that. I, I guess I can thank Christopher for bringing me a new listener in a way. <laughs> for sure. And I want to say, uh, before you let me go, I listened to the Dutch Boyd interview was fantastic, but the, uh, the one with Houston caused me to rewatch Molly's game. Uh, and just the unique perspective you had on it after hearing that interview with him, um, you know, it's kind of, it, it, he, he kind of, you could tell he kind of thought the movie was way off of reality, and obviously he lived it, he knows. But from the story he told, the movie actually seemed kind of close. I, you know, he, there was a spot here or there that was different, but that interview was so good that I went back and watched the movie, so I wanted to give you kudos for that one as well. Yeah, thank you. And a lot of people really like that one. They like both interviews. Like, I got positive feedback from both, which is good. I... Do this show for the audience. If people say, think that something I'm doing sucks, I tend to get away from it because I don't want to do things people don't want to listen to, just because I enjoy it. Sure. So, so I know I like I like doing the interviews and I like uh, talking to these guys, but 
I didn't know how the audience would like him, and they, they liked both. So I'll, I'll do some more interviews coming up uh, as the summer progresses. And I, I know there. it sounds like the forum's going to be giving you a little grief about Christopher, but I, I can't get enough of the story. I think, I think the story's amazing. I can't get enough of it. So hopefully we stick on that a little bit too. But I really appreciate it. Okay. Well, thank you, thank you for uh, messaging me, and uh, thank you for the call. All right. So that was uh, an interesting talk we had with that listener. And we're going to move on to our next subject. See, I promised you it wouldn't be too long. Let's talk about the 2020 World Series of Poker, which was announced after it was accidentally announced. Typical Caesars, by the way, the way this all went down. It's hard for Caesars to do anything without failing in some way. The prevailing belief I have about Caesars is that if there's a way to fail, they find it. It's not just that they fail, it's that they actually will find new ways to fail that you didn't even think of. Just if there is a way to fail, they will manage to do it. Caesars has success in some places despite themselves. Or because they do a few things well and a lot of things badly. Like they do marketing really well. Except for this World Series, this, this we're about to get to, it wasn't marketed that well. Other than that, they market it very well. That's why the World Series of Poker is so huge. The marketing has been tremendous. But a lot of other things have not been. Now, with that said, before I begin the segment, and it's important for me to open with this, something I really appreciate about the World Series, and I'm being serious here, not sarcastic, is the variety that the World Series of Poker has. How many tournaments do you know of, how many tournament series do you know of, that you can go and play a lot of other games besides No Limit Hold'em? I bet not many. You can probably think of some series that have PLO, but how much besides No Limit Hold'em and a little PLO do you typically see in other in other series? Very little. And if there is, it's like something that's lower limit and, and with a bad structure and still not very much variety. You just don't see very many tournaments, including mixed games, including uh, Limit Hold'em, including 08, including uh, Raz. You don't see things like this in other tournaments. So the World Series of Poker has done a good job with giving everyone a lot of variety. And that's something I have appreciated. And that's something that has drawn me to the World Series every year. I would have less desire to go if it was only No Limit Hold'em and PLO. It's the fact that I can play these other games, and I play No Limit Hold'em too, as you've seen. But I like also playing the non-No Limit Hold'em games. In fact, those are the events I look more forward to when I can play the Limit Hold'em events, so I can play the 08 events, or I can play the PL08 events and the, the, the mixed Omaha events. And I, I was going to play some study events this year, but it's not going to happen. But uh, had there been the World Series normally, I would have been in, in stud events. So I, I wanted to play a horse event. It's just it wasn't going to fit my schedule right. Anyway, I, I like the fact – and. The poker community as a whole likes the fact that there's a lot of different types of events there. And then they even have uh, events like the women's event and the seniors event and the super seniors event. So closed or semi-closed events that are to certain demographics that also like playing with people uh, in that demographic. So women who only want to play with other women, they find it less intimidating. Or, uh, or seniors who only want to play with other seniors. So they have that too. They really have a, a wide variety, and they have uh, a big range of buy-ins. You have the, the high buy-in events, you have the nosebleed events, you have the the 
thousand dollar events. I, I wish they didn't go below a thousand dollars. I'm not going to praise that. I think at some point it's the World Series of Poker, and you should just run deep stacks or whatever. You you can run side events, events, but I I, don't, I never like the bracelet events that are less than thousand dollar buy in, and that's something that's unfortunate. But they did have a lot of variety, and there's a reason I'm mentioning that, which we'll get to in a second. So people have been wondering, what is going to become of the World Series of Poker in 2020? In fact, I get this question pretty often. It's, it's rare that a week goes by that someone doesn't ask me, is there going to be a World Series of Poker in 2020? For some reason, they think I'm going to know. Like, I, I, I don't work for Caesars. I don't know. I don't have any inside track to finding out if the World Series is going to happen or not. But the best I can do is theorize. And what I was saying to people is, I think that if... Given that Vegas has reopened, I think they're probably going to try to have something in October. I think the chance of it happening now in October or November has gone up because they have reopened these casinos. Now, some of this also depends upon what happens as a result of reopening these casinos. If we see a big spike in coronavirus cases that we can trace back to the casinos, they may have to rethink this whole thing. And we'll see. There's, it's like a long time between now and and October when it comes to the coronavirus. So I'm not saying for sure there's going to be something in October. But it's more believable now that it'll happen in October or November than what I would have said before. With that said, am I going to be part of it? Answer is no. And I think I said this last week. I'm not going to be part of the World Series of Poker in 2020 unless I either have already had the coronavirus or if they've come up with a vaccine, which is effective, or if there's a cure, which is effective, or if the coronavirus has just kind of petered out and disappeared by then, which I don't think is likely. If one of those four things has not happened, I will not be at the World Series of Poker this year. But, hold on, there is a way you can play the World Series of Poker and win a bracelet in 2020 without sitting in a casino and trading chips back and forth with other people who may or may not have the coronavirus. You could do it online. And you would think that this would be something that could appeal to me. So let me tell you about uh, what occurred this past week involving the online bracelets, because this has been discussed as a possibility. Maybe maybe they're just going to hold the World Series of Poker online through WSOP.com. Now, there are some problems with that. Most notably, you cannot play WSOP.com unless you're either in Nevada, New Jersey, or Delaware. So that counts out most of the U.S., so that means to play on WSOP.com, if they were to hold the World Series there, you would have to travel to a state where you can play it. In addition, for uh, whatever reason, Delaware cannot play these tournaments. I don't know. I'm not sure why, but uh, it's a Nevada and New Jersey thing only. So if they were to hold the World Series of Poker on WSOP.com and have online bracelets only, then you'd have to be physically standing in one of those two states, Nevada or New Jersey. Now, they've had other online bracelets in the past when they have the regular World Series. There was one last year, the one year before, one year before that. So why not just hold the entire series there this year? Because they've done it before, and they've handed out bracelets for that before, and while some people haven't been thrilled about it, including me, they've done it, and there hasn't been a tremendous amount of controversy about the online bracelet. So given that we're living in different times in 2020, why not just do that again? Well, apparently that's what they've decided they're going to do. On June 7th, there was a schedule that was posted on WSB.com 
And uh, two players found it, including Joseph Chiang, who once made uh, the I, – I, did he make the final table or get very close to the final table? He made it very deep in a main event. I forget if he made the final table or not. Did he get third? I thought he got like third. Oh, he got third. Okay, see, so, yeah, this is all something like that. Yeah, it's becoming a blur. He I do. Yeah, I remember. He, I remember he donked off his chips. That, that part I remember. I forgot. I forgot if that happened like right before the final table or at the final table. Anyway, Joseph Chiang found it, and I think a second person found it too. Joseph's Twitter is where I saw it. He posted on his Twitter the schedule and said, uh, "Guys, is this real?" <laughs> Like, because there there was no announcement. It's just there. It's just there on WSOP.com. Not in a really prominent place yet, but I, I think he went to just go look and, at, at the WSOP schedule and saw it was right there. And said, uh, guys, what is this? Is this real? Like, did someone hack the site? Is, I, is this really the schedule? Because the schedule showed a bunch of online bracelet events beginning on July 1st and uh, the last one beginning on July 31st. 31 different events. Somehow that appeared and then disappeared when it was posted by Joseph Chung. But given that KevMath acknowledged it was a real schedule, we knew it was coming. We knew it was very shortly going to be posted for real. But isn't that typical of Caesars that uh, their, the schedule gets accidentally posted before they can announce it by them? It wasn't even like it leaked out or something. Like, like someone accidentally posted it. I, I won't be too mean about it because KevMath's a listener here and he's a great guy and he, he's usually on the ball and brings out a lot of great information in a very clear fashion. So if, if he made this little mistake, then I will forgive him. But anyway, this was real. And they went ahead and posted it for real the following day. I think there was one slight change, but other than that, the schedule that was originally posted is the schedule. So there are uh, 31 events, as I mentioned, now, let's go back to my little speech about the variety. Remember how I praised the World Series of Poker for all the variety and how it's not just no limit, hold them heavy, that they have something for everyone? Remember that little speech I just gave, heaping praise upon the tournament director of the World Series of Poker? Well, in this online World Series, where they do award bracelets for every event, 27 of the 31 events are no limit, hold them. 27. What are the other four? Three are PLO, and one is Omaha 8 or better. 27, 3, and 1. And that's it. No Limit Hold'em. No Horse. No uh, Raz. Just all that stuff's not there. No Stud. No PLO 8. No Big O. No, no, nothing. Just... Uh, and can you play those games on the site, Trump? Well, that's... They just don't have them up. They're just not choosing to play them. Correct. Okay, so that that is the problem. That is the problem here. And uh, that is the reason that they are not holding it. However, we're not understanding why they're not holding tournaments for things like Limit Hold'em. So they don't have certain games. Like They don't have horse on the site. On They're, they're actually licensing this software from 888. So they can't just invent games on their that the site doesn't support. So I understand that, and they can't just put that up really quickly between now and July 1st. But what I don't understand is, do they not have the capacity to run a tournament for Limit Hold'em? Even if they don't normally run that, the software really can't do that? The software really can't run... Uh, I, I think they have stud on there. Like, uh, Why can't they run tournaments? Maybe the software doesn't allow it, but that would surprise me, because... 
from a software development standpoint, the hard part of developing these games is to actually develop the to where the site follows the rule of the game properly and deals it properly and determines who wins the hand properly, all that stuff. So once you have that, and once you have the whole tournament thing set up, which Dutch Boyd mentioned about when he's talking about his poker spot site back in 2000, and he talked about uh, the difficulty in creating multi-table tournaments, which we know it, it, it is there is some level of difficulty to it, which is why uh, Phil Galfon's site doesn't have multi-table tournaments yet. This is why single-table tournaments like sit-and-goes are much easier to develop, but the multi-table tournament where it's breaking tables down and moving people, like, uh, it, it's actually harder than it appears to do from a software standpoint. But once you have the ability to run multi-table tournaments, which they do on WCB.com, and once you have the games themselves there, such as Limit Hold'em, I don't understand why they can't run tournaments for them. And if they can run an 08 tournament, I would have to think they could also run a Limit Hold'em tournament. I think for whatever reason they just decided not to. So I have a feeling the software can do it, and for whatever reason they chose not to do it. It's kind of weird. And even if this was the case, why run 27 No Limit Hold'em and 3 PLO? PLO has become a very popular game. How is PLO so underrepresented there? If it's if they're only going to run those games, why is less than 10% PLO? I would think PLO should be more than 10%, even if you can run other games. But if, if you if all you can do is run those two games, why not make more than 10% PLO? It's It's... Really strange. I think that was a mistake. And uh, what's also funny is that uh, they they still have on WSP.com right now, if you go and take a look under the WSP, the 2020 WSP heading, they actually still have things listed for the, the, the live WSP, which isn't taking place. Like it's announcing the the May twenty sixth World Series with the live events, which are not happening. They they never took that down off the site, which is also weird. But but putting that aside here, it's really strange. They they also haven't gone to the portion where they show the WSP schedule. They didn't put that in. You can only find the schedule if uh, if you look at places where it's posted separate from that. In fact, I'm even having a hard time finding it on their their own site. So I think they cha- They did change one event having to do with the Omaha. I'm forgetting which one it was. But other than that, I, I still I believe it still is 27 out of the 31 are No Limit Hold'em, which some people are very unhappy about. And, and the poker community is pretty upset about it, even the ones who acknowledge that the software probably has limitations. Uh, let me read you some rants also from other players regarding how they feel about this announcement. Brandon Shaq Harris on Twitter posted the following. This is a presumptuous tweet since I'm obviously not a part of of the WSOP, but I'd like to get ahead of things if it's a possibility. This is before he knew for sure that they're uh, really... This is after this is leaked, but he wasn't 100% sure they're really holding this online bracelet series. If there is a chance that WSOP has planned it on only postponing live events until later in the year, as was brought up earlier, then it feels like having this online series for a bracelet is double-dipping to compensate for income lost due to shutdowns only at the expense of their brand. I've had nothing but great interactions with the WSB chairman and staff and take pride in competing on their platform. I'm not trying to create heat for them, 
but I have concerns about the quality of their product and potentially how they view the quality of their product given the decision to go ahead with a large online format that awards a, a trophy with a prestigious history attached to it. I see, I, I see no issues with having an online series with a prize separate from a bracelet. My assumption is that a, the chance at a bracelet is what people feel is necessary to generate traffic, but I think it's short-sighted and only hurts the overall health of the product. I also feel like people are always happy to compete in an online series in general. I would, and I'm not even a No Limit Hold'em grinder. If there isn't to be a World Series of Poker this year outside of an online series, I still feel as though it should, it should be for a different prize, such as a trophy or a ring, or a main event seed, or a free entry into a corresponding live event, but it doesn't feel as messed up potentially as holding three different series for, grace, for bracelet glory. The third, he's talking about the possibly the World Series of Poker Europe. So, uh, I agree with him. I agree that every year the bracelets are getting devalued by stupidity, by things they shouldn't be doing. The, the $365 buy-in events when it's live, I think, are a mistake. Those shouldn't be bracelet events. The online bracelets I've never liked. But let me tell you why I really hate these online bracelets, much more than last year or the years before. Because at least the other online bracelets, you had a lot of people who were there in town for the regular World Series. So it was pretty much open to everybody who was there to already play live World Series events. They may choose not to, but at least you could, especially if you had a computer with you, and I think you could even do it on your phone. So I think most people, or just about all of them, had the access to do so if they wanted to play the online event. I never have, and I never will. I just don't like online bracelet events, but... If you wanted to, you could, and there was a lot of people there in town for the regular World Series events. It's just holding at a different venue online. I still don't like it because it's not the same thing, and there can be ghosting. It can be where you have friends uh, help you or take over your account if you get deep, and that's a big problem. Now, you can say, well, that's like, it's like that for all online tournaments. Well, yes, and that's why they're different. A World Series of Poker bracelet should be something that you only get where it's 100% that you want it yourself. That you couldn't have had help because it's a live bracelet. And online is a completely different animal. It should be a different thing they're awarding. You should not be able to be called a bracelet winner because you won an online tournament. Because there's ways you can win an online tournament without it being just you winning the online tournament. And you never know. And this comes from a guy who plays a lot of online poker, more than I do live poker. I'm not one of these live guys who's like, oh, online's terrible, oh, I hate online. That's not me. I'm just saying that a World Series of Poker bracelet should not be awarded. Pearl Jammer, John Turner, also a bracelet winner like Brandon Shaq Harris and myself. John Turner said, it's a joke to run a World Series of Poker with virtually no mix events. I've reached out to various contacts and pros of GG Poker. By the way, they're running uh, another 54 events on GG Poker starting uh, sometime in uh, July, a little bit after the WSOP.com version. It's only open to non-U.S. players on GG Poker, and they have not announced which events they're running. That's why I haven't mentioned them yet. But there's 54 events that GG is going to run. They haven't said what. But he said, I've reached out to various contacts and pros of GG, encouraging them to add mixed events. Uh, not happening this series. So, 
Pearl Jammer saying that when they announce it, it also will not have mixed events on GG. As for WSB.com, hopeless. Daniel Idema, also a bracelet winner, says it's over. You'll get a World Series of Poker bracelet for a seven-card, 21-playing blackjack in the, in the pit next year. Some of the leaders of the poker world need to start a new event series, support it, and boycott the WSOP and their money beehive. Something like FTP live events without the robbery. I, I think maybe, I don't know exactly what he's talking about there. I think he, the robbery he's referring to is how they stole the money that was on deposit. I don't know much about the Full Tilt live events when those occurred. What Daniel's suggesting, I, I don't believe that could happen. It's just the World Series of Poker is too big, too well-known, too established. Like, Poker Pros can't just start their own series and compete with it. I just can't see that happening, especially at this point when poker just doesn't have the mainstream recognition it once did. So more of the established brands are going to be the ones that continue to dominate. I do like how he said that uh, eventually you give a bracelet if you're playing blackjack in the pit and get seven cards for a 21. Daniel Zach, another bracelet winner. I think it's an awful brand decision, trying to care less about these things, but I got into poker as an 11-year-old watching the WSP on TV, and the past few years have been the first ever to dampen the magic of the series. By past few years, I think he's also referring to, like I said, the low buy-in tournaments that they have added as bracelet events, and now this. Benny Glazer, also has a bracelet, I think, said, uh, massively agree, well said, buddy, to Brandon Shaq Harris. Christopher George, I don't know who he is, but he said, I wrote off WSOP when it was pushed back. It's really not the same to redistribute the product on another platform and change all the events. That being said, I can see both sides of it being bad for the brand and it needs to make more money or it could suffer in the future. Greg Merson, main event winner. I had been tweeting about stuff like this for the past four to five years uh, as uh, RE increased rapidly. I'm not sure what RE is talking about. And buy-in size decreased while expanding total event size considerably each year. I have lost most of my love for the World Series of Poker brand, and I always consider myself a lifer of the series. That's from a main event winner. Wow. David Bakes Baker. This is the younger David Baker, not not ODB. David Bakes Baker said, I just don't understand the value of the bracelet thing. He's the defender of the World Series in this case. Uh, who does this matter? Uh, who does this besides the, who's this matter to besides the top 100 or so players on the bracelet rankings? It seems to me like their concerns do not outweigh the boost these series will get by having the marketing of a bracelet attached. See, I don't agree with that. He's trying to say, well, yeah, sure, these, these people who have won multiple bracelets are complaining about it because the, it, it affects the prestige of their own bracelet. But uh, as far as what everyone else thinks, this is a good thing. I, no, I, I don't think there's a lot of people excited about this. First of all, it's been marketed very poorly. Like, Here's a challenge for you, and this may change, okay? By the time you hear this, it may change. But right now, if you're listening live or listening shortly after I did this show, go try to find this schedule without looking at my site. Go, go to WCP.com and try to find this schedule. It's not easy to find. I, I think it's buried there somewhere. It's not even easy to find. They, they have not promoted this well at all. So to say this is uh, something that they need to keep everything going or keep people's interest, no, you don't. No, you don't. You, they could easily say, guys, it's a crazy year. We're just not going to have a World Series this year. We'll do it in 2021. 
and Brand's not going to suffer. If anything, they may have the biggest World Series ever in 2021 because everyone will be itching to get back there and play. So to say that you have to do this, they, they don't have to do this. There's there's no reason for the health of the brand to do it. Now, will they make more money doing this? Yes, at least in the short term. But yes, there there is a strong argument to trying to maintain the prestige of the bracelet. If you water it down too much, eventually it really will become something that people don't give a crap about. Gags30, who we're going to talk about later in the show, about something totally different than this. He said, everyone complaining about the WSP diluting bracelet value and that online bracelet shouldn't count, it's somehow still in agreement to definitely count the bracelet from when uh, John Aces Up Smith beat eight people to win a five-card stud tournament in 1981. Okay, so I see his point that we're counting these tiny events that took place decades before the poker boom and saying, okay, that's that's a valid bracelet if it had like nine people in the whole event and we have no problem counting that bracelet, but uh, the online bracelet's bad, bad, bad. So he's saying, you guys are being hypocrites here. I'll tell you why I disagree with that. You can't change the past. You can't change the trajectory poker took. Just because poker was a much smaller game in 1981 than it is presently or was 20 years ago, that does not mean that you invalidate everything leading up to today. Like the main event. It's much tougher to win the main event now than it was back in the 70s and 80s. It is. There were There's far more players today. Far, far more players. Exponentially more players today. And the players are better. So uh, the person who won the main event in, in the 70s if you if you drop them in the main event today, they 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 I don't know if they'll be crushed, but they're they probably wouldn't win today. Let's just say that. Even if you can ignore aging, you could you could take the nineteen seventies version of that person and drop them in the main event today, and they would not be one of the best players. And that's that's fine. That's a natural occurrence. I'm not bashing the players in those times. Like Doyle said, you have to learn everything on your own in those days. There were no training videos, books. You couldn't run uh, millions of hands online. So, of course, people weren't going to be as good. I, I would like to see Stu Unger player t- playing today. Like a, I'd like to see a peak Stu Unger and how he'd compete today. And I still think he'd be excellent. But uh, a lot of the other ones, yeah, they, it was more because they were playing as weaker competition in smaller fields. But that's the history of poker. That was poker's early days before it had grown. But that doesn't mean that we should try to duplicate this today in a different way where there were some uh, bracelets that were kind of stupid in the past that because the fields were too small. So let's just say, well, since, since there were those, let's just uh, give up bracelets for anything now. You, you can't – either you, you, you say the bracelet's valuable – either you say the bracelet is prestigious or it's not. And – if poker has grown and it's evolved and you make sure the bracelet is prestigious and that people aren't winning it in nine-handed events, nine-handed mean a field of nine people, and you make sure that you're not giving it out for very low buy-in events and you make sure you're not giving this for online events, that that's a very reasonable position to take. You can't just say, well, we had these, these events in 81 that a bracelet shouldn't have been awarded then either, so why even care today? That's... That's a bad argument, in my opinion. Sam Grafton says, They've given out 29,216 Olympic medals, 
Somehow the medals have retained a modicum of prestige. Well, it's not about how many you've given out. Notice there's not a lot of complaints each year about how many events there are. It's about changing what the events are. Vinny Pahuja, I'm not sure if he's won a bracelet or not. I know he's a good tournament player. And I can confuse him with McCool Pahuja. I'm not even sure if they're related. But anyway, he said, it's myopic views like this one, and I'll tell you which one he's talking about, that prevent the game from growing and more states from legalizing online. It's so sad that this general mistrust is still prevalent. No one is forcing you to play online, but to argue online bracelets are worth less than live ones is dubious at best. And that is in response to Andrew Brown, a bracelet winner, who I've met in person. Uh, He says, hot take, WSOP bracelets should never have been awarded for online tournaments. Well, I agree with Andrew Brown. He's right. They shouldn't have been. They should have made it separate. Give a ring out. Give, give some kind of other prize. Like, let's take the rings. The rings are a good example. Because they have WSOP events all over the country throughout the year. Do they give bracelets? No. They give rings. Why do they give rings? Well, first of all, making a bracelet for each of these would be too expensive. The bracelet itself is, is too expensive for some of these smaller events. But even putting that aside, that's not why they're doing it. They're giving away the rings because they want the summer event to be more prestigious. A ring is nice to win. I'd like to win a ring. I came fairly close one time. I haven't played many ring events. That's why I was excited that one time I came close in 08. But uh, a ring is not a bracelet. If someone asked me, would you rather have, ignoring the money, would you rather win a ring or a second bracelet? There's no question a second bracelet. I'd rather have a second bracelet over uh, 10 rings. So the ring is kind of like a secondary thing that's nice to win. It's still kind of a trophy for the World Series, but it's for an offshoot of the World Series. It's for kind of a World Series side event that takes place throughout the year. So why not give online rings? Why does it have to be online bracelets? Why, why are these online events, bracelet events, just because they happen to take place at the same time of year as the World Series, and the rest of the year, these live events are ring events? I always thought the ring events, it's because they're not the, they're not the main World Series. It's, it's a separate prize for a separate type of tournament with a, a different type of prestige to it. Ring events are more locals events. Bracelet events are for the whole world, especially the best players in the U.S., but really the whole world. A lot of people from outside the U.S. play too. And that brings me to my next point. That brings me to my next point, and the biggest point here, is that the big problem this year is it's going to be mostly locals. It doesn't have to be locals, but it will mostly be locals. Why? Who is going to travel to Nevada or New Jersey just to play for online bracelets? I think very few. There will be some, but not that many. It'll be nothing like the World Series of Poker. The regular World Series of Poker, if you take a look, you can see with whoever who uh, makes day two, day three, it shows their cities. Now, some of these cities are, are uh, very old. It's, I think it's whatever you first registered as. But you get an idea. Yeah, you see a number from Las Vegas and from Henderson. But most people are not from Nevada because people come from all over to play. So you see a very wide variety of geographic locations in the list of who makes day two and day three of these events. I'm sure if you take a look at the list for these online events, it's going to be almost everybody from Nevada and New Jersey, with a few sprinkled in there from elsewhere. It just 
isn't likely people are going to travel to these states just to play the online bracelet events. I just don't see it happening. Do I say nobody will? No. Do I think you're going to get anywhere near the number of people who come for the regular World Series? No. Do I think you'll even get something like half the number? No. Do I think you'll even get a third the number? No. I don't know what number they're going to get, but I I think they're going to really, really get relatively few people coming from elsewhere to play these events online. It's just... It's hard for people to bring themselves to travel to play an online tournament. It just it just feels weird. It feels weird. When's the last time you traveled to play an online tournament? Ever? I doubt anyone has. Right, but Trump, I mean, it could be. But if you do think, though, people uh-huh. have been cooped up for 90 days. Some people may want to go to Vegas, but not, uh, you know, but... but Maybe that's a good first step. So they have to be stuck in casinos. They can play some games in the room, go to a restaurant or two, just, you know, the first time. So, maybe. Well, I'll say this. I, I'm not saying that nobody's going to. There will be some who choose to. But I, I think that unlike the World Series of Poker, where people really take it to the time out of their schedule and make an effort to go there, including me, there's a lot of people who are just not going to bother. Like, a, Like, I wouldn't even feel that... Like, I believe I could go stay in a hotel room at this point and probably not catch the coronavirus. If all I did was walk in, directly go to my room, and, and be careful, and since it probably isn't transmitting that much on surfaces, and I could request a room that hasn't been uh, stayed in for the past day. We have a call coming in here. Let me uh, call you on the air. Hi, uh, this is Tyrone. How are you, sir, Todd? Yeah, hi, hi Tyrone. One, one second, please. So I, yeah. I, I see where people can i just don't feel people are going to have the motivation to do it uh, people who want to come to vegas anyway may say oh sure let's just time it for when an online series is going to take place there, there's another problem in that when people come for the world series they often don't bring non-poker players with them they don't make a family trip out of it they don't bring their wife they don't bring their girlfriend uh, some do but most people come themselves or with other dudes who are going to play or if it's not other dudes it's with uh, with women who are going to play uh, they they don't come very often with people who aren't going to play because those people are very bored when they're playing long World Series tournaments all day, every day. So they they typically leave their spouse or their girlfriend and the kids at home. Uh, for this, it's people. I don't see people wanting to come to Vegas on a solo trip just for this. So if they do try to take like a family trip there. Then they're going to be stuck in the room playing online poker all day, and the family's going to be, okay, when are we going to go do something? Like, a, So it's going to really have to be like a solo trip where the goal is to spend most of the time in your room playing an online tournament for a bracelet. And then, yeah, sure, you can do other things if you bust out or in between tournaments you want to play. And, and also the, the lack of variety in these tournaments, I think, is going to hurt. Like how, how much are people going to want to stay to just keep playing No Limit Hold'em over and over and over again? Uh, so, okay, uh, Tyrone, what would you like to say about this? Uh, well, uh, I basically, all along, I believe, really strongly believe that the, the World Series of Poker really shot themselves in the foot, basically, especially you as a bomber bracelet winner. The, you really devalue your bracelet by quite a, quite, quite a bit. And to loop people in, it, it had nothing to do with the World Series of Poker. Yeah, even before you know, if you you win a bracelet, it's a 
big thing. It's a very difficult. It's a very difficult thing to do. Now you know you you leave the tournament. They are just making money. They are more and more. I I thought all along uh, the World Series of Poker are making too much bracelets available. Uh, uh, and they should not give out any braces online, just like you say, you said, anybody can can play, anybody can cheat, and any uh, can cheat, and and all those things. You should not be doing that. You should always play it live. That's the original intent. They really, really are hurting themselves and for themselves. Uh, shoot them then sell them for, for the sake of temporary making money. Yeah, and there's something That's else that, opinion. right, I agree too, and what they're also missing is that if they start losing the top pros in being excited for winning bracelets and really looking forward to the World Series and really valuing the bracelets, if they stop seeing on poker Twitter the top pros being excited about it and, the, and the top pros bashing what they've done to bracelets, that's going to hurt the entire brand. It's not just about, oh, this guy with three bla- bracelets is unhappy. T- too bad on him. You know, how many people are like that? Everyone else is going to be happy. That's not true. A lot of these amateur players, they, they kind of aspire to be like the top pros, at least from a poker standpoint. They may be happy with their lives and happy with their careers, but from a poker standpoint, they say, well, I wish I could be like that guy in poker. I wish I could be as good as him. I wish I could win bracelets like him. And when they start seeing these people criticize the bracelets saying, ah, it doesn't mean much anymore, they feel less of a desire to come and try to win themselves because they'll feel it doesn't mean as much. They'll feel it won't put them among the elite anymore. Like if a recreational player to go play a World Series of Poker event and manage to win it, they can feel very proud of themselves and say, look, I'm a bracelet winner like all these great players. That's right. Who, and, and if it starts being that they're, they're – it's not just a matter of how many they're handing. If they're handing them out for, for very low buy-in events and for online events, it's it, once you lose the credibility with the top pros, then the recreational players will follow. I'm not saying no one will play the World Series. I'm not saying it's going to fail. I'm saying they are I, – I really believe, like you said, that – they are risking the brand for short-term profits. I think they should just call this a lost year, maybe still hold out that they could hold it in the fall. Like, I, I don't blame them for holding out to the fall. Like, well, what if the coronavirus just peters out and by September there's, there's hardly any cases anymore? Well, okay, then it's, it's probably safe to hold it in October and you'll probably get a decent participation. But that probably won't happen. And if that doesn't happen and the coronavirus is still kind of where we are today with it in October – then they can say, okay, sorry, it's a, it's a lost year. We'll have it in 2021. Hopefully we'll be better by then. We have all the way to the summer of 21, which is like around a year from today. And hopefully we'll be better with the coronavirus by then, and we can resume like we did before. And great, go on. You, they can lose a year. It's okay. Like that's, I know it brings revenue to them, but they've they've already lost a lot of revenue this year. This They've already had to give up a lot this year. This isn't such a tremendous percentage of their revenue that they're going to get from this online bracelet series, that they have to do it. It's not like they have to do this with the companies who go under. They can easily not do this. They're not going to make that much from this. And it, it is kind of sad. Uh, it is kind of like it's just that agreed. I, I totally agree with you. I used to go to the World Series of Poker just to watch the people. I don't go anymore because I live in Vegas. I used to go there and watch it. It's very interesting to see all the Top pole playing uh, over there. You just wonder how much they they were 
better than most people and how much hip they have and all those things. But it, it, it lost all the luster uh, of, the, of the thing that uh, uh, a lot of my friends will want to go to World Series for once in a lifetime thing. It's just for fun. But I think they, they're going to shoot themselves on the foot. Uh, pretty soon. I, I, I think that they're going to uh, lost the gift pass in their mouth. That's another thing. Yeah, they have to be careful. I, they've I got, yeah, they've, they've got to be careful because yeah, yeah. They, they have something that's so successful and so popular and just it prints money during a normal year. It prints money. And they have to be that, careful not to abuse right. it and not to, not to ruin it. This is one of these things where you don't have to squeeze out every penny. There's such a thing as just saying, you know what? This is doing so well. This is just automatically making big money every year. We, we've, we've been pretty good at making tweaks to it to keep people happy. Let's, let's not overdo it. Let's not try to squeeze every penny we can out of it or otherwise we may ruin the whole thing and, and it can happen before we realize it. And they, I, I don't think they're realizing this and this is a good example of it. And I, I thought of something else. I've seen players at the World Series of Poker who are great online players and they're sitting at my table and they have no clue what to do in a, a live tournament. When I say what, no clue what to do is they, their play style online doesn't work live and they don't understand it. So I'll watch them just shoot off their, their roll, or not their roll, but their, their stack. I'll watch them shoot it all off in a stupid way at the World Series. And I'm thinking to myself, I bet whatever they just did is what helps them win online. But they don't understand this plays differently here. And I see it in cash games, too. When I go to Commerce, when I go to Bellagio to play live, I have to be very careful that I don't play my online style live or I'm going to lose. And sometimes I slip and I start to play the way I do live. And, and then I lose. And I go, oh, wait. It's a different skill, right? It's just kind of a different game. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's a different game, and it's it's kind of played a different way between it's it's, well, it's the same it's rules, not, but not exactly a different game. But it's different skill. There's a lot of reading uh, you have. The style, here, thing, everything, the physical appearance, everything else, a uh, lot to tell, you know. But online, you, you cannot do that. It's not just that. There's a there's a, just a different style of the game. How it goes and how people play, and you, you have to know the difference. And if you try to play the online style live, you're not going to do well. And, and some people can make the transition very well, and others can't. And I've seen some who just crush online, and then they try to play live tournaments, and, and they're terrible. I've seen some, uh, same with live cash, where I see people who uh, they don't understand the difference, and then they don't understand their online style that wins doesn't win live. So it, it bothers me to see this, the bracelets being handed out for these online events, they're just a completely different thing. And, and also there's the integrity issues where you can't really see who's playing. And uh, online, I accept that risk when I play poker. I don't play many online tournaments, but you, when you sit down online, you do accept all the risks of it that often don't exist in live poker, except, except of course, of Mike Postles in the game. So that you can knowingly do, but it's not the same thing. And I don't pretend it's the same thing. And I like doing both. I'm actually someone, I'm one of the rare ones who actually really likes doing both. There's others like me, but there's, most people tend to be primarily online players or primarily live players. And I really like both, but I can also recognize they're both different. And I don't like the two worlds really mixing as far as the prizes you get for success in one place that's, versus the other. That's, I want, I wanted the listeners to know, to promote something. Not everybody as good as you in poker, uh, 
But for now, I'm doing for the entertainment every every day at home. It's just it's not no money involved. I take Linger poker. Have you ever heard about that? No. What? what how do you poker? How do you spell it? E y n g yeah, uh, N-A or something like that. Zynga poker. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. See, I, yeah. I, I didn't understand that. Okay, so so yeah. that's been around forever. It's a, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful game that uh, at any given time, especially with the coronavirus, you have approximately 150,000 people on there. No, I have a question, they though. Have great, I, I've got a question uh-huh. about the Zynga poker because I, I I tried it a long time ago, and I'll tell you my problem with it is that people weren't taking it seriously. People were just just since it wasn't for real money, they're just shoving all in with crap. It looked like it was like an all in fest, and people were just uh, shooting off there where it was like a luck fest of who manages well, to win. Well, I, I that's what I thought it is, but uh, I saw. <laughs> let me try to tell you, I saw with ten thousand. Now, $1,000 in non-real poker chip. Right now, I have $38 billion. $38 billion. I go higher and higher. I go higher and higher. When you go higher and higher, people do take it seriously. Seriously. And they, uh, their quality it's not as good as paying real money, but that's what they they think. But however, the quality are there. Believe me, uh, believe me. You have just many fish. Uh, 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 well, I'm sure there's a lot of fish. Yeah, there's no question about that. Yeah. Uh, uh, but there are some good poker player in there, and. I pay no limit. I pay, I basically limit play. I pay no limit. Uh, it really helped my game, reading the car, everything else. And uh, so this summer, as an entertainment, you see, I, I did, I'm different than you. you see, I don't make poker as a living. Living. I'm, I make some money every year paying live poker. But I don't look, it's just uh, money on the side. But uh, I do that as an entertainment. I hope that some some of the listeners out there uh, are not able to pay poker or don't want to take the risk. They pay that. They have beautiful software. I I think their software is probably the best everywhere. O- over the years, they have improved tremendously, and uh, and I was amazed how. How you run smoothly everything else. I, I haven't seen I it. Thought, I haven't seen it in a long time here. I, but I will say that uh, it doesn't surprise me if the software is good. I know they put money into it. I know it actually it does actually make good money for them. I had always wondered if they were ever going to transition to one day making Zynga real money in some way. It doesn't look like it's going to happen just because of the the legal uh, issues here. They, they could technically partner with one of these legalized online sites, it just looks like it's not happening. Though I would think that would be... I'm surprised there hasn't been an attempt to do this because if they were to partner with one of these legalized online poker sites, they could bring their existing clientele, which is a lot of people, as you said, 
a ton of people. They could bring uh-huh. them. O- they could bring a lot of them over. This would be a tremendous marketing opportunity. I'm sure it's been thought of. I'm just wondering why it hasn't happened. I haven't even thought of Zynga Poker in a long time. In fact, so I'm, I I didn't even know if it still existed, so, but apparently it does. So this summer, the the uh, this this coin the coronavirus. I've been playing it's, it's, for two or three hours every day. I didn't. I enjoy it. I, I enjoy it. Just uh, imagine being being a billionaire, but uh, <laughs> not really billionaire. Well, if, it's, if that's the only way to become a billionaire, I guess you might as well do it. <laughs> so it's 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 thing. Oh, I I have two more subjects. Just real quickly, I yeah. just want to point out point out to you is uh, I know you're very uh, busy. One is that I advocate you. And your son should get the fusha. The reason is the reason is the fusha every year they're different. Yeah. One of the things to absorb the immune system is that uh, one of the things your body has to fight against disease, they have a good memory of all the virus. So if, if you do it every year, you have a different memory, different thing in there. So I highly recommend for people who, uh, who I, I get a flu shot, so I, I get different kind of resist, different kind of thing all the time. So I, I highly recommend for you and your son to get it every year. Well, my, so my son gets it. My, my son gets it. See, he gets it because he's a kid, and for kids it's important because kids are more vulnerable to the flu than, than middle-aged adults by a wide margin. I, I know you're older than I am by, by some years, so yes, for, 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 your, for your age, it's also correct. Like my parents get it uh, every year, and I, and I support that. If I were their age or anywhere near their age, I would get it. I haven't been getting it uh, partially because I just never seem to get the flu, partially because uh, there was that in 2010, I got shingles from either that shot or the uh, the DPT oh. shot, probably more the DPT shot. But I had those shots because my son was going to be born soon, and you're supposed to get that if you're going to be uh, handling a, a tiny baby who doesn't have much resistance. And, and I got shingles. Uh, I'm just about sure it's from one of those two shots, or maybe both of them to combined. So that kind of turned me off to it. Uh, though I, I'm starting to think I should probably do it again in the future. I don't want to do anything right now. I don't want to do anything that's going to make my immune system do anything differently at the moment with the coronavirus out there. I don't want to do anything to cause any disruptions like that, except for the coronavirus vaccine itself, whenever that is. But uh, when this is all passed, maybe I'll start doing it. Also, I'm also getting closer to 50. I'm not that far from there anymore. So, so I'm not a youngster anymore either. So I might, I might go ahead and do that. My son is, is getting it anyway. And he has, he has every year well, for, anyway, kid, for, for kids. It's I'm important. Highly, I'm highly recommend. Second thing. Second thing is, uh, one of the things is that uh, we're surprised uh, because my wife used to be a ex-medical doctor. Is surprising that one of the things is uh, I forgot about it. One one of the little mechanics you use measure your pulse rate and your uh, heart rate. You just put your finger into the I call awesome. Awesome meter or something, I don't know. Uh, you put it in there, it gives you oxygen level, 
and your yeah, your pul- a pulse ox- You're talking about a pulse oximeter. I have one. They're, they're hard to come by now, but yeah, uh, okay. but I, I have one. They are really hard to come by. One. I got one for 1950. Then we got one. Uh, you take about three weeks to ride. Then I got another one about forty dollars uh, on live. On the funny, we got it in the drugstore. They are all doing this great job. And I, I, I highly recommend for your for listeners to to use that to uh, see anything wrong with your colon bias. Yeah, I, I uh, agree. I've, I've said this before, uh, I, and these are a little hard to come by. You can find them a little more easy now, but it's it's still not as simple as it once was. I, I got mine two years ago, but yeah, it, it's very simple. You, you just put your finger in it. it. It's not painful at all. It's very easy. Put your finger in it, and very quickly it tells you your oxygen level, and your your heart rate. Now, you got to be careful with the heart rate that you're, you've are you been at rest. You don't want to do it like right after you walked up the stairs. In fact, you don't want to do it as you just walked. You want to get, you want to sit down and wait like at least 30 seconds and sometimes more before putting your, before you test your heart rate that way. But uh, the oxygen level has become important for people to test, not just on a daily basis. If you feel fine, your oxygen level is probably fine. But if, if you are sick with the yeah. coronavirus, it's it's very important to monitor that because it, it's the people with the very low oxygen levels that are having a hard time breathing. Th- that's, that's when you really have to start right. pa- panicking that uh, like if you have the coronavirus and, and take your oxygen level with a pulse oximeter and it says 85, that's when it's time to go to the hospital or it's actually time before that. So, so you, and now if you live in a high altitude, it's funny you mentioned a pulse oximeter because I, I brought, I happen to have it with me. I didn't mean to bring it, but I happened to have it with me when I was in Mammoth with my dad uh, two years ago. Mm-hmm. And and I said, oh, look at this thing. I said, let's let's uh, let's see what it shows for you. So I put it on for him, and it's showing like ninety two. I go, oh crap! I said, you, I'm not sure if this is accurate, but if this is accurate, ninety two is not good. And so like, this is way before the coronavirus. But I was going like, I I was getting worried for my dad that his oxygen level is ninety two, and he was just sitting there normally. And then I go, oh wait a minute, we're at eight thousand feet. I wonder if that has to do with it. And I looked it up, uh-huh. and yeah, sure enough, high in the mountains, uh, you're going to get lower levels. So that the 92 was actually fine where we were. Now, back at, at at home, 92 would have been bad, but it, in the, up there, it was fine. And, and I tried my own. Mine was lower, too. Mine wasn't quite 92. I think mine was 94. But uh, So other than, than high altitudes, you're, it should be like 95 or higher. And uh, if it stays low, lower than 95 for the long term, long term meaning like more than just like once, like if you – if throughout an entire day it's under 95, then that might be an issue. You shouldn't worry too much if you're feeling fine. But if you have been sick, especially with the coronavirus, and you start seeing that drop, especially getting under 90, then you should be concerned. And while this hasn't been proven, uh, there there is some belief, and I mentioned this on a previous show, that if your resting heart rate is higher than normal, and you can figure this out by just seeing what it is normally, you can figure out your resting heart rate. Mine is kind of like low 60s, like 62. And if your resting uh-huh. heart rate is consistently higher than, like much higher, like if it goes from 62 to 77 for in the entire day, then uh-huh. that's indic- it's usually indicative that something is wrong. It doesn't have to be the coronavirus, but it's in- it, can, it can be a cold. It can be uh, other issues your body's having. Anytime your body's fighting uh, any kind of problem, it 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 can. It doesn't always, but it can go. You bring your heart rate up, and and I actually have found with myself like when i have a cold i notice that my heart rate goes from its normal 62 to like 77 80 82 and then it goes back down i've even seen it like over 100 at times since fighting a cold 
and then it goes back down. Well, it's great. It's you already know that. But, uh, I just want to uh, point this out for your listener. This this is a great thing to have. Uh, okay, my final topic, then I'm going to let, uh, let you go. My final topic is I'm happy Vegas had gradually had the most of the casino open. But that's one thing I violently disagree with the casino is that they should everybody make everybody wear masks. Yeah, I don't understand it. I, I I'm very surprised. I, I, I was very surprised when I saw when uh-huh. I saw the pictures coming out of there, and people sent me pictures of like a lot of people walking around with no masks, and I say, why is this allowed? Why not have a giant box of masks right at the door, and they stop everybody who doesn't have one on, and and just go here, take one. They, they, do, they, do, they don't make people uh, wear. Yeah. For example, you go to Costco in Vegas. They won't let you in. You don't wear a mask. Yeah, so they should do that. I don't understand why casinos don't do that. And my only theory as to why they are not forcing people to wear masks, even have to give it to them, I, I think the reason they don't want to is they they want people in there. They don't want people going, oh, I don't want to wear a mask. I don't want to walk around here with a mask. I hate having masks on. You know what? I'm just not going to go to the casino. Like I'm afraid they're, they're – they, I think they don't want people turning around and walking out saying, no, I'm not going to wear it. Forget it. I'll leave. They they want as many bodies in there as possible, making money back for them that they've been losing all this time. So they're willing to risk the public safety. Uh, it, it is believed that the masks are important because it seems like this is spread in a respiratory fashion for uh, like that's pretty much how it's spread. There's there's not much spread on surfaces according to the CDC right now. So if it's all respiratory, almost all respiratory, then the mask is very important. All the research so far is showing that the masks help. So I don't know why they're not requiring it, even if they can give it out. Why they're letting people walk around with no masks is crazy to me, and I agree with you. I, I, I think that there is matter a culture difference. American is such an individual life. We talk... We're in, uh, we talk to be individualized. I don't have to wear masks. I don't worry about other people, you know. That's way bad. In the Asia country, in Asia country, even right now, everybody has had to wear masks. In China, they arrest you. Uh, they arrest you. You go out, and they give you a warning first. Yeah, it, 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 is, it is, right. It's that, a different... That's why the... That's why some some most country Asia that they had this thing relative under control. Yeah, well, that's it, there's a very big cultural difference between the U.S. and other countries, especially the Asian countries in this way. But even even non-Asian countries, there really is and always has been a big stress, a big uh, belief in the U.S. about uh, individual rights and a, a general distrust of government. Even the U.S. was born from a distrust of yes. the British government. So there's the, the, the whole history of the country is uh, we don't completely trust the government. We trust ourselves more. And, and there's been benefits from that. And there's also been, uh, there's also downsides to it. And, and this, yeah. the, the, the coronavirus, yeah. the way that's the way people treat that is unfortunately one of the downsides. I'm not saying I want to live in a country where, uh, where everybody just trusts the government and is told what to do. Uh, but uh, I am saying that there there are downsides to where everybody has their own idea about what should be done, 
and and won't always go along with with what they're being told because it's very hard to get everybody on the same page and and something like this that can be a problem. So I, I agree that is a, a big factor there. So okay, thank you, Tyrone. Uh, so, and I appreciate your calls thank here. Thank you, thank you. You and I have lots of political difference, but however, you uh, you always thought about every subject with great thinking. I think that's good. That's one of the things I admire you about. Oh, thank you. Good. Bye. Okay. Bye, Tyrone. Okay, so we got a Tyrone call. You know, one of our listeners actually got offended that I called him uh, Chinese Tyrone in the in the description. I go, but, but that's what he is. He's a Chinese guy named Tyrone. It wasn't a, a slam of any type because people assume a guy named Tyrone is, is probably going to be a black guy. You don't think of a Chinese, an older Chinese guy being Tyrone. That's why I like. I wouldn't put black Tyrone if Tyrone was black because that would you'd assume he probably is. So, so putting that there would be weird. Chinese Tyrone is there because uh, it's something you don't expect. And I, I just, I, I don't, I put that that one description there uh, when when he last called in, but it, it was meant respectfully. I, I have uh, a lot of respect for Tyrone here. Okay, I want to continue the World Series of Poker discussion and move on to the whole duplicate IP address situation because th- this is where Caesars has a lot of potential fail, and this is where they might be hoping that they don't get a lot of people from out of town because they they have a limitation. Now keep in mind that Caesars has license they've bought software or re- they're, i guess they're licensing software from 888 the the com software is 888's older software not even their current software they they're basically borrowing a an older version that 888 developed for them for wcp.com back in 2013 and this has put a lot of limitations on and also they can't make their own custom modification, which is a problem. So people can't just say, hey, add this. They, they're like, uh, well, actually we can't. We can only do what 888 makes for us. I don't know if they have any agreement to have 888 make modifications for them. I don't know exactly what their licensing agreement is, but I know that this has been a limitation they've had to deal with. Why did they do this? Well, there were some good reasons for it. You, you immediately start with a mature software product that you know works, which, as we saw, didn't work out for uh, Ultimate Poker, which came out before WCP.com in Nevada and ultimately failed. Now, some of the failure was due to mismanagement, but some of the failure was also due to their software being an immature product that had a lot of bugs and a lack of features that they rushed to market. So at least 888, while the software isn't wonderful, at least it works. At least it has basic features. And it's a lot easier to get up and running. It's a turnkey solution as opposed to a custom solution that you're trying to create from scratch. So that's why they went with it. The downside is you have very little control over your own software, and it's very hard to add to it, very hard to modify, especially with the regulations regarding modifying software that has to be approved. And it just adds an additional difficult layer to modifying or adding anything. And that has somewhat handicapped WSOP.com. Did they make the right decision in hindsight? I don't know. But that was the decision they made. That's also why hiring Bill Reaney, who was a lifelong software manager, that's why hiring him to be the poker room manager was such a mistake. Because there wasn't much software to manage. The software was, it was already done. The software is provided by a third party. So there's not much to manage. So then he's put in charge to manage the whole room, and he doesn't know what he's doing. Because that, that wasn't his skill set. That wasn't what he was good at. 
and he was terrible at dealing with the public, as we've discussed before. So anyway, back to 888 and their software. Uh, in an attempt to prevent people from multi-accounting and uh, you know, playing two accounts at once, they put in a restriction that prevents people from sitting at the same table if they have the same IP address. And you might think, okay, that's a good idea. This way you can't have a person colluding with themselves with two computers. The problem comes when people have the same IP address. Now, how would they have the same IP address? Well, what if they're at the same hotel? At the same hotel, often everybody in the hotel has the same IP address. Why? Because you're connecting through the hotel internet, you're connecting through the hotel's internet system, which uh, then connects you to the outside. So you connect to their router first, and then their router's connected to the outside. It's kind of like visiting someone's home. Like, you know, if, if you visit your buddy's home, and you say, hey, what's the password to your router? He gives it to you. You and him are going to have the same IP address. So now let's say your buddy, instead of having a normal size home, let's say your buddy has uh, the biggest home to ever exist, and thousands of people come visit him. And he hands out the password to his router to all these thousands of people. They're all going to have the same IP address. So that's basically what happens at the hotel. Now, they don't all have the exact same IP address for every single person. They, they do – they may have uh, – I'm not going to get into the, the technical reasons for this, but there can be a few different uh, basic portals you're connecting through that to the guest, they can't tell the difference and that the IP is different. So you may not always have the same IP as everybody else in the hotel, but there's not going to be like a lot of IPs. Maybe instead of one IP for the whole hotel, it would be three IPs or five IPs. It, it, it's going to be nowhere near one per guest. It won't even be one per 100 guests. And often it's going to be just one IP for, the, for everybody connected at one time. So the IP can change over time if it's dynamically assigned, but that's, that doesn't help people who are connected at the same time. Like in this situation... Everybody at the Rio, for example, is probably going to get the same IP address, at least uh, in the hotel portion of the Rio. And if not all of them get the same IP, a lot of them will get the same IP. Maybe there's a few different ones, but there's not that many. So what you'll find sometimes if you're at the Rio trying to play WSOP.com cash games, if you try to sit at a table where somebody else is at the Rio also, it will give you an error message saying that someone is already at the table with your IP. That's not what they intended to do. They were trying to prevent people from playing under two accounts at once. But this had the unfortunate side effect of people uh, at the same hotel couldn't sit at the same table together, which is, of course, stupid, especially on a thing like WSB.com, where they try to encourage you to play from your room. And if most people are staying at the Rio or a lot of people are staying at the Rio, a lot of people are going to run into this. And I have run into this personally when I've tried to play cash at the Rio on WZP.com. Not every time, but I have a lot. I have been at the game, by the way, where there have been others at the Rio, so I believe there's more than one IP address there, but I also have had it where it won't let me sit. And it would say, sorry, you're not permitted to join this table. Another member with an identical IP address is currently playing at this table. That's the message I would get if I were to try to sit at a table, a cash table, with someone else at the Rio when I'm at the Rio myself. Not every time, but a lot of times. But fortunately, since I'm only a cash player online, this would only happen to me if I sat at a table with someone else at the Rio who's already there beforehand. 
So I was still able to play a good deal on WSOP.com without this happening. But what about tournaments? Tournaments are a different story. Because on the WSOP.com software, not only can't you be at the same table with someone who has the same IP as you, but you also can't play the same tournament as someone who has the same IP as you. That's a much larger group of people, wouldn't you say? So I'll sit at a six-max game. I just have to hope that none of the other five are at the Rio right now. But if you're in a tournament, imagine trying to register for a tournament where you have to be the first one in of everybody staying at the Rio. Good luck with that, right? Now, I don't know how they got around that at other w- online WSP events in the past because I didn't play them. But this just happened when someone attempted to play WSOP.com in a different tournament. They haven't started the online bracelet events, but this guy, uh, Anthony Patessa, who is on Twitter as at Patessa39, P-I-T-E-S-A 39, Anthony Patessa. I don't know him, but he tweeted, well, I wanted to play the $320 ring event, but someone beat me to it. Really hope this isn't an issue during bracelet events. Got to be hundreds coming in and staying at the same hotels. And he showed... Sorry, you are not permitted to join this tournament. Another member with an identical IP address is already playing at this tournament. He, it, it, you can see on his screen that there's 316 players in this tournament he wants to join, and it will not let him because there's one person staying at the same hotel that is already in the tournament. So that person has now just taken up the entire hotel's uh, allocation to getting into that tournament. Isn't that crazy? So can you imagine people come from all the way across the country to play these World Series of Poker events online and then they run into this? Can you imagine how mad you'd be if you came only for this reason and then you can't because one other person staying at the same hotel as you is is playing on there? And we haven't gotten any answers as to whether or not this is going to be disabled or fixed in some way by the time the WSOP starts online July 1st. We don't know. They haven't stated they're going to fix this. This is an ongoing problem that I've seen before. So I don't know if this is something that they're going to be able to fix. And 888 is not known to be swift with fixing anything in their software. And again, they need regulatory approval for these fixes to be done. So it's not a fast process. You can't just quickly remove this and say, okay, done. Unless they already have an existing way to remove this message from coming up for people then I can't see how they could fix this in time because it's, it's a process. It's a slow process. So I think even if they fixed it tomorrow, they wouldn't have enough time to get it approved. And they haven't commented. They haven't said, oh, yeah, yeah, that, don't worry, that's going to be off on July 1st. They may have already dealt with this. Maybe for the online events they dealt, but maybe they didn't. I don't know. I don't know. And we're not getting any answers. And that is a separate problem about there's nobody in charge. There is still nobody in charge. We don't know who the manager is of WSB.com. We don't. They don't make it public. We think it might be that Danielle Burreal, but she's very shy and she doesn't like the spotlight. She doesn't like publicity. You can watch this one video with her from August when she got some award and you could see she's, she really doesn't feel comfortable on camera. She doesn't like the spotlight being on her. You could tell that she might be a nice girl and she might be competent, but this is somebody who just doesn't like being the public face of anything. You can tell. 
And, and that's, that's why I think she hasn't come forward as the leader here. The problem is you can't lead something like this in the background. It needs a visible leader who can answer questions. There needs to be a visible manager you can go to and go, hey, uh, this is a concerning message. I don't want to travel all the way from Iowa to Las Vegas just to get this if I want to play these events. Can you promise me this isn't going to happen or tell me it is going to happen and I won't come? Like That's what a manager would do. If I was running WCB.com, I would jump right on this and I would either say, yeah, I'm sorry, this is a limitation we have. You may not want to come if you're afraid that's going to happen or you may want to stay somewhere you think there's not going to be many poker players or say – no, 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 don't worry. We've handled this. It's, it's something we turn off when the online bracelet events go. There's just nothing because there's nobody who's in charge. There's nobody who wants to say they're in charge and be the face of the site. Bill Reaney was, was, was the face of WZB.com. He, he was a crappy face. He was an ugly face at WZB.com. He was an incompetent face, but at least he was a face. He would hide from you, but at least he knew who was in charge. Here, nobody's in charge. I don't, I don't know if this is any better. It's, it's it's probably not worse, but it's it's. It, I don't think it's much better either. And I'm surprised in all the time that's passed since Bill Reedy left in September that here we are coming up in the online World Series and there's still no one visible in charge. And I don't know how this happens with a company as large as Caesars, with a brand as large as the WSOP, as WSOP which is important to them. Like, why doesn't someone run with this? Like Seth Polanski, he doesn't mind being the face of things and, and being uh, – he he doesn't take criticism that well, but he, at least he's he's willing to put his name and face to things that he says. He's, he's willing to lead, but he may not want to take on that responsibility. I, he, he does have involvement in WSB.com, by the way. He has uh, – that is part of his job, but he also wasn't running it. That was Bill's job, and since Bill left, it's not really clear who took over. But how, how hard could it be to find someone? If I was in Vegas, I'd volunteer. I'd say, fine, appoint me. I'll, I'll run it. Let me be the face. I, I will answer these questions. I will be the visible face. I will give people answers they want. I will look into customer service matters for them when nobody else will. Like, seriously, if, if I were there, I'd really suggest this. I'd really say, okay, hey, guys, would you like me to take this role? I'm not even joking. Like, I, I couldn't because I'm not in Nevada. But if I were there, if I was still living in Las Vegas, I would seriously, uh, I, I, I would email Seth and say, you may want to consider this because... You guys don't have a face. You need to have somebody who'd be willing to be the face. Like, I would be willing to be the face. I, I totally would. You guys know I would. But it's not just me. Like, I'm not the only person in the world who would do this. It, it shouldn't be too hard to find somebody who would be competent and willing to be the face and willing to weather the criticism aimed at the site without flipping out or being scared. It shouldn't be hard. Bill Reaney was passive-aggressive and, and afraid to con- he'd get insulted when people would bash the site or how he was running things. Even they did it in a polite manner, he found a way to get insulted, so he just tried to hide from it and block people and, 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 and ignore people. That, w- that was his style of management, which obviously was terrible. If this Danielle, if she's the one in charge, she just doesn't even want to take the title. She likes to work behind the scenes and, and just do her job in peace and not have anyone not have any eyeballs on her. Which is fine. I'm not even criticizing her. Like, everybody's different. I don't criticize those who like to just kind of be in the background and not be in the spotlight and not be potentially on the firing lines. I'm used to it because I, I, I run a site like Poker Fraud Alert where it's a free speech sort of community. And people bash me all the time. And I also inject myself into controversies going on and say controversial things myself. 
So I'm used to criticism. I'm used to people bashing me. I'm used to people criticizing me. So that's why that job would not faze me. But I know not everybody is me. But it shouldn't be that hard to find somebody who is just willing to be the face and willing to take on the job and not to get insulted when people offer constructive criticism. Somehow that's a great challenge for Caesars, and I don't know why. But that's what they need. And I I just don't understand why they're not filling that position. And no, filling the position and hiding the person is not filling it. The position is to be the face of the site, to be a visible manager who people can contact and ask questions to. And they just don't have that. And if you don't agree with me, tell me who it is. Really, seriously, tell me who it is. Text me. T- tell me who it is. Who is the visible face of WSB.com right now? Who do you go to with concerns? Tell me. Tell me what the person's name is. Not who we're guessing it might be. Who, who, who has said this is them? Nobody. We're going to move on. We're going to read some texts here um, from the 480. The issue with WSB and the IP issue may be much easier to fix. I know the poker apps like PPP and Poker Bros and such, as well as Intera Software, which is in development and used on seals with clubs, has the ability to turn off blocks for IP and geolocation to keep folks within the same IP or close from being at the same table, cash or tournament. I'm wondering if they have the same settings on that software. Yeah, you might. I, I said that before. Like They may have those settings. And maybe they can just turn them off. But this is why a face of the site would be useful. A manager should come forward and say, oh, guys, don't worry about that. We're going to turn that off on July 1st. Problem solved. That's over. And you think, and you think, Drew, that's like the one stable job in Vegas right now. You know, you think somebody would step up and like want to take the bit of job security. Yeah. When no one else in Vegas does. It's a good job. I think it probably pays fairly well. And I I don't think it's all that hard. And uh, like, yeah, you have to have a certain, uh, you have to have a certain skill. Say you have to understand poker. You have to understand the software. You have to understand online poker. You have to understand uh, what the community wants. You have to have a thick skin. You have to understand the way you interact on social media. But that's not super hard to find. I mean, I, I would like to say I'm the only guy in the world who could do a good job at that, but I'm not that arrogant. I know I'm not. There's like tons of people in Vegas who could. Tons. But they, I don't know why they're not finding them. It's, it's just weird to me. Okay, let's, uh, let's see here. Uh, from the 765, uh, WSP.com has run a Limit Hold'em tournament before, so I'm not sure why no bracelet event. Yeah, that's what I thought. Like if they can run an 08 event, I would think they could run a limit hold'em event. So they they've had, they've had one before. See, that's just stupid. That, that's just plain stupid. Why why not throw a limit hold'em event in there? You have 27 out of 31 no limit. You you can't throw in one that's limit. Okay, let's see what else we got. Nice interview. This is from 702. Nice interview. Just I, I'm not sure which interview he's talking about. Maybe the uh, the Dutch interview. Just mentioning possible. I get heated up. I call my hooks in Minneapolis. The guy tells me Possel probably laying low in Wisconsin. He knows him. I think the World Series of Poker.com in 2021 is at the Rio. Good show. I'm with you. I'm a no-show if it's in October. I think in 2021 they probably will have it in the summer. But who knows? We could be just really slow with getting coronavirus under control. Like, honestly, if, if it doesn't disappear on its own and the vaccine isn't like really effective then we could still be dealing with a lot of the same a year from now. I hope not, but it's possible. You can't just say, oh, in summer of 2021, everything will be fine. I, w- I wish we could say that. It may not be the truth. It also may be the truth. Just too hard to tell right now. From the 216, just walked into my house after a week of staying at MGM, would be happy to share my trip report. And I just realized something. I realized I forgot to call Jay Jammy. I got so into doing everything else. 
going to text Jay Jammy and see if he's still awake. Uh, Jay Jammy is, uh, he's in his mid-50s, and he uh, went to Las Vegas. He lives in California. I think he lives uh, kind of in the mountains. I think he's more towards uh, Yosemite in the mountains there. But he's been a member of this site from the beginning. He once did uh, a co-hosting with me. He almost won a bracelet in Limit Hold'em. Didn't, but came very, very, very close. He came in second, by the way. That's how close he came. So he's mainly a Limit Hold'em player. Uh, he comes to the World Series every year. I sometimes see him there. And uh, he likes Limit Hold'em. He went to Las Vegas. He's not a professional poker player, by the way. He, he was once an attorney. Now he does something else, I think, involving the uh, legalized marijuana industry. But he, he's still a, a recreational poker player and, uh, and gambler. So he went to Las Vegas during the reopening. I'm not sure exactly what the purpose of the trip was. That's the one thing I'm kind of unclear about, like what he was expecting going there versus what he saw. I will say that what he found wasn't surprising to me, but I still think it's interesting. And as soon as I read it, I said, I'm going to read this on the show. I always like when people go and give trip reports. I always like when we get to read about people's firsthand experiences. I find that very interesting, especially about something that we might be curious about. But even if not, even just like you go to Vegas and you want to tell us about what happened there, even if it wasn't like super interesting. I'm always interested in reading about others' experiences. But he posted about a trip he took to Vegas. He first went to the ancient bristlecone forest. Trader Risky, are you familiar with what that is? I know what it is, but have you heard of it before? I have no clue. Okay. I only know about it because I pass by a sign whenever I drive to or from Mammoth. From L.A. to Mammoth. At one point, you will pass a sign, much closer to Mammoth in L.A., uh, ancient bristlecone forest this way. But it's not like right off the road. You've got to drive a good deal. I, I went to go look it up because it sounded interesting. Okay, well, I want to see this ancient bristlecone forest. But then I saw it was like an hour away. And I thought, okay, well, I'd like to do this sometime. But the problem is the drive to and from Mammoth is like five hours. So it's kind of hard to get yourself to, to go do it. Either way, like you're going there and you're getting fairly close to Mammoth. Do you really want to do a two-hour detour of more driving just to see an ancient bristlecone forest? And on the way back, do you really want to start out with a two-hour detour and have so much of a, of a long drive back? And then there's also the matter of whether it's a good time of year to go there and whether uh, it's, it's too cold. or there's, there's other factors and also whether it's dark or light during the winter. The days are pretty short, so you don't have that much time to get there. So anyway, I, it's one of these things I've meant to go see. It's in central California towards the east. It's kind of uh, like northeast of Bishop. And you're really not passing by unless you happen to be driving between like Bishop and Las Vegas, which isn't a, a very popular route. There just aren't many people who are driving between Bishop and Las Vegas. So for whatever reason... He went to the ancient Bristlecone Forest and uh, decided to hike there, which, as I said, I, that, that by itself I would like to do, just a matter of taking the detour to do it. But I'm curious about that, too. So he went to the Bristlecone Forest, and I don't know if he just decided on the fly to do it or this is part of his plan, but he then drove the four hours from where the Bristlecone Forest is to get to Las Vegas. So he says, 
pulled into town at 10 p.m. This is after leaving the Bristlecone Forest. Yeah, he, he said he has company and he can't come on, so I'm going to have to speak for him. He said, I pulled into town at 10 p.m. I'm a diamond, no comp at Caesars, so Harris it is. I just want to point out, by the way, people often think that, I don't know if he thinks this, but I'm just saying in general, people often think that your tier level dictates what comps you're going to get. That's not true. It used to be that seven stars got you an automatic comp, but that, those days are over. So the comps you get are based upon your recent and semi-recent play, not your tier status. So there's there's gold members, the bottom tier, that are getting comp rooms, and seven stars are not getting comp rooms, based on how they've been playing. It has nothing to do with what your tier status is. Now, Diamond does get you out of the resort fees, so that's good. But he said, I'm a Diamond, no comp room at Caesars, so Harrah's it is. So apparently he got a comp room at Harrah's, and of course he pays no resort fee being a Diamond, so he decided to take his free room at Harrah's. That's fine, because easy access to my car. I was there to shop for sporting goods and clothes. I hate shopping. Vacant malls where I can get in and out quickly and good deals in the back uh, on backlog inventory. Perfect. See, I still don't understand he went all the way to Vegas to shop, but okay. Free parking now. Remember, they were charging for parking, which he wouldn't have to pay anyway. As a diamond, he would get parking free, but he said free parking for everyone. They temp-screened me that is if he has a fever, at check-in, no maid service, walked over to the Venetian to eat, crowd about the side of an, the size of an off-season weekday. Weird. Half-wearing masks, even when walking around, no cars on the strip to speak of, crowd small enough to easily social distance. He's talking about the Venetian now. So he walked over there, had a meal, and, and it wasn't like way empty, but it wasn't crowded at all. He was basically saying it's like uh, a, a normal year on like a Wednesday when it wasn't a holiday period. At the Venetian, they were temp screening everyone at the entrances and offering masks. They had people wiping down the escalator rails. Clearly, they were taking more stringent sanitary measures than Caesars. They even installed partitions between the bathroom wash basins. The poker room was full. Five-handed, one three and two five no limit hold'em. Waiting list of thirty people for each. Wait list for ten twenty was only one though. So he said, if you want to get in ten twenty, it's a short wait. But uh, one two or two five, you're going to be waiting thirty people deep. Wow. Now it doesn't help that tables are five-handed. That lowers capacity by a good deal. They had a one two PLO as well. Not every player was wearing a mask, but most were. Many familiar faces in the room, and that's not a good thing. Games running at Orleans and South Point as well. Eight at Noodle Asia, half the usual tables. Most of the better rip, most of the better strip restaurants are closed, maybe for good. Most bars too. In and out at the link is open. Went the next night at 11 p.m. No line. A half hour of video poker and a margarita, and it was bedtime for the old man. And then he's saying the casinos that are open win. Venetian, Treasure Island, Harrah's, Flamingo, Caesars, Bellagio, New York, New York, Excalibur. Though there's no Laurel Lounges, formerly known as the Diamond Lounges, at Caesars Open. So no scamming free food for me. And he's, he's not really scamming, he's referring to. He, just, he would just go into these lounges to eat the free food and leave. Which is fine. That's his right to do with a diamond. I saw very few players flying into McCarran. My room had a view of the tarmac. Traffic was fairly steady coming from L.A. on my way home, so I'm thinking most tourists are from Southern California. That is correct. That is where they are from. 
that's always true of Vegas, that uh, they have a very large contingent coming from Southern California, but right now more than ever because people still aren't that comfortable with flying. People are still kind of like, eh, I don't know if flying safe because because of the recirculated air thing. Like People, especially with the fear of, of catching the coronavirus through respiratory means, people are very afraid of recirculated air, which happens on planes. So people are much more willing to drive than to fly. So that makes sense that it's very Southern California heavy. I know somebody else who listens to the show I mentioned last week that went to the reopening on the day of the reopening, and they told me the traffic was actually fairly heavy. So a lot of people coming in from Southern California looks like not mel- not much from elsewhere. They probably are getting a fair number also from Phoenix and from San Diego also, which are similar drives to Las Vegas. Dispensaries, referring to marijuana dispensaries, open. Don't know about the strip clubs. Last one I went to was Glitter Gulch in like 2000, so that pretty much dates me. <laughs> I guess uh, Jajami lost his desire to go to strip clubs 20 years ago. Would I come back soon? That's referring to Vegas, not the strip clubs. Probably not. Just because there isn't much to do. I don't get the impression that the risk of contracting the virus is any worse or better here, though. So that was his trip report. So what did we learn from this? Well, we learned a lot of things. We learned about the size of the crowds, that some people wear masks, some don't, that the Venetian seems a lot more vigilant about uh, keeping everything clean and sanitary compared to Caesars, which doesn't surprise me that uh, a lot of the good strip restaurants are still closed and that they have done away with the parking fees, at least for the moment, that he's not sh- sure about the strip clubs. I'm not sure about them either. In fact, I'm going I'm to look this up right now. He made, he made me curious. Look at the strip clubs in Las Vegas if they are open. I'm, I'm really curious since the reopening as to whether or not these reopen. Here's an article on Fox News. I don't know if this is about strip clubs in general or about uh, Las Vegas. Here's the part about Las Vegas. It says, to that end, one of Deja Vu's clubs in Las Vegas, Little Darlings, which I've seen before, never been in there, is advertising coronavirus-free lap dances to lure customers. How do they know that, though? Is that a guarantee? Which are just normal lap dances, albeit performed by dancers that have undergone temperature checks upon arriving at work. Yeah, that's helpful. <laughs> just because they don't have a fever doesn't mean they don't have the coronavirus. The club also jokingly teases nude hand sanitizer wrestling performed in no- normal lubricant, not in hand sanitizer. Yeah, I see the there's a picture of the sign, nude hand sanitizer wrestling. They should do that. They should really have nude ha- hand sanitizer wrestling. Instead, they just do it and claim that's what it is. That's kind of false advertising, isn't it? Maybe people want to see that. Maybe people have a fetish for hand sanitizer wrestling. So I guess they're open. I guess they're open if they have this hand sanitizer wrestling and if they have the coronavirus-free lap dances. I really wonder if you could sue them if you got a coronavirus-free lap dance and it turned out that the girl actually had the coronavirus and you caught it from there. The problem is proving that's where you got it from. But if you could prove that the girl had it at the time, and then you got it, maybe you'd have a case. I have not been to a strip club in a long time. I have not been to many strip clubs in my life. I have been to a few. Have I ever gotten a lap dance in a back room or any room? Have I ever had a lap dance in my life? The answer is a big fat no. 
I have not. So I, I really have not uh, had a lot of experience at strip clubs. And I'll tell you the reason why I haven't is that uh, for me, if if a girl is uh, – if if I know she's not into me, like anything sexual just doesn't do much for me if I know she's just doing it as as a job. Like it's hard for me to be turned on if I know that's what's really motivating the whole thing. If I know there's like zero interest in and I could really literally be anyone who's willing to pay the same thing and the girl will be doing the same thing. That is kind of a killer to me. So I, I just don't get much out of it. If people are going together like in a group, like that's when I've gone. I've never just gone myself. If there's like a group of people like, hey, let's go to the strip club. Like I won't say, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to go. Like I, that, That's when I've gone. I've gone with people who've expressed an interest to go anyway. So that's why I've been to a few, but not that many. And I, th- I think he covered it pretty well as far as what to expect if you go there. There's just not a whole lot you can do just yet there. A lot of things are still closed. A lot of things are still restricted. So if you want to gamble, yeah. If you want to play five-handed poker and don't mind a long waiting list, yeah. But a lot of the restaurants are closed. I I think the shows are closed. I think uh, there's a lot of things that you may otherwise want to do there are closed. I know the pools are open. In fact, I found on Twitter... They have Swim Up Blackjack open again at Caesars. And you have to pay $20 to enter the pool unless you're staying there, in which case it's free. But it's also 6 to 5 Blackjack, of course. So Swim Up Blackjack is a thing again. and The, the marketing picture or little video, one of the pictures, a video, the marketing video they used to promote this was not very good. <laughs> they should have set one up. Instead, it looks like they actually took a video of actual Swim Up Blackjack going on. So who do you think was playing? You think it was... uh, Here, I'm I'm playing it here. I might as well turn the volume down because it's not really of use. I'm playing it here. You can see this in in the thread JJammy started on the Flying Stupidity Forum. If you start the video, it starts off just pointing at the pool and then panning upwards to where you can see people playing at Swim Up Blackjack. Swim Up Blackjack is basically... It's a pool where... At the edges of the pool, all around it, there's like a center of the pool that is dry, that there's no water in, and that's where the blackjack table are. So you swim up to that, and you can sit there on a little bench inside the pool, or a little seat, actually, not really a bench, and then play blackjack. Now, where the dealers are standing, it's dry. They're not in a swimsuit. And presumably, they can walk out of there in some way without having to go through the pool. But you're swimming, you're really swimming up to it. What I don't understand is how you get chips and how you carry money. Like, are you going to be pulling out, like, $100 bills from your pocket? You're swimming and you're going to be handing them soggy $100 bills. I don't quite understand how that works, but somehow somehow you get it done. Maybe you can buy it through your room in some way. I, I don't know how they're getting chips. But um, you, you can uh, play regular blackjack there in the pool, which I don't really see the point of that. But I can understand the point of going in the pool when you go to Las Vegas and I can understand the point of playing blackjack, but I don't see why you'd combine these two. It's, it's something which on the surface might sound cool, but then you think about it and go, why would I want to do that? Why is that interesting? Why, why is it fun to play blackjack in a pool? Why not swim first and then play blackjack 
when you're dry. Do you really have to do these at the same time? It doesn't enhance blackjack at all. It's not like uh, this is a way to play blackjack. It's not like the game's any different. The blackjack's right there inside, so why not just finish swimming and go play? But nevertheless, that exists. It's in what's known as the Fortuna Pool, which is the pool for guests who are 21 and over. That's why there's gambling there. But the the funny thing about this little video is that the people playing are not very attractive. It's like these fat middle-aged guys with their shirts off and their bellies hanging out. They, they could have come up with a better marketing video here. I know that's really what you're going to go see. If you think about who's going to be playing Swim with Blackjack, it probably is going to be fat middle-aged guys. But that doesn't make a very good marketing video. You don't go, oh, wow, this looks cool. I, I can't wait to go into the Fortuna pool and sit next to middle-aged guys with their big belly hanging out, with their shirts off. I can't wait to sit next to these dudes and play blackjack with them. Like I can't, many, I can't imagine many people seeing this scene and wanting to go there. Shaniac, Shane Schlager, posted on Twitter in response to this, this was gross even before Corona. <laughs> and he's right. <laughs> I never had a desire to do this. I think it's just like a gimmick. I think it's just like a gimmick to say you played blackjack while you were swimming. But that's open. And then there's the coronavirus concern. Like, it's possible that the chlorine in the pool kills the virus. It just kind of, it's one of these things that kind of feels dangerous, even if it isn't. Like, part of me would be afraid to go in a public pool right now, even if everybody stayed away from me. It would just kind of feel weird to get in the water with strangers with the coronavirus going on. Unless I really knew for certain that the Chlorine really is killing the virus. And none of these guys have masks on. And that, of course, that's the problem, too. Is it, No one's going to wear a mask while they're going swimming. And get the mask all wet. So, like, I don't see anybody with a mask there except the dealers. That, that's, that's actually where the real danger is. It's not so much being in the pool. It's that everybody at the table with you has no mask on. And these are, like, four-handed tables, it, it seems. And, in fact, these it looks like they already were four-handed tables. It wasn't about the coronavirus. It looks like that they're smaller tables because it's attached to a pool. Trey Ruski, have you ever done Swim Up Blackjack? Cannot say that I have. Would you want to? I can't to? believe it's open now, though. Would you ever want to, independent of the coronavirus, would you ever want to do this? Uh, no. No, I don't I don't either. I have, like, no desire to do it. It's just one of these things that just doesn't mix for me. So, sometimes doing two things at the same time, which aren't normally associated, can seem cool. But playing blackjack isn't one of them. Like, I'll tell you something that does seem cool. And and I do. And that is getting online from an airplane. Why? Because there's, there's a purpose to it. Even if you don't have any serious work to do, just the fact that you can go browse the internet when you're up on the plane, and it passes the time, too, that's cool. I like that. I do that whenever I can. It, it makes flights a lot more pleasant that I can go on the internet. I've even played online poker from the air. I don't do that anymore, but I was I, I was ballsy one time and actually played online poker from the air. And believe it or not, I got no disconnects. I got lucky there. That's why I wouldn't do it again. Like, Bovada has enough disconnects when I'm at home. I don't need to add a plane to that. But I have played online poker in the air before. And yeah, that I could see the novelty of that being interesting and fun, but I don't know. The pool thing seems unappealing. It's not like terrible, but I, I kind of think, why? Like, I'll just play blackjack later. I still don't understand the money thing. All right. I have a report from a 
poster on uh, Poker Fraud Alert in the Scam Scandals and Shadiness portion of the forum. And it's about a site called Virtual Poker. Or Virtue Poker, not Virtual. Virtue Poker. And uh, this is from a guy named Crypto Ninja. I don't really know him. He registered about two and a half years ago. He only has uh, 24 posts. This is what he posted on Poker Fraud Alert. Virtue Poker owes a bunch of its beta testers, is what the thread is called. They have been jerking a bunch of people around, making them wait several months, and then have to complete Know Your Customer forms. Why? Some have never received a Know Your Customer request and get no response from support, including my elderly mother, who I warned not to play, but she misses gambling. Lots of people uh, put in a lot of time as beta testers and say they have not been paid. Class action, maybe? Can anyone suggest an attorney? I feel especially bad for the investors who keep getting the runaround as well about when certain things will roll out. Supposedly, they have Ivy and Rast as pros. Yeah, Brian Rast has been part of some other shady sites that have run in the past that uh, failed and screwed people. Like that, uh, I think the World Series uh, School of Poker or something that wasn't really associated with the World Series, but was able to license out some agreement and screwed people. I remember Brian Rast is part of that. Kind of seems like he'll just sign his name to anything. Software is total crap. You can win a hand and then it's suddenly canceled. What? Canceled? I've never heard of that before. Totally not ready. This platform will be a complete failure. Any ideas? Pretty scummy not to pay people that honestly provided you with a service. I'm not sure what he's talking about with his elderly mother. I don't know what she has to do with it, unless she's like a beta tester too. But he is saying that he put a lot of time as a beta tester of this new poker site called Virtue Poker. And that, uh, number one, the software sucks. And that, number two, they promised to pay the beta testers and they just haven't paid them and they're stalling them in various ways. That's what Crypto Ninja is claiming. So I said, uh, where did you get this info? Any article you can link us to? Now, I knew he was talking about himself, but I thought maybe there, there's somewhere that is saying this that I could independently verify. Because I don't know Crypto Ninja. I'm not saying I think he's lying. If I had to guess, I'd say he's telling the truth. So don't, I mean, take it with a small grain of salt, but really, why would he make this up? I think it's probably true. But no verification, so that's why I asked that. So he said, no article has been written on this. I participated in Beta 1, and it was such a shit show, I was done with it. Told my mom about it, she wanted to play Beta 2, so I set it up for her. She also played in Beta 3 ongoing, but now has stopped because she feels scammed and the software is so bad. Like I mentioned above, hands getting canceled, etc., her emails to support get no response. They owe her one Ethereum, that's a cryptocurrency, and somewhere around 15K of their token VPP. I'm not sure what that is. Other people on Twitter have posted similar stories. Search Virtue Poker Scam and you'll find them. Also, lots of complaints about difficulty passing Know Your Customer in their Telegram. I think you can still get in on Beta, th- beta 3 if you want to check it out for yourself. <laughs> After hearing this trade risk, you want to sign up for Beta 3? Does that sound like something you want to do? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Maybe you can get your mom to do it. This I, did play on, I did play on this. I uh, forgot to tell you the other day. Oh, God. Well, it was an app like poker with three R's or something. Yeah, that's what it is. Poker with three R's. Have you seen that app? Drive? No, I've never seen that. Yeah, it wasn't bad. 
was my friend who's like in the insurance in the uh, advertising industry. I guess all their they had a game, so I took his spot, and it's not bad. You play through the app. It's poker with three R's. Hmm. It was just to win like a bottle of booze. It wasn't like a cash game or people putting up money. Hmm. Okay, but uh, yeah, but I thought the interface was good. Yeah, I mean, some of these apps have decent software. I just you have to trust the person who's running yeah. it. Now, if you're just playing for small money or just uh, for some little prize or whatever, just for fun, then it's no big deal. In fact, believe it or not, I'm actually considering playing on an app, not for serious money, but there's a guy I got to know through one of the previous radio shows uh, that I've known for about 10 years now. We talk sometimes. He listens to the show, and uh, he's, he's got some poker playing. He lives in Chicago. He's got some friends in Chicago that play poker, too, that I occasionally uh, like, someone else should be playing live, and some guy will say, hey, you know such and such? I'm his friend. So, like, uh, uh, people introduce themselves as friends of his. And, and, and this guy's a good guy. I've known him for 10 years. And so, there, there's some app they're playing on that I was invited to, and it's for, like, relatively low limits. So, and, and the guy running the club was someone who played higher limits at the World Series last year and that he vouches for. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'll take the chance for something small like that if I'm bored. But uh, for, like, big money, I, I wouldn't want to do it still, even if I trusted the person running it. Anyway, uh, Kev Math showed up in the thread and posted a little link that was interesting about Virtue Poker. This is from Virtue Poker's site. And at the very end of this, when you hear... Who wrote this update? You might be surprised. It might be a name you recognize. So June 8th, 2020, which is now uh, five days ago, update on upcoming final tables. As most of you know, we have been challenged the past few months because of how long game security reviews have taken. Maybe that's that know your customer thing he's talking about. We intended to have all the game security reviews complete within two weeks after the beta two promotion ended, but some of those reviews are still in progress. There are many factors that contributed to this delay, including COVID-19. Ah, I, I see. I love that. I love, the, I love when companies screw things up, and that's the new thing they can blame. Now they even have another thing they can blame. They can blame the social unrest going on, that that delayed thing too. Like the, the, only, the only company I believe about this when things get delayed is Target. Like my, some of my Target orders got delayed. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll give you guys a pass on this one. I, I see Target has had some problems the last two weeks. But every other company says, oh, COVID-19. And I go, okay, I'm not sure if I believe you because that's that's a go-to excuse. But they're, they're saying uh, there are many factors that, that contributed to this delay, including COVID-19. They're saying that wasn't the only factor, by, of course. But the bottom line is that we have experienced more fraud than we expected. We feel like we owe it to you to ensure that the hours you have spent trying to win prizes were spent in a fair competition. We are encounter, encountering similar issues in the game security reviews for our two sit-and-go promotions. Ivy's Table and the Sit and Go World Series. To ensure that we can do a full check on all potential winners, we are moving both final tables back. We need to confirm that the date that Phil Ivy will be available for this final table. I guess there's some final table where you can where Ivy's guaranteed to be there. Once his date is confirmed, we will be able to confirm the dates for both of these final tables. I can tell you from reading this this little update here that this really is a shit show, like this crypto ninja saying. Just from this update, it's full of excuses. It really sounds like they don't know what they're doing. So who wrote that update? The name of the person who wrote that update is one Dan Goldman. I know that name. Trey Daruski, have you heard the name Dan Goldman before? Yeah, I've heard of it. Is he a poker player or have I heard it somewhere else? 
he has to do with poker. I don't know if he plays. He's he's someone who has uh, a connection to poker for sure, to online poker. I, I can tell you, Dan Goldman is best known as someone who was high up on the Poker Stars chain, original Poker Stars. He was a, a big uh, marketer for Poker Stars. In fact, he was the chief marketing officer for over five years. He worked from 02 to 07 as the chief marketing officer at Poker Stars. I'm not sure why he left in 07, but uh, I saw his name all the time back then. These are the years of the poker boom through April 07. Then he moved on to a number of other jobs that were not as high profile. VCAT LLC, Executive Vice President of Internet Gaming, I don't know what that is. He was there for six years in San Diego. Then uh, Playvig, haven't heard of them, but uh, he was uh, COO there for two years from 2015 to 2017. And now he's with Virtue Poker since January 2018 as, again, Chief Marketing Officer. He describes Virtue Poker, in case you wonder what that is. Virtue Poker is a decentralized online poker system built on the Ethereum blockchain. It solves two critical problems faced by all online poker companies. Security of funds and game security. Well, it sounds like it's not solving game security. It sounds like something that's been a disaster there. If that's what's screwing everything up, then apparently this doesn't solve very much. Now, I don't know what they mean by it's built on the Ethereum blockchain. I knew Virtue Poker had something to do with cryptocurrency. It's not surprising that a guy who goes by Crypto Ninja plays on there. It was one of the beta testers. But that's... I'm not sure what they mean by it's on the Ethereum backbone, but I knew it had something to do with that, and Ivy's involved. I never really looked much into it. If you go to VirtuePoker.com, it forwards you to Virtue.Poker. And then the very first thing you see there on the screen is Ivy's table in big print, and you see Ivy playing with a Virtue Poker hat on. The funny thing is, it shows Ivy with a short stack. I mean, should it be that hard to find Phil Ivey with a lot of chips in front of him? Is it hard to come up with a picture like that? I thought Ivey frequently has a lot of chips in front of him. I thought Ivey's done very well in poker tournaments. Even if he wasn't wearing the Virtue Poker hat at the time, maybe Photoshop one on him. That shouldn't be too hard, and if he's signed on for that, then that's fine. But instead they show up with a short stack, he's got like a few a few yellow chips in the picture, and that's it. It's like a, It looks like a World Series picture, but he, he hardly has any chips. Uh, okay, so he's, that's on the front. If you go to virtue.poker, you can see that. It says, Virtue Poker has launched the Ivy's Table campaign where players can compete in the Virtue Poker beta for five seats at a final table to play against Phil Ivy himself. Click the download button below for a chance to play with Phil Ivy. So let's click on, I'm not going to download it, but let me click on how it works. How it works. Our solution. Virtue Poker uses the unique features of the blockchain technology in conjunction with peer-to-peer networking and advanced cryptography to provide a safe, honest environment for online poker. Peer-to-peer shuffling protects the deck. One of the most important questions online pokers at, uh, uh, questions players ask about online poker is, is it safe? How do I know no one has hacked the deck? Well, that's actually not one of the most important questions. So far, we have not seen any instances of the deck being hacked since the very, very early days, like on Planet Poker. All these scandals we're having are not about the deck being hacked. They're about uh, either super users within the site who actually work for the site that screw people, like UB and AP, 
We have just outright theft of the money, which occurs a lot. That's what, probably the biggest problem, the biggest risk you're taking, that you're just not going to get paid. And then we've had some where users screw each other, where, where one user tricks the other into installing some sort of uh, Trojan program or keylogger on their computer, and then uh, the person who tricked them gets to see their cards or hacks their account and dumps their chips. That's another danger you can face. And then there's also the danger of uh, being wrongfully accused of cheating and having your funds locked up when you didn't do anything wrong. Okay, so those are dangers that there exists for online poker. The biggest, of course, being that you just don't get paid. The shuffling, the shuffle being hacked, while I guess a concern is, is pretty low on the list at this point. Because it's not that hard to put together a good shuffle. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's not. that's not the biggest challenge to online poker today. That's not the biggest concern today. But let's go on. Virtue Poker distributes the shuffling process among all players at the table, as shown in the diagram below. Each player's app shuffles the deck and applies a layer of encryption. Once the deck is thoroughly shuffled and encrypted, the hand is dealt, and the players exchange encryption keys so everyone can see their hands. Since there's no server where the, the completes the, the un, where the complete unencrypted deck resides, a hacker would have to crack encryption on each player's computer separately. I mean, okay, but you're solving a non-problem. Like this is great, but it's it's kind of like uh, saying your house is totally secure because your front door and your front door only is bolted up very tight and has uh, reinforced metal that nobody can kick through. Like, okay, great, so nobody can break in through your front door, but what about your back door? What about what about all the other vulnerabilities in your house? Like, just, just a really secure front door will not make your house secure. That's kind of what this seems like to me. Your wallet and the side chain protect your funds. When you play online poker, you typically make a deposit, which means you're sending your money to the site to hold for you. If the site is trustworthy, that's fine, but online poker sites have proved to be less than trustworthy in the past. In the Virtue Poker system, your funds are always safe. Instead of depositing funds, you simply transfer Ethereum or tokens from your wallet to your Virtue, Virtue Poker sidechain. The funds are locked in the sidechain while they're managed by a smart contract. When you win, you simply move the Ethereum or tokens back to your wallet. You're always in control. Okay. Um, like, I guess that's good. I guess it's kind of like instant deposits and cash outs. I don't know how fast this is. There, there could be some wait time here in doing this, especially the buy-in part. When you're cashing out, you don't care as much if it takes a little time, but uh, buying in can be slow. I, they don't address that there, and I don't know enough about Ethereum to say how fast it is. Okay, I mean, that's good, but if they're having trouble pay, paying their beta testers, then that doesn't speak very well for the rest of all this. Then they're talking about the VPP tokens, that's Virtual Player Point Tokens, Virtue Poker conducted a token sale in May of 2018 where we sold 100 million tokens at the price of 4,000 VPPs equals one Ethereum. These VPPs have three utilities in the Virtue Poker network. So wait, wait a minute. They, they sold 100 million tokens. Are they saying they sold 100 million where 4,000 equals one Ethereum? Okay, that's not, that doesn't sound like very much. <laughs> so let, let's, let's do the math here. So it looks like 25,000 Ethereum is $5.9 million approximately. It's okay. It's a decent sum of money. I mean, it's not like a huge site, but that's... If they really raised almost $6 million doing this, that, that's pretty impressive. I don't know if that's what they really did. I don't know where they got this. For, like, who was dumb enough to buy into this? <laughs> but 
if they did, and great, I guess. And then they say that uh, these VPPs, you can use uh, stake and earn fees. The Virtue Poker Service employs what we call justices as table referees and validators. What? Any player who holds sufficient VPPs may apply to stake VPPs as a, a justice in exchange for fees. I, I don't know what they mean by that. That's confusing. Play in VPP-denominated games. The Virtue Poker system includes games denominated in both VPPs and Ethereum. Okay, so I guess – see, I don't understand this here. They have the tokens, and you can actually play for Ethereum directly. Is that what they're saying here? And then play in special tournaments. We will conduct special tournaments that are only for virtual poker, uh, virtue poker token holders. So, okay, I see what they're trying to do here. It's kind of like a, a cryptocurrency-based poker site with some little twists to it. Like, there are other cryptocurrency poker sites, like SEALs, where it's just very simple. You just buy in using cryptocurrency and cash out using cryptocurrency. Here they're taking it a step further and, and kind of incorporating it somewhat into the site. And then they have a little pie chart there where they're showing, uh, let's see, virtual poker tokens are not listed on exchanges and are locked, not tradable, until the service launches on the Ethereum mainnet. And then they show how the tokens are distributed. So 20% are early adopters who bought the tokens. Uh, faced, 20% are public tokens, uh, a, pub- a public launch token sale. 17.2% are founders and team members. 20% are reserves. That It's not clear what they're going to do with them. 4% are advisors, whoever those are, and 18.8% are strategic partnerships. Yeah, like, I don't know. I'm not going to try to figure all this out right now, and there's no point, but this is one of these things. If you read this, you go, wow, some really smart people put this together. Like, you read this, and you go, wow, this is this seems innovative. This seems kind of cool. I don't quite understand it all. I don't quite know exactly what they're going for, but, but uh, yeah, this seems kind of cool. This seems like uh, maybe it's something innovative. And it seems like it's put together by people who really thought of everything. And then you compare this to the post that Crypto Ninja made, and you see they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> and it's so funny because this is so common in poker that people think running a poker site is simple and trivial, and they don't think of everything. They think they thought of everything, but they don't. And they don't have much experience. And even marketers like Dan Goldman, who I believe he's probably very good at marketing. Look how well PokerStars marketed itself during those years from when he was there. He was the chief marketing officer. Obviously, he did a good job. But just because you were a very good marketer with PokerStars doesn't mean that uh, you're good at running something like this. And this isn't his site. He's the chief marketing officer there. But whoever's in charge there obviously has some issues. Obviously, he doesn't really exactly know what they're doing, if this report from Crypto Ninja is correct. I also wonder about the legality here. Like, the, I thought SEALs already got in trouble for what they were doing. So how is this much different? You're still gambling for cryptocurrency. I presume you can play from the U.S. So that's, that's another question. So I see what the problem is here. He's, he's complaining that you have to complete this know-your-customer thing in order to get paid for being a beta tester and that there's a big-ass backlog, apparently, of know-your-customer requests, and support is so bad they don't even answer you. So you go, hey, guys, uh, when am I getting my beta money? I've, I've been testing for a while here. You owe me beta money. Where is it? And you just don't get an answer, he's saying. 
And it's because there's this backlog of Know Your Customer requests, which he didn't know why they're asking for that. But this update from Dan Goldman kind of explains it. that They say there's a lot of fraud going on and that the, the only uh, the only way that they can get past this is by really validating who's really been playing. And maybe because it's in the cryptocurrency world, this has been attracting a lot of fraud. This also may only be half true. They also just may not have the funds to pay people right now for whatever reason. If they raise six million bucks, I don't see how they don't, but maybe they've maybe they didn't really raise six million. I don't know. Maybe they spent it all. There's a lot of ways the money could have been wasted or, or spent stupidly or they just ran out. But it does kind of sound like that they just don't trust anyone. It sounds like they, they probably did get a number of like duplicate accounts and fraudulent accounts and uh, maybe a lot of fake accounts were made to be able to win these free prizes and to get at the final table with Ivy. And now they're like, oh, crap, now what do we do? How do we validate that all our users are real and we don't have the time to really go through this? That's what I think is happening where they, they didn't realize there's going to be a tremendous task in validating everybody because they didn't expect such validation would be necessary until they came to learn that there were a ton of fake accounts on there. I don't know if there really are or not, if this is an excuse, but it's, it's even somewhat believable, but it's stupid. Like, they, they should foresee this. I don't know enough about their system to tell you why it's attracting so many people making fake accounts, but clearly it is, or they're making it up. Either way, it's not good. Either they didn't foresee something which was obvious, or... They're just making this up as an excuse. I think it's probably the former. I think it probably they probably do have a lot of fake accounts, and now they're probably overcorrecting by like demanding to verify everybody, even the beta testers. I think maybe they're worried that people multi-accounted to become beta testers. So, like, I think maybe they're worried that what people are doing there is just making tons of beta testing accounts that they get paid get paid multiple times, and that uh, since you're getting paid by cryptocurrency, it's very easy. In fact, this whole cryptocurrency vulnerability is what allowed people to screw Bovada when people were taking advantage of Bitcoin deposit bonuses, just making accounts over and over and over in different names, knowing that they didn't have to use banking information to cash in and out, that they could just uh, send and receive Bitcoin. Eventually, Bovada clamped down on it and put a stop to it. But that's how that was victimized. When there is anonymity in payment methods... This makes it much easier to create fake accounts. And it, it, it especially becomes easier because uh, there's much less involvement. Even if you are using real people who agree to cooperate and provide their ID, like there's a much lower level. It's, it's, it's much easier for me to say to my buddy, hey, I'm going pr- to play on this site as you. If I make money, I'll give you a piece of it. And if I do have to cash out, I just need your cooperation to send your ID in. But you won't have to send your ID unless I'm going to cash out, in which case you're getting money. My friend will probably say, okay, cool, whatever. But if I tell my friend he's going to start giving his banking info, and then he's going to start hesitating, going, ah, this sounds a little too much for me. I don't want to do it. But it could be like that here, where people are just signing up a million accounts. In fact, I don't want to accuse Crypto Ninja of anything, but he's talking about his mother playing. And I, I was kind of wondering up until now, like, why is his elderly mother wanting to play? I'm kind of picturing, like, my mother. I don't know how elderly his mother is. But my mother's in her mid-70s. My mother has never played poker in her life. She has no desire to play poker. And uh, she, she even only understands a small amount of it. My dad understands more, but uh, he doesn't play either. But at least he 
kind of understands more. My mom only has very limited interest, and her her interest is pretty much limited to when I play, and that's it, which is fine. So she would have no interest in playing something like this. Now, I know not every mom is like my mom, but for the most part, elderly women who didn't have previous exposure to poker just don't really feel like playing. So I'm not sure if Crypto Ninja really has his mother playing, or maybe he realized he could get paid twice and made an account for his mom and plays as her. He could. And it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of people are doing this and they're signing up their mom and their dad and their brother and their sister and their son if their son's old enough and and maybe their dog. Who knows? So they may have realized at Virtue Poker that a lot of the beta testers are fake and want to get paid. And a lot of these people who won seats to the final table with Ivy might be fake. So now they're panicking and taking an eternity to verify everybody. And there's probably way too many people they have to verify compared to their resources to do so. And now there's a big backlog and everyone's pissed. If I had to guess here, I think that's what's happening. And Crypto Ninja, I'm sorry if your mom really is playing, then let me apologize to her right now. It's not impossible your mom wants to play. I'm just saying that uh, I've seen this story before about my mom wants to do such and such. But thank you for bringing the story to us either way whether your mom is really playing or if it's you. But what a what a mess. It, it's so funny. They can spend so much time developing the technical aspects of this, like like this shuffle. I don't know if this shuffle is a gimmick or they really thought it was necessary, but they put a lot of work into developing this secure shuffle that's not done in any kind of centralized location. And I'm sure they're patting themselves on the back going, this is so cool, this is so innovative, this is so safe. Yeah, but look at the huge hole you left yourselves as far as fake accounts signing up there. And fake accounts beta testing, and now you now you don't want to pay the real people who are beta testing because you're not sure if they're real. I mean, what a freaking mess! How do you come up with something like that, with a shuffle, that's, that's so much work and so difficult to do? How do you do that and let such a huge vulnerability exist on your site regarding site security? Here you're saying, play Virtue Poker because it's secure... Oh, sorry, we're not paying our beta testers because of security problems. Excuse me, but that means poor planning. That means someone didn't understand what they were doing. That means some people thought they understood. Some people thought just because I'm very intelligent and I can design something like this, that that means I can solve everything else. Guess what? You can't. You have to have experience. You have to understand what forces might be trying to engage in wrongdoing on your site. And whenever money or prizes are involved, you have to deal with that possibility. And if you are lax about that and think you can just solve the problem without completely understanding it, then this is what will occur. So if I had to guess without knowing very much, I don't think Virtue Poker is trying to scam anybody. I think they were just incompetent and they had very poor security regarding phony accounts on their site, which ran rampant because of the nature of cryptocurrency sites. That would be my best guess here. And I wonder how embarrassed Dan Goldman was to write this. And I wonder if he's wondering what happened to his life. He was once the chief marketing officer for PokerStars during its heyday. And now he's having to write about how they can't pay beta testers because of fake accounts on the system. How embarrassing is it to have to put out a message like that? He must be thinking back 13 years and going, oh, oh, 
I was once marketing for Poker Stars in 2007. I was the top marketer. Now I'm having to make excuses for not paying beta testers for a fail site. Oh my god, I've really, really hit the skids. I understand why he may have signed on for this job, though. Like, a lot of these things can seem cool, and they probably gave him some good stake in the whole site, and a lot of people are very enticed by innovative things. And that's often a mistake, by the way. Just because something's innovative doesn't mean it will be successful. Sometimes the, the most innovative products fail because they overlook very important factors, such as marketability, such as the public's desire for the product, such as usability, such as customer service, such as the market's already saturated, such as not enough budget for marketing. So many innovative, cool products of all types fail if these other areas are not considered or understood properly. But people can be enticed, very qualified people can be enticed to be part of these projects because they picture that the thing is so innovative that it could be a game changer and they could be on the ground floor of something that grows to be huge. And a lot of times the dreamers presenting it to them have just such an overly optimistic view of what it's going to become. If someone brought the concept of virtue poker to me before it was developed, here's what I would say. And by, by the way, notice that Crypto Ninja says the software's awful and it says hands canceled. And like, like this is what you should concentrate on. I've said this about Galphon site too. Stop concentrating on stupid crap that nobody cares about and concentrate on just a simple, robust site that works, that has the basic features everyone wants. Do that first and then expand from there. Do not do it backwards. Looks like they did it backwards here at Virtue Poker. But if someone came to me before it was even developed and said, here, Todd, here's Virtue Poker. Here is what we're doing with it. Here's what we plan. Here's all, all these cool features and innovative things about it. Do you think it's going to be huge? I'd say, no. They'd say, why? I'd say, okay, I have a few reasons for you. First of all, nobody cares about this crap. You think it's cool. You pat yourself on the back because of these features. The average poker player doesn't care. They don't. All this stuff you're talking about there, all these new features, the average poker player doesn't want or need or care about. Number, that's number one. Number two, the market's saturated. Number three, as we've seen with SEALs, there's only very limited interest in, in uh, cryptocurrency-based online poker. Uh, people like having cryptocurrency as an option to deposit and withdraw, but that's kind of secondary. Whereas uh, they want a good poker site first and cryptocurrency as a deposit and withdrawal method second. That's a good thing to have, a very good thing to have these days. That's what I use. But you shouldn't base your site around cryptocurrency. It should be cryptocurrency should be something that your site uses as a tool to get money on and off and that's it. That's all anyone really wants. And everything else is just uh, pretty much a self-congratulatory exercise of showing how smart you are but it's not going to attract people. So I would say the chance of this site succeeding and becoming big is very low. That's what I would say before any of this fail. For all those reasons. And more. I could go into it further, but I would not have been bullish on this site's success. And there's been others. Remember Breakout Poker? They were pretty much doing the same thing. They, they went nowhere. That was a, a very similar sort of situation. A poker site which incorporates cryptocurrency into its offerings. 
and they made their own cryptocurrency, much like they're doing here. It's it's something where you need to understand the market before developing all the innovative features that no one really wants. That's really the bottom line here. And I will tell anybody out there, anybody who is listening right now that wants to do some kind of poker project, before you put money into it, before you put a lot of effort into it, before you put a lot of time and dreams into it, I will gladly consult with you about it, and I will tell you if it is likely to succeed or fail. I have a very good feel for this. And this had fail written all over it, and that's what we're seeing according to Crypto Ninja. Who I don't know, but I think he's probably telling the truth. Except maybe he's maybe he's his mom, too. Aside from that, I believe everything he said, and, and possibly the mom thing, too. Maybe his mom likes poker. I... I can't judge his mom too much. I just know about mom's stories in the past. But thank you for that story. I think it's interesting. And it really shocks me sometimes how smart people, they they don't understand that uh, you have to know the market and know what people are looking for in that market before you do anything else. And sometimes smart people in one way are just, pretty dumb in other ways, and I see that often with uh, with these poker sites. Okay, I, I, I got a text from somebody that's scaring me, telling me they can't call the show, but that couldn't be true because uh, Tyrone called, so I'm not even that scared anymore. Okay, so I'll move on to the next topic in the meantime. Trader Risk, would you, if you'd heard about this Virtue Poker beforehand, would you have thought this was going to be a success? You know, I think any new poker you have to be skeptical of, but I mean, I guess if they can solve that issue, and it sounds like you're kind of playing with the money in your wallet after each hand, right, almost? It kind of seems like a, a like an instant deposit and cash out that you're just, they call it a side wallet. It sounds like something you're, you're transferring your Ethereum to that side wallet, playing with it, and then when you're done, you transfer it back to uh, your regular Ethereum wallet. So you're, you're doing, depo- unlike regular poker sites where you play, 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 and then you... You do a withdrawal when you're ready to take some money off. Here you can like put it on and off uh, before and after every session like you do live. And if it's fast enough, that, that would be a nice feature. But like, is it really that necessary? It's kind of like a cool thing to have, but if it's not instantaneous, it can be a pain in the ass. Like to get, Let's say you see a good game going. Can, can you really just instantly get it there from your Ethereum wallet to your side wallet? I don't know. Maybe there may be some lag. There may be some time to transfer it. In which case, it would suck to have to sit there and wait till it gets over there. So it is nice that you it'll instantly do this for you, rather than have to worry about the when to do the cash out and when not to do the cash out. But if the, if the process isn't almost instantaneous, it seems kind of like a waste to me. I don't know. I just I don't see anything here about this site that's going to get people desperately wanting to play. And just because Ivy's face is involved and he does some promotions with them. It's not going to attract a lot of people. Ivy's been involved in a lot of fail projects over the years. It's not like Ivy's like a, a guaranteed win for you. Ivy will put his name and face on a lot of things. Most of them go nowhere. And that's where people also get confused. They think if, if we can get Ivy involved, everyone will think he has credibility. No, just, just because Full Tilt did well for a while with Ivy as one of the faces, that doesn't mean that Ivy's being the face of anything's going to work. In fact, much more hasn't worked that he's been involved with than has. Okay, I'm going to move on here. 
to our next discussion topic. I'm going to talk about Gags 30 and a controversy that he's involved in that people aren't really paying attention to. So I can't even call it a controversy because it's, it's something that's been pretty much ignored. Except on this show, we're not going to ignore it. I'm going to discuss it, whether he likes it or not. I have no issue with Gags. I don't really know him. I knew of him. Don't know him. I don't know if I've ever met him. If I have, it's probably just like at a table somewhere at the World Series. His name is Michael Gagliano. He plays as Gags 30. He is in New Jersey, and he is a regular player on New Jersey Poker Stars. That is the Poker Stars that is only accessible in the state of New Jersey. And on June 6th, a Twitter user known as Lucky Spewy One, not Lucky Chewy, not Andrew Lichtenberger, but Lucky Spewy, it's a name that was obviously made to be a parody of Lucky Chewy. Lucky Spewy One had tweeted out an interesting accusation against Gags30 and one other guy, maybe two other guys. One of them is uh, Brian Sherrier, who I haven't heard of before. But this is what Lucky Spewy said. He said that there is a tournament on Poker Stars New Jersey, the Sunday High Roller, that was a 10,000 guaranteed event with a buy-in of $500. Now, first of all, that's not a very high guarantee for a $500 buy-in because once they get to 20 buy-ins, then the guarantee's been reached. So it's not very hard to hit that guarantee. The tournament was scheduled to take place on May 31st at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. And the tournament, out of the 20 you would need to get to break even and not have an overlay, you know, 20 times 500 would equal 10,000. So it's a $500 buy-in, 10,000 guaranteed prize pool minimum. Out of the 20 that would be needed to prevent an overlay, it ended up getting three players. <laughs> now, how did that happen? How did they only get three players? Caller, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Is this is this Axel? Yeah, this is. Uh, can you hear me fine? I can hear you. It's good. Okay. I just don't want to have any feedback. No. no yeah, it is. Uh, no, I I tried calling the other, uh, the Mount Charleston number. Wor- the Mount Charleston number worked, but the uh, oh the, num- the other main, number didn't the, work. Uh, I'll have to check into that. That's interesting. Maybe that's why we haven't got that many calls. I tonight. called it twice, not not just once. I called twice. Well, see, that's that's why I <laughs> make give, sure. That's why I give both. Okay, let me see, let me see here. I'm just gonna, before we go on here, I want to make sure. It, sure, go ahead. Yeah, it's just I get the recording. It rings like three or four times, and then I get the. Uh, welcome to Poker Fraud Alerts, if uh, this, that, or the other thing were on air or not available. You're right. See, I messed it up. I, I was messing with the phones again. i got to stop doing that. I was messing with the phones last week, and it screwed up both lines. This week I was messing with the phones, but I did not touch the Mount Charleston line. And the Mount Charleston line was left okay, so you're right. Well, thank you for pointing that out, even though we're <laughs> more than halfway through the show. Next week, I'm, just, I'm not going to screw with the phones next week. I was I, I, I screw around to do like little experiments, and then I, I, for, I say, oh, I'll put this back before the show comes on, and then I don't put it back, and so only one line works. So anyone who tried to call the main number this week, I'm sorry. It does work now. The Mount Charleston line did work the entire time, which is how we got through. And I guess, the, I guess that tells us what Tyrone calls, because uh, we got the call from him. That's why I was sitting there believing that the phone well, lines well, worked. Well, I have to spoof my number and make sure that nobody gets knows exactly who's calling, don't I? Spoof your number? What, for me? I already have your number. Well, I, I, I know that, but 
I, I have no idea why you thought it was Tyrone, or I, my name is certainly not Tyrone. No, no, Tyrone. Okay. No, no, I, no, I knew you weren't Tyrone here. Tyrone called in before. Oh, I get what you're saying. Oh, I thought, okay, because you had said that uh, on the air, you kind of said, I was just assuming it was me because I was the one that said, hey, I was thinking about calling in uh, earlier. So you kind of said that all in one breath. So I wasn't sure if you were talking about me or someone else. Okay, okay. So we've got you on here, and uh, we're going to discuss this GAG30 situation. Sure, I I don't know much about it. That's fine. Briefly... Okay, go ahead. You're, 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 you're welcome to give your, your uh, yeah. You're, you're welcome to your give thing. your opinion. You're welcome to give your opinion here. So, Gags thirty. There was only three people. Three people were in this tournament. That was a a ten thousand guarantee where they need twenty to reach that, which meant that three people bought in for five hundred dollars. This was online. Hold on, I'm sorry. This is poker stars. Online, um, legalized yes. or whatever you want to call it. Uh, okay, go ahead. Yeah, it was, it was in Poker Stars, New Jersey. And three people played. Three people bought in for five hundred to play for ten thousand dollars, which is a great deal for them. Eighty five hundred dollar overlay. So how did they manage that one? How how did they get only three people? How was, was everyone asleep at the switch? Did no one else see that uh, there was such a huge overlay in this tournament? No, that's not how they pulled it off. They pulled this off in a manner that uh, is kind of shady, and and uh, that's what this lucky spewy guy was complaining about on Twitter. So the tournament began May thirty first. At 7 p.m. Eastern Time, the tournament ended May 31st, 7.10 Eastern Time. A 10-minute tournament, folks. How did they finish, the, even with three people, how did you finish the tournament in 10 minutes? Is, is the structure that bad that in 10 minutes the whole thing was over? Even with three people, how do you finish in 10 minutes? And Well, if there's only three people that... Like, you know, a couple of people that go all in and boom, 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 there's a winner. Well, right, but but they're not likely to do that in a normal tournament because the blinds start off pretty low. You'd have to really get some real cooler hands, like set over set or something to force it to happen. Well, did so, well, did somebody go back and look and see what the hands were? Yeah, well, no, if someone went into looked into who the players were. So what it turned out was that uh, the, the winner who was uh, – who I, I'm not sure exactly what the screen name is. It's, uh, it's kind of hard to pronounce, but it, it was Gags30 who was the winner. Uh, under whatever screen name he plays there. And then a guy named uh, WSOP Boy 1997 whose name is uh, Brian Sherrier in real life, was second. And then a person named MonkeyMan0067 was third, and he was the only one not to get paid. So the two, two of the three people got paid. Uh, the winner got uh, $6,528, and the second place got 3472 and the third place got zero. And that's, that's pretty good, a pretty good haul when each one only paid 500 to join. What was interesting is that uh, this lucky spewy found that both, not one, but both of these other players were ones that are backed by Gags30. That's that's already very suspicious. But that still still begs the question, how did they prevent others from joining? How how did they make it for they they were the only only three who joined? Because anyone could have joined. So how did they know? That they were going to be the only three. Did they just get lucky, or did they just it, like get, there was ten minutes? Less, even if they dumped chips to each other and ended it very fast, how did they make sure in those ten minutes nobody joined? Well, it turns out that the way this thing works is that if uh, once it goes heads up, that uh, the registration period's over. That that's it. It just shuts out. So it, normally these things have a registration period of a certain amount of time and a late registration period. Here, if somehow the tournament 
goes heads up, uh, then immediately nobody can register anymore. So even though it normally well, has it normally it has rebuys, normally it has registration and late registration, all that goes away. Once it goes heads up, then that's it, and the whole thing's closed. So let's say there's limited interest in this in the first place. Let's say Gags is looking, and seven o'clock comes, and nobody has joined. Right now, it's an empty tournament. Or let's say they all they, let's say they register, planning to unregister if a lot of people join it. Or let's say Gags, who is already a good player, is willing to play it even if it does go normally. But let's say he he registers and he has his two buddies register. And then let's say at uh, seven o'clock he sees it's just him and his two buddies. Well, what would stop one of his buddies from just losing on purpose and forcing it heads up? Then nobody else can join. And then Gags, who's backing all three players, locks up an $8,500 profit no matter what happens because nobody else can join. Now, does this cheat any players? It cheats poker stars is what happens. Poker stars is the one who puts up the money, and they they have to cough up the overlay. However, it does kind of screw other players because it robs the other players the ability to enter and also have a shot at this overlay. So let's say they didn't do this, then a fourth and a fifth and a sixth player could have entered, and maybe they could have won. Or even if they didn't win, they would have had a, a certain expectation a certain uh, a positive expectation in this tournament to win because of uh, the guaranteed prize pool versus how many players there are. So so it does kind of screw other players who may have wanted to enter and just couldn't because it, it went heads up so quickly. I'm not sure how quickly it was that the third guy busted, but I know within 10 minutes the whole thing was over. And uh, so lucky... But with all that's in the rules and regulations prior to... Did they say this is how it was going to happen? Well, so that's not clear exactly what the rules are regarding whether you can pull this. But there's also a difference between whether this was technically allowed or technically not disallowed or whether it's ethical. So this lucky spewy guy brought it up. And then uh, he actually got an answer from Gags. Even though there was very little interest in this story, which I I thought was an interesting story. I thought it should have gotten more play than it did. But uh, Gags30 did answer uh, when Lucky Spewy also said uh, – uh, well, basically when he said uh, both players stakes and backed by Gags, so Gags wins a lot of money. Hmm. So isn't this basically one player using three different accounts and taking all the money? If this is not anything against let me know, I'm going to start doing it. So Lucky Spewy's basically saying, all right, if this is allowed, I'm going to start doing it too. And Gags30 said back – in his only response about this, do you really think I would risk my PokerStars account where I generate one-third of my income to make 6 k Plus, I win this tourney like 65% of the time that I play anyway. Stars allowed a heads-up chop and locking and, and, and locking that and locking the registration just saved me some time last week. So I, I don't really like that answer. He's basically saying that, first of all, PokerStars was very aware this was all go- the what happened here because poker stars actually allowed them to do a chop and not even play it out heads up that once they got heads up, they just said, Hey, let's chop it. We're uh, according to the chips we have. And then uh, he took, he took the money he won and the other person took the money they won. So he's saying like stars, stars saw this and they had no problem. And I, this because I didn't do anything wrong. And, and second, I win this like two thirds of the time anyway. So this just saved me time. That's all. I w- you think so I would? So how often are they having this tournament with this big of an overlay? Uh, this, well, it's, it, it, the tournament takes place. Every week, uh, it's called the Sunday High Roller uh, on Poker Store in New Jersey. How often this happens where, like, nobody enters, I don't know. But uh, but it happened that week. And so Gags is saying, I wouldn't do this just to make an extra 6K. And, and I win this thing a lot anyway normally, so why would I ever do this? But 
I, I do think it's a real coincidence that all three people who entered were people he backs, which he's not denying. Like, Lucky Spewey said this, and Gags didn't say, oh, no, you're wrong, I don't back these people. He's like, he's just like, no, no, do you think I would be doing anything wrong here and risking my account? So it looks like he's kind of quietly acknowledging, without saying it, that these are people he backs, these the other two. And this was over in 10 minutes, and, and I'm sure he was aware of the fact that once the third player busts, that nobody else can join. And I don't like this story, oh, it's just, it's just saving time. All this is saving time because I probably would have won anyway. So, so the fact that we entered, we we finished in ten minutes has nothing to do with the fact that uh, the first guy lost on purpose, and then once it got to me and my other buddy, we just asked Poker Star, "Hey, can we chop now?" And they did it. It seems more like to me, and I don't know for sure, but it is possible. Maybe these were the only three people who were interested in playing, and nobody else noticed, and it just happened to shake out this way. They played it normally, maybe even though they knew each other really well. Even though Gags back, so, so what was the name? So so Gags was the one that brought it up on on Twitter or something. No, Gags was the one who's is the winner of this. Who who backs both people? Okay, one, so who was the guy that brought it? up? The one who brought it up uh, is, is Lucky Spewy one, and I don't know who he is. Okay, so Lucky Spewy, you should have been quiet and just entered the next tournament <laughs> <laughs> and got a huge monster overlay. That's kind of what I would have did. So so Lucky Spewy, uh, yeah, he, well, he was saying I want to I want to make sure this isn't against the rules. If it's not, I'm going to do it next week. That's what he's actually saying. Uh, so I don't. But he didn't about it at all because now it looks like there's going to be a bunch of people looking into this. Yeah, I, he probably won't do it again. Uh, so Gags, I, I ha- he had to know about all this. He, now it's possible that he wasn't trying to do anything shady to start. It's possible that just he and his two buddies that he backs legitimately play because all three of them are good, and that uh, and they they all think it's good value even if they're all in the same tournament. Uh, and then it just so happened nobody else registered. And they realize, oh, here's an opportunity. Uh, let's let's wait for a like a a good moment to lose. Don't just dump it, obviously, but make it to where uh, it's reasonable where the third guy gets out fast. And then once we've got it heads up, let's just ask for a chop. So hopefully nobody sees this because the the longer they play each other heads up and people watch it, they'll go, oh my god, three people were in this thing for 10k guarantee. How'd that happen? So they probably want this over as fast as possible so it gets out of the running lobby. So I don't think it was to save time. Uh, I, I don't I don't believe that story. Uh, whether this was premeditated, I don't know. And I, I do believe that Gags thought that he probably wasn't violating the rules, especially if he did, if he always plays this anyway. And if he didn't set this up in advance, that kind of seems more to me like a, a, a semi scam out of opportunity that he saw nobody else was registering and quickly told his two buddies, Hey, let's, let's end this fast and, and lock up the money. And that's, and, and so, and then, and of course, as long as the hand looks reasonable, he can say to stars, look, what can we do? Nobody else registered. We couldn't, we, we can't control who registers and who doesn't. Nobody else did except for me and, and these two other guys. And, and one of them happened to get a hand where he got it all in and lost. And then, and then it locks you got it locks them out. That's not our policy. So they, they probably, and remember, this is a regulated site. So they only have, they do have certain rules they have to adhere to on poker stars regarding any action they take against them, so and they can they can complain to the New Jersey Gaming Commission if they get banned. So uh, as long as they're not directly violating the rules, they might uh, they might get away with it. So who knows? Uh, another guy reading this on Poker Fraud Alert when I posted the story, who goes by a gamble botch chafe penis, said uh, it would have to be a fucking hell of a cooler within the first level or two to get in two hundred big blinds in a hand before the antis even start. 
Uh, in theory, the tournament should be playing very, very slowly since people are, are just not going to war without an ante in there. And he's right. He, he posted the structure, which I was curious about. He posted the structure of this tournament, and uh, it, it's 12-minute levels, and you start with 10,000 starting chips. And the first level is 2550 blinds. So you do start with 200 uh, big blinds. Second level, 3060 blinds. Third level, 4080 blinds. Fourth level, 5100 blinds. So while it, it changes every 12 minutes, it, it moves very slowly. It goes 2550, 3060, 4080, 5100, 6120, 75150. This thing was over before the first level was done. So they, they only played. 20... So basically, you're saying what they've done is uh, 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 what it sounds like most likely is they've cons- they conspired to get the tournament over quickly so nobody else could register and to get it out of the lobby. So that's basically what they've done. Right, and it um, looks like they probably didn't protect it as long as nobody... Me, I, I don't know. Do you consider that colluding? Oh, it's definitely colluding, but the question is that they may be able to get away with it because if they didn't... See, if they only played... Let's let's say they just sat, and then the second they saw there was nobody there, they quickly registered, and and then quickly one of them dumped chips... And then they got it heads up. Poker stars could kick them off for this because then it could be very clear that this was something they were looking to do on purpose. But since at least Gags, I don't know if the other two play, but at least it, at least since Gags plays this most weeks anyway, no matter how many people are in there, and and he does very well when he plays, and and he's a regular winner on the site, and if so, if he registered anyway. And then just as soon as nobody else was registered when it started, they just jumped on this and the third person shot off his chips on purpose. That's a hard thing to prove because Gags didn't make up this rule that when it's heads up, they can't add anybody. That's PokerStars rule. So Gags can right. say, look, it's not my fault if the third guy just happened to not play well. The, the, if, if he very blatantly dumped his chips off, yeah, but if the third guy just didn't play optimally – and shot his chips off, and then Gag's like, oh, well, I didn't realize that. Wow, it's, it's heads up, and wow, nobody else can register now, and if the three of us share the 10K, well, that's sweet. Like, he could he could play dumb. He could say, I wasn't even thinking of this. I'm just playing my game, and the third guy just didn't play well, and then it locks it at that point. That's your rule, not mine. So that would be that's probably why he felt comfortable doing this. I do believe him that he wouldn't risk his account to get 6K. I believe Gags does win a good amount of money on there, and and uh, wouldn't want to throw that away for 6K. But I also think he believed he had an opportunity to get away with. If anyone believes this is just a, a total coincidence that the third guy who he happens to back lost his chip super fast and, and, and so fast that the whole thing was over before 10 minutes, then you're not very good at critical thinking is what I have to say. By the way, for those of you wondering, I'm still amazed that there was only three people. I, 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 I and and I, and three of these people know each other. It seems like so. How is how is a tournament like this where there's that kind of a guarantee only get that many players? Well, I can answer that. That's I am a little also. I'm surprised a little bit that there was nobody else that was there. But I can see how this can happen occasionally because it's only a 10k guarantee, which means it's only 20 players makes it hit, and. I can see where, and by the way, they they seem to have lowered it subsequently to eight thousand guaranteed, which is funny. That's a, I see this from the screenshot that Gamblebot's Chafe Penis posts of the, of the next one coming up, and there was eight thousand guaranteed, so they probably saw they weren't hitting this. But I, this is kind of something where good players mainly play each other. This isn't a big multi-table tournament. This is something where you just need twenty to hit the guarantee. This is only for New Jersey. And they probably don't have that many players on there who want to enter $500 tournaments every week. So for whatever reason, this doesn't get many people. So for whatever reason, that week, 
just nobody was interested in it, at least in the first few minutes, except for those three. Now, I have a feeling if this played out at normal pace, they would have gotten a few others. But they saw it started with just the three of them, and they probably jumped on it. I have a feeling this was not premeditated. They just did it because they weren't stupid and saw how they could make this happen to their advantage. Probably Gags thought of it because it's his money that's backing everybody. And he knows it really is guaranteed money for him that backing everybody, the entire 10K goes to his group. Right. He probably wasn't calling his buddies um, um, during the other times that he played it when it when there wasn't so few people in it. Right. I, th- I think if there why would he... right. I think if there's twenty people in it, uh, the third the third guy's not busting in the first level. That that's what I think. By the way, anyone wondering here who who uh, Axel is? Um, Axel is somebody I, I've met personally. I, I know him through the Vegas Advantage Play community, and uh, he has listened to the show uh, a few times. He posts uh, more on my Vegas Casino Talk forum. And, uh, unfortunately. Unfortunately. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of drama over there. You guys Nothing think... against you. You know, you know, mostly on Wizard of Vegas is what I post. Well, on. You, know what's, you know what's funny you, you is know someone, someone described Vegas Casino Talk to other people on Poker Fraud Alert. They're like, a, they're like, there's a lot of trolling and fighting on there. The difference is it doesn't involve Druff. <laughs> which is which is true. Like I, I'm I'm rarely the subject of of the arguing on Vegas Casino Talk, but there's a lot of arguing back and forth between everybody else. Whereas on Poker Fraud Alert, I'm, I'm not always the subject of the arguing, but I'm I'm frequently a part of it. I'm, I'm frequently someone that that people are attempting to bash on on uh, Poker Fraud Alert. Where on on Vegas Casino Talk, it's that's not very often. I'm kind of more just the the, the neutral moderator of the whole thing and. Uh, so so that's that's where I got to know uh, Axel and and I've met him in person a number of times. I actually met him the very first time in uh, Casino Royale, which now has taken out their table games, as we mentioned last week. And uh, we just kind of chose there as a place to meet because I was staying at Harrah's. And and this was just after I was getting over the psychological issues I had. And uh, so I remember telling him that story and I was just, you know, just barely able to, to make this trip and, and even be there at all. And, uh, I remember that. Yeah. So that was that was. I didn't know if I'd ever be able to talk do it again. about that. Yeah. And I, I had to. And, and did, did you tell the tell the good story about that meetup though? What's the good? I don't know what the good story. Am I still be a little painful for you? Uh, I mean, I, I got some money out of a Jew. Okay. Well. Oh, that's. Oh, that's right. You did. We, think, we, that's think right. Think a little bit about it. Oh, no, no, no. I, I, I know. I know about it now. I know now. I, I blocked it out. You didn't get very much money. He got a little bit of money out of a Jew. That's true. Uh, I think there, it was a hundred bucks, wasn't it? No, no, it was, it was like ten dollars. I wouldn't have bet a hundred on it. it, it was, no, 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 it was really? yes, yeah. it was ten dollars. That's that's yeah. why I did it. That's a, it was smart. If you said a hundred, I would have said forget it. It was it was ten that made me go for it. But yeah. uh, it, there was there was a dispute between us as to uh, what the right play was about a, something with video poker. I forgot the exact play. Do you remember what it was? No, it, not anymore. No, I don't it, either. It was something. I probably like a. Oh, what was it? Like a three-card royal or a flush or something? Yeah, there, it, was, like it was some semi-obscure uh, thing with video poker where uh, it's it's not obvious what the right move is given you know, what you hold. And uh, I had I was of the belief it was the opposite way. And so we were playing, and I said, uh, oh, this is what you're holding. He said, no, no, that's not it. He said, do it the other way. And I said, no, I don't agree. I'm not 100% sure, but I think he says, no, 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 I, he, Axel was very sure about this. And I, I was 
semi-convinced. I wasn't 100%, but I thought it was enough to where uh, that I, when he offered to bet on it, we ended up betting $10 on it. And in his mind since then, in the year and a half since then, he has inflated it. Yeah, next year it's going to be 10000 he won off me off this. But uh, uh, he may have proposed more. I think he may have proposed 20 It became 10 something like that. But it ended up $10 that uh, we bet on this. And then we brought it up on a on an app or, or a website to look at the truth, and he was right. So I, I pulled it out of my wallet and gave it to him. So that was that was unfortunate. And, and I appreciate that. That was that was unfortunate. But uh, anyway, he he messaged me this week and said that he'd like to come on the show. And he, he said, uh, "What topics do you have?" And I said, "Well, I hate to tell you, I haven't I haven't come up with the topics yet. I'm still uh, still putting that together." So I, I put it together. Well, I've listened a couple times, and I just never thought I would call in. But there have been some other interesting topics that I thought I had a pretty good take on, or I had some questions. You know, I, I wish I maybe would have liked to have called the, during the Dutch Boyd interview. That was a very that was a good one. I like that. Um, so yeah, this is a pretty good radio show. Oh, thank um, you. We've also you've also come to our Super Bowl parties that we host. Uh, Usually every year. That was that was the last um, time. That was the last time I played uh, live poker. Uh, not just at the party where I where I ran really bad. Oh, this is this is obnoxious. Listen to what Axel did to me at the at the Super Bowl oh, party. Yeah. This, uh, and, and this number has not inflated because I know exactly how. No, much no, it is. no, no. This this was obnoxious. I, I was running bad there every, every time anyway. Like I just uh, um, every time I got it in with someone, I they either had a huge hand against me or I took a bad beat. So I just was. I was just losing every big pot. This is a, a, a no limit. It was like kind of like a semi deep Or stack. Axel just outplayed Dandruff that particular well, well, the, night. But the, go ahead. The, the last, the last hand, uh, there, there was the only one where I can describe it that way. But the last hand was there was a factor that occurred that can't occur. It actually can't occur by the rules in a live poker room, and that was that uh, uh, the way a hand played out, it really looked like I think Axel. Three bet preflop, and a bunch of people were were in the hand by this point. Like there were people were just very loosely calling preflop. So um, the he raised preflop out of position. He three bet preflop out of position, and then the flop came, and uh, and he checked around. It, it, he checked it. So it it really looked like he didn't have anything because it just it didn't look like something that he'd likely check, especially with how bugged the pot already was. After out of position after he was the last razor preflop, but then he checked it. So I thought, okay, he's he's weak and he missed it. Um, I don't remember if this was the the turn or I think it was it the flop or the turn when uh, when I ended up uh, in the tough decision. Do you remember? No, okay. I don't even remember. I, I don't. I, okay, okay. Well, I'll, I'll, uh, I remember I had. I'll have to take your word for it. I had something like um, I had second pair through a pocket pair, something like eights or nines or something that had uh, like one overcard on the board. And uh, Axel was – his three-bet could have been a number of things. It could have been a strong hand. It could have been a, a okay-ish hand that he's just being – like you, you never know with him. So when he checked like that, I thought, okay, he missed. So it checked – and then it checked back to me, and there's like only one person left to act after me. So I thought, okay, I have the best hand here. Even though people put in a lot pre-flop, I think that my unassisted like eights or nines are probably the best hand here. I think there's like like – it was like queen seven something on the board, whatever it was. So, um, I meant to bet it, but I didn't. I think I just checked it because I was worried about the guy after me or something. And then, and so that was the mistake I made. I should have just bet it there. I think Axel would have folded. But uh, anyway, the turn hit, and the turn was still something under my card. 
so Axel then goes all in or makes a large bet or something like that. So it comes, it folds to me, and I'm just thinking he's full of crap here. I just, it doesn't make any sense. I don't think that card that hit the turn helped him. It's lower than the pair in my hand. So either he flopped a monster and was just waiting for someone to fire in the flop and nobody did, and now he's firing the turn, uh, or he's full of crap and is trying to buy the pot. I, I was really not wanting to fold there. I think he put out a $300 badge or something like that. I was really considering calling it. And then, like, I was just about to call, and then he's, we're, we're talking back and forth, and then he says, no, I'll, I'll tell you, I have a hand. And I say, you, you have a hand, but it's a good hand. He's I have a hand. So I, I was really getting convinced I had the best hand. So then he shows it to the guy next to him, who's already folded. And he says, here, I'll, I'll ask him, is this, would you say this is a hand? And the guy looks and he goes, Oh, this is starting to come back to me. Yeah, so the guy, so the guy next to him says, Oh yeah, I'd say that's a hand. And he's like, I can't say too much, but yeah, I'd say that's a hand. So I'm looking and I'm thinking, the guy next to him, like, he seems like he's being sincere about it. And the guy's not saying, Oh, it's a huge hand. If he's saying, oh, I'd say that's a hand. So it kind of sounded to me like there, there was a monster here. And, uh, like, I just wasn't getting from this other guy that Axel's showing him complete crap. And that he's just lying and just blatantly lying, saying it's a hand. So like Axel has eight high, and the guy's saying, "Oh, that's a hand." Like I, I'm thinking that he has something. Maybe it's only something like top pair. Or maybe it's a better. Maybe it's jacks and then the you know, the queen on the board. But it, it's something that seems to be beating my eights or nines or whatever they were. So after some thought, I folded it, and Axel turned over that he hit the. I think it was on the turn. He hit the second pair, which was below my pocket pair. So that's what he meant by a hand. So now, had he not had the other guy make that comment, I would not have folded. It, so right when I folded and he showed me that hand, I go, oh, that's, that's, I, I, had, I had that beat. And then we even dealt out the river for fun and it would have held. And it wasn't, it wasn't even a scary river where I would have folded. So like I, I definitely was not going to fold once I called. the. I, I was either going to raise or fold. I think I was going to raise the turn, something like that. Whatever it was, If I once I put money in the turn, I wasn't folding. So that... That was a killer. Had I won that, I would have been uh, a lot close, to, like fairly close to even. Uh, so I was really annoyed. So, so it sounds like I I I, I used some uh, psychologics on you, and uh, it worked out pretty good. You, it did because you were able to get the other player. But you know what? In a card room, what they would say if you tried that, they say, "I I I one player to a hand. You can't do this." Like they would not have let you do this with this other guy. It was that. It was that we were I playing. All, I see it all the time. Well, they, they at least the games I play in, they don't allow that at all. Nobody's allowed to pick up the hand. Okay. They, I, people show each other, but they never have the other person comment. I've had it where like someone will quickly pick up their cards and show the other person, and I don't say anything. Because the other, it's more of like just mm-hmm. the other person just sees, but they don't say anything, so it doesn't in, affect me at all. But but it was the fact that that guy said, "Yeah, I said it's a hand," and seemed sincere, and it turned out he was. It wasn't. You had a hand. You had the second pair. It just uh, the, the way he said it, it made it sound like it was stronger. It was the way the guy said it. Which I don't even think he was trying to be deceptive. I think he was just commenting, oh, yeah, it's a hand. Yeah. So that convinced me my well, I, I knew who to, I knew I knew who to ask. <laughs> well he was the one who was next to you. That's that's was that's well, how it works. Yeah, but there was one there had to be somebody on my left and right. Anyway, that the last time I actually played live poker in a card room was actually on that trip though. I, I, I went to the Bellagio and played and after that I said not only I had already quit commerce by then because of all the Chinese nationals that deal there. Like I this is before any verified case of coronavirus in the U.S. So I had already quit commerce a few days before that. And then I said, okay, I'll be willing to play at Bellagio still because they don't have Chinese dealers. And when I see Chinese, I'm like, like, like commerce actually has like real Chinese dealers from China. 
I'm not talking about Chinese Americans. Okay. I wouldn't. I wouldn't care about at the time. I wasn't going to care about Chinese dealers or Chinese American. I meant like actually from China who just came recently or have relatives that came fairly recently. So I, I thought a very good chance that one of these dealers of commerce could have been exposed to the virus from Wuhan. It turned out some were. That I was right. It turned out a commerce some actually did get it from relatives that came from China. So I was right to stay well, away from. Can that. I? Can I? Can I stop you real quick? Did you? Did you know that at our poker uh, party that uh, we had two people fly in um, that had just gotten back from China? Yes, I was. I wasn't happy about that. And I like that guy. I, the guy you had signed well, in. I, he, I, I don't. I wasn't happy either. And I like the guy too. And he's a friend of mine as well. And uh, and then of course you saw uh, Max Penn show up in an actual hazmat suit. Yeah, kind of a joke at the time. <laughs> yeah. It turns out it wasn't such a big joke. <laughs> yeah, that was that was, that was funny. Like he, he has on this this hazmat suit, and uh, people were laughing at it. He said he bought it as a joke, and then and then you see that people couldn't even get these anymore because it it became so everyone wanted these. And uh, but yeah, I was so surprised when I see these guys show up, and they said they actually came from from mainland China. And uh, it was a guy who's who's uh, half Chinese, who was an advantage player, and also listen, listens to this show. That's how I knew him. Is he had texted me before as a listener to this show, and that's why I was very surprised at the first Super Bowl party uh, the year before in uh, in 2019. Uh, Are you sure he's only half Chinese? Yeah, he to- he told me he is. I know he looks full okay. Chinese, but he's uh, well. You can see from his height. He's like he's like he's like the same height as me, and he's Chinese, which you don't see very often. Oh yeah, he is a tall guy. Yeah, isn't he? yeah, 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 we're, yeah. The, we're the same height. Okay. Uh, yeah, so he probably got that from his white side. <laughs> but, uh, I know there's a few really tall Chinese people, like like Yao Ming. Look at him, but but for the most part, you don't see many Chinese people who are my height. But yeah, this guy's the same height as me, and he told me he's half Chinese. I've texted with him before. So the first time I, I met him was at this party, and we were surprised to see each other there because we each didn't know the other was going to be there. But uh, I saw him this time. I wasn't so happy to see him because he had just flown in from mainland China. And I was like, oh, no, that's, <laughs> that's not what I want. I guess we were all safe. I guess they didn't have it. Nobody from that party got sick, did they? No, no, nobody got sick. Um, as they, they were pretty safe. I think that uh, while they were over there, they were pretty safe. Uh, and, and we didn't even know much about it at that time. Um, well, I was worried. Like, yeah, but I didn't. I didn't know that. We actually see they weren't actually going. They told me they weren't even going to come because they had just got in from an airplane. They didn't think they were going to make it. They didn't even stay that long. Yeah. When when it, as soon as it was funny because I was kind of late getting to the food for whatever reason. I, I think I just wasn't hungry at the beginning when it was put out. So like I started eating the food that was out later. Once I saw that they had been eating it, I just said, "Okay, that's it. I'm just going to go hungry the rest of the night because I I, I didn't want to touch. The, I didn't know what they had touched. I didn't want anything more to do with the food once they had been there." I, I hear you. Yeah. So, like, I don't, I, I don't want that. And I know, uh, I don't know how concerned you've been. I know you told me I don't want to give away information here, but you've told me you had some health issues in the past. I, 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 I've had health issues in the past, yeah. and uh, I, uh, uh, you know, so I don't want to get it. But uh, I am not being over paranoid um, because. I, well, okay, so I, I went out and I go play pickleball with, you know, a group of guys, and we still go out and do that. Um, I have been to the casinos a couple times picking up free play. I'm not running out there, and, you know, I really don't care to go to the casinos all that much. I mean, I do, but I'm happy at home then or doing whatever else, But uh, which is strange coming from an advantage player, I know, but I've been doing this for since 1993 or four, so it's, you know, kind of getting not old, but uh, I just don't uh, like doing the day-to-day running around all day long and going in and out of casinos and things like that. You know, when a big play comes up or something like that, I really enjoy it. I 
jump, spring into action and get out there and uh, do my thing. You know, I prefer plays that are like uh, a, something that might last 24 hours or two, three, four days and just hit it hard and then go relax and then go back out. But, you know, kind of how it is nowadays with picking up mail and different things like that. You kind of have to go to this casino, do this, and you're hitting this casino and that casino or you're traveling. And after a while, that gets a little old. Um, but uh, I'm not too concerned I'm a little concerned. I don't want to get it. I really, even if I don't, even if I'm not going to die, I really don't want to be sick for two or three weeks. Well, it's not just that. You can, you can get um, uh, permanent lug damage from it, and, and the, the sickness can be, like, really, really awful, like, worse than you've ever had by a wide margin. Maybe not worse than what you right. had when you, anyway, you were really sick at one point. Uh, but uh, uh, given that you had that history of, of, uh, of a major health problem, which you've fortunately gotten past, and, and the fact that uh, you know you're not young anymore. He's, he's the same age as me, in case you guys are wondering. So it's it's something that I've been avoiding. Where if I was 15 years younger, I wouldn't be worried at all. If I was 33, I'd say, okay, whatever. Like I don't want it, but I'm not going to be that worried because like hardly anyone at my age gets it that badly. But at the, at the age I am now, I know a lot of people over 45 and younger than 50 who had it really badly that had really no other health problems. And and I don't know right. any. I I only know one person. One person in my age group who felt symptoms, but it wasn't that bad. Everybody else I, I know or know of in my age group who felt symptoms had it very badly. Nobody died, but they had it very badly. Wow. Um, that's not good. Yeah, that's not I good. I don't know anybody <laughs> very well. I mean, I know people that uh, – one or two people that have had it where I kind of know them, but I don't know them very well. Um, so – um, yeah, I don't really know anybody that's had this. I think because of the poker community is large, I got to – for that reason, I had a, a larger group of people to draw from who uh, – and uh, there was ones who reported having it and described their symptoms. So I was able to have a, a larger sample size than most people. And uh, unfortunately, I saw very consistently that those like 30 to 35 had it very mildly and those – 45 to 55, even 45 to 50, uh, very tough. And I know I also know people outside of poker have it. I, the, the sister of one of my uh, of my childhood best friend, she was a nurse and she probably got it at work. But uh, she is uh, 45. She was totally out of commission for two weeks. She couldn't even walk down the stairs to see her family. She couldn't even get out of bed and walk down. Forget up. She couldn't walk downstairs. And uh, finally, after two weeks, she was able to walk downstairs. That's how bad she got it, and she had no pre-existing conditions. She, she's, she's recovered. She's not going to die. Uh, I, I hate to say it. There's a decent chance she has lung damage from this, but uh, and that's that's another thing that scares me is that it it people say it can if you get a severe case like that that uh, lung damage. Well, and I'm is a possible. smoker too, so uh, <laughs> well, well that may help you. Lungs, uh... That may help you. There's some belief that the smoke. Yeah, I heard that you. that might help me. I I don't know if I'm. I, I don't know if I believe that. Well, it seems this is what uh, it seems but, to me. Uh, it seems like that it might actually help it from like help prevent it from getting serious. But that once it does get serious, that you may be in worse shape. So you maybe have like a lower right. chance so, of getting very sick right, from it, but exactly. but a higher chance of something very bad if you do get sick. So maybe I need to triple my intake of cigarettes to, to <laughs> yeah. ward it away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, see, I, I, but I, I, I have a team, and, and we, uh, I have to do my part. So I, I can't really just say, hey, guys, um, I'm not going to do uh, my part and 
so screw you guys. You guys have to go take the risk. So I guess if if it probably if I was just a solo player, I'd probably wait it out uh, 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 quite a long long time before I decided to uh, go back out to the casinos. Um, you know, I can kind of afford to do that. Um, so I don't know. I'm not just not all that. Well, concerned. if I can give you so a tip I, here, basically, I'm not going out and doing solo stuff. You know, because there, you know, like there's a few little promotions around town that you know, no, we're not gonna team up and go play that together but it's kind of like hey go do it if you want to go do it and earn you know your your money and then get you know get your comps and all that stuff and i'm not going to probably run out and play that stuff like that on my own you know i'm just going to avoid that if i give you a tip by the way with this since it seems at least what they're currently claiming that you're not getting much from surfaces you're really going to be catching it from people breathing on you or uh, spitting on you accidentally when they're talking or, or sneezing on you or coughing on you. So it, it really seems like it's, it's being transmitted in a manner that's respiratory, that if you're going to do advantage plays in casinos, if you can walk in there, avoid p- getting near anybody, and then play the machine, what are you going to do, and then leave without ever really being close to anybody that, that can possibly breathe on you, then you're probably pretty safe, unless they're wrong about this. But otherwise, you're probably pretty safe because it seems like surfaces aren't really doing this very much to people. So that's that seems to be the key: is just uh, don't let don't let people breathe on you. And the more you, you are careful about that, I think the lower chances that you're going to get, and uh, right. that you're going to get it. Yeah, I I, I'm, I, I think uh, everybody's pretty much uh, tired of the subject. <laughs> point it's just kind of one of those things where i'm just kind of figuring i'm just gonna have to live with the situation i can't just sit there and i don't i'm not just gonna live my life sitting here doing nothing i'm gonna be as cautious as possible but i mean you you, you can go into a casino all you want and say i'm gonna try to avoid this person or that uh, that person and you're gonna try to do it the best you can but at some point, somebody's going to walk by you, or you're going to be sitting somewhere, and somebody's going to sit near you, or you can't, or you're sitting there trying to walk through a casino, and the next thing you know, a crowd builds up, and you're trying to get through, and you have to circle around and go the other side, you know, especially if it's pretty busy. So, I, I just really don't know um, how actually safe you can be. Yeah, well, that's it's true. If you the more exposure you give yourself to any place where it can happen, that's why I don't even go to the grocery store anymore. I have stuff delivered as much as I don't like doing that. Uh, I like I, I really have brought down to just about nothing where I put myself in a, an exposure situation because I, I just really don't want this. I don't I don't think I'm going to be lucky enough to be one that that doesn't get really doesn't get severe symptoms. I I think that if I get it, that I'm going to have these terrible, very memorable systems, like symptoms that could even bring back the psychological problems I had in 2018, which is my one of my bigger worries, which a lot of people right. don't have to worry well, about. But, but then you, I, I think you're in a situation where you can afford to not go do those things. Well, I am, yeah. Um, and, and you can sit at home, and you're, I guess you're playing poker online, uh, and yeah. so you're making income on that. Um, but how... Can I ask that? How well are, are, can you give us some numbers? So where are you playing? And uh, since the, the shutdown or, or since you haven't been out playing, 
how, can I ask you how much you've made? Well, no, I'm not going to say how much I've I won't say how much I've made. Uh, I, I'm playing uh, on Bovada. Uh, I play on Bovada. Uh, I'll, I'll admit something, though. I, I had a bad night last night, and it all started. You know, I hate when there's like one hand that starts the whole. Well, let's start out with the limits. Let's start out with your. I, limits. I'm playing. What, what you, I was playing limits? thirty sixty limit hold'em, but. The, okay. the I had one hand. I hate to tell bad beat stories on this show, but I, I've got this started like a whole spiral down. Not because I was tilting. I just started losing every hand after this. I had pocket kings, and it's a six-handed game. But I had pocket kings, and uh, I think five of the six people were in, and it. it I raised it three bet, and then like call, call, call all the way. Like I came back to me, and I hit the button to cap it, but somehow I didn't really hit the button. I thought I hit the button, so I hit the button to cap it. And I figured I had a, a few seconds until, or more than a few, I thought maybe I had like 10 seconds until everybody else at the table called my cap, since there's four other players in the hand. So I capped it with four bets, switched to another window. I was, I was reading something in the other window. I wasn't watching porn. I was really just reading something. And uh, I, I clicked back after what felt like not that long to just see what ha- to just see, okay, is, are we on the flop now? Well, I didn't really four bet it. I thought I forbet it. In reality, I was just about timed down and it was about to auto-fold me. So I, with like one second left, I got that fourth bet in. And then everybody called. And I said, Phew, I cannot believe I almost got folded with kings with five people in the hand instead of capping it. I'm so glad I hit that button. Hopefully I win now. Well, I was even happier when I saw the flop. King, Jack, four. Wow, I would have flopped top. I flopped top set. I would have been furious had I not caught that with that last second. The problem was it was King Jack four with two clubs, so I was vulnerable against four people. There's a lot of ways you can get screwed with that board, even with top set. So I said, "Well, okay, I hope I win this. I hope, I hope it wouldn't end up better that I accidentally got folded." So there is. I bet there was some raising on the flop. I think I capped it on the flop. Anyway, turn very safe card, like like a three of spades or something. Still had the nuts. And I bet, call, call, call. Or I think it was two calls. I bet two calls the, the turn. The river, a ten of clubs. Couldn't couldn't pick much worse. Like, a, a, really, the, the, the two cards that I least wanted to see were the ten of clubs or the queen of clubs. So I got the ten of clubs. And sure enough, somebody had ace-queen offsuit and beat me. Okay. Well, uh, so, so the, and, the, and, and, and but but you said you had a, that was just one bad hand. You but that was so that, that was that, that was an eleven hundred dollar pot that went to the other guy instead of me, and, uh, and nobody had clubs. Turned out the clubs were meaningless. Nobody had them. The winner was Ace Queen Offsuit, and uh, the hand after that, I took another bad beat. I forgot. I think I flopped a set again and lost. Anyway, what it, I started losing every hand, and uh, um, I. I just took an amazing beat down from that point, and uh, I wasn't tilting. I just was just running awful, and uh, eventually the game broke down to me and uh, and a fish heads up, and uh, the fish even he starts beating me. He just is is hitting every hand. And it was a real fish. Not I'm not being arrogant, going oh he's a fish because he's not me and I'm a great player. I, I he, it was like a legitimate fish. Who just wasn't good at all, and he's he's beating me because he's hitting every hand. 
But I, I wasn't that – I mean, I was very frustrated, especially after losing before that. But I said, okay, if, if he stays long enough, as long as he doesn't run off, I'll, I'll, I'll beat him. Problem was uh, he got disconnected and disappeared. And I could tell it wasn't him leaving. Like it's disconnected in the middle of a hand and vanished. So crap, that's, uh, that's not what I wanted to see. This guy wasn't even meaning to leave. So I sat hoping he'd come back. He did not come back. I sat and sat. Well, I decided to be stubborn. I decided it was like five in the morning. I figured he's probably just going to give up and not come back or be happy with the money he won. I was so determined to get some money back off the fish. I actually left myself sitting there alone at the table and sat there. And like 45 minutes later, someone sits down. It's all anonymous. So you can't see who it is. But someone sits down with the, with the same buy-in of $1,000 that he sat with last time. And $1,000 is not like a default buy-in there. So while it's not a shocking number to see. It's a, I don't see many sit with a thousand, so I thought it was a good chance it was him. But he had a very unique play style, so within like two hands, I could tell it was him. So he was back, thankfully. So I I clobbered him out of the thousand within like a few minutes. So I go, okay, great. Problem was instead of re, instead of uh, reloading, he left, and I knew he had more than that because he left with like twenty three hundred when he when he got disconnected. So I said, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be patient again. So I sat, and sure enough, in like another twenty minutes, he came back again. Sat within another thousand. Uh, this time it took a little longer, but uh, I got that thousand too. And then he reloaded immediately. And uh, and then we were playing. Then I was starting to beat him again. I almost beat him for a third thousand. And then he started to, to have a little bit of a comeback. And what was funny is by this point, he had actually, I'll give him credit, he learned from some of his mistakes and actually improved during the session. He actually became less of a fish during the session because he learned that some things he was doing were incorrect. Like he started emulating some things I was doing. It was interesting watching him evolve. He wasn't a good player by the end, but he was a lot better than he was he started as. Uh, so I also wasn't – like we were trading pots at that point between him improving a little bit and him just having some better luck. Uh, he was uh, – we were kind of trading pots back and forth, and uh, and then just he, he just abruptly left. So I, I got – So how did you end up? Well, I, I lost more than 4,000 still. That was a th- sad thing. I like I, I won. Oh, you lost four. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I, yeah, I, I won back like – I won back like 2,500 off of him. But I still lost over four thousand. It shows you how badly I was doing before that. So oh, I, I'm, correct, I'm, right. I'm glad I'm glad I stayed so, I'm glad I stayed around. But but it still sucks. And then and then I go I can't even play tomorrow night, meaning tonight because I'm doing radio. So I'm going to have to hopefully get some of that back on uh, on Sunday night. But uh, that does, that's frustrating. You may or may not know this, and, and some of the listeners may or may not know this. But uh, believe it or not, um, if, if you live in Nevada, you cannot play on ignition poker. Yeah, most of them know that it's, uh, and they do that because oh, okay. they're trying. They're yeah. trying to avoid. Kind of they're trying to avoid any kind of trouble. They don't want. They, right. they don't want the Nevada exactly. government coming after them. They want to keep the law enforcement at a minimum. I, I used to play uh, on on Bovada before they turned over to um, ignition um, quite a bit, and then I got uh, you know tried to log on one day and couldn't log on. And I get this nice little letter saying, "Hey, you're." From a Nevada, you're a Nevada resident, and you can't play. So, you know, I thought, well, I can just pretend not to be a Nevada re- resident, use a VPN and all that type of stuff. But uh, they were like, uh, I mean, I didn't tell them that, but uh, I basically said, well, what if I move um, somewhere else? And they're like, yeah, you can then continue to play, but you need to send in proof yeah. that you are no longer a Nevada resident, and this, that, and the other thing. So, 
I just basically just said screw it. To, well, they were smart because they're they're there. they're kind of wise to some of this stuff. And like the, with the VPNs, they actually have a list of a lot of the IPs of the VPNs. And if they see those show up, then they're just going to shut down your account and take your money. So you've got to. They're kind of a hard site to screw around with at this point because they're really paranoid about a lot of things, and uh, and they will just like freeze your account and, and not pay you if if you screw around. So they. I, I wouldn't – if I lived in Nevada, I wouldn't try to pull this unless I didn't have – if you don't have an account yet and you have set it up as a California account. But I'd still be afraid of the VPN thing because they they do have a list of a lot of the VPNs and the IPs that the VPNs uh, uh, resolve to. So they, a lot of times they know and it's hard to tell what they know about and what they don't. So that's that's a problem. If you Now, if you could do it by, by – like one way you could do it is if you didn't previously have a Nevada account – and you you team th- team viewed through a, a, a relative or a very trusted friend, a, a computer, and connected that way. That that could be a way to do it. Here, we have another phone call. Let's throw them on here. It's another Vegas person. I don't recognize the number. We'll see who it is. Caller, you're on the air. Yeah, sorry, I lost you. I hit, hit the wrong button. Oh, that was so. you. I, I, I was going. I, I thought we're getting another Vegas person calling in. No, nah, that was me. I, I, I lost contact. You I, didn't I, even notice I was gone. Was no, no, gone. I just I was, I was just <laughs> ranting and I was like, "Here is rambling on." Yeah, I was like, why, why is Axel Wolf being so quiet? An hour later, I call back. You know, it's been worse before. Where I've I've sometimes rambled on when I don't even know the show's off the air, and then I find out that the last like fifteen minutes uh, nobody listened to me, and I, I've just been talking to myself. That 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 that, that is funny. So I want to get back. I want to get back to uh, okay. So I guess we were, before I got off, we were talking about how I can't get on there, and yeah, uh, I just never mind. There's plenty of other places I can go. So uh, maybe in the future, I'll I'll try to figure out how to get on there. But back uh, back to what I was going to. Uh, I wanted to get more on. So what's your? Can you tell us what your hourly is when you're playing? No, I don't even keep on, track of it. On, I don't. I, I can't even tell you. It's not. It's not. I won't tell you. Oh, I can't tell man. you. No, I don't keep track. You know why? Because I just. I'm doing it either way, so I don't. Uh, I don't sit there worrying about the hourly. I just play, <clears> and <throat> then uh, then when I have. Well, I, I understand. I understand this. However, I I think that since you're known in the poker community, and uh, people, uh, you know, we we need people that we can trust, that we can ask and and get a legitimate take on what's going on in the poker world online, you know, because you're people, you know, we're hearing a lot of times, oh, it's so much tougher. It's not as good. I mean, I'm, I, I'm hearing from guys that generally are pretty good at poker and have played online before and they've done really well. And now they're basically saying they've just basically kind of given up because it's just not, well, it is, hard. it not is making anywhere near the hour. Yeah, it, it is harder than it was before. And then there's what I think has been overestimated, at least in the games I've played, is how much better the games have gotten since the coronavirus stuff started and people started playing more online. Uh, do are the games more active? Yes, not like tremendously more active, but yes, I am seeing games. Yeah, going... but with a lot more pros. Right. right. So, so I, I think there's. I think <laughs> there's have a, nothing else to do. I think there's a trade-off here where where they're getting more active and there are some more people entering, like that fish. Uh, Yesterday morning, that that uh, was at the end. There, I was very happy to have him in the game, but uh, but there are people that I see in the game that I can't tell who's who. But yes, when games go, sometimes I notice that everybody in the game is good, or everybody in the game is, is fairly good, and that uh, some of them may not have been there before. And I'm I'm not I'm not seeing like this huge influx of big fish. What I used to see, which doesn't occur so much anymore, was that uh, during NFL season, 
that you'd see a, a bigger influx of fish because you get the sports bettors that would also play on Bovada for the sports part, and then they would uh, take the money over to the poker side, and it was much better during football season than it was not football season. But uh, but then I didn't see that so much this past football season. And it had nothing to do with the coronavirus because the, the, the whole football season played out, as you guys know. So uh, it just was not the same as I had seen in other years where you'd see a marked worsening of the game after the Super Bowl. And uh, this year I didn't see as much of a difference, which was disappointing. So maybe you can keep track for us over your next 100 hours and tell us how you're doing. No, I'm not doing that. Okay, I, I'm going to move on here. Uh, have, you, have you heard of Jeremy Johnson, the telemarketing scammer from uh, from Utah? There are so many telemarketing scammers out there. This, this was the biggest of them all. This, 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 he was the biggest telemarketing scammer of all time. It was a $750 million scam. And uh, we covered him on this show a number of times, especially because he has a connection to online poker. Jeremy Johnson was one of the main payment processors at the time of Black Friday when Poker Stars and Full Tilt and all the sites got busted in, in 2011. Jeremy Johnson was one of the main payment processors at the time, and he was involved with getting that whole uh, SunFirst Bank set up in uh, St. George, Utah, to be uh, involved in the poker payment processing. That was one of his side businesses, but uh, the main thing Jeremy Johnson was doing was uh, a telemarketing scam, which blew up so huge that, as I said, it was a $750 million scam which uh, was one of those recurring billing scams where they'd, uh, they'd sell all kinds of things online, all kinds of services, and then start recurring billing on people once they give their credit cards and then just never let them turn it off. That, that pretty much was the scam. They just pretty much build, 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 build. And it would have been a little smarter if they did a negative checkoff scam where only those who complain they take it off. But they just decided, screw it. Right. We're just going to – not take it off for anybody and just hope it ends up okay. So he went on for this a long time, but his where he was smart, at least for a while, was he realized the way to get himself out of getting busted for this stuff is to cozy up with those who have a lot of power and influence. So he first of all, he gave a lot of money to charity. He eventually got to befriend not just one, but two different Utah attorneys general. And became personal friends with them and uh, took them on his private helicopter places and uh, really became close with, with both of them, one after the other. And he really got to know a lot of influential people who would help keep him out of trouble or warn him the trouble was coming. without all the underage women. Yeah, in, in a way. Uh, but he, yeah, he was... And, and everybody who met Jeremy Johnson said, oh, he seemed like a really nice guy. Like He seemed like a very, very nice guy in person and, and very generous with people, very generous with charities. It's, uh, so in the meantime, he's, he's scamming uh, $750 million through uh, these uh, telemarketing services. And he was also doing poker payment processing, which uh, somehow the government never went after him for, even though they had very strong evidence that he did. They went after other people who did it, including one we had on the show uh, Chad Ellie, they didn't go after him. They went after him for the scams, which were separate from all that. Uh, Jeremy Johnson is also the one who uh, m- he made recordings 
sometimes the people that he met up with, I, I guess because he thought maybe he could use them later in making deals, uh, he had a recording of uh, a, someone telling him to make a, uh, a million-dollar donation to Harry Reid, who was uh, the Senate Majority Leader at the time, that uh, if he makes a million-dollar donation to Harry Reid through some shady account set up in another country, and Harry Reid is known to take bribes. like He's, he's very known for that over the years. He never got busted for it, but the, the, the rumors have been going around for a very long time that, that Harry Reid took bribes. So he was told through, a, through an intermediary that he actually recorded that if he makes this million-dollar bribe to Harry Reid, that Harry Reid will switch his position on legalizing online poker. Now, it wasn't Jeremy Johnson's million. Jeremy Johnson did actually put the million in that account. But it came from Full Tilt. Basically, Jeremy Johnson, who was processing payments for Full Tilt, was told by this intermediary of Harry Reid that if a million dollars ends up in Harry Reid's secret account offshore, that Harry Reid will abruptly change his position on legalizing online poker. What do you know? Right around then, Harry Reid did do an about face and change his position on online poker. Didn't end up mattering. But he did, and the million-dollar bribe was made. Why didn't Harry Reid ever go to jail for this? Because there was a block. Uh, Eric Holder, who was the uh, uh, Attorney General at the time of the, of the U.S., that he chose that he was not going to uh, cooperate with any investigation here. It was, it was a partisan thing. They wanted to protect Harry Reid. Uh, a, a Democratic appointee was the Attorney General. So they, the state of Utah wanted to investigate this. They just got no cooperation from the federal government at the time, and uh, nothing happened. But it, it seems, from all evidence that was done, by, there were some investigations by newspapers and stuff, it really does look like that Full Tilt really did donate a million dollars to a secret account of Harry Reid's to get him to change positions, and Jeremy Johnson's not only the one who facilitated it, but actually recorded the the the, the where, he, where this was pitched to him, that he that he was asked to do it. And I've played that before on this show. Anyway, there's a reason I'm talking about this now. That's all old news. Jeremy Johnson did get a uh, lengthy prison sentence. I forget how long, but he got a, uh, a lengthy prison sentence for the telemarketing scams. And it looked like that uh, he was going to be away for a long time. However, Jeremy Johnson is now a free man. Jeremy Johnson posted on his Facebook, which I didn't even know existed, but he posted on his Facebook that he was free. And uh, the Facebook page, if you want to see it, is called uh, Evil Orange Cat. This is because he has orange hair. If you go to facebook.com slash evil orange cat, then you can see his open Facebook page. You don't have to be a friend of his. And he actually announced that uh, he was free on his own Facebook page. He put on May 22nd, and it's a picture of him and his wife and two kids. The rumors are true. So, so happy to be home. So he was freed. I'm not sure what the reason for that was, but he was freed. I don't know if it's coronavirus related or if uh, he just got paroled somehow. But he's out a lot sooner. Okay, so when, when had he been in there, or how long had he been in jail? Um, 
let me see. I, I found an article here in the St. George News. It says a St. George businessman who spent several years in prison has returned home. Uh, he, he was sentenced to 11 years in 2016. And uh, he was uh, then he, he was resentenced later to serve 87 months, which is still more than seven years. And this is in uh, starting from 2016. So he still should have been there for longer, though he'd be probably in the middle of that sentence now. But it looks like that uh, it was uh, it was because of uh, a coronavirus concern that he was actually let out. So he's uh, he's out early. And uh, and, and how much of money do you think he still has? That's a good question. I that's I'm sure it's hidden somewhere. I'm sure he has some hidden somewhere. He. Uh, uh, now there's someone who was very happy to see him released, and I know you don't know. I don't know if you know the poker community that well. I know you're. More... I, I know some. Okay, well... I, I I know some. I do play some. I have played some in the past, but certainly not in touch as much as some, some of you guys are. Well, there's a, there's a woman who plays poker, who plays for a living, and I'm sure most of you have heard the name Danielle Anderson. Apparently is a friend of Jeremy Johnson's, which is very surprising to me. Because Danielle Anderson is not shady whatsoever. She's a, a married woman who's a mom who, who plays poker for a living, has a good reputation, uh, actually frequently posts on Twitter about ethical issues. This is not like the type of girl you'd expect would be friends with Jeremy Johnson. However... She posted as a response to his announcement on his Facebook that he's been released. What? Oh my, yes, SSSSS. This makes me so happy. And she puts hearts. Which is really surprising for me to see from Danielle Anderson. Because for sure this guy was a telemarketing scammer, a big time telemarketing scammer. And it's, I'm wondering why she did this. And, and someone named Rockasilly on my forum posted that uh, he believes that Jeremy Johnson was actually one of her early backers. She used to he used to play on uh, full tilt as Ginetti 22, G I N E T T E 22. And he was a big fish by the way. He lost a ton of money on there though he didn't care as money he was stealing from uh, this scam. But he was a, a huge fish on full tilt at the very very high stakes. So I don't know how he got to know Danielle Anderson, but Rockasilly is claiming that Early in her poker career, he backed her, and they became friends. So she must have blinders on about uh, maybe about his guilt at all, because he he's attempted to assert that he wasn't guilty, and the government just set him up. And he released this funny video. I'll have to find it again. There's this funny video that was narrated actually by a cartoon character. There's actually a cartoon character on the screen narrating the video about why Jeremy Johnson is innocent, and the government set him up. And I watched it, and it was like super unconvincing, and it, it also like didn't directly address any of the real allegations against him. It kind of just danced around that and, and picked on a lot of minutia, which really was suspicious. Like if if he was innocent of what he was being accused, do you think that cartoon character would be like directly attacking it? Instead, they're just dancing around it and picking all these little things on the side that really didn't matter very much, and, and ignoring the main part of the case. And and it was what was also funny about the video. Not only was it a cartoon character, but the voice of the cartoon character sounded like a seventeen-year-old. 
so it, it was very hard to take seriously anyway. You're watching this video where a cartoon character is trying to show you how Jeremy Johnson is innocent, and it sounds like a, a teenage kid telling it to you, looking like a cartoon. And so anyway, the, I have a feeling that Danielle Anderson just drank the Kool-Aid and, and believed that he's innocent because that's uh, – if you look at her Twitter, she's definitely not one that comes off as a person who just – doesn't care, like who wouldn't care that they're friends with a, the career scammer who ripped off people for $750 million collectively. She totally doesn't seem like that type at all. And it's one thing for her to say, okay, well, I like him personally. He backed me early on. He's always been nice to me. I don't like the fact that he uh, that he was a career scammer and that he ripped off people for hundreds of millions, but whatever, I'm still going to be friends with him. But, to, but like to come out on his Facebook page and like say how happy she is like publicly like that is... Maybe she thought no one's going to see it. I don't know, but that was—I would never guess in a million years that she would be friends with him. But apparently, she is. Unless she thinks he actually is innocent. She probably does. That's that's my guess. Is she's—he probably told her he was, gave some convoluted explanation. She probably is like, okay, that, that's that's all I needed to hear. She probably does, she probably doesn't want to think very critically of that the, the very strong evidence against him that they had. And it looks very clear to me that he was. And I, I don't care about the payment the processing stuff. Like, uh, without the payment processors, I couldn't even have played in those days. Like, the, the, the payment processors needed to exist for online poker to exist. I wasn't going to be one and risk it for myself. But those that chose to do it, like, whatever, they, they took the risk and some of them got in trouble for it. And that's the way it goes. I, I don't feel bad for those that got in trouble for it because they knew they were breaking the law. They're making a lot of money because they're willing to break the law. But at the same time, like, I don't hold anything against anyone who payment processes or did it back in those days, as long as they were honest when they did it, as long as they didn't steal. But, uh, so that part doesn't bother me that he was payment processing. It was the, uh, the scamming, the, the telemarketing scamming on a super large scale. And I guess he has COVID-19 to think cause he is out. I don't know for how long the sentence was supposed well, to. It, 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 it sounds like he still knows some people in some, high places and uh, they needed a way to justify letting getting him out and they pushed hard and here's the perfect excuse or reason. Yeah. He also got in trouble with the SEC prior to that for uh, for uh, with involving a scam with penny stocks and that was before he moved on to the the whole telemarketing scam. So he is out. This hasn't been reported very much. But he is, and uh, both attorneys general were charged, by the way, for their assistance that they gave to Jeremy Johnson to avoid prosecution. So both of them got in trouble. There are two different attorneys general from Utah that uh, got charged for this. So it wasn't just him who went down. So he is out of prison. Now, do I think he's much of a danger out of prison? No. Like, I, I, don't, I, I think he's not going to commit crime while he's out. I, I feel better with him being released than uh, violent criminals who are going to go right back out and commit more violent crime. I think he's probably going to keep his nose clean while he's out. But do I think he deserved to be in longer than he was? Yes. See, that was a very major scam he committed for $750 million. <laughs> That's a, you can't scam money like that and just only expect to spend a few years in prison. So that, and how long did it take him to make this... Uh... $750 million. Or not, not even that long. That I, I, I mean, I, I, less than 10 years for sure. It wasn't even that long. 
And it, and it was, took that long to, uh, to figure out, to get him, to figure out what he was doing, huh? I, I, I don't know what, I don't know how, I forgot how long it went. I, I don't remember all those little details of the story. I covered it at the time. It's It's been some years since I last covered it. But, uh, yeah, like eventually, like like everything, a lot of times you can get away with this for a short time, and then once the feds take an interest in it, then they've got to take some time laying out a case and all that, and they were, they're watching him, and they're, they're trying to build as good of a case as possible so they don't jump on him right away. And um, am I understanding here, too? Didn't, wasn't Billy Walters let out early because of the... Was he? I, I didn't hear about that. It's very possible. A lot of people have been. Some some famous, uh, a lot not. Yeah, there would be a lot more talk about that. Billy Walters, he's a big... He's a pretty big deal, especially in the gambling world. I mean, that should have been flying around the poker world pretty big. I may have. I didn't even that. know he was in jail. Did you talk about that, Trump? I don't think you spoke about it. I may not have. Really? That was a pretty big deal. I'm huh. going to look mean, this I, up right I, now. I mean, if you're in the gambling industry at all, or or advantage play, or or sports betting, or poker, or anything like that, you got to know who Billy Walters is. Well, he was, you're right, he was out of jail. Uh, in He was released from prison on uh, May 7th, it looks like, because of the coronavirus, because he is 73, and it was going around in the prison there. So they decided at 73 he was in the vulnerable popu- population, and they released him. And, I mean, I, I don't agree with that. I mentioned on a previous show how I feel about the coronavirus in prison and releasing people. I think certain people to release them with an ankle monitor on house arrest with the understanding that they are going to go back when the danger passes, if they're not violent and if the white collar crime they committed was not super major, then fine. But uh, anyone violent and anybody who committed a really major scam who uh, is in prison for that, that they, they should remain there. And why? Because prison's dangerous. I mean, that's not the only danger in prison. There's a lot of dangers in prison. It's, it's not supposed to be a nice, safe place. In my opinion, and of course, I don't know all the facts and details, but that, I don't think Billy Walter's uh, crime was so egregious that, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, he, he's, he was, insider. yeah, it was insider trading. Yeah. You know, I, I'm more for keeping violent criminals uh, and people like you said that are doing egregious scamming of people. Yeah, you know, like the telemarketing thing or something like that. That's just horrific. But eh, a little insider trading. I don't know. No, for I'm him, I so... agree. For him, I agree. It's not as bad as someone uh, an insider trader versus a, a major scammer or someone violent. Uh, I, I definitely pick the insider trader to be. Release, especially if he's seventy three, and there, there you can at least make a real case that his life is in danger. And that's the other problem. They, they've been releasing criminals in prison because of the coronavirus who are like thirty years old with no health conditions. I'm like, what are they protecting them from? Like, such a tiny percentage of people that age get severe symptoms. What what are they even doing? Like, what? And, and again, pr- prison is not known to be a place where you're safe from anything happening to you. There's, there's a lot of problems in prison that can befall you just from the fact that you're in prison with a lot of bad people. And that's, that's one of the reasons you want to stay out. So that's uh, like, I, I, I could see why they would 
like you shouldn't they shouldn't force the coronavirus on you but uh the, the fact that it's going around there i don't think is a reason to release the, the people that can cause uh that have already done very bad things that's just as far as i'm concerned part of the punishment but uh for the more minor things or or, or scams that didn't reach high levels uh those people if they want to release them on a temporary basis until this passes with an ankle monitor that's fine i can understand that but uh yeah, I don't. I don't agree with the Jeremy Johnson release, the the Billy Walters release. That one, eh, okay, that's that's more reasonable, especially because of Walters' age, and that has to be looked at too. And that's that's that goes back to the dishonesty that we've seen from the government about the coronavirus. Is that they, while they admit that the seniors are more vulnerable, there's been uh, there's been too much narrative that oh everybody is vulnerable. Uh, yes, the seniors are more vulnerable, but everyone needs to watch out. And they're not being honest. It's, it's, it's not honest. The, the honest truth is the young people are pretty safe. The middle-aged people are going to get severe symptoms and probably not die, but probably they really want to avoid it because a lot of bad things can happen. And the old people, they really have to watch out. That, that's the truth. And they should they should base any, any kind of releases based upon that. Uh, they should say in prison, okay, the, the healthy 30-year-old, we're not kicking him, we're not kicking him loose because he's not in danger. But the young people are spreading it to the older people. Well, they they are, but that's... I'm talking about just in general. Well, then that's why they were doing it. They were the, the, the reason for that narrative is because the only way to get the young people to take it seriously and not spread it to the older people is to scare them and make them feel as if they are in big-time danger to have severe symptoms or die as well. And if you don't get their fear to make them buy into the whole thing, they're afraid that the young people are just, are just not going to take it seriously. It was sim- I, I compared it to 30 years ago when the same lie was told about heterosexual men and AIDS. That uh, the truth was, if if you didn't use intravenous drugs and didn't have gay sex, you were not going to get HIV. There's a tiny chance if you were if you were a heterosexual man. A woman, yeah, woman, women were in real danger, uh, and and so were gay men, and so were people who used intravenous drugs. But heterosexual men who didn't use intravenous drugs and really were heterosexual and didn't do gay stuff on the down low, they were very unlikely to catch HIV in the U.S. And the statistics showed that the whole way, and they tried to hide that as much as possible. Why? Because they, the only way to get heterosexual men to take it seriously and, and also not to object to funding for it is to make them feel afraid of it too. So it's kind of a similar story that to get a large portion of the population to buy in to take it seriously, you've got to make them feel like they're in much more danger than they are. And that's uh, that's I don't like things like that because I I don't care if it's a lie told for good reasons. I just don't like when the public is lied to or misled. I think you should put out the truth, and then you can qual- you you can qualify the truth with how you feel people should handle it. Like tell the young people, yes, you're you're probably only going to get mild symptoms. You're probably not going to really suffer from this. A few of you will get very unlucky and die or get very sick, so you're not totally out of the woods. But uh, but yes, if you're under 35, you're probably not going to have very much trouble with this. But keep in mind, you're going to spread this to people who are older than you who will have severe symptoms and who will die. So please keep that in mind. Like, just be honest with people. Don't, don't lie and say and, – and, and, put out anecdotal evidence of the super unlucky healthy 26 year old that died from it i'm talking about covid now not aids but uh it's i just i don't ever believe in lying to the public for their own good 
I think that if you're going to put out something, you should put out the truth. I'm not saying the government shouldn't have secrets. They, they need to have secrets. But they anything they're going to put out should be the truth and not feel, well, we have to lie or the, otherwise the public will do the thing we don't want them to. And that, it's too bad. I, I, want to, I, I really just... I really like just believe it. I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, and I'm not one. I just want to be able to believe what I'm told, but unfortunately I can't, and you start looking at it, and it's like the mask thing. Oh, masks, don't wear masks because uh, they won't help you. It may even make things worse. And then they admitted later, oh, yeah, we actually lied about that because healthcare workers were having trouble getting them. So we were trying well, to... I didn't, believe the whole, I didn't believe the whole fact that masks wouldn't help at all. I started wearing a mask very early on, um, even when they, because I, I just couldn't fathom how a mask couldn't help some. Maybe I, I didn't believe it was like going to prevent me 100% from getting it, but I thought, I, I thought, well, even if this helps 10%, why wouldn't I do it? So uh, we got masks early on, and we were we were wearing them before the lockdown. Even yeah, the thing I didn't understand was like, okay, if it's not helping us, how is it helping healthcare workers? <laughs> If, right. if, if, if they're useless, then why are they needing them? So they, obviously they weren't useless. And they... Yeah, yeah, that, that that was a little strange. And 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 they admitted they admitted they lied. They admit so we lied, but it was for a good reason. It's, we we needed to get to the healthcare workers, and people weren't listening. And people were buying them up. So they, the only way we could stop people from doing that is lying about it. So sorry, guys. But I hate that. I I hate the we're, we're lying to you for your own good crap. But now I'm wondering. Okay, so we we have the the, the N95 masks. Yeah. And, and legitimate masks, but then they're telling everybody just whatever mask you want to put on. Now, how is that helping? Well, what they're, I, I understand what they're saying with that. It, that part makes sense to me. The N95 is that's that's the best type of mask that really prevents uh, that 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 not only keeps people safe from you, it also keeps you safe from them. It just it doesn't allow the respiratory particles through. The uh, right. the, the the other masks what you're basically doing it's it's reducing things and it's the, the other the masks you're wearing just the non-n95 masks they're not protecting you for the most part it's mostly protecting others from you uh, uh, but so do you, are, are are you saying that the n95s are going to help if you're wearing that you're pretty certain that's going to help uh you from getting it i i believe so but they're hard to come by and it's and not it, it, what percentage like, is it a 50%? I, I, that I, I don't know. I, I don't know how effective they are. I don't know how, I don't even know if they know that. But there, right. there, there well, is, I, I mean, there, there, there is a, supposedly a benefit from having that on. But we'll, like, the thing is that they are constantly changing things and, and they'll find between lies they're telling on purpose and things that they just don't know and believe one way and then come to later believe the other. So there's there's a lot changing. That's why anything put out there, and we're about to, we're going to get to the coronavirus segment of the show very shortly. But anything they put out there, I always take with a grain of salt. Not even just that they may not be honest, but also they may just be wrong for the moment, and that they may not realize it. And so I I try to wait for any news about the coronavirus to kind of stick for a while before I really take it seriously that that what they're saying is true. Okay, I want to talk about something that happened in Vegas. Maybe you heard about this. Uh, there was a robbery of a casino that happened uh, within a week of the reopening. This was at the New York, New York casino. There was a cage robbery, which uh, I don't know if the person was planning it for a long time, but they decided to hit New York, New York within a week of when it reopened. Unfortunately for this robber, he didn't get away with it. 
He got caught. Oddly, they have not identified this person yet, which is surprising. It took place on uh, June 11th, and they robbed the cage at 2 a.m. They approached the cage and demanded cash, got the cash, and uh, left the property with, quote, money in hand. They did not reveal how much was stolen, but they apprehended the suspect within two hours of it occurring. I don't know how they did that either. They just said they apprehended him. The weird thing was that uh, they did not identify the person, and they still haven't from what I can see. I Googled it before the show began. I could not find the person was identified, which is weird. Like, what, Why are they not putting that out there? The police arrived at New York, New York at 2.06 a.m., and they that was pretty quickly after the casino employees called 911 about the matter. It says, uh, Lieutenant David Gordon of the Las Vegas police said that a white male suspect was at large after absconding with the money. Uh, what specific method the robber used to rob New York, New York remains unknown. Looks like they just didn't put out much information about this. Uh, at 3.45 a.m., they made an arrest, and they did not release any further details other than that they were pretty certain they got the right guy. That's really what I wonder of how they found him so quickly. Unless Do you think they're not releasing his name and identity because he's underage or something like that? No, I, mean, I, the reason. I, I maybe they're still trying to investigate some things. They don't want it to be complicated by, by I, who knows. It, it's It's always weird when this happens. I also wonder how they figured it out so fast. So it's just like a white male. Okay, like what do they do? Search for every white male within Las Vegas. So maybe someone recognized him. Maybe there was some insider element to this, or he's been there before, and someone had remembered him using his player's card under a certain name. Something must have led them to this guy because there's no way just like a white male of a certain description robs New York, New York, and they just find him around Vegas an hour and a half later, even late, late at night like that. Like, uh, and and is the, do you really think the guy's just kind of milling around Vegas after robbing New York, New York? I doubt that. I'm sure he went back home or went to go hide somewhere. So they they found him at 3:45. I'd, I'd love to know more about what happened here. So I was reading on the forum. Uh, it might even been on your. Uh, Vegas Casino Talk Forum, um, and I think it was Dark Oz that brought it up. But he was saying that there was a robbery at a casino on the East Coast. But uh, the, you know how they caught the guys that were doing it was on their way in the casino, they both swiped their players' cards. That's funny. Uh, that, I mean, that's one of the dumbest <laughs> things you can do. <laughs> you got to be joking. Well, it'd be and funny, maybe, maybe to get, not. was it for parking or something? Maybe they wanted to park for free, and they're like, well, I'm a platinum member at Caesars, I can park for free. Maybe that's what happened. I'm not even joking. Uh, maybe I that's... don't think parking, but I think they just swiped their players. Maybe they needed to pick up their $5 in free play, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, some of these criminals are just really, really dumb, and they're like... Do you why they put these... Uh... Uh, you know, back in the day, they didn't have all the, the bars and the uh, glass and stuff like that protecting these cages. Um, and back in the day, I guess what ended up happening was there were these gang members, maybe out of L.A. or something like that, and they were having these underage kids actually hit Las Vegas and they, as part of the initiation. Um, and there were these two rival gang members that came together to recruit these kids 
that would actually drive up to the casino's run and just jump through the end of the cage and get all the money and jump out and get in their car and drive away. Oh, I never knew that's why. They, I always thought I thought the glass was just so they couldn't uh, shoot them easily with a bulletproof glass in the way. I thought that's what it was. But exactly. they didn't have all the glass and the and, and, and the the bars and all that stuff. It was just open. It was just like going up to a counter. You'd go in and you do your business and that. There wasn't all these. Uh, uh, and then they started installing these all over because these kids were running. Just they would just literally park their car outside, run in, just jump through the the uh, over the counter and demand money and run out, jump in their car, and then they would drive back to wherever they came from and split up the. It's a very interesting story. You could probably find it somewhere online. Yeah, Inter- interesting history. That's. Pretty Sorry. crazy. I, I mean, that's, no, that's that's interesting. I never knew that's why they put in the. I always assumed it was just because they were trying to protect them more, where it's harder to shoot people. I, I hadn't thought of jumping in there. I didn't know about underage kids doing it, but it makes sense. So I, I wonder if this guy who did it, if he was really just waiting for the reopening, he was like, uh, okay, okay, let's let them reopen. Just, as soon as they reopen, I'm going to rob one of these places. I'll, let, I'll give them a little time to get start getting some people back here, and then I'm going to do it. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Okay, they're going to reopen. Okay, next week's the day. But they didn't say how much he got, or if he went up no, with cash. Or... No, they, they, he got cash. They said he got cash and, and ran out with it. That's all they said. That he, he robbed it. They don't say. They don't even say if he had a gun. They just said that he robbed it. He robbed the cage. They gave, he got cash. He ran out with it, and then less than two hours later, they arrested him. He was a white male. That's all we know. It was New York, New York. Yeah, man. I, I mean, I don't want to get up any ideas on your out on your radio show, but there just seems like. Uh... There'd be a lot easier way to make a lot more money if you're willing to do something that brazen that you're probably going to get caught doing. It almost just seems like there's so many other things you could do that would make you a ton more money with a lot less risk of getting caught. Well, there was that Michael Cohen guy who kept robbing the Bellagio. casino or something, you know. (laughs) (laughs) It was this Michael Cohen guy who kept robbing the, the Bellagio poker room. And, uh, and and he kept wearing this disguise that kind of made him look like uh, Humpty Hump from those uh, Digital Underground videos. And and so he, he did this a few times and got away with it, but he just kept going back to the Bellagio poker room. So finally uh, he, he ran into bad luck. He actually got away with it a few times and actually robbed some other place and got away with it. But the, his undoing, strangely enough, was that he had the bad luck of robbing the Bellagio poker room when the police were already there to investigate a pedophile who had arranged to meet a 12-year-old girl that he knew for a ch- through a chat room at the Bellagio. So like this, some pervert, it was a, some middle-aged pervert, had been uh, chatting with a 12-year-old, who he knew was a 12-year-old, online, and the guy and the pervert heard from the... Tw- was it a real 12-year-old, or was it one of these... No, 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 it was a real 12-year-old. It was a real 12-year-old he was talking to from a chat room. And he arranged to meet her at the Bellagio when her family took a trip to Vegas. I don't know if he was from Vegas, but oh. I know that, that his, her family was taking a trip to Vegas. And the plan was that uh, she separates from them at some point and they go be together. And so that's what they did. The girl went and met him and then he went off with her. And, of course, the big flaw in that plan was the family was like, where's our daughter? So so uh, I don't think – I don't know if he kidnapped her. I just, I just know he met her and, and – uh, the plan was to just go off with her and have sex or whatever. So the family noticed their 12-year-old daughter was gone and panicked and called the police. And the police rushed down there because the 12-year-old girl was missing. So so they were there at Bellagio. They found through security footage, they found the pervert in the footage, and he hadn't left the property yet, and they, they arrested him. 
So they had just finished arresting this pervert, meeting the 12-year-old girl, and they were standing in the North Valet area, the one that uh, most poker players use. And out comes Michael Cohen, who had just robbed the Bellagio poker room, totally unaware that cops were standing right there for a different reason. So he, uh, he, he, he runs out, and I don't, know if, I don't even know if he saw the cops or not, but what he was trying to do was he tried to carjack someone to get away. And he, so he like knocks on the window of a car in the valet and shows the gun to them. But they, instead of rolling, instead of getting out and rolling down the window, the person just got out of there and was trying to get their car out of there. So this got the police's attention. Like, what the hell's going on here? They, they, they see him with the gun. So they say to him, like, hold it right there. And he pulls the gun out and shoots one of the police in the chest. But this officer was fortunate enough to have a bulletproof vest on. So he fell over, but the police, but it didn't uh, penetrate his vest. And then, and then Michael ran, and one of the other cops chased him and shot him in the back of the head, and that was the end of Michael Cohen. So I, I still find it a little mind-boggling that a twelve-year-old girl would say, "Hey, I think it's a good idea to meet this older guy uh, in the casino." <laughs> That's just strange enough to me right there. Oh, no, that happens all the time, sadly. What happens is these guys, uh, they, they chat with these girls online, and they convince them that they're really nice. And a lot of times these, they, they, they seem re- – to these girls, they seem really nice and harmless. They give them a lot of uh, compliments, and they, uh, they, they – it's called grooming. They slowly gain the, the child's trust, and then eventually – And then they eventually – and then once it seems like the kid's receptive to it, then they start slowly working in a sexual angle there too – and then they eventually arrange to meet them, and a lot of times the kids trust them by this point and go meet them. Now, not every 12-year-old would be vulnerable to this, but there, there are more than you'd think that would be vulnerable to this, and this, this girl was. But, uh, but it, was, it was only because of that that they caught Michael Cohen. He'd gotten away with it so many times. It just happened the police were right there. I mean, talk, talk about bad luck for him that uh, that had occurred. And, uh, and the reason the police were right there at the North Valet exit where he ran out to is because they had positioned themselves there to prevent the pervert from leaving. And they had just gotten the news. Hey, we, we, we found the pervert in, in Bellagio. We, we arrested him. So the police were just about to leave. And, uh, but they were still out there. And then this whole thing, they see this guy try to carjack. And then, uh, the whole thing fell apart for Mr. Cohen and he got shot dead. So there was, it was on video because it happened at the, at the North Valet. We, you got to see the whole thing on video. You got to watch him shooting the, the police officer, the police officer falling down, and then the other guy chasing him and, and firing a shot, and you see Michael Cohen going down, who was actually not killed instantly. He was, on, uh, he was in critical condition and then eventually died. And he, he had been robbing things since, like, 2008. He'd robbed banks. This, this was a guy who shouldn't even have been out of prison. This guy had, like, this is like a career bank robber who somehow was not in jail anymore. And then he decided he's going to start robbing wow. poker rooms. So that's yeah, a uh, like some of these people never change. Like someone who just keeps robbing banks over and over, they're not going to reform. It's it's. Have you have you ever been in a situation where you've been held up or robbed or no? And unfortunately, like I, I was fortunately I was never like the Bellagio poker room has been robbed by other people in the past too, and uh, it, it was actually thought to be more than one person when it was him, but uh, there's been others who robbed it before him. And fortunately, none of those times I was actually present for that. I've, I've actually never been present where a crime was committed with a gun. Uh, either not, not just not against me, but I think anywhere. Like it hasn't. I haven't even been present while it happened. I've come did close. How much cash? Or did actually, did has it ever been? Did, I know they don't usually tell the amounts, 
but uh, like, how much cash are they getting for that? Oh, you can get a lot. I think these. I think they were getting like. I think Michael Cohen was getting like low six figures every time out of the poker room. And now some of it was in chips, which he had to redeem slowly. And uh, and I know from experience with Bellagio that if it's a five thousand chip or more, they put a lot of effort into determining whether you should have it. So really, uh, if you get any chips. I shouldn't be giving people these tips, but if if you have robbed the Bellagio and have chips of five thousand or more, you might as well throw them in the garbage because it's going to be unless you knew, knew, unless you know somebody who can uh, redeem them for you and and give a legitimate story for how they would have it, uh, they're not going to cash it for you. I've I've even been harassed before, legitimately obtaining five thousand dollars chips there. That's why I won't take them anymore. One time I played a twenty four hour session at, at, at Bellagio, and did well. And and then I, I was just too tired at the end of it to to go bother cashing out, so I just uh, I just uh, put the chips in my pocket and walked away. And, and I came back about eight hours later. They didn't believe me that I, that I got the five thousand dollar chip legitimately. And I said I was just playing for twenty four hours here. And this was before they had the card system at the table. And the floor man's like, "Well, I don't remember you there." I said, "I was here for twenty four hours. How can you not remember me here? I was at one hundred, two hundred. I was right here." Like he just wouldn't believe me and treated me like a criminal. And I said, well, go check the cameras. They said, I can't believe you're saying that. Like, I was getting more and more pissed that they weren't believing me here. And finally, the guy very reluctantly, without checking anything, let me cash it out. But he was super skeptical. And I said after that, I'm never taking one of these $5,000 chips here again. Because the, th- the thousands, they don't bother you. You could, uh, you, you can cash in five single $1,000 chips, and they say nothing. You bring in one $5,000 chip, and they treat you like you stole it. So, and there was a guy who actually robbed the Bellagio... Of, and had twenty five thousand dollars chips that he did. He robbed a, a blackjack game, and uh, and he got away on a motorcycle. And uh, it. Uh, I remember. Yeah, he remember he that. stupidly tried to sell them on two plus two. <laughs> he went on two plus two, oh, and he actually no, he, that I didn't know about that. I did. Oh, no, that, no. The that, funniest thing was he he called himself ocean, he called himself Ocean Spray twenty five in referring referring to the fact that they call those cranberries. He actually signed up as Ocean Ocean Spray Twenty Five on Two Plus Two and tried to sell them there. So they 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 traced the IP and got it. For the most part, not all the time, but for the most part, the people that are willing to commit these types of crimes are so stupid, um, and that's that's their down. I mean, they're. It's almost like you have to be stupid to be willing to correct, commit those types of crimes. Yeah, and that's what happens. Uh, and, it's and not like on TV where you see these. <laughs> These criminal masterminds who just do everything right have these ingenious plans that, that uh, and, it's, and it's only because the hero in the story on TV is, is so smart that they eventually catch them. But usually, the criminals are like this Ocean Spray Twenty Five guy that just do incredibly dumb things. Or, or it's because they're doing business with somebody else that maybe can't keep their mouth shut. They they always seem to have to tell somebody the story, or they have to let somebody know about something. Uh, and, and then that becomes their downfall. Maybe even many years later, or something. Like well, that's that. what happened. Goes out and buys a Ferrari, uh, you know. There was that awful story like that. in in uh, it was during or right before CES a few years ago when uh, that guy who was sleeping in his car got shot dead by people robbing cars there by a a young couple who were just robbing cars for fun, and even though they had it on video the video wasn't clear enough for them to get the license plate. So they probably would have gotten away with it. But the female half of the couple, who was 19, she was she couldn't keep her mouth shut. So she was so uh, 
it's funny, but she wasn't bothered enough when it happened that someone just got shot dead to stop. Like they continued breaking into cars for hours after this. But then later on, she just couldn't keep quiet about it that, that her boyfriend had just shot someone dead while they were robbing people or, or breaking. They were actually robbing people. They're trying to break into cars. And for some reason, her boyfriend just sees a guy sleeping in there, decides he wants to rob him and then, uh, just pretty much shot him dead for no reason. They, he just, uh, he just, Shot like shot. I think he knocked on the window, and a guy rolled it down. And he pulls a gun, and the the guy says, uh, "Don't do it." And he just shoots him. It was weird. So they uh, they would have gotten away with it probably, but the girl couldn't keep her mouth shut and starts telling people, "Oh my god, you don't know what just happened the other day. Something so awful just happens. This guy, you know, my boyfriend just shot someone." And so quickly, people went to the police, and they arrested her, and then she pointed them to him, and they they're both in jail. And so that's, yeah, people sometimes can't keep their mouth shut either. I, uh, back in the 90s, I don't know if you remember, maybe the late 90s, I don't know the exact year, but uh, there was a rash of uh, the bars around Las Vegas being hit frequently, being robbed, you know, because there's some pretty big gamblers in these bars sometimes, believe it or not. There's a lot of money flying around, especially if you go out in some of the nicer neighborhoods and stuff. Um, but did you remember hearing about there was like these big rashes of what, these bars being robbed? No, I was, see, I wasn't you know, in Vegas I, at the time. I only visited, I, I came in as a tourist for uh, a few days at a time. I think it made the attention of the news everywhere. It wasn't just Vegas. Uh, but uh, they had some uh, good promotions uh, at a place called Bounty Hunters. And there was like a five or six of these places around town. And they had like double four of a kind coupons uh, up to like $200 or something like that. So it was a pretty a pretty good deal. And um, we got a bunch of these coupons and we would go around to the, 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 the bars and play them. And we just got quite a few of them. And, uh, but I was planning my vacation. So, uh, and they also had some good progressives in there as well at some times that would get up pretty high. And I played a few, but then I went on, I, I was just getting ready to go on a vacation that I had planned, even though I probably shouldn't have, I should have canceled my vacation to play these because you could play one at each bar and sometimes you can go back on another shift and play another one. So it was a little gold mine, but I had my vacation planned uh, for a while. So I, I went on vacation, but you know, my partners, they stayed back and they were playing in the bar. And uh, because of this, there was this rash of uh, robberies they just happened to be in one of these bars where this guy, his, I remember his name to this day, his name was Doyle Swarm. And uh, he came in there and robbed the joint. Now, this guy was a really bad guy. He had already shot and killed people, like tied up bartenders and shot him in the back of the head or something like that. I don't know the exact story. Um, and they came in there. Uh, there was like three of them, I guess. And uh, one of the... Uh, women that were there with my partners at the time was, was his girlfriend and she got very nervous. Um, and she actually had like a very expensive ring on. I think she took it and put it in her pocket. Um, but she was very nervous and I, I don't know if she started to cry or if she started to uh, just kind of get chatty or, or something, but the guy actually came up and put the head, uh, put a gun to her head and, or, or, or her, uh, my partner's head and said, uh, if she doesn't shut up, I'm going to blow her head off. And uh, so that was pretty scary for them. Um, they didn't want to go back in those bars for, at night for a long time, even though there was uh, good money to be made. Um, this Doyle swore apparently eventually 
uh, robbed the place and they chased him and he got in a car crash and uh, they ended up catching him or some some version of that. I don't remember the exact. Uh, so I was, I was hoping he was gonna, I was hoping he was going to die at the end of the story. He, he may have. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think he turned himself in at some point, and then he. I think he actually turned himself in, and then he escaped, and then he got in a car crash, and he might have died. I, oh. I think that's might have what happened. Okay. It's been many years. Uh, so I got. I. I. And I. I've had. I not went in on vacation. I probably would have been in there playing with them at the same time. So I got out of that, and then fast forward some years later. This is probably maybe I don't know 2009, 2008. Um, there's another really good bar promotion and. Uh, it was a place called the Brewery um, out over right near Sunset Park, and I was going in there quite frequently playing. And sure enough, there was another. It started up with the bar robberies again. It was kind of happening, um, but I felt pretty safe in this place. Um, I didn't think there would ever be a problem. And I was in there playing one night, and my father, um, who would sometimes come play with me. Um, just to have fun. He's not really an advantage player or anything like that. He knows about it, and he's done it in the past. But uh, anyways, he, he was in there playing, and I was playing the video poker, and I, I'm i like, I had enough. I was getting ready to go. Well, they had a couple pool tables in there, and me and him would shoot a couple games once in a while after we got done or before. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm getting ready to get out of here. He goes, all right, I'm going to hang out and shoot the rest of the balls off the table and uh, you know get a little practice. And I'm all right, so I ended up leaving. I think it was about five minutes later, guys come in with uh, shotguns and guns and masks and all that and end up robbing the place. Well, I don't know why, but sometimes people tend to want to protect their money. But my dad was, he was in the, the, the pool room, which is off to the right. And, you know, of course, they're going up, up to the bar. And my dad gets his wallet out. He had quite a bit of money in there, and he kind of drops it, you know, he's behind the pool table, so he can't maybe not really see what he's doing too much, and he drops it on the floor, and I guess he's kicking it on under the table a little bit. And uh, one of the guys actually see him doing something over there, and he trains the gun on him, and he goes, we're not after your money, stop moving, <laughs> um, or we'll blow your head off type of thing. So they ended up robbing the bar and getting out of there and getting away with it, I guess. And uh, so, yeah, I had just walked out right prior to being in wow. another situation where, uh, you know, and, and my dad was a little little paranoid after that going into bars, of course, and uh, it was a pretty scary thing. But other than that, I have never uh, been a victim of any of that type of stuff. Yeah, the, the closest I've ever been was uh, I actually worked in Compton in, uh, in the 90s, and, uh, and people used to ask, oh, are you afraid to work in Compton? I said, no, you know, during the day, it's fine. And I actually go to lunch there. Actually, where I worked, I actually had a cafeteria on premises, but I got sick of that real fast. I actually, I was going out into Compton and going to lunch in Compton. Well, uh, one of the days, I, I went to go to Jack in the Box to pick up food, and it was closed off with police tape. So I said, that's weird. I went back and uh, I went, went to something else. I read the next day in the paper that uh, an owner of a construction company Guy had a lot of money too. Uh, he was going through the drive-through, and uh, some, I think, as the teenagers, fourteen, fifteen-year-old, ran up to him with a gun and, and said, uh, "Get out of your car! I'm taking your car." And this guy had just bought this new expensive car, which uh, I don't know why he was so big at fighting for this because I'm sure it was covered on insurance, but uh, he refused. 
and he tried to fight this kid and not let him take his car, and his kid shot him dead. And that happened, uh, it turned out, uh, like 15 minutes before I came to that jack-in-the-box. And I was going to go through the drive-thru also. So that easily, if it shifted 15 minutes away, that like they, I guess they had just uh, gotten there. I, mean, I saw a police presence. It was the police tape. I saw a police presence over there. And so I knew something happened. But I didn't, I, I'd read the next day, I actually got shot dead in the drive-thru. I said, crap, if I came, if this was moved 15 minutes, then uh, it could have been me. Except I would, not, I would not have taken the action this guy took. If, if someone showed up to my car with a gun and said, give me your car, I would get out and say, okay, bye. <laughs> I wouldn't, uh, I, and then I'd call and report to the police and to my insurance company and, and get the car uh, paid for. I would not try to fight the guy with a gun. But that's what that guy tried, and it didn't work out. And uh, then they they actually put out, his company put out a uh, like a 25000 or $50,000 reward for information that leads to the arrest and conviction of the person who did it. And I guess someone must have claimed it because they, uh, the information came in pretty fast, and they, they found who did it. But it was, it was something I, underage. I, I have had a gun pulled on me, but it had nothing to do with being robbed for money. It was a, I've actually had a gun pulled on me twice, and it was always has to do with a, a woman. Every time. <laughs> so a, uh, woman, I, a woman? Did a woman pull the gun on you, or a, a guy did? No, because... no, so I was dating this uh, redhead, and uh, she had uh, previously... Uh, she was pretty young, but she had already been married, and uh, um, so her ex-husband... Um, and I, I, so I was dating her. She was split up from this guy, but they were still friendly. And I actually had become friends with him. Um, so we were cool. Um, not a big deal. Um, and I, I went over to his house one day with her because she wanted to pick up something or something. And like I said, I was cool with this guy. Well, Unbeknownst to me, his father was there, and his father basically just knew I was dating, uh, you know, his uh, his son's uh, ex-wife or whatever, and he did not like me just knowing. Know and when I came over there, um, he was sitting in the chair, and I sat down, and he got up, goes into the room, and he comes out with a revolver and basically points it at me and starts threatening me, saying all these type of things. Uh, I don't even remember everything he was saying, but basically, you know, he didn't like the fact that I was dating his uh, son's ex-wife and basically pulled the gun on me on that uh, because of that um, and gave me some long speech about something or another. I just kind of sat there, listened to the guy out, and that was out, and then we left, and... uh, she was amazed. She goes, I, I can't believe you just sat there. I was like, well, I, I don't really think I could have done anything. There wasn't anything I could do. And at that point, she goes, you were pretty calm. I was like, well, I, I, I didn't really get the feeling he was going to shoot me. So, But he was pretty angry, and he was yelling. Um, and then that same, be that same woman, uh, another time, um, we were out partying one night with friends and stuff like that, and me and her got in some type of fight. And, uh, well, I had two vehicles. She had, uh, we both drove separately and she drove one of my vehicles there and we got in some big fight. I can't remember what it was about. So 
she goes out to the car and takes off in my car. And, of course, it's my car. And I'm like, no, don't. you're not taking the car. Don't, don't, don't you think about it. But it doesn't matter. She gets in the car with her friend, takes off. So stupid me. You know, I'm young at this time. I, I, I decide to take off after them. And they're going pretty fast, and I'm trying to catch up. So I'm doing, I must have been doing 100 miles an hour down Sahara uh, in Las Vegas. And the next thing you know, I get pulled over by an unmarked police car. And he pulls out his gun. He's telling me to get out, get on the ground. I have to get out. I'm spread out on the ground. He has the gun on me. And he's just reading me the riot act on that. And what the hell's going on? I kind of just basically, I was honest, I explained him what was going on. And uh, he was actually pretty cool about it. About this time, the other cops pull up. And uh, he was basically told the other cops, he goes, Run him, run him for warrants if he doesn't have any, kick his ass and tell him to go home. And that was basically it. So that's the only two times I've had guns pulled wow. me. Well, see, it sounds like that girl wasn't worth it. Sounds like uh, she just brought trouble with her. Uh, yeah, there, there, there was, yeah, not, for the most part it was good. But yeah, I eventually broke up with her. <laughs> but that's the point. <laughs> Okay, so I want to move on to discuss uh, the, ne- the next topic here. And the next topic on our schedule is about uh, Casino Morongo. If you played there and had any interaction with one of the managers, you may not be happy to hear that one of the managers, not sure which one, has been diagnosed with the coronavirus. Not good. Uh, so far, they've been trying to find others he came in contact with, and they are not coming up with anyone who has uh, tested positive yet, but they're still trying to locate everybody. Uh, they tested 11 employees who interacted with him, but uh, these people have not reported any symptoms. They were tested, and the results uh, are not known right now. The manager, interestingly enough, does not have symptoms, but he tested positive, which makes me wonder why they even test. Maybe because he works in the casino as mandatory test. Otherwise, usually people only get tested uh, when they uh, feel something. I don't know how old this manager is, but he does not uh, feel he doesn't feel any symptoms, and he had no direct contact with guests. So, fortunately, he was not a customer-facing manager. But that doesn't mean much. He he could be managing people who are customer-facing. And so it's possible that people could have uh, gotten the coronavirus indirectly through him if he gave it to somebody else who then gave it to customers. Casino Morongo is an Indian casino located about uh, 15 miles from Palm Springs. They reopened in late May. They do require masks and they do the temperature test there. It uh, since it's an Indian property, they can basically do what they want. The state of California has no authority to tell them they can't open. So they open, they just decided to reopen in late May. They have not yet seen any evidence that guests had it. But then again, some of these guests may not know they have it or may have attributed their coronavirus to other things. Usually people who are going to casinos are also going other places and uh, may not even be blaming it on the casino or may not be showing symptoms yet. 
because it, it can take up to two weeks to see symptoms, though usually if you go seven days from wherever you suspect you could have gotten it and you don't feel symptoms yet, then usually you're either not going to feel symptoms or don't have it. There are cases where people feel symptoms between 7 and 14 days from when they caught it, but it's not nearly as common. Most commonly, you're going to feel it within four days. So even once you get past four days, you can start to be optimistic that you didn't get it. And once you get to seven, then you can start to feel pretty good. So um, this uh, this was this, this was uh, I'm not sure what day they figured this out that he had it. Like what day they tested him. I know this was reported uh, yesterday, but I don't know when they actually tested him positively. It was on Friday the 12th that the Casino Morongo announced that a manager had tested positive for coronavirus. But you're, you're going to see this. I mean, this is this is going to happen as everything reopens. You're going to have managers with it. You're going to have employees with it. You're going to have guests with it. And the temperature checks only go so far. The temperature tests, the problem with temperature checks is often by the time you show a fever, you're already feeling something. So usually if you have a fever, you are aware enough that you shouldn't be going out. And sometimes you don't even feel well enough to want to go out. Often by the time the fever sets in, you are very fatigued and you just basically feel like crap. So even if you haven't reached the peak of symptoms yet when the fever first shows up, you don't feel like you want to go out and have a lot of fun. You just want to get in bed. You're probably very tired. And if you care anything at all... What was that? All the precautions that these casinos are supposedly taking, to me it's just a bunch of smoke and mirrors. I've been out there. They're not really doing anything. Nobody's wearing masks. That, that's right. I was mentioning that earlier in the show. Like, I can't believe that the Vegas casinos are not requiring masks. That's insane. They're, they're not. And, and they're, some places are doing temperature checks. Some places are not doing temperature checks. Uh, they don't say anything if you get in a crowd. I have not, I have not yet once. Oh, even going further back, uh, so some of the downtown uh, places that I've been to, I have not once noticed anybody wiping down machines after you've played the machines. Not once. Not that that's going to help or will or won't help. I'm just saying... After the, you know, you saw these emails that they sent you saying all the things that they're going to be doing. They're going to have somebody there wiping down the machines and just handing out just all this stuff. I have not seen one person wiping down a machine after I've been on that machine yeah, or I, anybody else. I can believe that downtown. I, 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 so I say if, if you're going to go to these places, you just try to stay away from people. <laughs> that's, that's the best thing you could do. And don't spend too long in there. And just if, if you're worried about getting it, if, you, if you're young, if you're under 35 and you're not worried about getting it, and you're not going to spread it to somebody else you live with that's older, then uh, by all means, uh, do what you want. There's still a, some risk to you, but not that much. And if you're under 35, there's really not that much. But everybody else, you, you, you can have the false sense of security that these temperature checks are doing something, but they're, they're really not – for the reasons I said, it's not doing very much. It's, it's an illusion of security. It's, it's similar to the whole stupidity about uh, checking the rooms every 48 hours and all these other dumb rules they came up with after the Stephen Paddock shooting that really don't accomplish anything. Just, just because Stephen Paddock just – Anybody using the hand sanitizer stations either. <laughs> I'm like I... – I haven't seen anybody. Use, I'm sure obviously there are, but I, I'm just not seeing it. It's almost like the people that are going to the casinos 
are just don't really care, and they wouldn't normally. They're not going to do anything that they wouldn't normally do in the first place. Well, that's right, and and there's people like that, and I've talked to some of them. Like I, I talk to some people my age, and I say, "Hey, are you worried about the coronavirus?" No, I don't care. I'm just I'm just going to go. Why aren't you worried? I, I'm just not. I just I just don't think it's a big deal. I'm like I, I don't want to get into arguments about people who have, like with how seriously they take it, but th- there are certain people that for whatever reason they just feel that. They're not worried about it. And those under 35, I understand. Those people, I think they have a reasonable uh, – there's good reason for them to say I'm not worried. But those who are uh, around my age, I, I think that's foolish. But there are. There's a lot of people who are just kind of in denial about the whole thing. And, and there's also people who are in denial because they feel healthy. Not just like they're not sick, but they feel like, okay, well, I work out all the time. Uh, I, I eat well. Uh, when I get sick, it's never that bad. I, I have a good immune system. I'm not worried about it. And I go, this is, it's not the same though. This is, uh, this, for the people that get this badly, it's, uh, it, it hits them differently than anything has before. You have to just, uh, forget everything that you believe about your own ability to fight off diseases and viruses and treat this differently. Now, if you if you have previous health problems or existing health conditions, then yes, you have to take it more seriously. That's definitely true. But uh, if you're just a normal fifty year old, yeah, you should be concerned. You should be. I I feel you should be careful, and that's why I'm careful. So okay, I just I just wanted to mention the Morongo thing, and it's probably not dangerous to go there compared to other casinos. The guy wasn't customer facing, and Morongo's a big place. But just wanted to make people aware of that. Okay, something else I want to make people aware of that it's it's a an interesting appeal that's being heard in federal court that could have an impact on online poker. And this was actually brought up by attorney Mac Verstandig, who is kind of like a, a poker community attorney that we've talked about a lot on this show. He wrote an article for Poker News. He's been doing that lately. He's been writing articles, presumably, to advertise his practice. So he wrote an article about something I didn't know about, that in this upcoming week, on June 18th, they are having an appeal regarding the 1961 Wire Act. And the reason you guys should care about the 1961 Wire Act is that was the act that was used to justify the 2006 UIGEA, which made it illegal to run or fund an online gambling site, including poker, and also was the basis for the Black Friday arrests in 2011. So if that wire act were to be seen as something that did not apply to poker, then uh, that could pave the way for more legalization. Now, this had already happened. Uh, At one point, there was a, a determination by the Department of Justice that the 1961 Wire Act only applied to sports betting. And that's, that is what uh, has paved the way to some of the legalized online poker, including the current legalized online poker that we're seeing where the states are cooperating. Where, for example, on WSOP.com, you can play cash games against people from Nevada, New Jersey, and Delaware all at the same table, which, of course, requires the bets to be placed across state lines, which – with the previous interpretation of the 1961 Wire Act would have been illegal, but with the interpretation that uh, goes all the way back to, I think, 2011, that says it only applies to sports betting, that they were able to provide this legally. 
the, the 1961 Wire Act basically made this illegal to cross state lines. So within the state, it didn't make it illegal, but it made uh, it illegal to, uh, to to transmit any kind of uh, betting across state lines. And you might wonder, well, in 1961, why were they concerned about internet gambling? There was no internet in 1961. Well, this was actually aimed at organized crime and uh, sports betting syndicates. That's what the, they put this wire this, this wire act in place for. And then it got applied 45 years later to all online gambling, including online poker. And that has been the bane of the existence of the online poker player in many cases. Now, this is not used to prosecute uh, online poker players. I usually like the stuff that Mac Verstanding puts out and uh, you know, both the article he writes and the tweets he puts out. And uh, um, I don't know him very well personally. I once uh, interacted with him when we put out a... Uh, a we did like a kind of a joke arbitration between Alan Kessler and, and, and somebody else about when they disagreed with about something. It wasn't about money. It was kind of a joke. But we that was our only direct uh, communication. But uh, one thing I disagreed with that he put out recently was he, he put out this long legal interpretation that says that playing online poker in the U.S. is technically illegal. And he tried to argue from the legal standpoint why it was. Being someone who's not an attorney, I'm not going to question his legal conclusions, but from a practical standpoint, there's no danger at all playing online poker from the standpoint of being arrested for it. I, I went on 60 Minutes in 2008, which was after the UIGEA, and said that I play online poker. And I would not have done that if I thought that the uh, the feds were going to come knock down my door and arrest me. I, I'm very public that I, I play online poker. I'll say it right now. I play online poker, okay? And I, I play on sites that are not legally licensed and regulated. I, I do that. I will say I do that. Why? Because I know nobody's going to arrest me for it. So whether it's technically, if you could technically uh, break apart the law and find where you could say that maybe it's illegal for the player to do, uh, it's never going to be enforced. In fact, not only wouldn't it be enforced, but when they busted the sites in 2011, Full Tilt and uh, Poker Stars and uh, UB, not only didn't they go to bust any of the players, they actually put out effort to get the players paid. They actually got the players repaid, the government. So that's, that shows you how much they want to go after the players. They Not only didn't they arrest them, they made sure they got their money. So I don't know why he put out that article, but this, this article that he put out was much more interesting, and that's about the Wire Act and an appeal that's coming up on June 18th. The appeal is so reverse the Wire Act, um, but would that then open up sports betting across state lines as well? No, well, if they reversed it completely, but but actually it went backwards. So the, in around 2011, 11 or 12, I think 11, the the Department of Justice changed their interpretation of the 1961 Wire Act that they no longer believed it applied to poker. And it only applied to sports betting. All other forms of gambling, they said this didn't apply to. And I think the reasoning, which is correct. Including what? Including what? Including slots and... Yes, yeah, including that too. So Right. So the only thing it applied to, they said, was sports betting. And and the reason was that in 1961, that's what it was about. That it got stretched to mean other things, and it shouldn't have, basically was their determination in 2011, which I felt was the correct one. Okay, so a quick question then. So a quick question then. Why can't we hear – why can't you play slots from across state lines? Why can't I play from, say, in Nevada or maybe not Nevada, but 
it just it, to another state. It just hasn't been set up yet. It, you actually could, but it's not. It hasn't been set up and licensed yet. It, you can't just you can't just set this up in your house. You can't just decide you're going to set up a a, a a slots casino in your house. But it, oh, so, no, I, I get that. But but why 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 aren't the places that have that have legalized online slots already, like New Jersey and say Pennsylvania or I don't know. Because, I can tell you why. why. Be- because of differing uh, regulations between the states, they'll they'll start running into each other with each other's laws, and they haven't come to the they haven't come to any kind of agreement to do that yet. But they they technically could, from what I can tell. From well, but hold on, we're we're, we're skipping something here, which I want to get to. There's another reason why they can't do it. But there was a that was the interpretation in 2011. However, it got reinterpreted more recently. I think in 2018. It got uh, reinterpreted to go back to the old meaning. In eighteen or nineteen, they oh, did th- th- this got done, and then they then there was the question: Okay, now what happens to sites like WSOP.com where people can play poker with each other across state lines? It, it has to be one of the regulated states. It has to be where the, where it's currently licensed and regulated. But uh, um, people in Nevada, New Jersey, and Delaware can all play each other, and of course, those bets travel across state lines. So, will this become illegal? Well, the answer was maybe, but they gave time for before it was actually implemented. So it was decided, but they said we're not going to enforce it for such and such time. Well, what happened was that the state of New Hampshire decided that they are going to just challenge the whole thing. Now, what does New Hampshire have to do with this? Well, the New Hampshire lottery decided that they did not like this reinterpretation. And the reason that they didn't like this reinterpretation was that uh, they had a feeling that this was going to prevent them from having Powerball, that people could uh, – because they, they said that the, the concern is that if any kind of interstate wagering is prohibited, then how could cross-state lotteries like Powerball exist? Because you are cross-state wagering. You're, you're putting your money into a pool that multiple states are participating in that – eventually one person in one of the states wins. So one person wins money that a bunch of other people from other states had contributed to. That That is cross-state wagering. So the, New Hampshire was afraid that with this reinterpretation that they're going to have to do it with Powerball, which would really take away a lot of their revenue because Powerball is very big with the lottery. People dream very big and want to win the that gigantic jackpot of, of hundreds of millions of dollars. So New Hampshire just said, you know what, we're just going to challenge this right now. We, we, don't, we don't like the new interpretation. And they challenged it in, in federal court, and they won. So it went back to the old way for the moment. The case in question is called the New Hampshire Lottery Commission versus Barr. And uh, the Barr being referred to is uh, Attorney General William Barr. And uh, so that... That was ruled in New Hampshire's favor, so it looked very good for that being the end of the new interpretation of the Wire Act, thanks to the state of New Hampshire, that they actually beat uh, the, the Department of Justice with a new interpretation of it. But the Department of Justice has appealed it, and on June 18th, this is going to be heard on appeal, but this is going to be done by phone because of coronavirus concerns. So they're not going to actually have it uh, in live court. It's going to be conducted by phone, which has been happening a lot. There's been a lot of phone and uh, and internet court recently. 
So this is going to be done by phone. And if this is upheld, then that's going to be very good news for the future of online poker and online gambling, because that, that should probably be the end of it regarding this re-reinterpretation of the Wire Act, and we'll probably go back to the the way they see it in uh, in 2011. So it'll still be so, applying to sports betting, though. Uh, so assuming assuming that uh, they open it up and and basically make it so you can bet from or, or where you're saying that it is, when do you think – do you think all these states are going to jump on board and start uh, running poker and then we're going to have another poker boom? No. I, this has been going on for for, for, so. for years. Remember, I told you this got reinterpreted back like in 2011, and we're we're almost 10 years later. The reason that this is slow is, number one, it's been a pain in the ass for a lot of these states to establish the regulations or to really – because it's not a huge issue. A lot of them don't really get off – put out the effort to do it or these bills die when they're put in the state assembly. But another problem is that it has been seen that at the state level, at an in-state level, these sites just don't make very much money or any money at all especially states that don't have a large population. California is one where it could be successful because it has 12% of the state of the country's population. It's got 40 million people. So that's that's seen as a potential success story. However, there's a there's been a long-standing fight between poker stars and the state where poker stars wants to license software to the state to cer- certain casinos. And certain other casinos don't want poker stars here because they have the best software and they've been challenging poker stars because of their history of breaking the law. And it's been a stalemate that's been stuck now for five years. I don't know when it's going to be over. So I don't know when it's coming to California. California's desired this for a long time. It just it just isn't coming for that reason. And and the other states, they're, they're seeing it's not working. So Nevada, it's actually losing money. I don't know, maybe right now it's doing better because of the, all those poker rooms being closed because of the coronavirus, but it was losing money for a long time. New Jersey, it's doing a little bit better. New Jersey is making some decent money on the casino games, but the poker side is making only a little bit, and they have a bigger po- population than uh, Nevada. So it's, it's basically seen that unless you have a, a cooperation between states or a very large population state, then it's not that profitable. What could be in the future, though it's looking like more of the distant future than the very near future, would be a cooperation between a lot of states. And I thought, you know, how nice would that be if they had California and Texas and New York and uh, and then some of the smaller states altogether? There you could have something that starts to resemble the old online poker before 2011, though I don't think it'll be as big because poker simply isn't as big anymore. There's just not the interest in poker that there was during the boom of the 2000s. It's just not as cool or interesting anymore as it was back then. The The whole fad is kind of, I wouldn't say it's dead, but it's its its definitely reduced. And I don't think you can take, I don't think you can make that happen a second time. Uh, will, this, will the games possibly be fairly good? Yeah, I, I think that it has some potential. But you have to have a pretty big pool, which means it has to be a number of states cooperating and some big states in there like California. So who knows when that's going to be. But that this can't happen at all if this Wire Act is brought back to that re-reinterpretation. And, and by the way, the one who made the effort to get it reinterpreted the second time is none other than longtime online poker opponent who is very, very well-heeled, Sheldon Adelson. Sheldon Adelson 
made a lot of uh, lobbying efforts to, or he sponsored a lot of lobbying efforts to get this reinterpreted. And that he'd made a lot of attempts to stop online poker. And that was his only success so far. Everything else he has tried has failed, but uh, that has been his right. only I minor success. Trying to stop all online gaming, he didn't want anything to do with that. I thought yeah, that was a, a, right. A, he was trying to stop all. Of it. it wasn't just poker; it was all yeah. online gaming. Yes. The reason why they were being a little bit more liberal with that is because they were trying to make uh, consider it a, more of a skill game. Sort of. Because we, there's. There's still no. I can't go online in Nevada and play slots online. Right, right. Well, that that was Nevada's choice. You can't. You could if Nevada wanted it. They just chose not to. Uh, like you, in your, you're telling that all, all these, all these uh, uh, that there's not one casino that is an outlier and says, you know what, I, I want to do this, and they and they do it. No, Nevada's the state of Nevada is not allowing it right now. That's why. What? Why, why are they not allowing slots, but they're allowing poker? What's the... Well, the, the, the state, yes, the state sees it differently. It. I'm just asking, my question would be, what? how are they considering slots and poker different? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the state's rationale is for this. I know New Jersey does allow the casino games. That's where they make most of their money. Uh, Nevada must have decided they don't want to take it away from the, the brick-and-mortar casinos, and they decided not to. Maybe, maybe Adelson had some influence there, too. But... Uh, I don't know what made them come to the decision of why they're not allowing online casino games in Nevada, but that's what they came to. And, uh, and, it, and it might be – well, I mean and, – and one of the things they're going to have a problem with – so in New Jersey, I don't know exactly how it works, but from what I can tell, when I go in and read these – just the terms and conditions alone, if you ever go on there and look at the terms and conditions, conditions and actually read through them, it's almost as if these, uh, and they probably are being part and partly ran by those, the unlicensed casinos that were in doing this all before with all their horrible terms and conditions are yes. now writing the terms and conditions and actually running these online casinos in New Jersey, and the casino is just basically a, 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 a partner in this. But in reality, it's these other companies that are... are I've wondered about that, too. I've seen this, and we've discussed this on the show before, that there's some very surprising, super player-unfriendly terms and conditions there that really allow them to screw you. And I was surprised when I read some of them and and ways they can just confiscate your money if you don't play in a certain amount of time. And uh, there's a lot of crappy things that you would think that there's no way they should be able to do in a regulated site, and somehow that's there. Now, some of these get challenged... Uh, to the New Jersey uh, Gaming uh, Commission there, and they end up ruling for the player. Siding for the player. But, right, but, right. And, that's great. And, and that's obviously what we want. However, I really don't like the fact that uh, these, uh, <laughs> these some, some of them, I, I swear, were, were even had some rogue incidents at some time, you know, where they weren't playing players and they weren't being fair. And yeah, I saw uh, some of those too. Like yeah, I, I've been I've been made aware of some of these things happening, and uh, and then I've I've been shown some of these terms that were so bad. I I thought that maybe the person bringing it to me wasn't correct, and then I'd go look and I go, oh, no, <laughs> this person's right. I can't believe it. But yeah, that's the term. Yeah, I was very surprised when I saw some of these things that <laughs> were allowed. fees and all this stuff. Yeah. Right, uh, to dump money out of the account for every month that you don't, you, uh, just all this crazy stuff. 
yeah, over there. I've seen, yeah, I've seen I, where they can, they can confiscate yeah. the money if you don't play in a certain amount of time. Not even just maintenance fee. I saw where they can confiscate it. Just really crazy things that I, I couldn't imagine a regulated site could do. And, and that really made me wonder what they're – like I don't know how – these things should just absolutely not be allowed to even be stated by the regulatory body. They forget, forget if they're challenged. This should just be uh, – you, you can't say things like this. There should be fines for trying to say this crap. Not only shouldn't they be able to do it, they should not even be able to try to claim it and hope people don't catch it. So uh, I th- yeah, it's like they just copy and pasted their terms and conditions from you know, the other sites on there and just post them up there. And I don't. I think sometimes, crazy. sometimes the people writing these rules and regulations don't know enough about online gaming to understand the real concerns. So they don't like if if someone told me to write rules and regulations for online gaming, I think I could do a very good job and be very fair to both the player and the casino uh, because I know the industry. But but someone who doesn't know it very well could leave things out and can allow these casinos to abuse it with with uh, obnoxious terms like this and maybe even get away with it. So that's that's disturbing yeah, to see things like that. Anybody see that uh, we can confiscate all your money if you don't play within one year or two years or whatever? How can anybody not see that? That's just total bullshit. Well, I think they probably just didn't think of it and didn't write it into the regulations, so the casinos try it and, and hope it doesn't get challenged. That's what I think happens, and uh, that's it's crappy. I mean, it, really, when this thing is brought to the gaming commission's uh, attention, they should immediately work to correct it, even if they didn't initially think of it, they should go and say, whoop, we forgot to make a rule about that. Okay, new law. Uh, you cannot confiscate anyone's money for any reason that has it online. And uh, and it, the maintenance fee thing is so stupid. I've said before, because this isn't like the old days where they actually have to put like significant resources into maintaining accounts that are uh, uh, that, that are dormant. It costs them just about nothing on a large system to maintain dormant accounts. Just about nothing. And uh, and even if it costs them a tiny bit, it's the cost of doing business. It's like it's like saying that uh, uh, it's like casinos complaining that uh, some people who come to the casinos that they they use the bathroom and and never gamble. Okay, they do, but uh, that's that's not a it's such a tiny cost to them overall that uh, they don't but worry they just about it. People to check and send it to their home. I mean, how easy is that? Just okay, you know what? This player isn't playing. Send them an email saying you're not playing. Uh, either start playing, or we're going to send you a check, or we're going to send you a debit card, or however they want to do it. Something like that. How, how easy is that? Or take the money and send it to the state. Uh, you know, uh, unclaimed property. Right. I, that was not my idea. That was my idea to, to, to send it as unclaimed property and let let the state deal with it. Yeah. That's. Uh, but to just confiscate it, the fact that that could even be allowed, I thought that's insane. That was really when I couldn't when I read that, I was like, no, that couldn't be right. Nope, it was right. That was that's what they're doing. Really, really obnoxious. So anyway, we'll we'll see what happens. And it's I I do have people saying, like, there's a guy on the forum named Sanomar, and he likes this. He hates regulation in general. He he really longs for the days of the wild wild west of online gaming, where just everything regulates itself. And, and when stories like this come out, he goes, Ah, see, see, I I told you regulation was bad. See, you thought regulation solves everything, and look look at this bad stuff that's happening. And I say. This this sucks and it's not being done right and it should be corrected and and shame on New Jersey for allowing this to happen. But I do have to say it's still better than self regulation. We saw self regulation; it was a disaster. Full tilt stole all the money. UB was looking at everyone's hole cards. Absolute Poker was looking at everyone's hole cards. So these were major sites that did the worst possible things. So that's uh, I agree. 
I agree we need regulation, and it's good to have some online casinos regulated, obviously, but I, I'm a little, if you're an advantage player, I'm not talking about the general public. I'm just talking about if you're an advantage player, um, too much regulation could end up turning bets. I don't want to lose the offshore unregulated casinos. I don't want to lose those. There's money to be made on those if you know what you're doing. Um, and, and you know what I'm talking about with bonus hunting and yeah. some other various things. So if all of a sudden all the casinos get together and, and now everybody's playing at all these regulated sites, we're going to start seeing, you know, right now it's okay. They offer some bonuses and all that stuff, and it's okay. But you're already starting to see a trend where it's getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, one place might have had at one time, say, 10 times wagering requirements. Now it's up to 30 times already. So you can see the trend. That, so now it's going to become to where it's no good for advantage players and you're not going to have much value, um, and it's not even going to be playable, um, at least on the advantage player side. So yeah, well, yeah, I, a, don't want I know it's, it's a different set of concerns I know for advantage players where uh, they, they have to look at their bottom line and say, okay, what's best for us? And, and sometimes I, I can see where – where if the regu- if the unregulated sites get choked out because there's too many regulated sites in the U.S. and, the, and they, the unregulated ones fail, there could be fewer opportunities for advantage players. So I can see from that s- small community that uh, they don't want that to happen. I was just I was speaking more from the it's standpoint of better than I did, but that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, that's, that's exactly. So I can understand. That. I want them both. I want everything to coexist, uh, basically. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that there aren't going to be uh, on, uh, opportunities uh, when they when they regulate and all that. There will be for a while. My fear is just down the road, kind of like we're seeing in the casinos right now, we're going to end up with 6-5 jacks or better, and we're going to end up uh, with bad blackjack rules, and we're going to, you know, and it's just going to get really crappy. Yeah, you know, and, and that's unfortunately the future. The opportunities have been but in the long term, they're going to tighten up and figure out the holes and the loopholes and things like that. And it'll be, there'll still stuff be stuff there, but it'll just be less. I, I've said this for a long time. It's been trending towards the games getting worse and worse because they've come to realize that uh, as the years pass, the gamblers are actually getting less and less informed and they're just not very knowledgeable about the games they're playing. And it's not like the old days. It took them a long time to figure it out, but it, uh, they eventually figured out that the gamblers that were coming to play in 2005, 2010, 2020 are not the same as the gamblers that were coming to play in 1985. It's very different. Uh, you think the gamblers are less informed? Much less. I think they're more informed. No, they're much, no. They no, they're much less informed. It's, a, it's that in 1985, when people came to casinos, I'm not talking about advantage players. I'm talking about just regular gamblers who, who were uh, – just coming to Vegas to play. People came to Vegas in in 1985 to gamble, and they tend to know they would tend to know the games they played pretty well. So the ones that would go play blackjack, they knew basic strategy pretty well. Not all of them, but but most of them. The the ones that uh, that, that played video poker understood the correct strategy, and they understood pay tables. That's why they couldn't get away with with the six to five blackjack. Then they couldn't get away with uh, with terrible video poker pay tables because the ones who played those games wouldn't tolerate it. As time passed. And Vegas became more of a destination for entertainment rather than just gambling. A lot more people started gambling while they were there for entertainment. 
who weren't real gamblers. They were people who just liked gambling but didn't want to learn much about it. And there was a, so there was a big shift in the knowledge that people, the more knowledge was available if you wanted it. It was much easier to find this information in, in 2005, 2010 than in 1985. In 1985, you couldn't go on the web. But, uh, as far as, but people learned. The people who went to Vegas then knew what they were doing for the most part. The people in, in the 2000s and 2010s, uh, a lot of them don't, be, just because the focus of Vegas changed, and uh, and they eventually learned that, and, and it was actually Harris that came up with six to five, which you probably remember, and that was actually a genius move. As much as I hate it, as much as you hate it, as much as anyone who has any knowledge of blackjack hates it, it was a genius move, and they they tried it at first on single deck because what they did is they this was actually very clever. They knew that single deck had a reputation as the game that the pros played, which wasn't even totally true because a lot of uh, blackjack card counters stayed away from single deck because there was so much heat. Uh, it was it was too obvious that the card counters would play single deck, so they would uh, some the, the card counters would tend to go t- more towards the double deck or, or even the shoe games if the rules were good and the penetration was good. But uh, so, but the general public they knew something about card counters existing, and they knew the card counters liked to play single deck. So they kind of got the impression that single deck equaled best game. So people people would play single deck not even understanding why they were playing it. They just heard it was good, and that's what you play. And, and I'm talking about just regular people who don't know how to card count. So the people would play single deck, and Harris realized this and said, wait a minute. The single deck games are so popular. People want to play these and don't understand why they want to play them. Let's try making only the single deck six to five and see if people still play them. Yep, they were right. People still played them. People who were sitting down at the single deck who didn't know why they were sitting at single deck also didn't know that six to five made the game a lot worse than three to two. So those ga- and I watched it happen. I would be in Harris and I'd see these mobbed six to five tables and I'd see three to two tables of double deck right next to them and nobody's playing. So uh, so they, they worked. And- yeah, another aspect of that: if you lower the limit. People will flock to them. Well, that, yes. I mean, go put put a blackjack in somewhere and charge a twenty five cent commission, and 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 you can't get rid of the people off the table. Yeah, and that's charge them a twenty. I mean, if people will because of the lower limit, they'll, they'll flock to it. But you saw you saw what happened. That's true. But you saw what happened in in Vegas, and that the six to five eventually took over, and it became the exception to find three to two rather than the rule. And it's like a place would advertise, oh, we have three to two blackjack. Like that's, that's, that's exciting now to hear that a place has three to two blackjack because it's, it's getting so unusual, especially on the strip. And this, well, this eventually became accepted. Three to two, don't you know that? What was that? I said six to five is a bigger number than three to two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and I got to see this mentality at work from the, the player's standpoint. From the recreational player standpoint, when one time I was uh, going to Vegas from L.A. and there was a friend of my then girlfriend in the car that we were driving there. We were driving her one way. I, I, she was getting back. I forgot how, but we were only driving her one way. And on the way up, she says, oh, "Todd, can you give me any tips about gambling?" And I go, "Well, okay. What? That's kind of a broad question. <laughs> what, what are you going to play? What do you want?" So she said she likes to play blackjack. So I said, "Okay." First and foremost, do not sit at a six to five table. And this was long enough ago to where there were six to five tables, but there were plenty three to two tables to be found. This isn't like now. So I said, do not sit at a six to five game. And I, and I explained to her, I, I, I explained to her very slowly why six to five is worse. And I just made a very simple example. You get, you, you get a blackjack. Let's say you bet $50. 
you get a blackjack, you only get 60 at a 6-5 to five game. If you're in a 3-2 to two game, you get 75. So same blackjack, same everything. They're just keeping $15 that's supposed to go to you. It's like they're taking $15 out of your pocket every time you get a blackjack. So she says, oh, that's that's terrible. I said, yeah, don't don't sit there. She says, okay, so stay away from 6-5, to five. yes. And she said, yeah, because they don't pay as much in blackjack and they should, yes. And, and I explained to her but that... Did you- and explain to her how often she'll get a blackjack. Well, I, I didn't have to because I, I told her you. She understood that she get, the blackjack isn't super rare. Like she knew the game. She understood that it's not super okay. rare, and she understood that it's like I, I I like to explain it to people. Not like you're just getting paid less. I said, picture the casino that every time you get a blackjack, they reach into your wallet and pull fifteen dollars out of your wallet. That's what's happening here if you're betting fifty dollars per hand. And so so she understood. She she totally understood. She repeated it back to me. I could tell she understood. Um, later on, we saw her on the trip, and she had told me where she played. And she said, well, I played in this casino, and, and I lost. And then I went to this casino, and I did well, and I got lucky, and I won. And I go, wait a minute. That casino only has 6 to 5. She says, yeah. I said, I thought you were going to play 6 to 5. I wasn't, but the place I tried to play 3 to 2, I got unlucky. So I said, let me go to a luckier place. And that was that was, and then she won there, and she was convinced six to five equals good because that's where I got lucky. And what happened is, over the years, the gamblers just wanted to get lucky. They didn't want to play the games where the odds were best, and it didn't used to be like that. So that's that's how Vegas has transformed, and it's going to get worse and worse every year, especially as they get better and better at identifying uh, who they who they don't want as customers. How do you really know that's the case? Because we don't know what would have happened if we would have introduced six to five back in '85. We do because we we've don't seen know it. What would yes, we do because we we've seen we didn't see six to five introduced in '85. That didn't exist then. But we what would happen? Right, but what, how do you know what would happen if they did? They might have introduced it then. I'll, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why we know because we I've seen other things tried at other casinos where they would make rules worse. Not even nothing like six to five, but they'd make it. You you can only double on nine, ten, or eleven instead of on any two cards. They would do that, and there would be this big backlash that people don't want to come there anymore. They go, "What? I can double anywhere at these other casino. How come I I can't only I can only double if I have a nine, ten, or eleven? This place sucks. I'm going somewhere else." That's what people said back in 1985. So these these games would get laughed out of town, and and if they tried even six to five, they would really get laughed out of town. Now they didn't try it, but I know because of slight rule changes. Even even the soft seventeen versus hard seventeen hitting, people were aware of, and and there was backlash to that. That slowly changed, but but the, everything they try to bring in, the, there would be backlash to it, where where the games would just sit empty because people would decide they don't like it, and because they'd know at least enough about the game to know this was bad for them and that the casino down the street doesn't do that. So there there's just a big difference, and I can see this from just talking to to average gamblers that I meet. I'm not talking about from the advanced player community or even from uh, uh, you know people that really want to learn or people listen to this show. I'm talking about just average gamblers that I run into that uh, that are, I'm at the casino, and I'm sometimes shocked by the the level of ignorance in some cases, willful ignorance about just very simple things. Uh, and and uh, so it's just that's what I believe has happened. And I think it's just going to get worse and worse every year. And there's been some, I know that Caesars made this decision. I don't know if they're going to continue implementing it because of the coronavirus. that's kind of thrown everything for a loop, but uh, they had made a decision not too long ago. I, I posted about it on Vegas casino talk that they are trying, they're going to try to softly push out 
the 20% of customers that make them the least money. They're not going to ban them, but they're going to make it uh, less pleasant for them. They're going to really degrade their offers terribly. And uh, and just the goal is going to try to get just get these 20% of the people away. And that's the way a lot of them are going. The, the, the feeling used to be in Vegas is as long as we're beating you by a little bit, what Right. We're happy to have you as a customer. As long as we're we're slightly ahead of you, then keep coming, and we'll keep giving you comps, and we'll keep uh, and we'll, we're not going to degrade the games. As long as we think when the whole thing's over, we're going to come out ahead somewhat. Now they're saying we don't want you taking up space anymore. You're, we don't want you taking up the rooms. We don't want you taking up space at the table. We don't want you on the property at all. We're not going to ban you, but we're going to. We, we really would prefer you don't come if if you're not going to be someone that we're pretty much guaranteed to beat, not just the long term, but in the 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 short to medium term. That's unfortunately where it's going. People are saying, oh, maybe the coronavirus is going to change all that. I don't think so, especially because they opened after two months. So. Well, we'll see where it goes, but that's that's my pessimistic view of the situation. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about the coronavirus. The big story is that there is a report, which again I'm taking with a grain of salt, much like the report about that you don't get it from surfaces very often. But there is a report that the asymptomatic people don't transmit the virus. Now, what's not clear about this? is whether they mean people who are pre-symptomatic also. So so everybody who gets the coronavirus is asymptomatic for a few days. No one gets it, and then the second they catch it, uh, uh, they show symptoms. There's uh, actually a long incubation period with it, which, as I was saying earlier, lasts from like two days to 14 days. Usually it's around four, four to five days. So since everybody has an asymptomatic period, every single person who's ever caught it has an asymptomatic period, uh, do they mean that, or do they just mean the people who are never going to show symptoms? That part's not clear to me, but they are saying that those who are asymptomatic, maybe pre-symptomatic too, uh, do not transmit it, and that those transmitting it are actually those who have some form of symptom. So it could be like uh, people with mild symptoms, could be uh, people who with worse than mild symptoms that just choose to go out anyway, that those are the people transmitting it. Uh, I would well, think that would be great because then we can at least get a better handle on the, you know people that are starting to that kind of think oh I have it at that point they could either self quarantine or a temperature check or right or, or and, and really put and really put a strong uh, like like really start to shift the focus to rather than panicking about everybody you come in contact with to really get the message out if you feel even a little bit sick like a little run down. Uh, if you feel if you're feeling a sore throat coming on, just be overly cautious and stay away from people. But if you feel totally healthy, then then you can feel pretty confident you're not going to give it to anybody. Like start making people uh, aware of that if that's the truth. Now I, I still don't know again if they mean pre-symptomatic people, the people who are who are going to ultimately show symptoms, but are just in that few day period where it hasn't happened yet. I don't know if those people are transmitting it, and they're also saying that those who are at the very beginning of showing symptoms are actually the most contagious. So it's uh, so so if you if you're ju- if you just caught it a few days ago and you're just starting to feel it, supposedly that's when you're the most contagious, and that would explain why it transmits so much. Because if you're the most contagious when you're in bed and can barely move, who are you going to give it to? 
you, you can't get up right. and give it to many people. So, so it's that's the the reason this is spreading so much is is because there there's this long incubation period, mm-hmm. and, and there's because there's, there's there's obviously some period where people are well enough to walk around and, and go out into society and spread it around, and it's also very contagious. Uh, in itself anyway apparently it's very easy for, in a respiratory fashion to give it to other people and so if this really but, is the problem we have is uh, people are selfish so if they're just feeling a little bit bad and they think they might they're, they're not going to not go to work they're not going to a, a lot of people they're going to you know they're going to wait until they're 100% positive that they have it so cuz people are, are very selfish yeah, then that's then that is a problem. That that is definitely a problem. So there, that's that's the. Uh, it is a problem. It would be a problem. It is a problem. There are going to be people like that. They just hey, I, they're going to go to work. They're going to do whatever they're going to normally do just because they have have a little bit of symptoms or they don't feel a little bit okay. They 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 still need to go make money and um, that's all there is to it. They they just don't care. Okay, now I, I mean you see this with people that maybe don't even have it or whatever, but. You know, back before they started relaxing the rules, you still saw groups of people that would just be, they didn't care, they're not wearing masks, nobody's going to make them wear a mask, they're not going to respect your space, you're standing in line somewhere or something, and they just come right up, and it it was really bad. Again, I, I don't know how deadly this is, I don't know how bad it is, I'm just saying people were not respecting your space. And they were not respecting any of the rules that we had in place. Yeah, and that's and that's the problem. You're going to have a lot of people that don't, and and you're going to have a lot of people that uh, that also just minimize how serious this is, so they don't feel they have to. So I, I I looked up, by the way, what the World Health Organization meant when they talked about asymptomatic, and I still didn't get clarity. They said that they are not seeing. It being very common that an asymptomatic person, meaning just someone who just doesn't have symptoms at the moment, actually transmits it to somebody else. However, they said there's a lot of unknowns as far as uh, as far as people who are ultimately going to be symptomatic, whether they are contagious, which is known as pre-symptomatic, as I said, uh, whether they are uh, like how how contagious they are, and the CDC estimated that 40% of coronavirus transmission is occurring before people feel sick. So that that would say that uh, the pre-symptomatic is a way it's spreading, which in which case, in this case, it doesn't help much. If, it, if they're, all they're saying is those that get it and never are going to show symptoms, that you're not going to get it from them, there's only one way this is going to help us. Can you think of what it is? You may not be able to because it doesn't affect you much, but it affects me. That's a hint. Can you think just, of just tell me it's kids kids are usually asymptomatic where they just don't ever show symptoms from the coronavirus they just get it and don't ever feel it right there has been a concern i have that when my son goes back to school if they really do hold school normally in august his school ended a while ago but and now it's the summertime anyway but in august when they're planned to start school again if they actually do have real school of course, kids are not very good at uh, social distancing or washing their hands or, or not coughing on each other. So if, if you send a kid to school, there's a good chance that the coronavirus is going to go around there and spread like wildfire, and they're all going to get it. And then they're going to come back home to their parents, and especially those who have older parents, like myself, 
uh, there's uh, then the parents are going to get it. And I've been very concerned about that. Well, there's been reports from other countries that have said they're seeing something weird that they're not just not seeing evidence of kids giving it to adults, which is kind of strange. Why, why is that? Why are they not finding any cases of this? Well, it may be because of the asymptomatic thing. It may be that since so many kids are asymptomatic, that uh, and, and if asymptomatic transmission doesn't happen, not presymptomatic, but asymptomatic, where anyone who's ultimately not going to show symptoms can't transmit it, then that would really mean that very few kids are going to transmit it to their parents because very few kids are going to show symptoms. So I would say, like, if my son, who's nine, if he were to catch the coronavirus, I would say there's a very high chance he would never feel it. He's exactly in that age range where they don't feel it. It happens. And some of them, for, for kids, it's mostly asymptomatic, and then some of them have, like, mild cases. Very rare to get beyond mild. Is the theory behind that because it, it because it's just not able to build up enough for them to transmit in their like so it's not building up enough uh, in their bodies enough for them to be super contagious is is that the theory behind I, that? I don't actually know the theory behind it they just have found that uh, in in looking at the cases that they can't find any evidence this is some other country I forgot what it was I think some European country. I, but why? There's a lot. That's the. Pro- there's a lot of this. I, I don't know, but there's a lot of there's a lot of unknowns with the coronavirus in general. There's a lot of things that you keep asking, but why? I, when I say you, I mean anybody. There's a lot of confusing things about it. The fact that kids don't get sick from it is is bizarre because uh, young kids are typically very vulnerable. I don't mean like my son's age. I mean like one year olds, two year olds. They're very vulnerable to uh, to diseases killing them. Like the flu is much worse on a one or two year old than an adult. Much worse. Uh, a lo- a food, yeah, po- food poisoning. It's not very bad on like maybe an eight year old or something like that or a ten year old. I, I don't know that. I, I, I remember when I was younger, I got the flu. It barely affected me. But if I get the flu now, I'm like a little baby sitting in bed. And I, well, I believe it or not, anything. you're, you're, younger, you're in. I had the flu. I was probably laying in the snow. Believe it or not, you were in more danger as an eight year old. But. Uh, um, now I'm not. Now it's not like it's killing tons of kids. Like I didn't know any kids who died of the flu. But but uh, and it's most dangerous to babies and very old people. But kids right. are kids are still more in danger of dying from the flu. In fact, they're much more in danger of dying from the flu than COVID nineteen. Uh, so uh, kids are more in danger of dying from the flu, especially very young kids like like one year olds and babies. And uh, with COVID nineteen, that's not the case. All the kids are safe from it. Like very, very tiny babies, even they're not dying at the rate you'd expect from it. But the very tiny babies are a little more susceptible. But uh, but even the ones they get to like one, they're uh, surprisingly not affected by it. Whereas every other disease that hits a one year old, you have to worry about, uh, like like food poisoning or, or, or something like that, uh, some kind of foodborne illness that that can kill a one year old very easily. Adults hard to kill them. Uh, the old adults, different story, but uh, uh, same with the flu. Same with a lot of there's a lot of diseases that are just like that, where it's a it's a, a V shaped curve on the graph as far as the danger, where it's uh, very dangerous to very young kids, very dangerous to very old people, and then it it rapidly goes down, and then uh, around your twenties is when you're least susceptible, and then it, then it kind of slowly goes up, and then it rockets up again when you're old. But but one side of the V is missing for the coronavirus where the kids are just safe from it. And it's, that's never been understood why that is. 
The only thing that makes sense with it is that other coronaviruses have behaved the same way because this isn't the first coronavirus. This is just the worst one we've dealt with, but it's a it's not the first one. So all coronaviruses are found to be mild on kids, and it's never been understood why. There's some theories, but it's, it's never been understood fully why the kids are spared by coronaviruses. But anyway, since the kids are – What was that? Do you know? Do do you know about one of these theories? What are one? Yeah, of these well, one of them is that it, that it has a hard time attaching to lungs. That the, the something different about the kids' lungs, and that they okay. that the virus has a hard time attaching itself and basically falls off and and can't attach itself in large numbers. That's that's one okay, of them. The, the other one is that is that there's no uh, that kids with a with a weaker immune system. It, it's an immune system that's not developed yet, but not weak. So it, unlike old people who have the weak immune system, with, with the kids that uh, their immune system uh, is not fully developed and actually – that's actually positive for them because it doesn't overreact like it does in, in adults. That's another uh, solution. Because there's been, that, makes, that makes some logical sense, yeah. So these, these are some theories, but none of these have been proven. It's just known that coronaviruses uh, don't seem to affect kids much. So this would tie into the, the claim that people who are asymptomatic, not necessarily pre-symptomatic, but asymptomatic – may not be transmitting it because who's most likely to be asymptomatic? Kids. Who are they saying aren't transmitting it to adults from what they can find? Kids. So these would seem to tie together. I haven't seen anyone tie this together, interestingly. Like the articles I've read about this don't seem to tie the two together, but I have independently seen both things, and I go, hmm, well, to me, this makes sense of of why, and this leaves me a little optimistic that if Benjamin goes back to school in August that I don't have to panic and say, okay, it's a matter of time before he brings it to me. I can say, okay, well, as long as Benjamin doesn't show any symptoms, then he probably isn't going to. I guess there's going to be the few days where he uh, he could be pre-symptomatic and will show symptoms, but I, for the most part... Well, if the, Benjamin the, does show symptoms, what are you going to do? Uh, keep away from him as much as possible. <laughs> you're, you're heading to Vegas. That's right. I'm going to say, okay, you know what? Actually, I am going to Vegas. <laughs> so, so that's... Uh, it's too bad he's not old enough to take care of himself because then I probably would. I probably really would. I would. And what does his mom do in this situation? That's the problem. His, his mom would, I wouldn't want to stick his mom with it. But otherwise, like, if he was old enough to take care of himself, I probably would say, you know what, Ben? I'm, I'm going to leave. <laughs> Just uh, You can call me if you need anything. I'll, I'll be gone for a while. But uh, that that would be my one saving I'm grace. Sure I could take care of myself at 10. Um, it depends on the kid. I, I don't think he could do oh, a very okay. good. I don't think he could do a very good job of it at this point. Anyway, uh, and he wouldn't want it either. He, he's not one of these kids who would like like to stay alone. When oh, I was I ten, when I was ten, I actually did. Like when I was ten, not only did I stay alone sometimes, my parents would sometimes like they'd go out on Saturday night and they'd leave me to take care of uh, of my younger brother and sister. And I actually did a good job, but it, it depends on the kid. That, that was the first year they allowed that. And then they only would hire a babysitter at that point if they were going away for a longer time. But uh, right. uh, it, it depends on the kid. But I, I don't think my son would, would do very well as being left alone. Like I, I can leave him a little short times. Like if his mom is out somewhere and then I have to go out somewhere for like up to an hour, he doesn't mind. But like uh, beyond that, I, I don't do it. Now, 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 is he one of those – is he an internet kid who basically is on the internet a lot or online or do you guys maybe not allow that or no how, he, he, how is, he, he is he is like he, he, yeah he likes he likes roblox and minecraft and uh he, he likes youtube a lot too he watches so much youtube 
of like di- like sometimes about Roblox and Minecraft, and sometimes just like a lot of just random videos. Sometimes even educational stuff. Surprisingly, sometimes I'll watch uh, uh, science videos and other things that I'm even surprised. I've even seen him watching like weird topics that that I wouldn't expect him to be interested in. Fortunately, I I've checked his history, and I, I haven't found that he's watching anything inappropriate yet. So I, I think right. uh, it's better. He knows how to use incognito mode. I, I well, he's he's using an iPad, and I, I don't think he knows how to do that. But it, really, I don't like. I don't. I, I I'm surprised, but I actually don't think yet he he's aware like that. He doesn't has so much of, of an awareness of sex even existing. Like he knows about animals that they mate, but I don't think like he thinks right. about. Uh, like I don't think he's aware of sex existing. And, like I don't want to ask him about it yet. You guys do have like parent control on any of that stuff or you do um on, on one of them we do but one of them we never turned it on but i've gone through his history and everything looks fine like it was funny because one time i walked in and he quickly closed something and i'm like oh crap what was he watching so i grabbed it from him and said i i don't like why did you close he had like no explanation why he closed it he, he could not explain to me why he closed it and i'm like oh crap he, but I, I i can only imagine what i'm going to find so I, I go through the history and he wasn't in incognito mode like i grabbed it very fast he wasn't in incognito mode and I, I went through the history, and uh, everything was fine. I went way back, and everything was fine. So I said, "Okay, never." So, so it wasn't a problem. Uh, when I was that age, I, I knew. What was that? And he still never have an explanation of why he closed. No, he still couldn't explain it. I said, "Ben, I didn't find anything in the history that was bad. So why did he close?" He said, "Oh, I don't know. I just did. It was it was strange." And then. When, maybe to him it was something he felt that you might maybe I, there must have been some reason for it and and then uh, it, it is strange for me to think he doesn't know about these things because like when I was like six or seven I, I learned about this stuff and uh, like I, I I knew about all this sexual stuff like not hardcore or anything but I I was very aware of sex and things like that when I was six or seven and so were my friends so I maybe kids are learning later now I like I mean, you're my age. You know, you know. In that time, it just seemed like that was talked about a lot. Maybe his kids had less to do. So you don't limit, you don't limit his time on the internet or anything. Um, I I try, but uh, the kids just yeah. love to. They just, the kids just love to do it so much these days. You know, like it, it's changed. It's like a. I think, like in our day, it was kind of in the middle where there were things out like like Atari, and and stuff you could play. So there were video games you could play at home, but. Uh, it wasn't something kids like just constantly did. You all kids played outside a lot, and that it, it was kind of like a mixture. Right. You'd play the stuff at home, and then you'd also go outside and play a lot. And like now, you walk outside, you you don't see kids out there very much. You you see a little bit of it, but the the kids just they're not as outside as much anymore. They they all they just love playing these games now. It's it's much more of a focus than it was when we were growing up. And then of course the before our generation, people didn't have any of that stuff, and all they did was play outside. We kind of had the middle ground. You you are quite a bit older than I because I I was nowhere near close to being able to go into casinos in 1985. I wasn't. I I won't say exactly. I wasn't going into casinos. I am not in my my 15. I was was not able to legally gamble in 85. I wasn't anywhere close to that. I was. Oh, okay. You you know I'm not old enough to have played in 85. If I if I was what? if I was old enough to have played in casinos in 1985, I would look great for my age. I would look. Well, yeah. I would look really, really young for. To, if I could play in 85, I would. If I was 21 in 85, that would make me uh, 55 or 56 now. And uh, uh, it, 
I, I think that uh, you, you could probably have a thousand people guess my age, and I, I'm pretty sure not one of the thousand, unless they're blind, would think I was 55 or 56. So I would be one of the youngest looking. Oh, you, you don't look that age, but no. people age differently. No, but I, but there's, there's, like, there's. I'm saying that I would look so young for 55 or 56 at this point that it would be shocking for anyone to hear I was that age. So I, no, I was not. I'm the same age as you. We already had this discussion a long time okay. ago. No, I, I was okay. talking about 85. I wasn't actually playing. I was with my parents in casinos in 85, but I, and I, I observed them. I observed the casinos. I couldn't stand around and watch my parents play. But uh, I, I observed casinos in 85, but I, I could not play in them. Though I did, I played video poker in 87, illegally. But that's, that was, uh, I, I was tall enough to pass for an adult from behind, but not from the front. My face did not look any older than 15 in 87. So uh, I, would, I would play some video poker then. And hope that I did not. I get... did gamble a few times. Uh, I, I I think I was around nineteen. I, I gambled a few times uh, in a casino, um, and I didn't didn't have any problems getting getting carded or anything. But they they, they weren't on it that much back yeah. then. Well, at nineteen, it makes more sense. Like when I was fifteen in eighty seven, I knew if they saw my face, it would be game over. So I, I would go to the I would go to the the bank of machines all the way against the wall in the on the, in the corner. And just hope security didn't make it over there. And only one time did they catch me. And uh, I would constantly hit cash out. So I'd cash out uh, after every hand, and I would go ding, 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 and the, the actual coin, and I would go ding, 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 and the, the actual coins would fall. And then I'd put them, in, and then I'd reinsert the coins and play because I, I knew they'd confiscate anything I had in the machine if they caught me. So I, I every hand I had to cash out. And uh, finally, some security guard uh, at the Hilton, the Las Vegas Hilton, found me and said, can I see some ID? <laughs> and I actually said, no, I left it in my room. I didn't even admit that I'm not, uh, that I don't even have ID because I'm not 16 yet. But uh, then he gave me the speech about, I, I can go to jail for this and all this other crap. And I, I knew he was just blowing smoke up my ass to scare me. And I said, yeah, 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 I understand. I understand. And go, okay, bye. And I left. So that was, I, I didn't get well, any. Back in the day in Las Vegas, uh, I think the place was called Video Time. Um, when you went in there and rented a video, it would let you spin this uh, electronic thing, and about one out of four times you would get a coupon for a free ten dollars at the Four Queens. And you would take the coupon down to the Four Queens, and you just hand it to the the booth people, and they would hand you a roll. It wasn't quarters; they were tokens. But they would go. They had like a little contraption that would go down inside, and, and it would register as a quarter. Um, so basically I would just, uh, go over to the, the video time and my brother worked there at the time and he would just sit there and spin the button over and over and over and collect all these coupons. And so I would take those coupons down and I'd hand them to the, the booth person and then they would give you this fake roll of quarters or whatever that you went over and you'd play them in the video poker machine just like you, you would, uh, playing a roll of quarters and I would go in there and cash those out and hit the door. Eventually, they started limiting the number that you could go in there and uh, uh, redeem. Um, so I would take the coupons, and I would stand outside the Four Queens, and I would offer people like $2 if they would go in and redeem my <laughs> coupon and bring me back out the, the tokens. And then I'd go in there, and I'd claim, and I'd, you know, I, I wasn't doing that many of them. Uh, we didn't have tons and tons of these because nobody wanted to get in trouble for doing caught doing this at video time. Uh, so, uh, and believe it or not, I only got uh, ripped off one time. 
where I gave somebody the coupon and they didn't come back and give me the tokens. And there was a couple of <laughs> guys that went in there and they, uh, to, uh, I gave them the $2 cause I give the people the money up front. Uh, and I gave them the money up front and then they took the coupons and then they went and they started playing the video poker and, I kind of went in there and asked them, and they were just like, oh, fuck off. You know, they were drunk, and they were just fucking with me. But, uh, yeah, that was kind of fun doing that. That was my first uh, experience that I had with Advantage Play type of stuff. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't know what I was doing, obviously. I was playing one coin at a time, and I, I probably had nothing. I, I had no clue how to play the correct strategy. So I think normally my $10 roll would turn into, like, 7 bucks or something like that. Interestingly, when I was like 15 and 16, they, they actually let me play sports bets. I would actually go place them because I figured I had nothing to lose. If I went to go place them and they asked me for ID, I'd just say, oh, I don't have it, sorry, and walk away. And if they took the sports bet, then uh, then they'd print the ticket for me. Obviously, I'd be fine, and then I'd, I would have my dad cash it out if I won. So that was my plan is if I win, then I'll have my dad cash it out. If, if I lose, then there's no problem. And if I go to place the bet and they don't let me, then maybe I can send my dad back to do it. But here I can just do it myself until they say no. And never once did they turn me away at the sports betting desk. And it was very clear I wasn't 21. Very clear. I was I was the height of someone who could be 21, but I, by facially it was so clear I wasn't 21. It, it probably wouldn't work, but if you went in and made a large enough bet and you lost, then you could have your father come back in there yeah. and say, how can you let your son bet this large bet? You give him back his money. That would have been a good idea. That, that would have been a good idea that could, my father could bring me back there and say, look at him. Could, he, could you think he's 21? Look at his face. There's no way he's a 21-year-old. Why didn't you ask him about this? This is an invalid bet. That's a good, and then if I won, I'd just give it to him to cash in. That would have, that would have been a – Refund his money or we're calling gaming and you'll get a bigger fine. Yeah, that, that could have been a, the, an underage advantage play. Wow. Okay. There was a story quite a while ago. I'm sure you remember this, and I think it happened at Bally's where they let some – some underage guy bet quite a bit of money um, in there playing blackjack or something like that. Do you recall that story? I th- probably heard something about it. I don't remember it anymore. Yeah, I don't remember it I- anymore. That's what I was, I was wondering. But I, I, I think either there was a lawsuit or something like that regarding that. But he, 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 it, it did not go in his favor from what I remember. All right. Well, I want to mention about this another coronavirus uh, situation. About there's a spike in cases that have been seen since uh, various states have reopened, and th- this is not shocking because w- what's going to happen when people stop hiding in their house and go out and interact with one another is there's going to be a spike in cases. And that's uh, anyone who says, "Oh my God, this is the, look." Well, I didn't hear you. What was the virus just. Right. And the the other thing is that this was expected. It's not like they said, let's reopen because we know there will be no spike in cases. We knew there's a spike in cases. It was just it was determined that since the health care system is not going to be overwhelmed by whatever number of new cases there are, that since they're ready to take in those patients that they're going to have to take, that a spike in cases is something we just have to accept because you can't just leave the economy closed for an eternity in, until uh, a vaccine comes when there's a chance one may never even come anyway. So it's not like a vaccine's around the corner. It's not like we know for sure there's going to be an effective vaccine. So we, we can't just leave the economy closed and, and spend all the country's money in a few months. So that, it made sense why they had to reopen. So I don't, it's not a huge news that there's a spike in cases. And I don't, those that are citing this, I don't understand what they feel should have been done differently. Should we just continue locking down for 
another year. Like I don't know what their plan is uh, other than reopening, but there there actually has been a, a spike in cases, uh, and it will be interesting to see where it goes from there. Uh, and also how many, how much of the spike can be attributed to the social protests, which went on over the past two weeks. What it really is, the rioting. Well, and um, there is both. I mean, it, it was, it was the pro and believe me, I've been very critical of this. I don't know if you've seen my Twitter, but I've been critical of a lot of the, uh, narratives from the left about this and, and minimizing a lot of the, the bad deeds being done or, or making excuses or claiming that it's, it's only because the police instigated that no, it's, 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 there's a lot of nonsense coming from the left about this. And, uh, are there a lot of peaceful protesters? Yes. Uh, but still a lot of the peaceful protesters who are not causing any trouble, guess what they're also doing? Gathering in very, very large groups, many of whom are not wearing masks. So uh, that uh, I thought before this, when there were a bunch of people that were protesting about the closures, about uh, that they don't have the right to do things they want to do. And there were a lot of people on the left saying, oh, my God, this is awful. These people are risking everyone's lives by going out and demonstrating together. For some reason, that was so awful and terrible. But then when it came to protesting about the uh, about the police brutality incident, that somehow that was okay. And it isn't. The, the coronavirus doesn't distinguish why you're out there protesting. It doesn't say, well, if you're out there for this reason, we're going to infect you. But if you're out there for protesting for Black Lives Matter, we're going to spare you. That's not how it works. It's either safe to be out in a large group or it's not. And this is this really didn't get as much play as I felt it should have, that – some of these groups that were protesting were huge. It was some of them were like 60,000 or more people together. So how can you say at any point after you've said it's okay for 60,000 people to get together in close, very close quarters, how can you say anything's unsafe at this point? Why, why not just open up concerts and ball games and let everyone just go if that was okay? And I don't understand that. I don't understand why that was an exception. It didn't have to be that way. It wasn't like there was already a lot of outrage about that that killing, and you didn't need sixty thousand people out there uh, in a group. Like you can't just say, "Well, because of this, this we have to go out for." It's it's either it's safe to do or it's not safe to do, and you can't just say, "Well, for this reason, it's okay. It's it's too important not to." So it'll be interesting to see. Didn't they come out with some? Re- or maybe it was Fossey or something. I don't know. They, they covered about all the safety stuff you need to be worried about and doing in the casinos and restaurants opening and all those things. But they didn't say you should be safe during your protesting. Yes. Did you notice that? They didn't think of that. It was completely they, ignored. They, they, brought up restaurants, they brought up all everything else and said how you need to do social distancing and wear your mask and what. But not... But, Included in that was not. Oh, and by the way, when you're out there protesting, you need to be doing the same thing. Yeah, there's just like giant groups of people together, and they don't care. And it's, we still don't see it brought up. Like you still see all kinds of scenes out there with, with people together, and and there's no comment about it. There's just no, just you're just like it's almost like there's no coronavirus anymore, as far as that's concerned. So. Uh, but that is that is going to cause a spike in cases. There has been a spike in cases, and since this protesting began two weeks ago. We do have to wonder how much can be attributed to that. Now, it's not all that because some of the spikes were seen before the protests started. But I think any spike in cases that we see in June, or at least uh, in the parts of June that were 
two days or more following the beginning of the protests, which is pretty much like a week and a half ago now, that we have to take all of that with a grain of salt and say, well, wait a minute, that was probably from the protests. And even if we can't say if it was or wasn't, that is a variable that's in there that we can't really gauge as far as everything else in the future. And it really throws a wrench into this because we can't look at the numbers that are going to come in June and say, okay, opening has been safe or opening has been unsafe because we had this extra thing thrown in here, which nobody was expecting. So, and it's presumably not going to go on for eternity. Eventually this is going to stop. In fact, a lot of it has, uh, has gone down a lot anyway. There's much less of this than there was before, but really for much of June, the numbers are going to be skewed by this big time. And, uh, I think we're going to see a big spike from a lot of this and, uh, so that, that could be a problem too. But the good news about that is it's not going to matter that much going forward because as we get farther and farther from when these occurred. Shouldn't have there been a much bigger spike by now? Um, no, because uh, as I said, the average time is four to five days. Now, I know we're way past four or five days since this started, but the, not everybody went out the first day. Maybe some people started the protests uh, a week ago and they're just starting to feel symptoms now. Uh, there's also the period of not just when you feel symptoms, but when you actually go in the hospital. So so if if people start feeling coronavirus symptoms now, what are they going to probably do? Well, if they're not that bad, they're just going to go lie down and and hope it goes away and it, it, it doesn't get that terrible. They're not going to go report it anywhere. They're not going to go get tested unless it's really easy. They just probably want to stay at home and, and hope it passes. So uh, I know a lot of people personally who before all this, I'm not talking about protest stuff, but I'm talking about before any of this happened, but... I know people who got the coronavirus, people who are post on my site got the coronavirus, people listening to the show got the coronavirus and have communicated with me about it. And not one of them to my not actually one of them did, but, but only one of them of all the people I've talked with actually went and got tested. The rest of them, or I'm sorry, two did. Two, two, two that I know of got, went and got tested. Uh, everybody else just didn't because they, even ones that had it pretty badly, it never got to the breathing problem part. So they, they felt, okay, right. I don't need to go into the hospital. I don't feel like going in for a test. I know what I have, and I'm not going to do it. And there's a, a younger member. I mentioned him on a previous show, a younger member of the site who's 33. He got it. He was fortunate not to have very bad symptoms, probably because he's 33. Uh, he woke up unable to taste one day. <laughs> just just He just wakes up and his taste is just gone. He goes, oh, crap, I know what that has to be. So he had it. That's a very obvious symptom. I get tested to see if I had the antibiotics, so I would know that hey, now now I can go out and and feel pretty comfortable that uh, I should be okay at least. I, I I'll tell you why you probably shouldn't bother, and that is there's these te- these antibody tests. There's no regulation of them. There's no. It's not known the quality of these tests. They'll claim ninety nine percent accurate, and that's just BS. They're just making up numbers. They, they, these are self. I mean, I think I would try to want to get like two or three of them just to, to confirm everything. I mean, I don't know if that, that can that even not... help. I, I, I think yeah. it'll be good enough. Huh? It's like, ah, you maybe, maybe it's 50 50 after three. I mean, at what point? Well, no, but if they're, if they're using the same I'm mechanism, to, if, if these are all similar enough to where they're all going to fail the same way, it could be the problem. Here's, here's, here's the issue with the, the antibody test it was an unfortunate side effect of something correctly was done. Uh, but uh, it ended up – the one thing it ended up hurting was the antibody tests. 
and that is they removed a lot of uh, FDA requirements for proving the tests work. And so basically a lot of red tape, bureaucratic red tape was removed from a lot of these processes because the coronavirus is it's such an urgent matter that there's no time for bureaucracy. And that's usually a good thing, except the one problem is as far as tests are concerned, that is kind of something that uh, you do want some oversight because otherwise uh, you don't know the quality of the test that's being taken. So so they they did this mainly to make it to where it was easier to get experimental drugs on the market and you'd have to wait for for long long tests on it and and the thinking was and the correct thinking is you're you're dying of coronavirus if if uh, which develops pretty fast it it goes pretty fast from starting to feel symptoms to feeling bad to feeling terrible to if you're if it's going to go that way to getting critical where you might die you don't have time to waste where where they're doing all these extensive tests on possible drugs that could help you so the federal government removed a lot of these restrictions where you can be able to try a lot of these without having to go through all that red tape. And for so I have a question for you. Yeah. I have a question for you. So if these antibiotic testing doesn't work, now aren't they getting blood from people that have had the coronavirus, correct? Yeah. Okay. So if the antibiotic if the testing doesn't work, how do they know that the blood's going to work? That, that, that it's not that it doesn't work. It's, it's that it's not reliable. See, there's, there's two potential problems with taking any kind of test which is going to come back positive or negative. One is false positive. One is false negative. And uh, so, so the, and they both are – they both can be big problems if they're occurring a fairly decent percentage of the time. The false positive will lead you to believe you have something which will cause you all kinds of stress and maybe to take uh, medication you shouldn't be taking or or, uh, or doing other things to uh, that in, in reaction to having it that you wouldn't have done if the test was accurate. And then false negatives, of course, uh, you, you believe you don't have something which you really do. So they, they both – like, for example, uh, there's a thing called Cologuard out there, which is kind of an alternative to getting a colonoscopy. And uh, Cologuard, unlike a colonoscopy where they're, uh, you either put, get put under heavy sedation or they, they put you out and then you have to drink this like awful solution before doing it and, and have terrible diarrhea. And then it, it's an unpleasant procedure, the colonoscopy, in, in several ways. And uh, so this thing called Cologuard that's out that all you do is just take a stool sample and mail it in and they come back and tell you if you, uh, if you have colon, if you have the early stages of colon cancer or not. So now it's not as good as a colonoscopy. Colonoscopies they can actually take out polyps that will become cancerous later. So it's uh, it, right. it's still better, but the Cologuard is, is better than nothing. But there's one big problem with Cologuard, and there's the re- I actually was going to do it and then chose not to. There is a 13% false positive problem. 13%, which may not sound like much, but that's it's it's not like it's one percent. 13% is like is like uh, between. Uh, one in seven and one in eight. So it's not that unlucky if you get the false positive. So imagine you do it and you get back the result positive and you think you have colon cancer. And then it's not like you can go in the next day and get the colonoscopy. You have to schedule it. You have to wait some time. It can take months to get in, especially now. Can you imagine having to sit there for months thinking you have colon cancer and then find out months later the test was a false positive? So that's a, that's a terrible false positive to have because the consequence of having positive is terrible and you're going to sit there thinking you're, that you're dying and in reality you, you don't have it. So so now they, may, they can probably get you okay, in faster. Up this, line, 
along those lines, you're saying that getting the colonoscopy is is a better gauge. Yes, much uh, better. Going back to the coronavirus, um, where the tests that they give you are, are, are probably crappy in the first place, is there a way that they can test the blood directly and say, oh, definitely you've had it? No, they they can't. See, that's, they're still coming up with that. And there, there's a there's a belief that eventually the antibody test is going to improve as they develop more of it, and it, it eventually it will be very accurate. That's that's it's an assumption. It's not sure, but there the the belief is that there's a high chance that they will come up with a very accurate antibody test eventually. The problem is right now there's a ton of them out there, and nobody knows which ones are good and which ones are bad, and there's no way to really know. Somebody blood under the assumption that somebody else that it's going to help them because somebody else had the antibiotics. Be- because 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 there's I'm not saying they're complete garbage and mean nothing. I'm saying that uh, let, let's let's say for example there's a a 15. 15- you might be getting the good blood with antibiotics and you might not. So now you're flipping more coins. Yeah, you're flipping, but but it's 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 not as bad as you think there because at least you're uh, when they're giving you first of all. Okay, not quite because a lot of people just know they had it. It's very clear with a lot okay. of people that they had it from the symptoms they had. So then you take the anti- – they're going to have antibodies, these people, okay? So the, those people, for sure, you're going to get antibodies there. The problem is testing for those that don't know they have it, of, of proving that those antibodies are in people's blood. It's different to getting them where you know the antibodies are there. This is where you're taking it from someone and determining are they there. And that's a different. So they're probably only going to take the blood from somebody that they're pretty sure had it. Yes, that's that's what they do. They they take it from people that. No, and it comes back positive, and D, the person had all the symptoms, and they were sick, and all those things. Yes. So assuming that person being honest, then we sh- I, uh, that that would that makes sense. Well, that in fact, someone I know, Victor Romden, a poker player who had the coronavirus, he was actually contacted after having it. And he had te- he had tested positive, and he had some pretty bad symptoms. Uh, he, after he was recovering from it, he got contacted by the hospital saying, "Can you please come back and and give us your antibody? We're going to take your blood for the antibodies." And he said, "Okay, fine, I'll come do it. Anything that can help." So so he went and did it. Uh, so so they contacted him because they knew he had it. He tested positive. He had all the symptoms. It all it all matched up. It all made sense. So they said, "Okay, well, let, let's get it from him." So. Uh, so I wouldn't worry so much if they're giving you antibody. If they're giving you someone's blood who had the antibodies in it that was known to have the virus, then that's pretty reliable. What's not that reliable yet is if you have no idea whether you had it or not, and you just want to get a test. Uh, the presence of those antibodies is apparently not that easy to test for, and even the companies that claim they're doing it with 99% accuracy, this is their own internal claim, so there's no way to validate it. Usually, it has to go through a lot of independent testing where they can't make up numbers. They were the independent uh, tests determine how effective it is, and and that's what they have to report. But that's that's out the window. So that, the reason I don't take an antibody test, first of all, I doubt I had it. Second... Even if I came back showing that somehow I was one of the lucky ones that did have it and is asymptomatic, and, and I just didn't know, and now I have the antibodies, that would be great to find out, but I couldn't trust it. I wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't say, okay, great, I, I can let my guard down. I'd say, ah, I don't know if I can trust this. So it's useless to me at this point. If they were to come out with a very accurate antibody test, then I would definitely go take one, even believing that there's a very high chance it'll come back negative. And I'm going to tell everybody something else, and I've said it before here, but I've just I want people to take this seriously. If you are over 45 
and you felt mild symptoms at some point in 2020 to where you think you might have had it. If you remember, oh, and on, on January 20-something, I got pretty sick, and it was different than anything I've had before. It wasn't exactly like what they described, but I got pretty sick, and I had some of these symptoms, and I think I may have had it. Uh, you probably didn't. Why? Because if you're over 45, this is my belief from my own observation. That hasn't been scientifically proven. But it is my belief if you're over 45 and you felt symptoms that they will be very, very bad. There's, there's some exceptions to this, but for the most part, if you are over 45 and felt symptoms at all, then it's probably something you're never going to forget or or never going to like have any doubt about that you really had it. Uh, the, I, I do I do believe there's asymptomatic I do believe there's asymptomatic people. What was that? If you're over 45, you're going to be have been sick as a dog, and you'll know damn well what you had. I, I think either that or you won't feel it at all. I think it's going to be pretty much one of those two. Uh, ah, I, and so, so it's, it's. I don't think it's common. You're going to have had a mild illness if you're over 45. It's going to be one or the other. So that's that's what I believe. That's my belief. And I think when this is all done and they have a much clearer picture of everything, I think when they go back, it's going to be said that those who are over 45 either got asymptomatic or they got it pretty badly, and those under 35, they were mostly getting it mild or not at all, and not at all meaning symptoms. And, and those who were very old, they were getting it pretty badly or asymptomatic or dying. And uh, and then there were some unlucky people in age groups where you wouldn't expect, a few outliers that would die that you wouldn't expect from it or got very bad symptoms that you wouldn't expect, but that uh, these were the big outliers that for the most part it didn't affect people under 35 that badly. I think that's going to be what – when the whole thing's done, that's going to be what, what we learn about when, when it's all over and they have no reason to BS about it anymore. So that's that's what I think we're going to see. So, so as far as the spike in cases, going getting back to that, uh, is it time to worry yet? Well, a little bit. It, it, when I say time to worry, I don't mean it's time to go, oh, my God, we made a mistake. Why do we reopen? I, I don't think we're to where we should say that, especially with the complication with the protests and with the riots and with the massive number of people gathering together. Uh, we can't draw any – What are you on the – they're saying that uh, it's losing its potency – well, we discussed that last week. We discussed that last week, and it's something which is possible. Uh, and it, it, what I am seeing, and what what is optimistic, is that you see these hot spots: Italy, Spain, New York City, that were just absolutely horrible at one point, and now have gotten tremendously better on their own. And there's no explanation okay. for how that's happening. How how is it getting that much better in these places? It's not like everybody's had it. It's not herd immunity. So, like, how is it in certain places that it just gets horrendous for some period of time, and then once it starts to get better, it, it drastically improves. It doesn't go away, but it drastically improves to where it, it doesn't become a hotspot anymore, and I don't understand how that's happening. It shouldn't be happening, and it could be because it weakens in some way. Viruses do weaken. Viruses that uh, that are deadly, they do weaken for their own survival because when you die, they die. Right. So so they right. weaken for their own survival, and it is possible that maybe it, it is rapidly able to mutate and weaken itself in places where it's uh, where people are dying fast. That it, it evolves very quickly to stop doing that and stop killing people as much. And it, it could be it could be that's what's going on. Uh, I'm not sure how to explain that, but that's well, I know there was that, that report out of Italy. If it's not the case and that doesn't work, I just can't fathom how. 
this is just not going to spike up so bad and just get terrible. And I, I don't know that we'll have shutdowns again because at that point it might just say, you know what, screw it, we're not shutting. Yeah, I don't think we will. Again. I don't. I don't think we're going to shut down again. That, that has uh, changed the way um, our team right now is handling whether we're moving forward playing at this point. We're on a wait and see things because we don't want to go out there and play and then have all this shut down again and then have to wait for free play and other things to come about. So we're kind of on a wait and see right now. Well, there's another good reason Um, we wait and see. There's another good reason is that uh, it would be nice to see what kind of spike we're looking at here because I'll tell you the truth here. It is more because of the spike. It actually is more dangerous now to expose yourself potentially, you know, like in public, it is more dangerous now than it was a month ago. Why? Because there's more cases now that are starting up because of both the reopening and these protests. So if there's more cases out there, then it's actually more dangerous now than it used to be. Like for in Southern California, especially LA County, LA County, it, it, it has spiked up already before the reopening was already starting to spike up. Uh, not Northern California, but Southern California it has spiked up and it got to a point where it actually was the most dangerous ever from the coronavirus to be out. And it didn't feel like it because things were reopening while that was happening. So when they're reopening, you get the psychological feeling like, oh, things are getting better. We're reopening. But in reality, it was actually more dangerous than ever in Southern California because of the number of cases that were out there. And and, and then it's just going to get complicated by the reopening. So just because things are reopening and feels less dangerous doesn't mean it is less dangerous. Just because things are allowing you in, just because the government's allowing you to do more things, this has been more of just an acceptance of, well, this kind of sucks. Well, this is dangerous. Well, there's there's people are going to die from this, but we can't shut down any longer. So let's just try to deal with it and manage it. It reminds me a little bit of the, the thing that started off all my psychological problems, as I've told you people, was on August 15th, 2018, noticing there was a lump feeling in my throat that I couldn't clear. I couldn't get it. I couldn't make it go away. It was just a, a permanent like lump in my throat that was, it just felt like it was stuck there. Not like food stuck in my mouth, in my throat, but like just a kind of a lump there. Like you want to clear your throat and make it go away. And I couldn't make it go away. And, and to feel that and not be used to it, uh, it, it, it brought on like a panic. And that started a whole chain of events that eventually brought on the, these terrible, crippling psychological problems I got for the, for the next uh, – at a very high level for the next two months and then at a lower level after that after I started to get it under control. But that was the catalyst of the whole thing. People have asked me when I've told them the whole story. They've asked me, uh, so, so how did you get rid of that lump? I said, oh, I didn't. They said, you have it now? I said, yes. They said, well, why, why aren't you feeling the same way now? I said, because I got used to it. And they said, so it doesn't bother you anymore? I said, no, it bothers me sometimes, but I, 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 I've just gotten used to the fact that it's going to be there. And I made, I made peace with this. haven't said why the lump is there or how to get rid of it? Well, there, there's no way to get rid of it. It's, it's going to be stuck, probably going to be there forever. But uh, it, it's, it's more of a sensation rather than a physical thing that's there. And, there, there's, there. and it's not exactly clear why it's there. I have some theories, but it doesn't matter. It's something I cannot permanent, okay. I cannot get rid of. I can't make it go away. But I, I I already have made peace with this. I have I, with everything I went through back in 2018, and at my worst points, I I made peace with this and some other things and said, 
I am not aiming to feel perfect. I am not aiming to go back to the way I was before this. I am aiming to go back to something that is mostly normal. And the things that are not completely back, as long as they're mild, I can deal with them. And I will be very happy to be at that spot. And that's where I got. That's where I've remained. And believe me, not a day goes by that I'm not thankful about that, that, I, that I'm not where I was. But the, the difference is that instead of in, on August 15, 2018, where I'm like, oh, my God, there's a lump I can't clear from my throat. This is so uncomfortable. I can't believe I'm going to be stuck with this. I'm like, yeah, okay, it's there. I don't, I don't love it, but uh, I'm just kind of used to it being there. That's not, uh, it's not ideal, but I'm used to it. doesn't bring on any panic. Doesn't, uh, d- d- it isn't something that uh, I think about that much anymore. And that's that. So it's similarly with the coronavirus, it, it, it's kind of almost like an acceptance. Like, okay, this isn't ideal, but uh, we can't just leave the economy shut down for long periods of time. So we're just going to reopen and it's going to be unpleasant and there's going to be some changes and things aren't going to look the way they used to. And people uh, are going to try to make them social distance and, and certain things like buffets are, are out of the question. And, and we're not sure what we're going to do about sports. A lot of things we, we haven't quite figured out yet, and people don't still don't want to fly. We've got a lot of stuff that isn't quite normal, but we're going to try to feel this out, and basically we're just going to deal with it, and as long as it doesn't overwhelm our healthcare system, uh, we're just going to move forward. And that's, that's basically what we've done, but that doesn't mean it's gone. Much like my lump in the throat is not gone, the danger of the coronavirus is not gone. It's just more of how we're dealing with it. And I'm not arguing how we're dealing with it. I think the right move has been made as far as reopening, but number one, expect the spikes and number two, be realistic that now your chance of catching it is higher, not lower. Just because they reopen doesn't mean it's lower. In some places it's lower. New York, it's lower. In New York city, it's much safer to walk around there now than it was a month ago and two months ago. But in, uh, in Los Angeles, it's, it's more dangerous in the last two weeks. And not just because of the, the protests I'm talking about, uh, uh coronavirus wise, even if the protests hadn't happened, there was a spike in, in LA and it's, it was more likely you're going to catch it now in LA than it was back in April and May prior to the reopening and in March. Like those were, those felt more dangerous than now, but they're not. They're actually less dangerous. So to be aware of that, especially if you're someone who really wants to stay away from it. If you're old, if you have pre-existing problems, even if you're just middle aged and don't want to get it because of the likelihood of getting the severe symptoms. It's just, it's, it's smart to stay away. And, uh, that's what I would suggest. So, uh, I, I, if you're all, if you're in a situation where you, you don't have to go to work or you don't have to go do all these things, um, then, 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 Hey, just chill out and, and, and be really cautious and don't go out and do those things. Yeah. Um, and be a lot more careful. You know, don't stop your life, but, Hey, you know, you, you don't you don't have to go to the that SWAT meet on Sunday because you got to get that uh, toaster that's on sale or whatever the case. You know, skip that those things. But uh, you know, go do your normal grocery shopping, wear a mask, and uh, be cautious, and maybe go less, buy more than you normally would, and, and stay home more than you normally would. You know, go go do stuff out in the you know, go up to the mountain where there's not a whole bunch of people. Just do things, you know, maybe yeah. stay out of the casinos and do something different, uh, you know. And, and everybody, can, everybody can decide for themselves. I, I think everybody should decide right. for themselves what the, what they think is best for themselves. And, uh, and that's why even though I am choosing to still stay away from all these things, 
uh, that doesn't mean I'm saying you have to or that I want the government to make laws to force you to. That's that's why. Because I'm choosing something. I, I've never felt that everybody has to do what I want or like what I like or make decisions that I make. I feel that uh, every, everybody's an individual and, and uh, they, they should have a lot of choice for themselves as long as they're not... Uh, what, if an area, what if an area just gets so bad that it, it, it just gets so bad? Do you, do you think in that case, in that area, they should be shutting down I that think, area? I think like, they should look no, at... No. I, I think that is going to be tough because it's hard to put this genie back in the bottle once you've reopened everything with people just itching to go out and finally they can't, ah, oh, it feels so good, okay, it kind of feels like normal again. No, no, go back in, we're done. Like that, That's going to be much harder to do. But uh, if an area gets really terrible, then they first of all have to look at what they think is causing it, like what specifically is happening to cause it to spike like as bad as it is. And and second, they have to look at how the healthcare system is handling it. Are they going to run out of hospital beds? If they are, does the next uh, city or county over have enough to where people can be transported there, or can they op- can they reopen some of these emergency facilities that they got ready and then ended up closing because they didn't need them? Uh, can they reopen some of those to take more people in? Are they, it turns out the ventilators, not only do they have a ton of them they don't need, but uh, it turns out the ventilators might be causing more harm than good. So the ventilator concern is kind of out the window now. So I, I think it's it, the reopening is here to stay. We're just going to have to deal with what the consequences are. And unless it's way worse than expected, it, it's just going to be have to it's going to have to something that you have to deal with now. And I said a while ago. And I hope this doesn't turn out to be true, but this just may be a new danger that is in life that can kill you or get you very sick that didn't used to be there. And people will get used to it as much as they – over time, people will get used to it. Let's say there's no, never a vaccine that works, never a cure. We're kind of just stuck in the same situation we are today for the long term. Uh, this just may be something that people live with and, and, and that kids, they'll grow up and this will be normal to them. And it's just kind of a shock to the system for those that uh, live their whole life with nothing like this existing. So that's this just may be a new part of life that we didn't uh, – as I've said on previous shows, you go back 100 years, there is tons of stuff that killed people early. Tons of – not just that one Spanish right. flu. I mean there were, ton, there were tons of, of situations where kids would die. There would be these families where they'd have uh, six kids and only four would survive. And th- that wasn't uncommon. There was a, There was a lot of death back then from various diseases that are gone today and and to where people now and for decades now, not just in in 2020, but even in in the 70s, the 80s, uh, basically my my whole lifetime, uh, it's been reasonable to expect that if you don't have an unusual condition and you don't uh, meet your death through uh, accident or, or violence, that you're going to live out uh, a full life and that something is going to kill you that is, is something that, uh, it, it, you know, something either you're going to get very old and just die of one of many diseases that kills old people, or even if you die earlier, it'll be something that people know are a danger, like a, like a heart attack or cancer or something like that. So, yeah, you you may know there's – you'll grow up knowing, okay, I'm pretty safe from everything, but maybe I'll get really unlucky and have a heart attack at 50 and it'll kill me. Maybe I'll get really unlucky and, and get cancer when I'm 45 and it'll kill me. But uh, But you'll think – First of all, that's that's pretty unlikely, and and second, uh, like I'm not worried about any infectious disease killing me I- until I'm old, right. and that's that's what people think. That's what people have thought pretty much their whole lives, dating back several decades. And so this may be a new thing where yes, there there is an infectious disease out there that might kill you or or damage you badly, 
and, and that's well. I think with our technology and how we're advancing, uh, it, eventually they'll figure something out. Uh, I mean, I hope it. It took a long time, like like the like uh, with <laughs> time, but eventually we'll figure it out. Yeah, look, look how long it took before they they got something that was effective against HIV, which they still can't cure, but they they have a lot of effective therapies against it now. But it took a very long time to get there, and. Uh, uh, as I mentioned earlier in the show, I'm not. Uh, I was never that worried about it because I, I I recognized pretty early from looking at the stats myself. I go, well, I'm a heterosexual guy. I'm never going to use intravenous drugs. Never going to have sex with a man. So I'm I'm not that worried. I don't think I'm going to get it. And it's not like I was getting prostitutes anyway. But even if I had, like a uh, something people didn't want to hear back then, but it was the truth. Uh, having sex, you could have unprotected sex with 500 different prostitutes as a heterosexual man. And you'd have a lower chance of contracting HIV than having unprotected sex with one other man. That was a fact. Oh, that that was a yeah, fact. That, that's going to get some black. Yeah, for sure. But that was true. true that's the truth. Not. I mean, that's the truth. And that's a. It, it was. I'm, and I. I was never one who said we shouldn't pay attention to AIDS because it's a, a gay disease. And it wasn't just a gay disease because heterosexual women got it too. Just because it wasn't getting heterosexual men that very much. That wasn't. I'm not saying it should have been minimized. But I, I was just saying back then and. Tell the truth. Tell the truth about what it really affects. So I wasn't that personally worried about uh, HIV then, uh, but I, I felt for those that did have to worry, people in the gay community. If you're gay, you're gay. You know, it's not uh, it's, it's not really your choice. That's if if and it would be kind of lousy, you know, to be uh, very lousy to be gay and know that whenever you have sex, you you could be contracting a disease that's going to kill you. And I was thinking, well. What if it was reversed? What if it was if it's heterosexuals or uh, heterosexual men who are catching this and dying? That would be really awful, and it'd be a very tough decision. Like, don't have sex or uh, risk your life having sex. So I, I felt bad for those who were vulnerable to it. I just knew I wasn't in that group. So, uh, but now I am in the now I am in the group that's vulnerable of uh, the, the coronavirus because of my age and also because I have high blood pressure. So that uh, I, I know that I'm in. A, and I, even the blood type they found. An A positive blood type is the one most likely to have severe symptoms, and that's what I have. So these are not good things to find out, and uh, for that reason, I'm being cautious. Okay, uh, one more thing. I don't want to scare well, anyone. Can I bring? I ask you a quick question. It, it, it's not really about the coronavirus or any of this. Um, it kind of plays in a little bit uh, with the riots and the coronavirus and everything. Um, do you think Trump will be reelected? Well, that's a very complicated question. I won't. I won't go into a long thing about it, but I, I, but I'm going to give a, a very quick. Yes or no? I'm going to give a very quick answer. I don't know. I really. This one's a very hard one to guess. And because there's betting that can be done on this. So this is related to gambling. So it's uh, definitely well, something. This is this is a very tough question. Unlike other elections, where I thought it, it was fairly obvious. Not the last one. The last one was a tough one too. And uh, and everybody who guessed guessed wrong for the most part, but uh, the previous elections, 2012, 2008, uh, th- those two were pretty obvious, and the two before them were, weren't as obvious, uh, especially 2000. But 96 was pretty obvious who was going to win. 92 was pretty obvious who was going to win. 88 is pretty obvious who was going to win. So a lot of these elections, it was it was fairly obvious who was going to win. Some close ones in there. This one, I don't know how ultimately close it's going to be, but it's so hard to predict because of what's going on in the year 2020. It's a very unusual year, very, very unusual year, right. and it's very hard to tell where that's going to take us. I was us. pretty sure it would 
going to be a lock for Trump before all this. Right. He was. He was. He was very. He was very likely to win, especially because his competition was so lousy. It was looking like he's going to either face uh, Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden, both of whom have been very weak general election candidates. And, and and the economy was doing well, and, and everything was looking good, and Trump looked like he was going to run over him. Uh, this obviously complicates it big time, and uh, I think what's going to determine whether he wins or loses is is, is uh, really uh, two factors. Well, actually, now three factors. It was two before, now it's three. The two factors at first, before these uh, these riots, the, the two factors before were, number one, is the how's the coronavirus going to shake out by election day? So if, if, and a lot of this is out of his hands. In fact, it's almost out of his hands completely. It, let's say in October, a vaccine comes out and is found to be very effective. Even if it's not totally distributed yet, even if, if just people know that uh, they're rapidly manufacturing a very effective vaccine and that they're going to give it to the most vulnerable people first, and then it's going to go from there as, as far as need. So if they announce this in October, that's going to greatly help Trump. Nothing to do with him, but it will greatly help him because people will feel optimistic and they will uh, – he gets credit that he doesn't really deserve from that just because it ended up working out that by October we have a vaccine and it's all going to be behind us. People can be in a great mood and they won't want to vote for a change. If in October we're still stuck with no progress – and any promised vaccine that they're talking about they're working on is just getting nowhere and they're all not showing good results and it's not clear when they're ever going to get one and and the whole thing's looking very bleak and then we had a spike in cases because of uh, the reopenings and there's a lot of people still dying and it's been dragging year you know month after month and we're we're already up to uh, 200 something thousand deaths by then or or, or even 250,000 uh, that's going to hurt him and that's going to that's, that's one of them of, of where the coronavirus goes before election day and it's out of his hands, but that is uh, going to greatly affect him. The better the coronavirus news by election day, the better chance he has to win. Second, the economy. If the economy is suffering a tremendous depression from this whole thing, then that's going to kill him. That's going to kill him worse than the coronavirus not having progress, because at least the coronavirus not having progress, you can say, well, it's a disease. What can you do? With the economy, that you can attribute more to the president so if the economy has not recovered or there's a or if it gets worse if there's a, a just a terrible economy going on when the election comes then he's dead he's going to lose if we have a rapid recovery what they call the v-shaped recovery because everybody's been waiting to do things and then once things reopen everybody goes to rush to do everything they've been waiting to do and they also have felt cooped up, so they're more likely to just do things recreationally. There's like, it's, just a, a, it's almost like releasing a dam that just the water rushes through because it's, it's been trying to get through all this time. And there's a V-shaped recover, recovery like that that people weren't expecting. Then that will greatly help him. So if the, if the terrible economic news that is expected to hit us later in the year, if that doesn't come and it goes reversed and, and we have a major recovery that wasn't expected – and the economic, oh, the overall economic impact here was no nowhere near as bad as first predicted. If that ends up being the case, then he's in very good shape. Those are the two big factors before, once the coronavirus started, that is. The third factor that just came up, I'm sure everybody can guess it, has to do with what will, and this is kind of, this is somewhat out of his hands, but not as much as the other two. But the, 
the question is what what's going to be the reaction of voters from what just happened here with the, with the social unrest, the protesting, the rioting, etc. And there's there's different theories about how this is going to affect Trump. There there's a theory that this has woken everyone up that there's a lot of racism in America that Trump is encouraging it, that Trump's a racist himself, that uh, this has opened everybody's eyes, this is going to energize a lot of black people, most of whom are Democrats, to go to the polls and vote against Trump, and that, uh, and, and that it's even going to energize other people uh, to go against them or even change some people's minds who were going to vote for him before and now are going to vote the other way uh, because this has really woken everybody up. That's, that's one theory. Another theory, though, is that this is going to turn off a lot of swing voters – from voting Democrat, ones who have soured on Trump, maybe voted in 2016 for him, but now have had soured on him and were going to vote for Biden this time. And then they saw all this and they saw that uh, Democrats were making excuses for the rioting and for the looting and, and for uh, just a lot of the craziness going on and that um, and, and that this stuff was just allowed to happen and that uh, it was uh, Trump and, and the Republicans who were speaking badly of the rioting and looting and wanting to take action. And if, if, if there is a desire for more law and order, then that's going to help Trump. If this is, if this has demonstrated that people can't feel safe with Democrats in charge, as far as uh, social unrest, as far as crime, as far as the police protecting you from situations like this. And when I say like this, I mean the, the rioting and looting that occurred, not the, uh, not the, the death that occurred to, to George Floyd. If, if the belief is that law and order just can't be in the hands of Democrats if it's going to be done right, then this is going to help Trump, especially because the swing voters could be affected by this. The ones who were, weren't sure where to go, and then they go, oh, no, 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 no. I'm seeing Democrats making excuses everywhere for the rioting and looting. This is awful. I, I, I'm not behind that at all. Even if I support the protests, I can't, I can't believe they're making excuses for these people and saying that it's okay they're doing it and, and that this is just revolution. No, no, no. Democrats are so out of touch. I, I can't vote for them. This is crazy. So if, if that's, there could be a backlash to this that, uh, that the swing voters are going to be turned off by the way the Democrats have been treating the social unrest. So that could help Trump in places where maybe he wasn't looking very good before. So that's it. And then also going forward, uh, what's going to be done? And so that's the big question from, from the riots that occurred, from the protests that occurred, even without riots, from, uh, from the police brutality itself that sparked the whole thing, from the police response to the protesting, which uh, at times was overreach and, and, and became brutality in some cases where they attacked people who didn't deserve to be attacked. There's also many cases where they claim, oh, this is brutality, and you look at the whole video and you go, no, 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 these people deserved it. Like, like I talked about the one in, in New York where they're blocking a police vehicle from, from proceeding and then pelting them with larger and larger objects. Like, if the vehicle tries to force its way through at that point, tough luck. That You, you shouldn't be blocking the police driving and then throwing objects at their vehicle. If you get uh, knocked down by their car at that point trying to get away from it, guess what? That's your fault. That's not the police's fault. So that's, that's not brutality. That's called you, you attack the police, you get attacked back. But I did see some videos which were inappropriate in the, the police's actions and in, in the response to some of this stuff. So uh, the, the right question now, if you're for, if you can get plus one fifty on Trump right now, 
how much money. Oh, I, 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 I don't know how much money I'd put on, but I would, I would take plus one fifty now. Um, though it's not a, I don't think plus one fifty. You can't sell the bet or you can't hedge off. You're, you're stuck with it. Yeah, see, I don't know what's. You know, not, I, I wouldn't bet that much because I would be afraid that uh, there's too many unknowns to this, and and I think he is an underdog at this point, but not a huge underdog. So I think plus one fifty is a good value, even if you, even as you said, if you can't hedge it, so you can guarantee yourself a win by betting the other way. It, right. uh, it, 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 but uh, I, I'm saying. What about plus two hundred? What about plus two hundred? Uh, I, I well, of course, the better it gets, the more I put on it. Uh, the I, I'm asking, at what point do you just go put twenty thousand on it, or whatever, whatever you're um, what, Well, what amount of bet hurts if you lose? But at what point do you say I don't care? I'm I'm putting that money down. That's a good question. I'm not sure. Like. Uh... Yeah, I, I, you know, it was stupid. Back in October, I saw that Biden was going to be. I, I saw Biden was going to be the nominee in October, and he was way undervalued. And I, I, I got plus five hundred on him being the nominee in October. And I, I just, uh, I looked at it, and I said, honestly, I just, I just cannot see how anybody else is going to get this nomination in this field. So as flawed as Biden is, I think he's going to get the nomination. Plus five hundred, tremendous value. So I bet thirty five hundred on it. I wanted to bet more, but somehow I talked myself out of it and only bet thirty five hundred. Uh, nice. And and then so yeah, that's gonna. Then it was looking very bad at one point. I could have gotten plus one thousand at one point when it was looking like Bernie's going to get it. And I, I didn't know that. Now that I don't blame myself for because at that point it did look bad. It was pretty much that the uh, the the DNC took action to prevent it. But but I still agree. Back in October, that was uh, the five hundred. The plus five hundred was great value because. Bernie's ascent wasn't foreseen. That was uh, like two things weren't foreseen: his ascent and then his uh, the, the rigging against him to stop it. But uh, it, it was a tremendous value, and I should have put more than thirty five hundred. Not just in hindsight, but I like even not too long after I placed it, I kind of regretted, and, and the odds went down. I, I regretted not having put more. So uh, sometimes I, I just talk myself out of these things when I know they're good bets. But uh, so I don't know how much I would put on Trump here because there's so much unknown to this. So would I put 20k? I mean, if if, if it was good enough, like you at plus 200, I probably would, even knowing I couldn't hedge any of it. Uh, right. No. But but I I I I, I, pro- I probably would because I think he's way better chance than that. But there's there's so so the last thing is not just what people are going to feel as far as the whether the riots have some kind of backlash, but also, what they do going forward, what, what is the solution going to ultimately be from the entire situation? And I'm going to discuss uh, very shortly before we end the show what I think the solution should be. But what I think it should be and what it actually becomes will be two different things possibly. And uh, depending on what that solution is and how much of it comes from Trump, and a, a lot of that remains unknown and how people react to it. And uh, now we're not going to see much results from any solution that's taken because there's not enough time left between now and November to see any solution that's taken, what, how effective it is. That's going to be something that takes more time. But just the public's perception of whatever the solution is, if anything, is I'm sure – I think something will be done. But whatever change is made, it depends on the public perception to it. So there's that factor too. So it's a very tough thing to predict. Usually in June it's more about uh, – how are the candidates coming off? How are they doing the debates? Uh, what, what's the momentum with, with, with how the public feels? 
we have all these weird things going on here that are not typical of an election year, like actual things happening in the year that weren't happening before that just abruptly showed up and are going to greatly change the present the presidential election and we thought we already had that with the coronavirus and the the economic ramifications and then oh, oh here comes some uh racial controversy that brings a uh, terrible uh social unrest and, and now we've got a new thing to worry about and and also like what the aftermath of that's going to be so a lot a whole lot to consider so i want to quickly mention one more coronavirus thing and then i'm going to I actually, it's a good transition what we were just talking about because I actually am going to give you what I believe my solution, the correct solution is to the police brutality concern. So there is a Broadway actor who got uh, very sick from the coronavirus and might die. He was 41 years old. He was in a number of Broadway shows. He wasn't all that famous, but some people who followed Broadway knew him. And it's kind of scared people because the, he has exactly the profile of someone that you kind of see yourself as, that like just kind of a normal 41-year-old guy who's healthy, who looks great in his Instagram pictures with his, with his wife and his kid, and then uh, now he's very close to death. So you see a story like that, and you say, crap, this could be me. So this is about Nick Cordero, who I hadn't heard of before, but I, I read his story. And it's very sad. He was born in September 1978. He's only 41. He has a young child. He got married three years ago. And he got the coronavirus on March 20th. He, he noticed he had it. I don't know when he got it, but he noticed he had it on March 20th. By March 30th, he was in fairly bad shape, and uh, he went to the hospital. He went downhill very fast by that point, and... On uh, April 1st, he was actually put in a medically induced coma and put on a ventilator. He was having big-time breathing problems. This scared a lot of people because this was not someone they could see had any reason to have such severe symptoms. His wife claimed he had no pre-existing conditions. He, uh, he was only 41. He seems healthy. So what... What could have caused this? Was it just really bad luck? What, what is making people like him go into such uh, terrible, uh, have such a terrible condition when they were totally fine prior to catching the coronavirus? And it's unknown. It's unknown what caused this. There's been some optimistic news about him and then some pessimistic news. It looks at very minimum that if he survives this, his life is going to be forever impacted very negatively. There's a, they may have to amputate his leg. His lungs seem to have been damaged from this. And uh, this is something he's never, he will never recover from fully. And if he survives this, it probably is going to impact his life expectancy. Uh, there's also a, a pretty good chance he's just going to die. Some days, they re- his wife has been chronicling his progress on her Instagram. And some days are better than others. She recently reported that the CT scan of his lungs were, quote, not pretty. So there's some days where there's very bad news and some days where it seems like it's encouraging, like that he's, uh, uh, that when they bring him out of the coma, he's able to breathe a little somewhat and he, he, that he somewhat knows what's going on. But there's also uh, a lot of 
bad news, including that she claims that he's not in good enough condition to survive a lung transplant. So if his lungs are damaged uh, bad enough to where it's thought that uh, they need to be replaced, they can't even do that right now because he's uh, too sick. If they were to attempt a lung transplant, he would probably die. So uh, it is certain that his lungs have been damaged and probably damaged very badly. So that's uh, that's something to think about if you're one of the people who says, okay, well, I, I, it's not going to happen to me. I'm fine. I'm healthy. And this guy was only 41. Now, there are cases like this. There's cases of 26-year-olds this happens to. I think this guy was just very, very unlucky. Sometimes there's things you also don't know. Maybe they really did have a condition that they're not letting you know about. Or they're embarrassed about for some reason. Um, there, there was one that went around on social media of a, a nurse, a very muscular nurse, a male nurse, who looked like he was in great shape. And then he got very, very bad symptoms of, uh, the, the, of COVID-19 when he caught it. And uh, the, he showed a before and after picture, one with him looking all buff and super healthy looking. And then the other picture where he's like really, really skinny and uh, – uh, you see he's lost a tremendous amount of weight. His muscles are all gone. Uh, he looks awful. And he said like even taking that picture was – standing up to take this picture took all his energy. Well, the problem with that whole story was this guy wasn't as healthy as he looked. Uh, it, it, it appears that he's on steroids if you look at the pictures closely. There's a lot of signs in these pictures that the guy was on roids. And there's a belief that being on roids uh, really raises the chance of having severe symptoms. Also, as someone pointed out, this guy was gay. And the reason that can get uh, can affect this is because a lot of gay people now are taking uh, something called PrEP, which is uh, a medication said to prevent uh, HIV. So uh, there's a number of gay people on PrEP, and there's some belief that PrEP may actually raise the chance of getting bad coronavirus symptoms. So between the guy being gay and the fact that it really looked like he was on steroids, this is also a guy in his 40s who just had a body that didn't look likely that he could get naturally from just working out. Uh, that That's not a typical case anymore. Like this Nick Cordero guy is one that's much easier to relate to because unless he's covering something up about his health, then this is just like a normal guy in his early 40s who got it really, really badly and might die and at very least is going to be dramatically impacted by this for the rest of his life. But I still think this was just bad luck. And... It's unfortunate this happens to some people, and it is scary that you could just be one of the unlucky ones. But uh, as long as this is a, a, a an outlier, you can't be too afraid of it, because there's outliers that kill you every day in all kinds of ways. Every time you get into a car, you are risking that you're going to be one of the outliers that gets in a fatal accident that day. And you can't say, well, I'm just never going to drive again. You just You drive knowing there is some chance that you're going to get in a car accident that kills you. And you're just used to that risk, and you take that risk. So similarly, if there's only a very small number of people who end up like Nick Cordero, you shouldn't worry that much about it. You shouldn't let these anecdotal cases scare you that much. You should more like look at what the odds are that of how it's going to affect your age group and your current health condition, and then go from there as far as assessing your risk. I wouldn't worry too much about the anecdotal cases, which are very sad. I mean, it's very sad for this guy. You just... Uh, Normal guy, Broadway actor, who's got married, has a little kid, and 41 years old, and bang, now he's uh, on the verge of death and is never going to be the same. 
and probably won't have a leg when it's all done. So, it's scary that can just happen to you. I look at it and go, crap, this guy's seven years younger than me. But uh, that's going to happen to some people. And the reason for that's not known. It's not known why some people just get it really badly. Well, you wouldn't expect to get it really badly. But it is a numbers game, and it definitely does have correlation very much to age and and and, and to pre-existing conditions and to some other factors. And you've got to – you can't just look at it and say, okay, well, this young guy got it and, and almost died or did die, so I'm going to be terrified too even though I'm young. You can't say that. you got to say, okay, well, the chance of me getting it – the chance of this really harming me when I'm 30 years old is very low. I'm not going to worry. That that should be your attitude at 30. When you're 50, your, your chance would be, okay, the chance of it killing me is very low. The chance of it harming me a lot isn't that low. So I'm going to be careful. If you're 70... Well, oh, well, well, let's back up there for a second. Yeah. Uh, you see the chances of it harming me a lot isn't very low. It's not. What do you mean... What do you mean as in harming me a lot? Well, okay, that's that's a good question. So, I, I mean, just getting super sick, or are you saying long-term effects on your lungs, and now you're going to be screwed having to walk around with a, uh, <laughs> air oxygen or uh, and or any many things like that? Uh, obviously, I'm over exaggerating there, but you, you know what I'm saying. That that's what I because that's what my concern was. It was like, okay, so. Maybe it just maybe very can't very unlikely that it would kill me. Good chance it'll make me really sick, which I don't want to be. Um, I, I mean, if you've ever had the flu for even three or four days, it's the mo- one of the most miserable things in yeah, your life. Yeah, and I have yeah. at that point. Now I don't want to have something like that for uh, however long. And then, are there? Uh, do we have any facts or how much of these people that don't die? Are actually having severe after effects and no, we we don't. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna bring out something that I I, I meant to put on the agenda to put, but that uh, I'm gonna read to you guys. This is something I developed, and uh, I I think when we go back years later and look at this post I made on June seventh, twenty twenty, I think uh, it's gonna be more accurate than you guys realize. But I came up with something called the Druff scale for. COVID-19 symptom severity. And I'll tell you why I came up with it. It's because if you go to the CDC's page about symptoms for the coronavirus, there's a big flaw in the way they classify the symptoms. And and I'll tell you where the big flaw is, in that uh, the CDC, the way they classify the symptoms for coronavirus is they, they only have... Uh, they don't have enough categories. There's a category that's way too broad. They they classify asymptomatic, mild to moderate, severe, and critical. That's it. So what do these mean? Well, asymptomatic just means you're never going to show symptoms. Then uh, mild to moderate is a very wide range from feeling very light symptoms that are just kind of annoying but don't really uh, stop you from living normal life all the way up to being very, very sick and possibly causing lung damage or other permanent damage. That's all in the same mild to moderate, which I think is a very bad thing to classify altogether because they're so different. They're incredibly different. Then there's severe, which means you have breathing problems and need to be and probably need to be hospitalized. And then there's critical, which means you're on the verge of death. And then, of course, there's death, 
So that's it. That's, that's their only classifications. And I think the big flaw here is the mild to moderate thing where they're grouping in a very large number of people and very, very different levels of symptoms that should be separated. And it's something that people should know. And, and you've even said yourself that, that you have concern. And this is uh, the same thing I feel. So I came up with what I call the Druff system of not only classifying the different levels of symptoms, but also I put, and this was all my guess from observation and from things I've read, not from, uh, not from anything scientific, but uh, I put what my observations were of each age group of what they were most likely to see to least likely to see. So the seven levels of symptoms on the Druff scale, number one, no symptoms at all, asymptomatic, and this means throughout the whole thing. You're just never going to feel symptoms. That's number one. Number two, mild symptoms. Mild symptoms I define as bothersome, but you can go about your daily life. You feel a little fatigued. You may feel, uh, uh, maybe you have a light fever. Maybe you're, uh, you have a sore throat. Maybe you have a cough, but nothing terrible. Nothing terrible or memorable. Nothing nearly as bad as the worst you felt from being sick before. Just kind of mild. Uh, moderate symptoms is, is number three. That's classified as very sick, but not really worse than a typical flu. So if you think of when you've had the flu, and as you just mentioned, that you're down for three or four days, you feel very sick, but you get over it, and then that's it. It's done, and it wasn't all that memorable. It was one of these things like, yeah, I was very sick. It was one of the, one of the sickest times I've been, but really not much worse than my bad flus. Number four, severe symptoms. That's where it's debilitating, where it's so bad that you can barely step out, step, get out of bed. We're going to the bathroom is a challenge as far as even walking to the bathroom, where you can't walk down, even down the stairs because you're that fatigued. You, just, you have a fatigue that's beyond any fatigue you've had. You have a, a, a fever. You have just, you're really just down for the count for a long time and by far the sickest you've ever been and miserable. But... You can still breathe. You know you're not on the verge of death. You know you're not quite in that direction yet. But this is just really, really awful to deal with. And that this might end up causing lung damage when it's all done. But it's not life-threatening. At least not short-term life-threatening. That's what I call severe symptoms. Number five, very severe symptoms. That is all of the above plus breathing problems. Number six, critical th- symptoms. That is where you're near death and that uh, you're uh, it's pretty much as bad as it can get without dying. And then seven, deadly symptoms that the patient dies. So th- those are the seven uh, levels of symptoms on what I call the Druff scale for COVID-19. The important difference between the CDC scale is that I have separated out the mild to moderate to be mild, moderate, and severe. And what they call severe, I call very severe. So I've basically added three classifications, which I feel are very important. So now let's break it down by age groups. From zero to 10, the most likely, in my opinion, is no symptoms, asymptomatic. Second most likely, mild symptoms. Everything else, highly unlikely. 11 to 25, most likely, no symptoms. Second most likely, mild symptoms. But uh, way way less than, than no symptoms. It's by far most likely you're going to have no symptoms. A distant second is mild symptoms. A distant third is moderate symptoms, 11 to 25. 
We're severe, not on there. We're very severe, not on there. We're critical, not on there. Does, I'm not saying. Am I saying it can't happen? No, I'm saying it's so unlikely you don't have to worry about it. If you're 25 or under, the chance of even getting to what I call severe is so small you don't have to worry about it. 26 to 35, most likely mild symptoms. Second most likely, no symptoms. Third most likely, moderate symptoms. Remember, moderate means it kind of feels like the flu, like a bad flu. Fourth most likely, severe symptoms. The rest, probably not. Probably not going to get to very severe where you're going to have breathing problems, probably not going to get to critical or die. It's going to be one of those four, most likely mild symptoms or no symptoms. Maybe moderate. 36 to 45, most likely moderate symptoms. It's going to be kind of like the flu. Second most likely, no symptoms. You'd be asymptomatic. Third most likely, severe symptoms. That means really bad, but no breathing problems. Fourth most likely, mild symptoms. Fifth most likely, very severe symptoms. Beyond that, pretty unlikely. I know what happened to this uh, Cordero guy, but uh, it's not... It's pretty unlikely from 36 to 45 you're going to get worse than very severe. And even very severe is pretty unlikely. I put that down, the, uh, the fifth most likely of those. The, the most likely, in my opinion, moderate symptoms. It's going to feel like the flu. 46 to 55, in my opinion, most likely severe symptoms. I really think that is the most likely result if you catch the coronavirus if you're 46 to 55. Which I think people aren't keeping, uh, people are not taking that seriously. And that's why I'm taking it so seriously. I really think it's most likely I will get severe symptoms of, of, of all these different uh, results. Second most likely, no symptoms. Third most likely, moderate symptoms. Fourth most likely, very severe symptoms. Fifth most likely, critical symptoms. And sixth most likely, deadly symptoms. So that's where death starts to uh, appear on the table as something that you can't completely dismiss from 46 to 55. But it's, it's not that likely at that point. But you, the whole range is there for you at this point, and severe symptoms are actually most likely if you have to pick one of these uh, seven that's going to happen. And that's why I'm staying away from it, and that's why you, you said you were worried about that. That's exactly what uh, might happen, where, and that can include permanent, uh, permanent lung damage. 56 to 65, most likely severe symptoms. Second, most likely no symptoms. Third, most likely very severe symptoms. Fourth, likely moderate symptoms. Fifth, most likely critical symptoms. Sixth most likely deadly symptoms. It was very similar to 46 to 55, except, uh, first of all, the deadly has gone up by a lot. That's not indicated there, but that's the, the, that's more likely, even though it's the bottom. And uh, well, what's not, what's not on there at all? Mild symptoms. I don't think it's very likely you will get mild symptoms for 56 to 65. I think no symptoms is still fairly up there. But I, I think if you're going to feel symptoms from 56 to 65 and 46 to 55, mild, it, it's not really on the table. You're, you're just not going to get mild symptoms. You're going to get uh, moderate is, is, is uh, much more likely. Moderate or severe. Severe probably be the most likely. But I think 56 to 65, the one difference between that previous age group is that very severe is a higher chance than moderate. 66 to 75, highest, still severe symptoms. No symptoms, still second. Very severe symptoms, third. Critical symptoms becomes higher now at, at uh, fourth. Deadly symptoms and then moderate symptoms. I think I think you're actually more likely to die 66 to 75 that have uh, moderate or mild symptoms. No symptoms more likely, but I think it really starts to get off the table to start to feel it at a very low level at that age. 
76 to 85, very severe symptoms most likely, severe symptoms second most likely, no symptoms third most likely, critical symptoms fourth, and deadly symptoms fifth. Of course, these are much higher at this point, uh, even though they're not higher on the list. The chance of dying from this, I think, is uh, – I think and no is much higher at 76 to 85 than these other age groups. And then 86 plus, critical symptoms most likely, very severe symptoms second most likely, deadly symptoms third most likely, no symptoms fourth most likely, severe symptoms fifth most likely. So what what can you conclude from this? What you can conclude is that up through 35, it's not much to worry about. Once you're past 45, you're going to start expecting severe symptoms. And then from there, it starts getting more and more likely it's going to go past severe symptoms. And between 35 and 45, it's kind of like the middle ground where you, you can kind of it's it's kind of kind of a, that where it transitions there where it starts to get worse. But uh, the chance of it being bad for you gets higher, but it's not quite as bad as when you're past 45. So that that's that's what and the reason this is valuable to look at, and I, this is not backed by any science. So this is this is all my best guess. But I think the reason this is good to think about is you're not just thinking about the chance you're going to die. You're thinking about the chance that you're going to have a, a horrible experience that harms you permanently, or if it doesn't harm you permanently, that's just a terrible thing to go through for for two weeks or more. And and there's people I, I've, I know of that have still not recovered months later that they have ongoing problems with their lungs and things like that that look like they've taken permanent damage. So it's not even like a bad flu you get over and you're just fine. Okay. Uh, Axel Wolf, are you still awake? Yeah, I, 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 I'm just listening. Let me... I, I... I, I, I don't think you covered my original question. Oh, what is it? Um, after effects, I, I, again, I know this is all just opinions, but uh, I like to hear other people's opinions and, uh, on, on many different things and then form my own opinion by listening to any other people's opinions that I think may be coming from people that uh, are have some intelligence. Yeah. So after effects, once you, once you get this, um, assuming you're uh, in a higher age bracket, or assuming you got severe symptoms, or, or what are you know what are the long term or even semi short term effects of this? Is well, it you're, you're start gonna, affecting you, your breathing? Are yeah, it will. Not going to be able to play basketball, or is it going to? I'll age you maybe five or ten years. Yes, it could. It, 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 it could take years off your life that that are going to be in the future, but that that will affect you down the line. It could affect you immediately in that uh, things that aren't going to kill you immediately, but that you're going to feel that your lungs don't function the way they used to. That that they hurt right. more easily. That's my question on that. Now, now, what are the percentages of that? Nobody knows. Because, you know, there are a lot of people that are saying, oh, big deal. It's not going to kill you. You're not going to die. You're just going to get a little sick. What, you, you know, and, and they're going to they're gonna shame you for being concerned. They're yes. going to shame you for wanting to wear that mask or wanting other people around you to wear the mask. Or maybe because you think uh, uh, they should shut that down an area or not have these big, massive concerts. Or something like that, and the, and they're going to use the hey oh you might get sick uh, you, you have a very low chance you, you you're not you're not going to die there's very you have a better chance of uh, getting struck by lightning or something like that and dying uh, you know I'm over exaggerating there I know so 
that becomes a question to say, okay, fine, you might be correct on all that, but what about other aspects that, hey, I really don't want to be sick for four weeks or three weeks or two weeks or however long, and what about the fact that now this could damage and take years off of my life, or yeah. I might not be, uh, I might not die, but I'm not breathing very well. Lost fifty percent of my breathing ability. Right, and and that's what, and, and that's what, and that, those are my big concerns. My big concerns are uh, one of them is unique to me, and one of them is not unique to me. My two big concerns are permanent damage, like permanent lung damage, that could both take years off my life and make it harder for me to breathe and just feel crappy the rest of my life and know it's never getting better. And and then the second concern that is unique to me is that because uh, the psychological problems I had were kind of related in a way to breathing, that uh, this is the last thing I want to come. This could easily bring him back and they could bring him back in a way that I can't get rid of him this time. I I, I felt like I, I barely squeaked well, away from these. That's a personal concern for you. Yeah. And, 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 and yes, I, I, I'm concerned for you as well on that aspect. But I'm just talking in general for everybody. So well, that's what I'm saying. The first thing I guess what I'm looking for is some kind of counterpoint to the person that just thinks I'm totally being ridiculous. Well, that, that you just gave it. You just gave the counterpoint. The, the the counterpoint is that uh, the, once you're past 45, the chance is I don't know. They won't release it. I wish they would. So I don't know the percentage, but the chance is reasonable. It's not. It's not like the death thing, which is pretty low at, at our age. The chance of having a severe version which will leave you with permanent damage is high enough, whatever it is, it's something that's not super uncommon to where I know people who, who probably have that, uh, that you don't want to take that chance of that happening because it's it's a, a very undesirable thing to occur, even if it doesn't kill you, that it, it will impact the rest of your life. And so it's not just a matter of, oh, I'll set to tough out two weeks. And that that is not getting enough play in the discussion about this, and 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 I haven't seen that talk very much in the news at all. A little bit here and there, but hey, I, that's the stuff I want to know. Well, and the problem is, um, I'll tell you yeah. why they don't want to bring it up. I think I know why they don't want to bring it up, and this is what's bothering me: is I think the reason they don't bring this danger up and and really put this out there is because. This will lead to the discussion of, okay, how likely is it this will occur? And then that's going to lead to the discussion of, if you're under 35, very unlikely. And then people under 35 and go, oh, sweet. Okay, I'm not in danger. That's what I thought. All right. No mask for me. No cautious for, no caution for me. No social distancing for me. And, and they won't care. And then it'll spread more. So they're so afraid to broach any topic that will lead to the ultimate conclusion of, Young people don't have to worry. So unfortunately, what they have to do is they sometimes have to minimize what's happening to people who are not dying, but also not just getting away with it as if it was never there. That they, they're trying to not discuss the permanent damage that occurs to people who survive it, because then they have to start admitting that that's unlikely to happen to those who are under 35. Unless they want to outright lie and just say that it's, it's going to happen to everybody. But if they, if they're going to, I think they want to keep away from that topic because they don't want to admit that these permanent uh, these permanent problems are unlikely to happen to the young people and much more likely to happen to the middle-aged people. Because when you say one age group is going to be victimized by this, then you have to admit that other ones are not. Otherwise, why are you separating it? So you say, well, middle-aged people are, are in danger of this. Then young people go, wait a minute, we're not middle-aged. What about us? Uh, well, uh, 
Yeah, not really. It's probably not going to happen to you. Oh, great. Okay, that's what I've been waiting to hear. That's what they don't want. And I think it's stupid. Right. And I want them to just be honest. That's my theory about why they're not putting this. They by by now months into this, we're four months into this. For them not to have this information is is not something I can believe. I think they have it. I think they don't want to put it out there. There's definitely a blackout of a lot of things, a lot of statistics that would be very useful for us to know, and we're not finding out. And I think it's it really is to keep the public feeling that we're all pretty much in the same boat. Aside from very old people and, and everybody that's else, that's just coronavirus. And, and but just in general, it, it, it seems like there's a, always this: you either die or you don't. Yeah, and, you know, it's like okay, it, but nobody ever taught. I, I mean, like even in like some of these like shootings and different things like that, it's like okay, X amount of people died, and X amount of people died. well, what what about the the person that didn't die? But they're in a coma the rest of their life. Right. They're just so messed up that their life is screwed. Like they're, you know, they can't talk, they can't do it, a vegetable or something like that. So I, I hate how we're not hearing enough about that just in general through the news. It's like, okay, it's only this many people died. Yes. And everybody else survived. Yeah, what was your quality of life when you survived? Right. And, and you don't I see don't, the, and then I these people are away. You don't, you don't see them. Screwed up. The, the, these people are kind of away from society because once they're in that terrible condition, they're not going out very often. So they're someone's taking care of them somewhere, uh, and and they're they're hidden away from everybody just because there's no reason for them not to be. And and you don't see them, you don't think about them, and and then people forget. And yeah, they just they, it is too, there's too much focus on death and not about like ruined lives. And right. and then I I feel that's a mistake. There's just a story about that. Uh, I think it was North Korea. They they held that young kid as a hostage for for for, for stealing that poster, and apparently, um, so he's coming back. All right, we we got him back. He's in a coma. Yeah, I know that, that was a bad story. I mean, yeah. So basically, uh, yeah, he's not dead, but you know what? I, I I'm pretty much saying his life is over unless it unless it turns around. So. For all intents and purposes, they might have not killed them, but to me, they killed them. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. They pretty much ended his life. Okay, well, you um, know, because let me, I'm going to say something here. Because you have been on this show, and we've had a lot, so many just different uh, discussions and tangents, and we may actually end up with the longest show I've ever done. We're, we're in fact, I think oh, we might, sorry. we may actually, no, I don't want to say sorry. It's, it's my, my control to allow this to happen. So, no, I'm, I'm just stating this, but I do, I do want to move on to the last topic. No, you didn't mess it up. You, you know what? People are going to thank you because since the show's always so long anyway, like a short show these days is like six hours. People like these long shows so much that uh, they get used to them. And the people who don't like long shows have abandoned the show a long time ago. So people want them longer and longer. And they're so happy when they go to download it and they see like it's it's a very long one. They go, oh, sweet. It's so long. Like people just uh, – and it's because a lot of people use the show for – like they have it in the background when they work or when they're grinding poker. Or when they're driving, whatever it is, they, they, they have people have this on while they're doing other things, and they like having it there as, as just material to listen to throughout the week. And here they have so much they can they can use it for, to listen to over an hour a day and and get them through the whole week before we come back on. So it, it almost is like a daily show that I that I do all in one sitting. Well, that's why I asked you um, when I texted you. I was like, well, what what are the topics going to be? So. I didn't really want to come in and start talking about stuff that I have no clue about and some of the stuff I, I'm not up to date on or 
I really don't know. So I was hoping that you would be talking about something like some slot scandal or some other uh, type of thing that I know a little bit more about that I could actually have more uh, view on. But, uh, I mean... No, it's good. We, we, had, no, we just had conversations about this. Because uh, I, I, was, I, I had just woken up like uh, a little bit before 9 o'clock. So I was like, oh, I'll see if the show's going to come on <laughs> and I'll come up and see what's going on. And then I almost gave up when I called, and I was like, "Well, I can't even get through this." Yeah, you can't get through. I messed. I messed up the phone lines. And next, I'm going to really be careful next week, guys. I'm not going to mess up the phone lines. I promise. Okay, I want to get to the last thing, and I'm sure you'll have an opinion about this too, about how to solve the police brutality issue, which is a real issue. I don't believe it's as racially motivated as many people do. I think it's an issue that affects everybody, but it is a real issue. I do feel it's exaggerated by some. Many people call something police brutality when, in reality, the force was justified. But there are plenty of cases out there, including the one we just saw, including another one that I think is just getting in the news now, that uh, that are definitely unjustified. And, by the way, they're not always against black people. Often they are against white people or people who are not white or black. And Well, we've already seen the stats on that. It's, you're more like uh, white people are more likely to actually be victimized by uh, police. Yeah, yeah, and I've, I've, I, I, have, I have seen that. But I think we just, instead of focusing on the racial aspect, I know it's a lot easier to focus on the racial aspect, and uh, and it's much more sensationalized, and it's a lot easier to get people outraged about than just regular police brutality. But uh, if we want to have an honest discussion, the discussion should be not let's prove how racist America is or let's prove how racist the police are, and let's come up with some kind of solution which doesn't make any sense and can't really reduce racism anyway. Instead of that, how about look at what is the real problem? And the real problem is that police don't have much accountability because uh, there's a culture in the police that has always been there that has been that they protect one another, that they, they have a union which protects them, and they try to protect one another. And... It's understandable how that developed, because they feel like uh, well, it's basically them against everybody. And um, I am under the impression, maybe I'm wrong, but first of all, becoming a police officer attracts a, for the most part, obviously not everybody, attracts a certain type of person, if you know what I mean. More yes. aggressive. Yes, it does. More strong, more, you know, and then you come from long lines of uh, aggressive families where their father was a police officer and their father and, you know, so that's one of the problems right there. Yeah, well, but there's not, you can't, you can't do much about that. The problem, you can't, you can't select who, you can't say, well, you, you know, we're just going to attract different people to the police. The problem is it is a type of job which is dangerous and, and uh, it, it will bring certain people. I agree with your assessment of who, who's signing up. Uh, psychological evaluations and uh, more investigations on these people, who they were before they ever started to want to become a police. I mean, I know they do that stuff, but uh, maybe we can have a little bit more of that. Maybe maybe you hire people that are a little less... Uh, well, I have even a better solution to this, because the, the problem is that uh, they, they already do background checks, and it's kind of as hard to check into somebody's... Yeah, start there. 
But we can start there, but I have somewhere they can do that will have much more impact th- than that. And that – so so getting back to what I was saying with, with, the, with the police and, and uh, protecting each other and a union that protects them, the problem is whenever you see these situations come up and you see these awful situations where the police handled something very badly and hurt or killed someone and it's on video and there's no doubt that it happened, you see reports about that police officer's past. And it's very rare – that the police officer has a clean record and just flipped out one day. Usually, these are police officers who had credible complaints against them with some kind of disciplinary action taken, but ultimately they were still on the streets patrolling. And uh, so it takes a whole lot to actually get fired for misbehavior as a police officer. Now, I'm aware of the fact that there are a lot of people who allege brutality uh, when the police didn't do anything wrong, just just people who have a complex that they're always getting victimized, or 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 they they didn't realize how rough they got. Maybe they were drunk or or high or something, and they didn't realize that uh, they don't even remember that they were attacking the police, and the police had to uh, use force to to get them under control. There's a number of bogus complaints about police officers that claim that they are uh, that they did something wrong when in reality they didn't. But there are a number of complaints which were valid and that... And body uh, cams would solve that problem, required body cams to always be on. And well, yeah, then they have off. them. The thing is they have them and they actually found that despite the fact that... It's interesting you bring up the body cams. It was found that despite the fact that body cams were added and that they are a good evidentiary tool, that uh, when something is done wrong, that it's easier to uh, do something about it, the problem is it hasn't really decreased the number of uh, incidents of bad behavior, pretty much that the, the cops still have acted the same way. It's just uh, they're being caught more often. So, 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 that's, so, so that doesn't really solve the – it's good to have. I support the body cams, but uh, that hasn't solved the problem. Why is it helping? My question is why. Is well, I'll get to that. I, I will... They don't get in trouble. Yeah, that's part of it, yes. So the reason this okay. isn't – so part of the reason it's not helping – is because of the lack of consequence, and part of it is uh, related to the lack of consequence. Is that not don't not only don't they believe there's going to be consequences uh, for it unless they do something really bad, but also there actually aren't. They, they, that the bad officers don't get fired, and this particular officer in this George Floyd case had a very bad record. There were like 18 different complaints against him, some which look like they might be BS, but some of them resulted in investigations where it was found the complaints were valid about some some pretty obnoxious things that were done. Nothing to the level of what he just did, but uh, this guy should not have been on the streets. This guy shouldn't be a police officer before this happened. Not after this happened, but before this happened. Definitely after this happened, but uh, this, this wasn't a one-off thing where the guy – screwed up this was a bad officer who had a lot of disciplinary issues where he should have been fired a long time ago and he is not unique whenever these come up you look at the history of the officers involved and go how are they still working and what can, can we step back for a second i, I don't I, i'm just wondering though so as he's sitting there with his knee on the guy's neck and 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 people are sitting there yelling at He's not breathing. He's not breathing. Look at I mean, to me, and to everybody else there who's watching this, 
it, it, it does look like as if the guy is enjoying do- it. looks like he doesn't give a fuck. Well, yeah, it looks well, like I, it. I it mean, I, I'm not there in that moment, and, may, and I, know, I know he's probably heard a billion times, I can't breathe, and the guy can breathe, or I'm not struggling, and the guy is going to get up and struggle. I, I, I got it. But what, what is he... I just don't get it at that point. It's like... Well, yeah, well, that's, hey, that's, I think like, I think you said it right there. I think that's what it was. That the guy, the guy, I I, I think it was a combination of things. He was he was kind of enjoying doing it. He he didn't actually think he was killing the person, and and he probably didn't believe the guy saying I don't breathe, and then he did I can't breathe, and he didn't like the people around him telling what to do and how to do his job. He's like, no, I I know what I'm doing. I've got the guy under control. He's a big guy. He, he he's struggling. If I don't get my if I get my knee off his neck, he's going to get up and fight us again. Screw these people around us. They don't understand the way this job is, and. I'm kind of getting a kick out of how I've, I've got this uh, big guy under me under control, and so it's probably a bunch of these things together. This was definitely an abusive it's cop. Like, or maybe, hey, don't tell me how to. Like you said, don't. The more you sit there and tell me to get off of me, you can't breathe. The longer I'm going to stay here, sit here, and do this. Yeah. So, so, but, but even getting away from the discussion of this particular person here, all of these have this in common that the officers involved. Once in a while, this isn't true, but. Very often this is the case where they shouldn't have been there in the first place to have committed the crime they did because of their existing record where they graduated from from some moderate abuse of power, some moderate brutality to something terrible that had a terrible result. And, and that there were enough cases of moderate to medium brutality on their record to where they should have been fired a long time ago. There's too much tolerance for it. And why is there too much tolerance for it? Because of the police union. And there is a big problem that exists in America with public labor unions that it's, it's a hard thing to face. And the reason you're not hearing about it much is because the Democrats don't want to touch this because the Democrats love being friends of unions. They, they don't ever like being seen as anti-union. They've had union support for many decades. That's been the political party of unions. And they they can't even just say okay we we're okay we love every other union but not the police union they they have to be seen as pro union so they they're they're kind of stuck here because they want to be anti cop they want to be anti police they want to be anti brutality but they they don't want to be anti union and they're so the the obvious solution in front of their face they're not dumb they can see it. They they don't want to take this. They want to attack it. Well, well, you know what? Uh, forget the unions. Let's just let's just go at this from a, a racial angle. Um, we, we can't vilify the unions. We can find a way maybe to get officers fired quicker, maybe work with the unions. We don't want to weaken the unions. We've got, we've got to leave the unions alone. And then also if they weaken the police union, well, then also the subject can start turning to other unions that are public unions, like the teachers union. I can tell you that I, I went to public school. There were some teachers I had who were absolutely terrible, but there was nothing that could be done. And the the principal actually would tell my parents this when my parents would complain about something they and my parents wouldn't just go complain about frivolous stuff like they would only complain if there's like a, a legitimate reason to complain but I, I some of the terrible teachers I had the principal said to my parents you're right and I'm going to try to talk to the teacher and I'll try to get them to moderate on what they're doing or, or or change this but ultimately it's their decision unfortunately there's not much I can do my hands are tied I can't fire them. They have tenure. They've been here for 20 years, 25 years. They're basically unfireable. They know that. The union, I can't discipline them. There's very little I can do. What, what, you know, what's happening here isn't like nothing egregious happened, 
So they uh, that nothing like something really egregious happens. Yes, they can be fired, but for the most part, public school teachers in teachers unions cannot be fired once they have tenure. They can't. Uh, the once they have seniority there, you're stuck with them. They can, uh, other than just not showing up for work, or doing something really bad or something obviously illegal, they can't be fired. And this does not lead to uh, the students being educated better. It's the opposite, that uh, these teachers get lazy. They get burnt out. They get lazy. They don't want to try. They don't care. Sometimes they'll be abusive, but not to the point where it can be like egregious where they can get fired, but just be jerks and, and not treat the kids well. And they know there's no consequence. I'm not saying all teachers are like that. There are teachers who uh, have seniority that are great all the way till the day they retire. But there's many who aren't, and I and I had some. And I had some that would have been disciplined or fired for the way they were doing their job if this was there was no teachers' union. But the Democrats don't want to touch that either. Now, why aren't Republicans saying, okay, let's let's get rid of the police unions or weaken them? Why? Well, because they are the Republicans have been kind of friends with the police. They've, while the Democrats are friends with the unions, the Republicans have been pro-police. They've been uh, close with the police. They've been trying to get police support. They mostly have police support. They're very pro-police. The police love their union. So if the Republicans were to start attacking their union, then that would be the end of the police uh, supporting Republicans in many cases. So Republicans don't want to touch it either. So neither party wants to go after what the real reason is that this is all happening because the police union is too strong. It needs to be severely weakened or done away with entirely. I don't believe in any public labor unions. I don't think that's right. Public labor unions should not exist because uh, it's a different situation when people are working for the public and paid by taxpayer dollars than working for private companies. And I mean, there was a time, obviously, unions were good. Well, that's, and that's a different discussion. That's a different discussion. But of now, what, nowadays, it's not needed anymore. But, but even in the early days when unions were good and needed and necessary, even in those days, there, were, there was a belief that public labor unions were wrong, that, that they should only be for private companies, because private companies are not acting in public interest and that uh, unions are necessary to basically keep them in check. Otherwise, the, the belief at the time was, and, and still is of those who support labor unions, is that private companies are greedy and will just always think of their own bottom line and that they're going to screw employees unless the, the employees basically all get together uh, and, and, and act as one. And that's what the labor unions are. Okay, but, but that's different than public labor unions because when, with the, for the public, there, there is no greedy company. They're, they're, you're actually working for the government. You're working for the people. So there's no greedy company to have to be concerned about that it's going to exploit you. So there's no need for public labor unions. And all that ends up happening with public labor unions is it protects bad employees. So in schools, it protects the bad teachers who have been there for 20, 30 years. And in, in, and so there, the damage usually isn't uh, something catastrophic. And I'm not talking about the few teachers who commit criminal acts like ones who molest kids. I don't think 
unions really affect that yeah, either way because they're going to be fired either way if they do that unions or no unions but i'm talking about teachers who are not going to break the law teachers who are not going to do anything horrendous but ones who just suck and don't treat the kids well that you could fire them for for being this way if there was no union but because they've been there uh since they've been teaching since 1984 uh you can't touch them until uh, until they retire and uh Forget 1984, it could be 1994, it could be uh, 2000. Like these people still will have seniority and, and they cannot be fired and, uh, other than extreme circumstances. So this is something that's kind of a slow impact, uh, an impact that's spread among many people rather than the, the impact concentrated on one person like with, with George Floyd where, where the impact of this was concentrated on, on someone by death and, and maybe a few others that this, uh, that this officer also abused. But uh, here, when, when it's a bad teacher, it's over many, many years, many, many students that aren't uh, traumatized by it, but uh, they have a bad teacher who either doesn't do a good job or doesn't treat the kids well or both. So that's not good. One is kind of long-term bad. One is kind of short-term bad. But when it does happen, it's very bad. And to those that suffer from it, it's very bad. So both of them suck. Both of those need to be disbanded. I don't believe in any of those because the, the reason for them existing, even when labor unions were first formed, when there was, it was more justified to have them at all, uh, that was not the intention. And, and there was, uh, uh, and at the beginning, that was not seen as something on the table. That was not seen with labor unions that that was going to be their future, that they were going to be, they were going to end up in the public sector too. They, they just evolved to become that. And, and the belief, you may say, well, why are there these labor, why are there public labor unions when there's no private employer, greedy private employer that you're protecting from? Why, why should there be a public labor union? Though the, the answer has been, well, uh, public workers can get screwed too. Sometimes they're going to want to push out the older employees. There's always this fear, and this is what's allowed unions to thrive for many years. This fear that older employees are going to get replaced just because they're not quite what they once were, and then wh- then what do they do? So you're you're 50 years old, 55 years old, you slow down a little bit, you're not quite as good as you were at your job uh, when you're 30, and uh, and they fire you and replace you with somebody who's both cheaper and 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 maybe better and definitely more energetic, and now what do you go do when you're 55? Who's going to hire you? And so that's this fear that they've been exploiting. That okay, you need this to protect you. So uh, maybe schools are going to start firing teachers who are 55 and say, hey, we'd rather have younger, more energetic teachers here. So screw you. You're 55. We think you're old. We're firing you. And, that, and even if it, that would be age discrimination, but they can use reasons to fire them that uh, they'll claim are, don't have to do with the age. They'll just manufacture reasons to fire them and say goodbye. And the real reason is because they think they're old and they want to get rid of them. So people, everyone becomes old eventually. So – even the young people think, okay, well, this is good because when I get older, this is going to protect me. I don't have to worry about if I stay at this job for uh, for 25, 30 years that they're going to kick me out the door when I'm old, that that, that I'll, I'll have the job waiting for me. So the union doesn't help me now, but uh, I'll, I'll be happy to have it in those years, so I support it. But the problem here is that uh, the downside very much is worse than the upside of it helps. So it's, it's definitely a net negative to have these public labor unions because it protects employees who are bad. And you can say, well, why don't we just reform the unions, reform the labor unions, the public labor unions to where it's easier to get rid of bad employees. Yeah, good luck with that. The whole point with labor unions is pretty much to say uh, 
you're not going to get rid of people unless it's a very, very big deal what they've done wrong. And we make it this way so you can't try to find flimsy excuses to let go of older employees or ones you just don't care for that much. So this this way, it, there's no way for you to invent a reason to get someone fired because it has to be egregious to get them fired. So that takes that off the table for you. So good luck trying to make up a reason to fire, fire the 60-year-old because the 60-year-old, unless he does something really bad, you can't do that anymore. So haha, And that protects the older workers. That, that's the reason they have them here. But it's not a good enough reason because what that does at the same time is it protects the terrible employees of these public sector jobs. And that's how you get the Derek Chauvin type cops that they can't fire before he kills someone. That's how you get the terrible teachers that the principal would fire in a second if he could but can't. That's how you get all of this. It's not worth it for protecting the few that are going to get unjustly fired because of their age when they could probably sue for this anyway if they had a reasonable case that that had occurred. Because with or without labor unions, it is illegal to fire someone because of their age alone. Uh, it's, except in certain cases where it's obvious, like in, in athletics, like uh, the Dodgers aren't required to keep a uh, a 40-year-old pitcher or, or they're not required to re-sign a 40-year-old pitcher because he's uh, uh, he's not going to pitch very well because he's 40. With things where it's obvious that the age uh, plays a major role. But other than that, uh, things like teaching, uh, they can't just let people go, and you could sue them for age discrimination if they did. So, And, and uh, hey, you could even change the, the laws for these uh, public sector jobs to where it becomes harder to let go of older employees for flimsy reasons. But don't don't ever have anything that can protect them to where they can't be fired unless they do something absolutely horrible or just stop showing up for work. Other than that, they, they stay. And that leaves bad employees. And you can say, oh, I just have the faith that, that it'll work out and most employees aren't bad. No. People will take advantage. Not all people, but a lot of people will take advantage of whatever permissive situations exist for them. And, uh, and that's the only way you can keep bad employees away and get rid of them is if you have the ability to fire them for not doing a good job. And uh, look, I I even have my issues with private labor unions, like at supermarkets. There's a supermarket by me. Some of the checkers have been there for 20, 25 years, sometimes even more than that. And they're the rudest ones. Why? Because they don't have to be nice. And when I say nice, I don't care if they smile or, or are friendly to me. I just don't want them making nasty or snide comments to me or being jerks. And I've I've had that happen sometimes. And I've actually talked back to them when it has. Uh, at uh, the supermarket one time, I, I I have like six items. I go to the express lane and there is an order in front of me, these two women who are checking out with like 60 items in their cart, really like 60 items, something way above the 15. I'm not one of these sticklers or when someone brings in uh, 20 items that uh, I make a big deal. Someone, they had like 60 in their cart. It was obvious it wasn't even close to the 15. So I spoke up, but they, they had just started too. It's not like they were in the middle and I couldn't do anything. It just started putting some items on the belt there. And I said, whoa, 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 hang on here. This, this shouldn't qualify for the express lane or can you at least let me go ahead? So the checker says, oh, no, no, I told them they can come here. Nobody was here. So I, I didn't want to make them stand in line over there. I said, well, first of all, that line over there isn't very long. And second, 
This is the whole reason you have an express lane, so it doesn't get clogged up by something like this. Just because you have nobody there at the moment doesn't mean you should move them and, and ruin the express lane. But uh, So she says back to me, um, well, too bad they've started already. You're going to have to wait. So I'm sitting there kind of angry, but I decided I'm just going to stop arguing because she's done it. There's nothing I can do now. And I knew complaining I'm about on it. Her side. I'm on her side if the checker told her to come no, over. No, no, no. I'm not talking about the women. No, no. I, I agree the women themselves didn't do anything wrong if they were told to come over. I'm talking, I was arguing not with the women. I was arguing with the checker. Oh, so you're arguing with the checker for calling her over. I, I was told the checker, who's the one who has the power over the situation, I said, when they just were starting to check out, I said, whoa, 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 hold on. Uh, either let me go ahead of them or, or, or they shouldn't be here because they have like 60 items in their cart. And, and she said, oh, no, no, I brought them over here and then told me that uh, oh, she's not stopping. All right, I get it. Yeah. Okay. So, so, but I gave up the argument because I knew she she was refusing to see my way, and there wasn't anything I could do because she was union. So I I was going to shut up. I did shut up. So I'm sitting there quietly as the, as they're going through the sixty items, and the two women, one of them said, uh, you know, I, I feel bad. I didn't want to get uh, an argument started over this. I'm sorry that uh, I'm sorry that this whole argument started about this whole thing. I wouldn't have come over here if I knew that would happen, and I I, I didn't want to cause this. And the checker said back, no, no, that's fine. I told you to come here, and he needs to learn some patience, she says loud. And you can imagine talking to the employee, the customers this way. He needs to learn some patience. And keep in mind, I, it's not like I kept arguing and wouldn't leave her alone. I, I dropped it. I dropped it, and I was just quietly standing in line waiting for this to be done. And she lectured that I need to learn some patience. So I said back, you need to learn how to talk to customers, but unfortunately you won't because you're union and you can't be fired. And the person behind me in line heard this, and he goes, ooh, <laughs> which I thought was funny. The way he said it kind of sounded like he agreed with me, too. Like, oh, you got her. So uh, she just sat there and didn't know what to say when I responded with that. And the, the guy who said, ooh, I said, yeah, it's, it's the truth. I mean, it's, she wouldn't be talking to me this way. She could be fired. And it's true. Had she talked to me that way in a place that she, was not union, I would have gone to her boss and said, uh, this person's making nasty comments to me. Lecturing me about patience. She can't talk to customers that way. And if it wasn't union, she couldn't. But since she's been there since 1994, whatever hell year it was that she had on her name tag that she's been there since, I knew what that meant. I knew there's nothing I could do, so all I could do was talk back myself. And that's what I did. Now, that's a private company, of course. It's not a public labor union. But that's what you get. That That's the quality of employee you get from a lot of these unions. And so I agreed with what you said before, that the public labor unions, not the, public, the, the private labor unions, that they were, they were necessary a long time ago. They did a lot of good things a long time ago. I don't disagree with them being formed a long time ago. I think, unfortunately, they have, they have evolved into something that's a net negative, but at least I can understand that a little bit more because I do agree that companies are greedy and will take advantage of employees. Not all of them, but some employees will. I mean, some employers will take advantage of employees and not treat them very well. And I've seen instances of that too, and unions do help fight against that. Unfortunately, they do this mostly for employees with seniority, but I can understand the argument for the private labor unions even when I don't completely agree with them. But what I can't understand is the public labor unions, and we're seeing the result here. But nobody wants to 
bring this up. Instead, we are seeing dumb solutions like, let's take money away from the police departments and, and bring this into social programs. That, that's a solution. Let's, let's, let's do, uh, sensitivity training. Let's, let's do, uh, training on, on how to make these officers less racist. This is all useless. This is never going to work. Either you're serious about getting rid of bad officers and making it much easier to do so, or you're not serious and nothing's going to change. It's that simple. And believe me, I am very, very supportive. If you can't tell already, I'm very, very supportive with getting rid of bad officers quickly before they could do anything bad. Doesn't matter what color the victim is. I don't want to see bad things happen to black people, to white people, to Hispanic people, to Asian people, to Native American people, to gay people. I I don't want to see bad things happen to any people at the hands of the police, except for those that have brought it upon themselves. People are attacking the police or trying to hurt the police, trying to kill the police, and something bad happens to them, good. But people who are who are harmed by police with excessive force, they, this should not happen. And it upsets me very much to see. And especially upsets me when I think this cop should not have been on the streets in the first place based upon his prior record with things he had already done in the past. And the only way to stop this is to change the entire way that these complaints are dealt with and what are fireable offenses, what aren't, and to weaken the unions that prevent this from occurring and really take a hard look at public labor unions in general. And if you're not willing to do that, you say, well, I want to reform the police, but let's not touch the unions. You're not serious about reforming the police. You're just not. And furthermore, as, as, a, as an aside, let me tell people something I know we have uh, the average age of listener to this show is approximately my age, though we have some that are older and some that are younger. Most of you are between 35 and 55 who listen to the show. Actually, more like 35 to 60. Uh, with a heaviest group concentrated, like 45 to 55. And that makes sense because that's my age and it would make most sense that listening to me would be most appealing to those who can most relate to me that are in my approximate age group. But I'll tell you what is common among almost all of my listeners is that you guys don't remember 1968 or were not alive for it. I was not alive for 1968. Axel Wolf here was not alive in 1968. Even a lot of the older listeners here were alive then, but were not paying attention to any social issues in 1968. If you were seven years old in 1968, you would be 58 or 59 right now, but uh, you are unlikely to be paying attention to uh, any of the social issues going on in 1968. So you'd probably have to be at least a teenager in 1968 to have paid attention to that stuff that was going on then, which would make you, uh, well, around 70 now or older. And that's not a lot of our listeners. We have some, like I Am Greek, who donates to the free roll sometimes. He's, uh, He's 77, but... There's not that many listeners of that age. And the reason I bring up 1968 is that we had a lot of protests in 1968. A lot of it had to do with the Vietnam War. But there were there were a lot of social protests in 1968 that was uh, remembered as a troubled year, the same way 2020 will be, for different reasons, but uh, some of the same ones too. And let me tell you, in that time... There were ideas to try to solve violent crime with social programs. 
and to maybe instead of use law enforcement to put away criminals, maybe try to stop people from becoming criminals in the first place and and throw a lot of money and time and effort into working with these communities and convince people just not to commit the crime and not to enter a life of crime and and try to try to replace policing with social work. This is not a new concept. People who think this is a new concept haven't looked into the past and didn't see that this was a failure. It was an absolute failure. Violent crime went up every year in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s. Year upon year, violent crime got worse and worse and worse in the U.S. Every year did worse than the last. They tried the social programs. They tried all these alternative methods for stopping crime from occurring, and all it did was get worse every year. And there was a a fear that soon crime would get to such unmanageable levels that the U.S. would cease to be a first-world country. We were headed in that direction into the early 90s, and this is where people my age do remember. Remember all the gangs back then? Remember how terrible it was in these bad areas? Remember all the murders? Remember a lot of areas that were super dangerous back then that aren't dangerous today? Or much less dangerous today? How did we improve since then? We improved because in the early to mid-90s, there was finally a backlash to all of this nonsense. And it was decided that in order to stop violent crime, it needs to be attacked directly. And that's what they did. And there were various changes in policing, which allowed that to be done. And crime started to go down, and it went down for 21 years, and only a two-year period in that 21-year span from 92 to 2013 did crime not drop year after year after year. And the two years where it didn't drop, it only went up slightly. That was like 05 and 06. I don't know why that happened. Kind of an outlier. But they only went up a little bit, and then it started going back down after, in 07. So for 21 years, 19 of them were a decrease over the previous year. The crime in 2013, much less than the crime in 92 when violent crime peaked. It was in 92. 2013, much, much better. Tremendously better. And that was not from defunding the police. That was not from using social work instead of uh, policing. It was from increasing policing. It was from having less tolerance for violent criminals. It was for longer sentences for violent criminals. Oh, I'm totally against defunding the police. Yeah, it's, 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 it's insane. I think the only thing that I can add to this, and it's been brought up before, and I think it's a good idea, um, the database that they're talking about, about uh, putting all complaints and everything across the yeah. entire police force so that can be looked at. Um, and there needs to be, uh, you know, a, uh, a third party unbiased, if you can ever have that, which I think is impossible. There's always money going to somewhere and people being paid off and you know what I'm saying. And people just having, and people just having biases anyway, that they they have nothing to do with money, that they just feel a certain way, either pro-police or anti-police. And and that, yeah, exactly. But that's. There needs to be some system in place that we can get as close to unbiased as possible, third party, 
looking at this stuff, you know, something like internal affairs or something. I don't know how unbiased that is or how good that is. I, I really don't know. But there certainly needs to be something like that. Yeah, well, they, um, they, there does, and, and, and I'm for that. I, 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 it's just not obvious and why that hasn't um, been happening. And I, I really don't understand why the body cams or people, they're able to turn those off. And yeah, they I should. They shouldn't be able to. You're, you're, you're right. They, they shouldn't be able to turn them off. And because, because they're not broadcasting to the public, so that's, uh, they shouldn't be they able should to turn them off. Streamed. They should be streamed. Obviously, that will create problems. I mean, you don't want to be streaming something. And no, then all no they shouldn't be streamed. They, they, but, and they come and get involved, you know, obviously. But maybe a delayed stream or something like that. No, I don't even think so. I, I, this can violate a lot of privacy. I, I would. They shouldn't be able to turn them off. I agree with that. And they, and I agree that the database of them, I'm, I'm totally good and, and happy with reform that increases visibility into who the bad cops are and uh, and makes it uh, to where we see that. But then you also have to be able to fire them just because you can see it. Uh, people can say, oh, look at this department with, with uh, these five problem cops. Unless the department actually has the ability to get rid of them, then we can bitch about it all we want. But I've never looked into this, nor do I know. So these body cams record, and then where does where does that then go? Well, it's on a loop. It's it, it it goes probably in the device. I don't know exactly how they work, but I don't think I don't believe it's transmitting anywhere. I believe it it it, it records to itself. Right. I think it's like my dash cam, where my dash cam is recording a certain amount of. Uh, <laughs> How come these aren't being lost? Well, <laughs> I'm sure they are, but why aren't they just being, oh, we turn over that body cam evidence. Uh, why doesn't that magically become lost more often? Do you know what I'm saying? Well, because or, or uh, because that would look terrible if they did, and that would make them look guilty. And, and they, they can't just say it disappears. It's, a, it's, a, it's something that's part of their equipment. If, you actually did, if, if there's actually something that happened really bad and everybody's trying to protect everybody, you I think it would be better for some of this stuff just to disappear. Well, it Not would better for me. I'm talking about better for the cops. That, no, it, it would, but bad. it would, but they 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 believe that they the better they unless it's super egregious where they uh, and, the, and there's no outside evidence of, of, of it being recorded, then then they're, yeah, but they're, we're seeing some of the super egregious stuff that's being recorded. No, I mean if it's if it's already recorded by the outside, then that's that's one thing. Also, sometimes they erroneously believe they behaved okay. And they think that this oh, will exonerate them. Yeah. A lot of times these brutality incidents don't happen because the cops say, oh, I'm going to be evil and kill someone. Ha, 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 ha. They, 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 they believe they're doing the right thing at the time, and they don't see themselves. They don't see what they're really doing. They don't really understand uh, th- that they're, they're engaging this brutality. They think that what they're doing is justified, and only later when it gets uh, – there's attention to it, and then it's reviewed, and they look and go, oh, my God, I can't believe I did this, uh, then it's, it's too late for them. But uh, I don't think they should be turned off. I agree that that option shouldn't exist to turn it off. And uh, and yes, it will record over itself after enough time passes because uh, once no complaints made, then it's it's safe to record over. Much like my dash cam, I don't care if it records over footage of me driving from a week ago because I would already know to save it if something happened a week ago. Now, so that's right. a, a similar it's similar to that. And uh, what's so all these reforms that allow better visibility into what's happening, like body cams, which they already have for the most part, but make them where you can't turn them off, or and keeping databases people can see uh, complaints, and 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 making and I definitely, as I said, I want the labor union weakened to where they can fire the bad ones more easily. So it's not just a matter of what we can see, but that action will be taken, and not just in the most egregious cases that they get. 
the cops off the street who are bad before egregious things happen. And, and that's the whole point here. So that that's what needs to... What, what, what do you think about the chokehold? I, 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 I don't know enough about how often they need this, but it seems to me that they should take that away. Um, maybe. It depends on the situation. Maybe. There, there needs to be some... If your life is in danger, then of course they should be able to use it. But if you're using it um, in a situation where it's obviously not needed, then, hey, fired. Well, right, and they and they should have those rules, too. They should make intelligent rules about when it's okay and not okay to do certain forceful things. And, and, uh, and then there should be real consequences, especially for ones who repeatedly cause problems. And, and uh, sometimes you just look at the numbers, and it's obvious. If there's one officer who has uh, zero complaints against him in five years – and another one who has 18 complaints, of which at least half of them look valid, uh, it's not hard to see who the abusive officer is who's most likely to be in a situation like this. And that's, that's who you get rid of, not the, not the guy with zero or one complaints in, in, in five years. So unless that, that one is really bad. So it, like this, a lot of this is obvious stuff, and, and they, they need to do this. And what they don't need to do is weaken the police. They, they don't need to take away money. I don't they, I don't. They, they don't need to. I think we need more police. Yeah, they, they, yeah right. Like the anyway. There's this. Compl- there's a stupid thing that's that's being thrown around, and it it sounds like something good to complain about until you really think about it. The militarized police thing. You think, oh my god, yeah, that's scary. Militarized police, and they go, wait a minute, that's good. You want the police to be strong. You want them to be able to overpower any forces of evil or, uh, or or criminals that are trying to uh, get away with what they're doing. You want police that can put down riots. You want police that if, if someone brings high-powered weaponry to whatever robbery they're trying to commit or whatever other act of uh, violence they're trying to commit, that the police can show up and have enough uh, firepower to take these people down. If you guys want to take a look, go look at the uh, North Hollywood bank shootout in 1997, and you will see that... The guy said the armor-piercing bullets? Yeah, well, you, with two guys with high-powered weaponry yeah. that they held... piercing bullets as well. That, the, yeah, the, I and, remember that. And they held down an entire police department... Uh, with two guys. Now, eventually, eventually, fortunately, no police officers died, and fortunately, the only two people to die were these two guys. But it took a long time to get them, and guess how they got them? They, they, the police realized they were outgunned, even with way more people, and they happened to be near a local gun store, and went to the gun store and said, hey, uh, we need your high-powered guns here, <laughs> because uh, our guns aren't doing the job. So they, they got those guns, and, and used it to... Too, correct. These guys had body armor on. Yeah, yeah, they had everything. They, so, the, so, so that's what you don't want. You don't want two guys who come prepared to be able to outgun an entire police department. You don't want big groups of rioters to be able to overrun police departments because they just don't have enough firepower and don't have enough uh, armor and don't have enough. Uh, the, the, you, there's this belief: oh, the police shouldn't look intimidating. Yes, they should. You should you should be afraid of them. That's the whole point. Criminals should be afraid of police. I want them to be intimidating. I want them to be able to hurt and kill those that are trying to hurt and kill others. I, I that that's what should happen. What should not happen is that they should not use this weaponry. They should not use this armor to abuse people. 
But but having it for when they need it is important. So militarized police, in my opinion, is a good thing. We just should have them using it appropriately and get rid of those officers that are not going to use it appropriately, which should be fairly easy to ascertain for most of them based upon their history at work and 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 do away with those who are most likely to abuse it. So I, I hate this complaint of the militarized police. This is ex- the, the North Hollywood shooting shootout that proved that you do need militarized police. And it wasn't just that one. There's been other ones all around the country that were happening before the police said, we're not going to let this stuff t- continue. We need to be able to have the upper hand when when big problems like this break out. And, and uh, yeah, I've heard before, like when big riots start, well, what can the police do? They're outnumbered. This is where militarized police work. That's, that's, that's where you don't have to worry as much. When I saw these big, huge crowds of these rioters and protesters, I kind of thought, gee, I, I, we're certainly lucky. How lucky are we? We didn't have some type of mass shooting during that time, like some just crazy person that just says, hey, this is a great opportunity to pick off a lot of people and have a lot of chaos going on, and I might even get away with it. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think of that, but, yeah, that, that could have happened. Yeah. Yeah, all these crowds and with all the chaos going on, and, I mean, yeah. Who would have known the skinner or who's shooting at who or even if they should run or not run, maybe it's just firecrackers or who knows what's going on at that point. And, and I, I'll tell you what what people need to do is look not just at today, not just what you think we should do now, but look that these problems occurred in the past too. There were these same concerns in the nineteen sixties. And Think about what they tried to do then. Think about these concepts that you guys believe are new and innovative for 2020 on how to solve these issues. These were already tried before. A lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them have already been tried before, including solving crime through social work. That was attempted for decades and it failed miserably. And if you don't believe me, look at the crime rates from the 60s all the way through 1992. And you will see, and then you'll see it start to drop in 93 and look at the changes that were made at the time regarding policing and look how it's correlated and that and and the changing of sentencing of violent criminals. Look at a lot of these things that were done at the time as a form of backlash against the crime that was getting out of control and at all time high in 92 and look what happened as a result and you will see. And so the answer is not to go back to failed solutions from past decades. We've been through this before. You may not remember. You may not have been alive for some of it, but we've been through it before. What we need to do is things we haven't tried before, like weakening police unions, like uh, body cams you can't switch off, like databases that the public can examine where they can see who the problem officers are and, and then make it easier to fire them. That's stuff that hasn't been tried before. That stuff I, I should be done. I really like your idea of weakening, weakening the police unions. That sounds like a very good uh, start there. Yeah. And, and I really do. So let's try things we haven't tried before and that are likely to very quickly result in a great improvement here. And you know what? Not only is it going to prevent black people from being abused and killed when they shouldn't be, but it will also help white people and Hispanic people, and and Asian people, and Native American people, all these people who would have otherwise become victims, you will see much less of this. But I don't think we're going to see that done 
in, at least not in the right way, because of the fear of pissing off the unions and the fear of pissing off the police. So on one side, they don't want to piss off the police. The other side, they don't want to piss off the unions. So we're not seeing much talk of this. But that's the answer. And this is coming from someone who hates police brutality and wants openness about things and wants uh, the truth seen. I'm very big about the truth being seen, as you guys have heard in this and other episodes I've done. But I also don't want feel-good solutions that appear like they're going to help, but really are going to fail, like the diverting money over to social programs. Now, if you want to try to spend extra money on social programs to try to help those in uh, bad neighborhoods not end up in a life of crime, and you, you think there may be some methods that can work, okay, give it a shot. But I'm not expecting much result, and you definitely can't use that in place of policing. It's just not going to work. It's been tried, and it failed. It, the, this was not the first time this has been discussed. And that's what a lot of young people don't know this. What's your thought um, about them actually bringing in the military to stop these, the rioting and and I'm not saying the protesting, not the peaceful, but you you know what I'm talking about. What were your thoughts on that? Were you totally against that? No, I'm fine. If if, if it's necessary, if I, I feel when these things start, whatever's necessary to stop them needs to be done. And also, People must understand the difference between peaceful protest and non-peaceful. And, and often people define peaceful protesting as any protesting where nobody gets severely hurt or killed, but everything else is on the table. That's not peaceful protesting. Peaceful protesting means protesting which does not uh, hinder anybody's movement, harm anyone in any way, uh, does not result in, in, in people being attacked, having thrown things, at, things thrown at them, whether it's harmful things or non-harmful things, nothing thrown. No roads blocked unless they have a permit to do so. No uh, hindering others' movement. No trapping cars. No vandalism. No shutting down businesses. No, no vandalism, no shutting down businesses, no looting. None of that. That is not peaceful in any way. I don't care if people don't get hurt. It's not peaceful. It's not peaceful to go on the freeway and trap people there where they can't move because you're right. blocking the freeway. That is not peaceful. It is not up to you to do. It is not your right to do. It is a selfish and cruel thing to do. How do you know that there's not an emergency vehicle that needs to get through? How do you know that there's not a non-emergency vehicle that has an emergency, such as someone trying to drive their dad to the hospital who's having a heart attack, and they don't want to wait for an ambulance, and then they get stuck on the freeway? You don't know. It is not your right to inhibit people's free movement for your cause. No matter how important you think your cause is, it is not your right to do. And that is not peaceful protest. And I feel any protest that is not peaceful. Is that still going on? Oh, that stupidity. Yeah, I, I, yes, that that's still going on. And that's dumb too. And the, 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 about the Seattle thing, the thing with the, the that Chaz zone where they've uh, they've they've made their yep. own little uh, non-police. Uh, I don't know if they want to call it a city or a country, whatever they think they've created there. And uh, there's guys with guns, and there's been conflicting reports on what these guys with these high-powered guns are doing there, whether it's they're, they're just uh, trying to protect people or whether they're, uh, they're, they're using to intimidate people. I don't know. But no, there, there should not be people who just show up well, in, 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 in public. If that, if that goes on for too much longer, there will be more looting and there will be more violence. And it still doesn't like – it's not their place to do – it is not anyone's place to show up in public, which is anyone's area to walk around. It's not private citizens cannot show up in public and declare this area is off limits except for those who I, we say can come in. We're we're going to have we're going to carry big guns here 
to intimidate you, even if we don't directly intimidate, we're going we're to hold big guns here and, and tell you you cannot come in because we've declared this is a, a, a no police zone or some other silliness. This is not your right to do. Again, that's not peaceful. It doesn't matter if people aren't destroying anything or doing anything or committing crimes in there. You're committing crimes by blocking this off when you don't have permission to. That's what civilized society is about, where you have uh, clear laws about what is and isn't okay to do in public. And you can't just decide to take it over. And no, you can't just say, well, my cause is so important, I have the right to do this. No, you don't. Again, that's not peaceful protest. Peaceful protest means you have a right to assemble and not to interfere with anybody and not to trap anybody and not to block places off that you don't have a right to block, uh, that you have a right to be out there and protest and that they can't make you go away from a public space and say, uh, we don't like what you're protesting about, so get away. Uh, we're not allowing you to protest. That, that would be in, interfering with peaceful protest. That would be, as would be arresting people for no good reason who are peacefully protesting, as would be, uh, shooting rubber bullets or anything else at people who are just protesting peacefully because you disagree with them. But, um, people who are actually inhibiting others' movement or committing crimes or, or, or uh, establishing spaces that they say only they can go in public, that's not peaceful. That's, that's breaking the law, and once you're breaking the law while you're protesting, that's not peaceful. So that should not be allowed, and, and there's this false belief that if, if you try to stop it, it'll escalate it, and it'll become terrible. And that's why we, the police should just stand down and not do anything. And it's the opposite. It's, it's if you do allow it, then they believe they can get away with more and more. Because as I've said before... These are not Islamic terrorists who will give their lives to the cause. These are people who are doing it because they feel they can get away with it. And they're not willing to give their life for it. So if they feel there's going to be a clampdown for this crap, they won't do it. That's why in normal times this doesn't happen. That's why all these people who looted Target are not looting Target during normal times because they know if they try, the police will show up right there and arrest them and they're going to suffer consequences for it. People will loot Target when they feel they can walk in and steal things and nothing will happen to them because – the opportunity is there and you can get away with it. So it's very simple. These are not people who are willing to give their lives up for what they're trying to do. These are people who are committing criminal acts just because they want to, not even because they have a certain ideology, just they, they want to commit these acts. Uh, they enjoy creating mayhem. Maybe they, they do believe in the cause, but they also like committing mayhem or they feel like somehow they're harming the government or harming people that they assume, uh, like entities they assumed hurt them or have treated them unfairly and they have a, they think they have a right to do this and they get away with it right now. If you clamp down on this and stop it, from a law enforcement standpoint, say, no, I don't care. You can protest all you want, but you're not going to disobey the law. You are going to follow the law while you protest or otherwise there's going to be consequences. And if and if you try to fight us when we put these consequences, we will escalate force. If you if we try to arrest you and you try to harm us, then we will have to harm you back while you're trying to harm us. If you do anything to endanger our lives, we may have to kill you. And that's the way policing works. And I am for harming anyone who tries to harm the police. I'm for killing anybody who tries to put the police life in danger because it is their choice to do so. And is that when you're protesting, you do not have the right to harm people, including the police. But those who are protesting truly peacefully should be able to do so without the police interfering or harassing them or harming them. And the police who interfere with actual police protests should also be in trouble and should also be prosecuted. So believe me, I support the right to protest, even if I disagree with the protest that is out there, even if I think it's completely wrong and goes against everything I believe, I support your right to do it, and I do not want the police inhibiting you from doing it. And I've seen places where real peaceful protest has taken place involving this, and even though I see things on signs I don't agree with these people are holding, and I know politically we're probably on the opposite sides, 
I would be very upset if these people were attacked or prevented from doing what they were doing because they should have that right. So I do support the right to protest if it's a real peaceful protest. And uh, I, I want that understood. Where there are a lot of people that are out there trying to peacefully protest and then you get some bad actors involved and then the people there that are peacefully doing it get caught in a crossfire. Yes, and that's and that's that that's long been an issue with big crowds that are protesting. I know this happened back in uh, Vietnam protest times. Again, going back to 1968, there were people who were wrongfully arrested because they were believed to have committed a crime during uh, a protest that got out of hand when they were just there. Uh, there's people who've been harmed by police who are trying to get control of the situation or fight back when they're being attacked by bad actors, and. This is unfortunate, and um, this is why you have to think twice before going to a protest if you're willing to take that risk. And and also, uh, think about what type of protest you're going to. And there's some protests I've seen that you can tell by watching them, they're, they're not going to escalate. They're not going to get bad. And then there's some other ones where there's, there's some rowdy people where you don't know how it's going to go. Maybe these people are going to get out of hand, and then the whole thing's going to fall apart, and you may end up being caught in the whole thing even though you haven't done anything yourself. And it's it's hard for the police at that point to always arrest the right people, always retaliate against the right people when when the whole mob is trying to attack. So that this is why you use some personal judgment of what protests you get involved with. And if I were to be out there protesting, I, I wasn't. I wasn't planning to. Uh, and and I think I disagree with some of the messages the protesters are putting out. Uh, I still feel they they have a right to be there. But uh, if I was to choose a protest to go to. I can think of several protests around me that I felt were going to remain peaceful and did. And those would, be, those would have been the ones I would have joined, not these big mobs of people in the city of, of uh, thousands or tens of thousands of people uh, with, with people breaking things and burning things and throwing things. That's, that's asking for trouble going to one of those, even if you are planning to be there peacefully. You're just uh, – you're walking right into a fire. I, I, I don't know anybody that protests <laughs> I'm sure everybody I know they're like, oh hell no, I'm staying home. Well, you know, you know who I know someone who did. I haven't talked to him about it. Mark Newhouse, who made a back-to-back World Series of Poker final tables in the 2010s, uh, main event final tables. That is very very impressive. Very nice guy. I I know him personally. Uh, We're not close friends, but we've always been friendly and on good terms. And uh, I've always liked him. He's a nice kid. I, I knew him since he was 21 and, bro- and came into the poker scene. He's much older now. He's like uh, mid-30s now. But uh, he's very, he somehow got very involved in this whole thing. He's been going to protests in Northern California. And I, I don't believe Mark Newhouse is attacking anyone. I don't think he has it in him to attack people. He's just a very uh, gentle guy. But uh, He's not moving, huh? No, I doubt he's looting. I, 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 like, I think he's out there for uh, – reasons like he really does believe in the cause and I don't believe he's he's committing acts of violence. He's very into going out there. But uh I've so seen some what, what, believe in? What, yeah. what 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 I mean what what's his main angle being out there or not angle but you What's his reasoning? He seems to believe in the whole thing about the police are racist and we got to fight against racism like so, some of the things that he's uh believes he's going out there for the conclusions I I don't agree with. So like and I think he's kind of gone a little off the deep end with this stuff, but I, I will say that I haven't seen evidence. He makes Facebook posts about it, and I, I haven't seen evidence that he has caused any trouble. Nor would I believe that he's doing it and just not talking about it. 
and uh, and he has mentioned that the the police have been aggressive with some of the people out there, and it's possible. I've seen those videos. I so I'm not going to disbelieve him. I think it's also possible that maybe some people started up that he didn't see, and then and then the police are aggressive. And he doesn't realize why they are, but it is possible the police are being overly aggressive with with the group he's with when they haven't done anything wrong, and uh, so so he he could very well be telling the truth. You you can Google. I think there's some articles people wrote about him. But he seems very into it, which kind of surprised me. He didn't seem like the type to be like political. He just never seemed to have much of an interest in that. But uh, he he seems like that's what he's doing now. That's that's fine, you know. Like I, as I said, there's things he's written that I don't agree with, but at least I don't see, I, I don't see any evidence that he's one of the violent people. And from what I've known of him, that would be unlikely to me that he would go that direction. So uh, anyway, uh, that's the only one I really know who actively got involved in in the protests it's kind of like you i don't know many people who who have part of it's because a lot it's mainly younger people not all but a lot it's more likely to have him on the show i i should i he's been on before i i should actually uh i i could get in contact with him and see if he wants to come on and discuss this and uh and we can hear his perspective so i i so okay, I've, I've been on for a million hours i think i've actually been on for uh over nine hours now, and I didn't take a break either. I usually take a break in the middle. I just, I just didn't this time. So I, it's gonna, I, I have a feeling I'm going to wake up and my my throat's just going to really not feel good. And uh, one time after a long radio show, one time after a long radio show, I woke up and I had this like sore throat and cough, and I go, oh no, the coronavirus. And I go, oh wait a minute, no, I just said radio. Never mind. <laughs> This this is a radio uh, malady, not a, a a coronavirus malady. I I knew it. I knew that's uh, why my throat felt messed up and why I was coughing some. And sure enough, like the next day, it was gone. It was totally from the radio. So I, trying to go for the world record of the longest uh, radio show. You know, uh, one of our former co-hosts, uh, Brandon Drexel Gerson, he did. He got involved with another uh, site for some time, and they were doing a show. And they decided they're going to do a 24-hour podcast for charity, and they they weren't on. They he wasn't on 24 hours straight, but he was on a lot of the hours. He took a break at some point, but it was like three people involved, so they didn't have to all be together. It was a 24-hour podcast. I don't know the longest one that was ever done where someone just sat on there straight, and the longest I've ever talked straight is something I probably won't break, and that was uh, I. In 2001, I had a 13 and a half hour phone conversation with with a girl that uh, I reached. I, it wasn't really as a wrong number. I, I I don't want to go in the whole story again, but it was someone that uh, basically there was a catfish that I met through a chat room and was over at her friend's house. And when I called up to basically tattle on her to her friend, what she did because she like used her friend's phone to make long distance calls. So I wanted to get back at her for lying to me. So I was, I basically called the friend who owned the phone and said, I was going to say, Hey, your friend who was over here, not only is she a big liar and, and told me a bunch of BS, but uh, she ran up your bill calling me. So I called up to give her that message. And then we ended up on the phone 13 and a half hours. And, uh, and was that long distance? It, it was long distance. Yeah. That, that was on my bill. <laughs> I had a cheaper way to make calls, but it it, it it did cost me money. But at least at least it was worth it. Like I actually went and met her in person, and uh, and, and we went out for some time. So at least there was uh, at, at least I got something out of that. 
But uh, like after I had that conversation, I'm thinking, if I just talk to a girl for 13 and a half hours on the phone and, and like we don't meet and uh, and if the meeting doesn't go well, like if any of that happens, it's going to be so frustrating because I put all that time into it. But I don't think I'm ever going to talk like more than 13 and a half hours ever, even on this show. I think this nine we just did here is uh, going to be uh, too much. Well, it wasn't we. It was me. Nobody else was on here for nine hours. But I was. Anyway, thank you, Axel Wolf, for coming on. And uh, Sure. And, uh, I, I hope to probably begin sometime. Hopefully there will be some uh, other topics. You'll have to let me know what the topic Yeah, are. sometimes I come up with it more in advance. And uh, if, you, if you have Skype and a headset, that will help too because the, the sound quality would be better. Sometimes like when you respond to me, if it was... It, really horrible. Yeah, I, I have all that. I, I, well, I mean, I, I have it. Well, I'll tell you what's that, happening. That I actually have a speaker and... All that type of stuff. Uh, I'm not sure what yeah. I'm not sure what way you're talking I to me not. here, but what what I've been noticing happening with you on here is that uh, when you when you're talking, it's clear except for when we're both talking at the same time. And like if you start talking as I'm talking, it gets very garbled for a second until I stop talking too, and then it clears up. So I it, it's I don't know if you're on a speaker or if uh, are you on a speaker. You're- yeah, you're on speaker. Ah, I knew it. See, it's, I, I know how a speaker phone is. Yeah, that's what... <laughs> I, 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 I just don't think I could have held the phone up to my... Okay, uh, that's what it is. We, we had a speaker phone co-host. I knew it. It's, 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 I, wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared. I I didn't even know. Like I said, I, I, I wasn't even planning on talking this long. I was just going to call up and say hi and see what you were talking about. And the next thing you know, it's... Uh, well, than I it, it, it's it's funny because when you're talking when when we're not both talking at the same time, then it's very clear. It's like whenever you talk as I'm talking for the first like few seconds, it's like and then it clears up. Well, sometimes I'm going to have to talk at the same time as you, just so I can interrupt you. Well, I know, but on Skype, on Skype, that's a pro- it's not a problem. On Skype, it doesn't do that. In Skype, it's clear. So as long as you have a good headset, which which has been a little challenging to our co-host Trader Ruski. But okay, uh, I'm going to end this whole thing here. Thank you, uh, Axel, for coming on. We'll have you on again in the future. And uh, if for guys who okay. like like the long show, you got it this time. So uh, good yeah, night. Good night. Good night. Good morning. Morning. Okay, that's it, guys. I, I I was on way too long. Somehow the ratings held up pretty well. That's that's kind of surprising to me. I didn't expect the ratings to hold up as well as they did because uh, it's on for nine hours and it's at a weird time of morning right now. I can already tell my throat's going to hurt big time. I, I can already feel it because I didn't do the break in the middle, didn't do my rinse, talked for too long. <laughs> Sorry, that was a bit loud there. Somehow the volume was all the way up. Well, I'm going to be honest here. Uh, I've been editing the show, as I've told you guys, for the last month or two. And I've been editing it for what I call listenability, not for content. Where I go through and I remove stuff that just didn't sound good. Or I'll piece things together when, like something paused or like just anything that doesn't make good radio but where the content is still worthwhile I'll delete the fail out of it and and put it together and I'll delete long pauses and I just make it much more listenable and that's why occasionally if you're listening to the archives you hear some kind of weird jump that's because I just didn't edit it as well as I could have so I've been doing that but this week I'm not going to do very much because I'm worn out (laughs) so you're going to get more of the as is show this week 
I, I, I noted a few things I'm going to fix at the beginning, and then that's it. Then I'm throwing it up there, and you're going to get pretty much the same experience as people get live. So I want to thank Trader Ruski for being here again. I want to thank Axel Wolf for giving us all this time. Next time I'm going to make him get off speakerphone, though. I'm not going to tolerate the speakerphone next time. But we'll be on in a week. There was some confusion about the date of the show. Some people thought we were permanently changing to Friday. We're not. Friday was just a one-time thing. My parents came on that Saturday. That's the reason I couldn't do Saturday. I saw my parents for the first time in uh, two months. And that went well. I was happy I did it. And nobody got the coronavirus as far as I know. But Saturday nights are night. And that's what we're going to stick to for the foreseeable future. Saturday night around... 8.39 p.m. is what you can expect Pacific Time for this show, which we will be doing throughout the summer without the World Series to interrupt it. Thank you for listening for the nine hours of the show. I'm going to try not to talk today. Maybe my voice will be okay, ultimately. Good night. Good morning. Shalom. <laughs>